Okay, we are currently recording. So this is test, oops, test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Your, your mic's a little hot. A little hot? Yeah. All right, should we lower it? Yeah. Right. Test, 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 Connor. Test, 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 JD. One more time, Connor. Test, 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 Connor. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Okay, I keep hearing a noise, but the noise is... Uh, the vent above us. Yeah. <clears throat> is this happening? Is this the episode? This is now the episode. So we should say where we are. Why are we near a vent? Well, also, first I should say, hello, Connor. How are you? Hi, JD. Yeah. I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Happy 12-hour day to you. Happy 12-hour day. This is episode eight. Do we decide? I think so. I don't know if we decide. It either is or it isn't. We agreed what's real. Yeah. Um, but this is episode This is our eight. second episode of 2015. I know. We're not fulfilling our promise, huh? Well, the promise was really just for last year that we'd make it. That was, the goal was last year to make it even out to be a bi-monthly, six episodes in 12 months. This is a busier year, and we already showed we could do that. Yeah. So I think this could be a four-episode year. Yeah, it could. You know? Well, for those of you who are listening for the first time, you're welcome. now listening to Welcome. You're listening to 12-Hour Day. A podcast in which every episode is 12 hours in length. I am J.D. Amato. I'm Connor Ratliff. And uh, for those of you who are, I mean, for everyone listening, uh, long-time listeners slash viewers and new people who are just discovering the podcast, up to this point, the podcast has just been J.D. and I are friends, and we do comedy in New York City. But this is really kind of like how every now and then um, a TV series will do like a... What's the term for it? But they'll kind of do like a reset or like a, um, like the show Alias. There was a point where they sort of did a. Um, uh, the canon resets? Not that the canon resets, but they kind of give you a new entryway into the show. Right, because I was going to say, our canon's not resetting. It's not resetting, but it is to a certain extent that this is the first episode where the podcast is really uh, where a guy and his boss hang out for 12 hours. I hate this. I despise you saying that. You have to give some context to that also. Yeah. Connor had this realization. Up to now, it's just been uh, JD and I who are friends, and we do projects together, stuff like that. We met in the comedy world at the Upright Systems Brigade Theater in New York. And we've done lots of different shows, and we uh, uh, created a show together at the UCB Theater that runs every month. The Terry Withers Mysteries. Um, And, but for the past um, few months... We also work on the Chris Gethard Show together. Yeah. Had for the past five years. Yeah, uh, and that's always been, but that's always been a um, strictly a, an artistic volunteer endeavor. Exactly. Where we'd show up at public access. You would work throughout the week. I would show up on the Wednesday night and sometimes do things in the show. But now that it's a real TV show on Fusion, our sh- our show used to be a public access show, and then it got picked up by a cable network. Yeah. Uh, ask your cable provider to get Fusion if you don't already. Um, but JD is the. Well, how many titles do you have on the show, JD? Uh, executive producer. That's one title. Director. Two titles. And then in TV parlance, one could call me the showrunner. There you go. Um, I'd say that's an accurate term, right? Yeah. Um, do you like that term, showrunner? I do. It's weird for our show just because it's a very collaborative show. and Yeah. It's, well, it's sometimes showrunner 
um, implies a singular vision of some sort, but that is not the case here. But I would say that's probably the more modest showrunners would admit that even about, you know, that all TV programs involve massive amounts of collaboration. Yeah, exactly. But I just uh, I this don't. is a I know what you mean. This is a very specific kind of collaboration. Collaboration yeah. experience. So um, yeah, exactly. And I'm the warm up comedian for the show, and so I had the realization a few weeks ago that now you're my boss, JD. Right. Well, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think of. I don't think in television and film there's like a bo- the boss. But this is as close as it gets. Probably. I mean, you're not going to open up a shop and I work in the stockroom. This no. is as close. I mean, I guess if you were directing a film and I was in it, you'd be my boss in that, right? Yeah, technically. But you don't think of that not, as boss. I don't think it, that, I, but you have an office. Right. You know. So do you. I know. My office is um, the closet inside of JD's office. And um, this is all to say currently we are... We're in JD's office right now. We are in my office at 1 Dag Hammerschgold Plaza on the corner of 47th Street and 2nd Avenue in Manhattan, New York. Yeah. Our offices are in the basement of the building, connected to the studio, and my office is in the far reaches of the hallways. And in my office, there is a closet that is a supply closet that... Pretty roomy closet. It's a pretty roomy closet, and as a joke, we kept referring it to as Connor's office. Yeah. And then we actually put a sign on it and put a little table in there, and then Connor just, out of practicality, decided to start using it it really, because it wasn't being used really for anything. No. And it actually is, if I didn't have that office, I guess I'd change in the bathroom or where, I don't know. Like, it's where I keep my suits. It's where I change before and after the show. Yeah. Keep my, yeah. Very useful. I, I couldn't imagine a better office. And I will say, too, if there's anyone that I'm comfortable having their office inside my office, it's you. Oh, thank you. Like, there'll be times I'll be on a phone call, and if you walk in, I'm not concerned. Yeah. Because I'm not going to blab about it. No, you're not a blabber. Um, but anyways, that's... And I've overheard phone calls. I've overheard top secret phone calls about show business. Have you? Yeah. We were just... Right before this podcast oh. started, we were talking about a thing that I won't talk to anybody about. But I was... That was all... Fly, like, we were in Leno country in terms of, like, Jay Leno oh, yeah. listening at the, at the door. I mean, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I was just changing into my suit while you were having a... Uh, yeah, conversation. That's true. Have you had any phone conversations, uh, where, uh, any business-related phone conversations that have had to do with me? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Anything that I would, uh, you don't need to divulge anything, but is there anything that you'd be like, I'm glad Connor wasn't here to overhear that? Uh, maybe. Ooh. I don't think so. Nothing bad about you. Yeah. Um. It's fascinating. You received an email a week or two ago. I did? Yeah. From what? From a producer. Yeah? I didn't get about, an email. Yeah, you did. Or a phone call, maybe? What? About the use of your performances. Oh, right. From Keith. Right. Yeah. And so I've been... I've been... I think you meant like some... some Like the show received an email intended for me. No. Um... But I've been, you know, uh, so yeah. I've been, I've been, <clears throat> I've been cognizant of the content of that email, and despite you not mentioning anything of that, yeah, I made sort of a not a, you know, I I made I made point to to put that fact out into the world that 
that thought into the world. Right. Even though it's not something that you were concerned about or something I was concerned about. Yeah. So you, I might not have wanted you to hear it because you would have been like, no, 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 no. That's not a, you don't have to. Right. Uh, but I felt compelled to bat. You did know, you hear my response? Uh, we're all speaking in cryptic terms now, but did you hear my response to it yeah. when, I, when Keith called me? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which was basically, uh, uh, we won't linger on this because I don't want to get into details on it, but my thing was like, yeah, for now, like, it's not a problem, but like, we'll talk about it later. Like, if, if we and that's forward. all, that's all yeah. I wanted on the record for everyone yeah, yeah. to be aware of. Yeah. I just wanted that to be oh, on Front that. Street. I appreciate that. Okay, well, I'm gonna, we, don't, we don't have too many blind items usually. Well, that's not true. We have some, well, here's the thing. We may have some blind items, but th- I think those are fun for people. They're not puzzles you'll ever be able to crack because we're too good at them. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anyone, no one will be able to crack the previous one. No, that, that was just, too, yeah, too hard. Um, but anyway, the, suffice it to say, uh, JD and I now uh, we're working on this TV show. Um, which you can watch all through the summer. You can watch the episodes of it on YouTube that have already aired. Yeah. And am I too loud? I don't think so, but I don't know. I'm going to unloud myself. Um, can I make myself? Oh, no. Uh, JD, 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 JD. Okay, that's probably better. Um, yeah, and you know... here. Since at the top of the show, since there might be new listeners or old yeah. listeners, I like to say there's a community of people that listen to the show. Mm-hmm. It's not a big community. No. But it's a very involved community that likes to communicate with each other and, and with us. And it's slowly growing. You know, like there are people who've started listening to this podcast from episode one which was recorded in January of 2014, who started tweeting at us recently. Uh, and it's a very weird thing to suddenly, because these episodes are really just unedited slices of half of a day with JD and I hanging out. And it's very strange to think about like uh, over like a year and a half passing and someone going and listening to us talking a year and a half ago. JD just got a message on his phone. Is it a text message? Um, it is. I'm uninterested in it, though. Is it urgent? No. Okay. Both non-urgent and uninteresting text. Yeah. Um, we won't say when this was recorded because then someone could maybe potentially backdate it. And I think you could pr- pr- figure it out. Okay. This blind item would be an easy one. Oh, yeah? I think so. All right. Um... How often, so, does, how often does that happen that you get a phone call that you're just like, I don't need to deal with this? Emails constantly. Emails. I get now about 300 emails a day. Jesus. That's a lot. Just because of my role, I'm CC'd on everything. Just oh, right. Oh, so they're not all necessarily directed at you. You get a lot of emails that are just like, this is out there. Yeah. And there's sort of a thing, especially in television, where like, you CC certain people sort of create a paper trail for yourself so you can always be like, I did, th- I, s- I said yeah. that I was doing that. Yeah. So I get a lot of emails that are like, yeah. If I have my phone on like, my phone, the a- the Apple Mail app on my iPhone, mm-hmm. it does a thing where it's like, yeah, it- it'll alert you when you have one new message. Yeah. But mine's given up on that and now it just tells me, instead of saying like what the email is, like you got an email from so, it just says, you have 15 new messages and that, that happens every like, 
yeah. hour or whatever. Not hour, probably every like half hour. Yeah. What's the math on that? I don't know. Someone tweeted me the math of <laughs> Someone do the math of how many emails, math. how many times 30, I don't know, I forgot. 30 every half hour? So 60 every hour? No, it'd be, it'd be 30 every hour. So 15 every half hour. And I okay. work, you know, maybe 10, 12 hours a day. So every two minutes you get an email? Yes. And it's usually just like a chain about the people are, Chris is going to go do a, he's going to be on Conan. And so Conan's producers want a clip for the show. And it's back and forth between Fusion's post-production and my post-production. And then the publicists and all that stuff. So just like chains where it's like, <clears throat> all I know is that a clip is being sent to Conan. I don't have to think about it. What's the most fun step in the process for you of working on this show? Like what's the, what's the, in the week-to-week running of the show, what's the thing that you're like, this is the part that I get the most, like, look forward to, the most jazzed about? Show day. Show day? Show day. The actual taping of the show? The taping of the show, um, when my assistant director is counting down, the show's about to begin. Yeah. And... You go into full Kermit the Frog mode. Yeah, and I have all the cameras right there, and it's now up to me to make sure everything gets shot and make sure everything happens, and yeah, I get to go in the mode of, like... Okay, here we go. And ready, one, one, ready, two, two, ready, three, three, close in, go four, four wide, 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 wider, we missed it. Okay, three, pick up, it just turns into like a sporting event suddenly. Yeah. Which I think is really fun. Yeah. Someone pointed out at the end of every Gethard show, was it you that pointed this out? What? At the end of every Gethard show, I go, all right, that's our show. And apparently Kermit the Frog does that. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I don't think I pointed that out to you, but... It's true. I didn't realize. That. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and you uh, wave your arms like this when you run away, and yeah, Connor has them out in a puppety yeah. fashion. Um, that's my favorite part. It's not. It's not surprising. You know the the way that things. I'm always fascinated by. You know when you watch something that's written and they'll and they'll be like a something that's like oh it's perfectly patterned or something like they'll. Like a movie will end or a TV show will end and it'll be like mirroring the, the beginning of it. Right. Uh, and, you'll, and sometimes you'll see something like that and you'll be like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're trying to make everything fit in a certain way or they're trying to have like, oh, this character's doing what that other character was doing at the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, like I think like the, the first episode of ER had a scene with like uh, uh, Anthony Edwards' character talking to young Noah Wiley and then 15 or 12 seasons later or whatever... In the last episode, they had Noah Wiley have a similar, exact same right. stage scene. And it'll, it'll sometimes feel like, oh, they're working very hard to have things be mirrored or have certain patterns emerge. But it's so strange to me how often those patterns actually, you'll, you won't notice them in your life until someone else points out, like, uh, oh, you end your show and you talk like Kermit the Frog. Right. And you're not trying to. It's not you doing an it's impression. Not an inten- it's not an intentional thing. And then suddenly I'm like, but oh, you're like, yeah. Oh, you've absorbed it so much that, like, on some level, some part of you is like, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to become the frog, and then you... Well, it's like, I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to have a TV show, and the way the show ends is like, the, this is how TV shows are supposed to end. Yeah. But, I mean, this is... I, if, if this is the closest thing I can think of to a child watches Kermit the Frog running the Muppet show grows up and runs a show that is... I mean, like, if, if you were going to try to... If you were running The View, if you were the showrunner on The View, the, you directed that show and you were... 
that you would be like, oh, that's not really very much like The Muppet Show. This is right. so much closer to The Muppet Show than any other show I could think of. Right. Like, I, I can't think of another show featuring live-action adults. Where yeah, and where, like, where one of them is propped up in the set like a Muppet would be. Yeah. Uh, although, the, uh, I, I refer to uh, uh, that the where the human fish is sitting on the set yeah. as the salacious crumb spot. Yeah, that it, it's not, yeah exactly. Which is that it's that's one a or the move. other. It's that, that but that is a Muppet move that they do in the Star Wars movies essentially. And that's one of the only Muppets that appears in Star Wars, like straight up Muppets. It's just a, yeah, it's just a Muppet. They're, yeah, much more than Yoda, which is closer yes. to like but that. Yoda doesn't feel like a Muppet. Salacious Crumb feels like like Salacious Crumb. Dark, I think a Dark Crystal uh, outtake. Yeah, something that the Dark Crystal was like. Eh, this is too, too silly. goofy. Yes, yeah, too silly. Because I think Salacious Crumb even has, like, the Muppet laugh where the whole body goes up and down. Yeah. That's, like, and not the, a natural... Yeah. The body is very much like the way a Muppet body is. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying before of people that are listening to new ep- the, the yeah. old episodes... Yeah. It is so very strange because for those people... Because I think people use our show mostly to, to pass time... Yeah. Either in commutes or during jobs or if they just want to hear a conversation. Mm-hmm. So when people listen to the first episodes, they are living that, reliving that moment second to second with us. So it yeah. seems live to them. Yeah. So they will tweet tweeted us questions at 12HRJDConnor, 12HRJDConnor. Um, they will tweet us questions or comments on things we've said that... I have no memory of it. I've lost... I have no idea what, what, what we've discussed. You didn't remember in the last episode, which is not that long ago. Oh, yeah. We did the, we started riffing on, we, we said some, one of us said something that sounded like it was a rule of comedy or something, and right. then we just started making up rules of comedy, and then one of our listener viewers made a little animatic sort of, uh, almost yeah. like a lyric video kind like of thing. Like action text. Like a- yeah. Of these, and you had no memory of doing any of that. And it wasn't like it was buried deep in the episode. It was like in the first 10 or 20 minutes. Really? It was at the beginning of that episode because it was before, I think it was, I might be misremembering, but I think it was before Mikey had started talking. See, I had no idea. And I was like, Connor, what is this? When did we say this? Yeah. That was great. Um, Because Avery's been tweeting at us. Avery Monson. Avery Monson. uh, I don't know whether. Are people still paying attention to Vine? It feels like Vine's moment is in a weird limbo, but he's a he is like the Michelangelo of Vine. Well, what it is is it reminds me of like what happens in video games, right? Yeah. There's a period of time where video games are really popular and people become the best of the best at the video game. Yeah. And then everyone else leaves, so that all that's left are like, the, it's like the kings. Yeah. The kings remain in their castles. Yeah. But like, all of the others that were trying to be king have now died, so it just like the royal families battling each other. Yeah. So to me, it's like Vine. Vine, people use Vine now just to watch Avery and the other Vine superstars. Right. No one is casually Vining anymore. Yeah. You turn it on to see what a guy like Avery Monson is doing, but you do not ever make a Vine anymore. Right. That's just not how it works. It, it, yeah, so it's it's almost like uh, he's like the last of like a, a master uh, tradesman. Yeah. It's like when you hear, you'll see certain things where it's like... Uh, like the the plant the plants that press vinyl records, they'll talk about how like there's a certain generation of people yeah. that it's like someone needs to learn this because if this guy dies, like 
I got my record player repaired a few months ago by a guy up on the Upper East Side, and he was like, he's like this Eastern European guy, fixes record players, he'll find the part, he'll go through it. And I thought, like, I did it specifically because I was like, if I don't get my record player, it's a 1974 record player, you've seen it, though. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, if I don't get it fixed now by this guy, who am I going to go to? You got, no, gonna... you got no chance. Yeah. Unless he, like, passes it on to a new generation, but... Uh, yeah, I good luck eight, with that. Good luck, next generation. Millennials hate tinkering. They hate tinkering. Um, but what I was going to say uh, about um, the way that, like, you absorbing uh, Kermit the Frog and ending up in a in a place, I have a couple of things like that. One being that, and they're not planned things. There's like the thing of like me getting into improv in my early thirties, and then not even thinking to mention to someone until I was already on Herald Night, I think, that I'm like, oh, my dad did improv in 1971 in Chicago right. under Del Close. Right. Like, when Del Close was, like, figuring out Herald teams. And people were like, why didn't you mention this before? I'm like, it never occurred to me. Uh, yeah, well, it's like there's there's things that happen to you that are just... Um, they're suggestive because you know they exist, and so you know it's an option. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, when I started... Uh, in high school, I joined the track team, which was number like my grandfather's a track coach. And my dad ran track for yeah. my grandfather, and my grandfather's track. So I was like, "Oh, running track team's a thing to do." And my grandfather's a hurdle coach. My dad ran hurdles. Yeah, I ended up running hurdles, not because, and it was funny because it was not because I wanted to. In fact, I didn't want to. Yeah, but I just happened to be the best one of the when they like are like, "All right, freshman." Try out all these things. See which one fits for you. Yeah. I was the only one who had even a semblance of idea of how that worked. And they're like, oh, you right. must be good at that. Yeah. And I remember being like, wow, well, now I'm doing this thing that my dad my, is in my family. And it's just because I had some sort of recognition that it existed. Yeah. That does feel like the most metaphorical thing you could have said, that it's like, yeah, I'm the one who's good at running hurdles. I don't like doing it, but it's like, J.D., there's these hurdles. And it feels like that's a straight-up metaphor for most of the jobs that you do now, where it's like, J.D., we got to fix this. How do we do it? And you're like, ah, I don't want to do this, but I know how to deal with it. Right. Hurdles. But it's also like like improv. You started doing improv because you knew it existed. You knew it yeah. was an option. Yeah. I had no idea it was an option until a random series of events led me to see that it was. Right. But you were someone that grew up knowing that that was a thing that you could possibly do. Right. But also, there's things like when when I up until the age of 10 all I wanted to be was a cartoonist well, I thought what I wanted to be was an animator and the more that I thought about it when I got to age 10 I was like no I don't want to be an animator I want to create cartoons right an animator like the more I thought about it like my cousin was an animator for Don Blue Studios in right. uh, which he had moved his stuff to du- his whole studio to Dublin to Duckburg uh, to Duckburg no um, after, I think after American T- like Don Bluth um was a big Disney animator. Uh, at, a, at a low point for Disney, Don Bluth um, was there when it was like, they didn't know what to do with Tim Burton, and Don Bluth was kind of like one of the uh, master, like he was one of like the bright, shining lights of Disney animation right. around the era of like the Fox and the Hound. And they, he was not happy there. He wasn't happy with what, he wanted to do more ambitious stuff. So he and a bunch of people left, made Secret of Nim, uh, made American Tale, which was a huge thing, made The Land Before Time, which was like, Spielberg and Lucas were producing, and then there was a point where Don Bluth moved his studios to Ireland, and that's I think also the point where like the Don Bluth movies start like not being relevant anymore, where it's like Rockadoodle and a troll in Central Park, and like oh not, I forgot about Rockadoodle. 
Yeah, I think my cousin Voiced worked by on... Mel Gibson, correct? Uh, no, that's... Um, that is... No, that's the Ardman um, claymation one. That was... Oh, oh, wait. Rocket Rooster, <laughs> what's it called? Right. Wait, um, Rock-A-Doodle, though. I swear there's some... Someone voices Rock-A-Doodle. Um, you're probably right. Um... We're both frantically looking up Rockadoodle. I'm going to look up the because um, Mel Gibson because that's a great movie. The um, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I just have to Google Mel Gibson Rooster Chicken Run is the Mel Gibson one, which is a great movie that I, in my memory. Although I wonder if there's any, um, I wonder if you see Chicken Run now, um, if Mel Gibson voicing it compromises it in any way. You know, I think that about all Mel Gibson things now. Whether like when you go back and watch, um, this guy, don't say his name, but this this guy's headshot is such a voice actor headshot. Oh yeah. Um, see if you can guess who we were talking about. No. Um, don't see, because you you'll know. They'll know immediately. No, they won't. We're too good at blind items. Oh, the, <laughs> we're, too uh, good. we're too good. I feel like now we're tempted. There's like someone that is like a puzzle master that's been laying in wait. That's true. And like the third time that we challenge them that our blind items are too good, he will just decide. Is Glenn he Campbell the voice you were thinking of uh, in Rockadoodle? I know. That's why I'm like, what am I talking about? Glenn Campbell, right? Um, but anyway, that was when I really realized. When I, re- when I visited Don Blue Studios, I mean, I kind of knew before that. Right. But that was a point where I was like, I can't draw a similar thing. Again and again. Um, and, but, in the first 13 weeks of Chris Gethard's show on MNN, when Mael Dolivo and I were doing the Lone Cornmeal Machine shorts, right. it was like... With Mel Gibson, right? Mel Gibson did all the voices of this, if you listen. Um, the, I remember in the first episode when we showed the Torsion short, which was Claymation with me editing and then doing the voices. Yeah. It was then that I realized, like, oh, man, I'm, I've inadvertently backed into doing the thing that I always wanted to do. Right. I, I just helped, make, helped create uh, a funny cartoon that are shown on this public access show. You'd probably be a good animation director. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, I think I I would have to do it like the the way that Wes Anderson did Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is just like telling people this is what I want. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, but like um, to me, yes, I think you'd be very good at that. I mean, that I still have ambitions for Lone Cornmeal Machine to do something else. Have you ever brought up publicly your one fleeting opportunity? No. The, the well, you mean the the. Possible yeah. thing that never happened. It's a possible thing that never happened, but that that somewhere there's a DVD in a, on a desk somewhere. I've never have. I don't know if that is that a thing that's even allowed to be talked about. Yeah, it's your, it's you. Not it has nothing to do with me. That's I don't you. know if the names of the people involved were. I don't know if that's is that considered kosher to talk about. Don't say their names. I think you can say the institution. Um, well, you don't have to if you don't want to. No, I just never know what's appropriate. I mean, yeah. There was a guest on... Well, I, you'd, I would even remove it from that. I would remove that loop from it and just say that the opportunity... Yeah. Somebody... Well, no, it doesn't narrow it. There's enough people were on the show that you could... You, I don't think you'd I ever know, be able but, to narrow it know. down. There was someone who came onto the show who liked 
uh, one of the lone cornmeal shorts, and they worked for a comedy they, institution. They worked for a major comedy institution uh, that's been around for a while, that is still relevant, and people are still excited about. That in its and that early occasionally, days, occasionally, not even just in its early days, they like to sometimes they sometimes feature um, little short films and things. Yeah, and. So I guess at, there was a DVD sent for consideration. Well, they they requested one. They requested one. They said, "Hey, we we'll, we're looking for we're looking for animated it. short stuff." I do, but that's a weird thing. To, but that was like a cool thing to be like, "Oh, you made this thing, and now it's that could be a possibility." Yeah. I mean, it never came to fruition as most things, but yeah, it's fun that it's fun that I somewhere st- there's a. I still do think that there that was will- our fourth blind item. I liked how early I was like, we don't do too many blind items, and now every conversation we've had. I do still think that at some point, Mael and I are going to find an opportunity. We've talked about, we had an idea a few years ago when UCB was like trying to develop pilots, and they asked everyone, pitch your ideas or whatever, and I think our our idea was a great one, Um, but it didn't get through that process. But I I still have in the back of my head for a certain kind of, um, a certain kind of, it was a Tom. I won't say what the idea is because I think. Oh it'll still no! Happen. Another blind item. No, it's not a blind item, but it was basically we had an idea for a show that could incorporate a lone, a lone corn. Like we built the show so like one of the things in it would be that every week there'd be a right. lone cornmeal short. Because um, basically, for those of you who don't know what a lone corn, cornmeal machine one what, short was, every week in the first, if you go back and look at the first thirteen episodes of the Gathered Show, they all have like a two and a half minute short film often animated, um, that were all based on a suggestion from Twitter. Or, or sometimes lots of suggestions from right. Twitter. Um, and Mael would do the visuals, and then I would edit it together and then add the soundtrack to it. I still think that's a thing that, like, that would be a cool thing that people would... Like, I, we, we, we did it at the point where the, the show had a much smaller audience base. Right. So it was hard. It was when the show was still sort of figuring out what it was. And... So we never really were able to do it at the point where we had... Like, now I feel like the interactive aspect of it, you'd have a lot of people trying to... You you guys worked the Chris Gethard show with the Muppets were to SNL. Yeah. I like to think we were what um, Albert Brooks was to SNL. Sure. Because uh, his things were a little bit better than the Muppets. <laughs> like, the, the Muppets were, were... They didn't find their feet also. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't a good fit. Albert Brooks was sort of just like, no, you're great, but we don't need you anymore. We're, we're not what the show is. Yeah, uh, what although, you're doing is not what. And the reason that Lone Cormiel stopped was was because Milo had to go back to uh, school. Right. And there just wasn't time for a zero budget thing that she spent all week working on every week. Exactly. Um, um, but we've been doing too many blind items. Um, well, no. The other thing that I'll say is, again, this brings us up to the present, is that my dream up until the age of ten, and I realize this is a very backdoor way of doing it, but my dream up until the age of ten was. I was going to work for Disney. You would have hated that. I would. I, well, it depends what the job would be. I think you would have hated. I it. I would have hated being an animator for Disney. What would be your ideal job at Disney? Um. Now I don't know. Probably just work in one of the theme parks. <laughs> <laughs> in this fantasy, you could have chosen anything. Yeah. And you put yourself at the 
the, the, the start the and hall stop of, hall, of, hall of presidents. <laughs> not even, not even one of the fun rides. No, no. You gave yourself. No, is Mr. Toad's Wild is Ride? Is Hall of President even a ride? No, is is uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride still at Disneyland? Never, I've never ridden it. I have no idea. That's where I'd want to be. One time, my dad and I went through Mr. Toad's Wild Ride when it still existed in, uh, I think it's a Winnie the Pooh ride at Disney World now. Um, which makes sense. There's more kids who are really into Winnie the Pooh than there are who are into Mr. Toad which anymore. Which fascinates me. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh is weird. Yeah, it's great, though. Also, you'd think kids would have, like, a lot more delight in the fact that his char- beloved's character name is Pooh. Yeah. Well, it's just a weird thing that just kids are like, yeah, I get it. Pooh. Yeah, I don't feel like kids are making that joke a lot. Yeah. Um, Winnie, yeah. Winnie the Pooh. Fun spoof. Um, well, you know, I I don't know if I've said this before, but there's a couple of cultural markers that I have in my head as things that mark the difference between when I was young and now in terms of, like, um, I don't... There's two things I mark in particular that I remember. I remember specifically there weren't a lot... Maybe there were... I'm sure there were jokes, but now it would be immediate jokes everywhere and you couldn't avoid them. What do you, uh, I don't know what you mean. I will talk about two examples. Um, the Brian, You're saying there's more jokes now than No, no, there's certain, th- there's certain things that even though the concept existed, it just wasn't the done thing to go direct to this type of joke. And here's the examples. Um, Brian Adams' song, uh, uh, Summer of 69. Yeah. If that song, if someone came out with a song now called the Summer of, It Was the Summer of 69, everyone's first stop would be to make a sex joke about that. Their first stop in life. Their first stop in life. It would just be like, you couldn't have voted. It would be like, well, why, would it, why would anyone think you could make this a song and we wouldn't make this joke? Like, you would, get, you would become, you would get, you'd be born. Mm-hmm. You would, uh, you know, uh, get taken care of by your parents, by your mother. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, you'd start crawling mm-hmm. after you're lifting your head. It's all adds up. Crawling would start to walking. Mm-hmm. You'd sort of mimic the the facial patterns of people that were talking, you'd sort of make cooing noises. Right. Um, you'd start sort of learning yes. words and things like that, but you wouldn't be able to really communicate them. You'd be able to start pointing, and you'd have the idea of what objects meant and what they were. Mm. And then eventually, um, your parents would be huddled you know, around the, the table eating dinner, and you would pause and take all the attention. And then you'd just go, as a baby... The Summer of 69 is a song about sex. That's how it would happen. Now, and that would be the first That's thing how did. things are now. That would be the first If that thing song came out now. If that song came out now, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. But don't... Do, I mean, you were probably too young when that song came out. Yeah. But I was at an age where if there'd what been... What year a, did that song come out? Um, let me find out. But... Uh, let, or let's have that be a blind item. No one knows when that song came out. Um, <laughs> Summer of 69 by Brian Adams came out in 1984. Okay. So I was immersed enough in grade school culture. So I was very young. Yeah. Non-existent. I was negative young. Uh, 1984 is a year that's going to come up uh, in another topic that I'm going to bring up in a little bit. 1984. Mark it and remember it. I'm going to bring up uh, the concept of a terminalian. Okay. Just, it'll make sense. It'll make sense about six hours from now. Uh, oh, and we should also say that this entire podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. <laughs> uh, 
If you want to buy your stamps. It's not. It's not brought to you by stamps. stamps, uh, Go to the website. Print out postage. Stamps.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Circuit City. When you're here, you're family. And when you're not, you're dead to us. (laughs) Circuit City. Plug Um, it in. Remember those commercials? The Circuit City commercials used to end. Circuit City, you know what I like? I'm sorry, I've got... It's okay. Um, I feel like it happens less now. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. But there used to be a thing where, where Cumps uh, chains would brand themselves mm-hmm. by how their building was shaped. Uh-huh. That happens less now because I think of, at least maybe, maybe it's just because I've moved to New York. Yeah. But Circuit City, if you remember, the entrance to Circuit City was always like a maroon red yeah. cube with rounded corners that sort of looked like a plug. The top of a plug. Yeah. And every Circuit City commercial ended with that red cube being plugged into the rest of the building as though that were the, the electrical, source. the power source turning on the, the, the store. Yeah. So now you can always tell when a Circuit City is shut down because it's a giant empty building with a big red square cube on the front of it. Yeah. You know? I don't, think, I don't think there's that many, like, branded, our store looks like this now. I guess there is. Ikea. Yeah, but that's a distinct Home one. Home Depot. That's a distinct one. Well, maybe not even Home Depot. I'm thinking like the shape of a building. Yeah. International House of Pancakes. Mm-hmm. Where you can really, really tell if someone... Well, like, uh, Taco Bell's used to be like that to the point where there's right. a... There's a... The best, sam- the best local um, sandwich shop in Jefferson City, Missouri is the Jefferson City Sub Shop. And they used to have a great location that was on the on uh, High Street in downtown Jefferson City, but that one closed. I don't know why that one closed because that was the one that was closer to like the heart of city government, and state workers would go have lunch there. It was always packed. But the one that stayed open is the one on Missouri Boulevard, which is where all the chain stores were, and it's in an old Taco Bell building. And everything about it, like the the new Taco Bells, have all taken over what the old Taco. Like most old Taco Bells have been torn down and replaced with. Right ones that look like the new ones. So it's, I have a memory of, like, this one has lots of, like, rounded brick kind of, like, um, right. archways and things like that. It's made to look like an adobe. A little bit, yeah. It has more of a, 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 a architectural stamp on it than the new ones, which look a little bit just kind of like a standard prefabricated building. Um, but, McDonald's, uh, with, you know, uh, in my hometown... yeah is one of the few McDonald's without arches. Ooh. Why? I mean, I guess there was McDonald's that have arches that are, like, inside things. But this is just, like, a McDonald's that is, like, looks like a regular restaurant. Oh, fascinating. Because the towns, the towns that I am from would not allow McDonald's to move in because they thought it was, you know... Gosh. Yeah, they thought it was gauche. So the agreement was that a McDonald's could move in, but they couldn't have their arches up. In, so it just looks like another restaurant. In Ashland, Oregon, where I lived, uh, they have a rule about um, that you can't have, like, big signs. So right. they have to be low to the ground. So all, when you drive down what is their equivalent of, like, the boulevard, they'll have, like, a Pizza Hut and a McDonald's, but they'll have, like, low to the ground signs that are very oh, weird. different. Uh, just because they don't want to, like, there's, it's in, like, this valley with the mountains. They don't want to ruin the view. Uh, so... Like, places that make those rules about, like, we want to keep the place nice. Yeah. Here's the opposite, which is a thing that happened in Missouri, which is if you drive through Missouri, especially on the highways, it's just like um, 
billboards everywhere. Just, it's just a garbage factory of billboards. It's horrible. And part of the reason for this is there was a point, I think in the last decade or so, where someone was trying to push through a law. I had, they were trying to push through a law that would limit billboards. Right. Because they were like, it's getting out of hand. The billboards are awful. Like, if you drive into Jefferson City, there's this great Missouri River, these great bridges, and the Capitol building, but there's just billboards blocking everything. Because, and it's Weird. Just, and, but here's what happened. Okay. This, I think there was a bill that was looked like it might pass. It was like something that was under consideration that was going to limit billboards. Uh-huh. And so what happened was, in anticipation that maybe billboards might be like, they might stop allowing new ones. Right. The com- the billboard companies went berserk and just put billboards everywhere, like just in the panic of we might this might be our last chance. Right. So they put billboards to the point where like sometimes you'll just be driving along I seventy and you'll just see like the same chain will have like five billboards in a row. It's like hey come to this place now, and it'll just be like obviously they just got a great deal on hey you right. want five billboards. Because the, they wanted to, like, make sure they... And then I don't even think that bill passed. Right. So it was, like, kind of thing where it's, like... It would be it'd be as if, like, a bartender was like, all right, last call. And everyone's like, oh, let me get my drink. And, and then every, they're like, oh, we're every, open. Exactly. Yeah, every drink in the place. That's I, I might be wrong about some of the details, of that, but I know that there... It, I, the one thing I know is that there's billboards everywhere, and they're part of the trigger for why there was a sudden double explosion of them was the fear that maybe they might not be able to keep having them. Interesting. Well, the original McDonald's, well, I guess, I don't know. There's, it's, I feel like the original of these big chains is always yeah. a sort of disputed thing. Yeah. There's like, oh, the original first chain and the original one that was based on... The McDonald's brother, the McDonald Brothers one was the first one, right? I read, I, I read Ray Kroc's autobiography. And I have no idea. Ray Kroc is the guy... He didn't invent McDonald's. I think he was, a, he was selling shake mixer machines to the McDonald brothers, and he was fascinated by their, their method of, of doing a restaurant, he was like, you could franchise this. And right. that was before that was an idea. He was like, you could replicate this other places. Right. And, so yeah. either the first McDonald's, based on that franchise idea or whatever, yeah. is in Des Plaines, Illinois, which is not too far. I mean, it's a good drive, but it's not yeah. too far. So it's sort of always a trip. Yeah. But the thing about it was that when you get there... The original McDonald's is behind a fence, and there's dummies inside. Ooh. Behave, like, as if they are. Like, you can't go inside it. It's a, a protected historical thing. It's like a protected thing. historical thing. So there's just mannequins. We have to go there, J.D. So you think that it's open, but it's not just mannequins. Is this close to your house? It's like maybe an hour. It's plus. an hour north or south? Uh, Towards Missouri? I don't know. Actually, I have no idea where this place is. Did we do is. an episode where we try to do both our hometowns? Would we be able to take a trip there? I doubt it. Oh, okay. I think it would be out of the way. Let we me have check. to do our own special episode where we just go there. Um, Live from Des Plaines. But Des Plaines also... Des Plaines is sort of like a weird place that's like stuck in an other era, or at yeah. least it's a part of it. Yeah. Because I would go to Des Plaines because they had a, a slot car track, like an old... like. Um, What's that mean? You know what slot cars are? Where they're on the... Yeah, and you yeah. have the little, the little trigger that makes them go. Okay. That's like a big, that was like a big thing. And it's not, it's not like the ones that you think of that you might have had as a kid that are like tiny the size of like, my, you know, uh, Hot Wheels cars. Yeah. These are like big-ish, like maybe like eight, eight, ten-inch cars. And the tracks are 
gigantic. Yeah. And it's like people like put time and money into this and they like race them. So they had one of those big slot car tracks in Des Plaines. So, you know, I'd go there for my birthday or whatever. Yeah. They also have a restaurant in Des Plaines called the Choo Choo Diner, which is a restaurant where your food is, your food is served to you on a model train that brings it around. Wow. But that was always just like one of those like... Des Plaines sounds great, J.D. I don't know if it is. They have a choo-choo diner and a, McDonald's, a classic McDonald's filled with dummies? Yeah. This is the greatest town on earth. Let's see. Is it everything else? Is it a ghost town? Are the I, people there horrible? What's wrong with this place? I have no idea. I'm trying to... I'm going to look up where Des Plaines is. Um, well, uh, Ray Kroc... I, uh, years ago, I was going to... I was writing a... a play or a stage project that I never ended up writing but I was going to I wanted to do a thing that was like the story of America but I didn't want it to be but I wanted to focus on on uh, McDonald's and Coca-Cola and I think I had a third thing I can't even remember what the third thing was but I wanted it to be like an American history play that um, oh no I think I think the three things I wanted to write about were McDonald's Coca-Cola and Philo Farnsworth and I think what ended up taking me away from it was that Aaron Sorkin wrote a play about Philo Farnsworth, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. Right. Um, but I was reading, I was doing research on these topics, because Philo Farnsworth is a guy who invented television and then got screwed out of it, basically. I mean, there's some dispute. There's a Russian guy that, the Russians also claim they invented television, but Philo Farnsworth, um, if you watch the TV show Sports Night, the best moment in both seasons is, a, and maybe the best Aaron Sorkin moment ever, as far as I'm concerned, is there is a speech that uh, William H. Macy's character in the second season of Sports Night, he gives to these executives. Uh-huh. Very much like you could film it here. You could film it in these offices. He's basically walking. There's these executives. Uh, William, this isn't a big spoiler, but um, um, William H. Macy. Oh, let me see if I can find the speech because it's, if it's on YouTube. Well, I, I guess the Splains is not far. Then we're going, J.D. I don't care what a, you say. It says it's only a 25-minute drive. Um, that can't be right. Can be right, J.D. Oh, and it, it's sort of on the way. Ooh. J.D. Okay. Uh, wait. Is it okay if I play a speech from Sports Night? Yeah. All right. I mean, we, yeah. I mean, I know legally it's not, but we're so deep into this. Okay, so let me just give the... Um, Actually, it's very much on the way. Very much. All right, great. So this is, uh, I just think this is a great piece of writing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this up so that it, it can be heard. Um, basically, Sports Night is a TV show um, by Aaron Sorkin. The first season is great writing, great acting, marred somewhat by ABC insisting that they had to sure. uh, have a, a studio audience. It sounds like a laugh track. I, only re- I was really mad when it came out on DVD because I know that you can watch the show MASH on DVD with or without the laugh track. Oh, Which interesting. I think is amazing. Because it's a very different show without the laugh track. Right. Um, but it's just like you can turn it on or off. Sports Night, I was like, why didn't they take the laugh track off? Nobody likes the laugh track. Yeah. What I found out is that it's not really a laugh track. They filmed it like a single camera show on a set with a studio audience in the studio watching on monitors because most of it they couldn't see because they have all these walls built around the right. set. So... Because it was being filmed like a single camera and not a multi-camera, the filming would take all day. So the audience that was there would get so exhausted. They'd be there for eight hours or something watching this show be made. So their energy level kept lagging, which meant that they had to 
sweeten the laughter just to balance it out. So none of the laughter sounds real. It sounds so unnatural. And so, but it also means they can't remove it because there is laughter that's like right. part of the original elements that they have for the show. You know, um, for the Chris Gethard show, we shoot long because that's sort of our show yeah. works best like that. And we edit it down to 22 minutes. Yeah. There's people online that are like, ugh, I hate all the added laughs. Yeah. We never add a laugh. Yeah. We never sweeten laughs. I'm so opposed to it. But the problem is if you edit something, you don't have a natural trail off. Yeah. So you have to like let the laugh. You have to like fade out the laugh so between sounds... between things that you cut out. Yeah. So we're never if we're never actually adding laughs. If anything, we're just taking them away too early. Right. So it sounds fake. Like you're you're. It sounds fading, like it sounds like down. a sound effect, but it's not. Yeah. That's um, I actually. And it makes me so mad when people are like, "Oh, there's added laughs." Like I would never add a laugh to something. No. God, that's so disgusting. No. Um, <laughs> there's um, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but there's a guy that I'm uh, that I went to school with, that I'm Facebook friends with. A guy from uh, is from Newcastle. Uh, nice guy. My experience with him uh, in school was nice. Um, however. Um, I posted the first episode of The Gethard Show. Uh, don't worry, oh, listeners. No. I know there's a couple of um, patches that we've, we left hanging, and we're going to get back to all of them. Um, yeah, the first one being something about Avery 80, Monson. <laughs> 1984. Um, we're going to get back to that. Uh, summer of 69. We're going to get back to um, Philo Farnsworth and all that. We'll get back to all of this, but this is a good tangent. Terminalian. Terminalian. Um, I like, now it kind of has a little bit of structure where we're sort of like, previewing, we're sort of teasing the upcoming segments just because we're going on tangents. Right now, tweet tweet, tweet it, 12HRJDConnor, uh, what do you think Terminalian is? Yeah, just tweet, not asking a question, tweet what you actually think it is. Yeah, tweet your prediction as to what Terminalian will be. So, um, uh, this guy, uh, I posted the first episode of The Gethard Show, and he started commenting on Facebook, uh, like, his criticisms, he was, like, live-tweeting, like, he's, like, I guess the first episode started out with Gethard listing, it was the what's the weirdest thing about my body, it's the model where Gethard's talking about, I have yeah. these weird elbows and these little claw hands and all that stuff. The first comment that this guy posted was, uh, and without explaining to anyone who wasn't watching it, so it was, like, a, 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 it just reads like a weird comment, because the first thing I was, like, on your respond? Facebook feed. On my Facebook feed. Um... In the comment under the link, he was like, um, "You didn't mention his fucking idiotic hairdo." Kind of a rude. Does he know you work on the show? Yeah, I mean it's obvious to anyone that is I'm this guy sort things. of a guy that's trying to be funny. I think, okay. but I was like, it annoyed me, right? And I um, posted just my only response was I replied to it immediately, just the word civility. And I thought, that should shut it down. Just, like, right. that word should be enough. That the reminder that civility is a concept that exists. Yeah, that, like, and then his next post, he didn't respond to that. His next, oh, he responded to that, and he was like, he was like, not really, maybe a little ill-mannered, but it's okay. Or something like that. It was like, he was, like, a justifying his own thing. Then his next thing was like, ugh, uh, people need to stop shouting. And then the next thing was like, ugh, I can't stand all the fake laughter. Uh, uh, people are laughing too much or something. And... I remember, first I posted a thing, and uh, the moment passed because I was on the subway when I was looking at this, and it, it di- Facebook didn't post my comment. Like, it 
Right. It, it rejected you didn't it have and the I internet. lost it. Yeah, exactly. My initial response was, uh, hey, man, uh, shut the fuck up. I was just like, this is my, this is my job, and you're really not contributing anything. <laughs> like, I didn't post this so that you could live tweet you. Like, I just posted, like, a real, like, angry yeah. response. That didn't go through, and then by the time it went through, he had another. He had the thing about like I hate all the fake laughter, and like I'm just going to respond to this one now. And one of the things I remembered is when he was one of the people talking up I'm Alan Partridge after like the first episode of the series I'm Alan Partridge, which right. was the follow up to Knowing Me, Knowing You. And I, but him and another guy were the ones talking up how great I'm Alan Partridge was. So I remembered that he was a fan of that, yeah. and that was what led me to discover Steve Coogan. Right, and. In the second series of I'm Alan Partridge, they have the same complaint, which was that the character gotten really popular, and they filmed it, but they the the laughs were from a studio audience. Um, but the problem was the character gotten so popular that the laughter also got like everything he did as Alan Partridge gets a laugh. Right. And Steve Coogan's response was, "It's not a laugh track. There is some editing that happens where." That's, I think the same kind of thing happens where you've got to like balance the laughs out uh, so that it doesn't just abruptly cut when you edit. Right. Um, so I responded to this guy and I was like, Steve, I said, I'll quote Steve Coogan uh, in his response to I'm Alan Partridge uh, when people said the laughs were too loud. He said, what do you want us to do? Uh, be less funny and make people laugh less? And, uh, and then this guy responded and he was like, uh, sorry, I'm just like, I, I guess I was just in a bad mood and I was like spoiling for a fight or something. And then he like quit doing it. But then like two days later I get a text from Gethard saying, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I guess Gethard saw the comments somehow. Of course he did. And, of course he did. And he's like, who the fuck is this guy? And I'm like, uh, he's a guy I went to school with. Uh, I don't know what his problem was. And he's like, yeah, man, seems like a dick. <laughs> like, he was just like real like, I was like, yeah, I mean, this guy was just like, but I'm like, it is one of those things where, like, people, I don't understand why people be, because I understand why anonymous internet trolls are assholes on the internet. I don't like it, but I get it. It's like, oh, you feel like you can do anything you want. Right, it's an, it's an anonymous thing. You're getting your thrills by being a bad person online. It's a thrill to you. I don't understand why people right. on Facebook, Facebook isn't anonymous. I know this guy. He's being a dick about this thing that I'm clearly not posting to be like, hey, what are your thoughts? Do you have bad ones? Let's post them in the comments. Yeah, uh, it's, it'd be like if someone posted their baby pictures. Yeah, and you just start saying, like, like, looks bad. Dumb baby. That baby isn't I like most Ugh. babies. This one's not cute. This, is a, this baby looks fucking dumb. I just don't understand. I mean, this will go on to another topic, which is that I... Recently, I was realizing... That, and this is just, I, and not everyone has to be like me. This is just a system that I'm comfortable with. That I've been working, I think gradually, one of my goals as a person is to try to have one as consistent as possible system for how I evaluate things, uh, especially creative things, art. Um, I, it, I disagree vehemently. About what? I think what you're about to say. Okay, here's the thing. Um, people have a system where they're like, I noticed this at one point when like, it was like my mom and my sister were talking about some like model or someone on TV and they're like, I don't think she's very attractive at all or something like that. They were saying something like that. And I was like, come on. Like if that was your niece and she was a model, you wouldn't have that opinion. 
Oh, yeah, okay. You, I, don't, I don't disagree with what you're going to say. I don't think you would. I was like, I, you wouldn't think that. You have a different system, and you're being, you're actually, it's, you're going too easy on your hypothetical niece who's a model, and you're being unnecessarily harsh on this model because they're famous and you don't have a stake in them. Right. And it's a hard thing, but, like, I don't want to just find something funny because it's my friends doing it. And I don't want to be, like, an asshole about some other thing because I just, oh, I'm going to choose to be, like, real picky about this comedy. I would like to think things are funny because they're funny. And I'd like to balance out as much as I can my personal biases and the natural tendency to maybe be a little bit bitchy about, like, I mean, I don't think I have that tendency as much as a lot of other people. I see people in the comedy community commenting on uh, movies and comedy things in particular in ways that I'm like, hey, man, if this was your show or your friend's show, you would have a, such a different standard for what works. And Yeah, you know, that's something a long time... I feel like we talked about this on an earlier episode. Probably. But, like, um, I don't really comment publicly on people's creative work mm-hmm. anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I won't even say whether or not I like the movie. I'll say if I like the movie a lot. Yeah. Or if I'm happy leaving a movie. Yeah. But I will never give a review of a movie. Right. I will never... And it, because... Ultimately, especially if you're in that world, that creative world, and you're, yeah. you, you have, if you have aspirations to be in that world, yeah, you then you like have it. to understand yeah. that there's more, more things going on in people's situations when they're trying to create stuff. So it's, it's I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel useful to me. I, I was having a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because... I tend to err mostly on the side of, like, I have no problem being a public enthusiast. I feel like it's such a useful thing. I feel like it's like, hey, I love this movie. I want to tell people about it. You should see this movie. It's like, I want to guide people towards this thing that I think is great. Um, I feel less useful uh, if I see a movie and I hate it. Unless there's, like, a real, real solid reason that I can get behind uh, in terms of, like, here's why you shouldn't see this movie. I feel like it would take a lot at this point for me to get on, for me to like do a Facebook post where I'm like, guess what? Went and saw this movie. Not impressed. Yeah. I don't know what it would take for me to get to that point now. I don't think I could because it just to me doesn't seem very useful. It doesn't seem helpful. I also, there's very few things that I dislike as far as movies. I feel like you reach a certain point where, or maybe you don't. Maybe I've reached a certain point where I don't seek out things that I don't think I'm not going to like. Yeah. Or if I do seek them out, I'm okay with not liking them. Right. It's not a personal offense to me because I know I've sought out something that I think I think I might not like. Yeah. I think there's only been a few instances where um, – my expectations yeah. were different, and that's when you get into trouble is when your expectations right. are different. Um, I, feel, I feel like there's, there's a movie recently that I saw that I didn't, I didn't like, and when people would ask me about it and talk about it, I would say I didn't like it. Then the more I talked about how I didn't like it, I was like, I didn't really dislike it. It was fine. Yeah. It also, when you aren't wild about something and other people are, right. it doesn't feel like, I don't feel like, well, I don't want to make, I don't want to take away from their fun. I'm glad well, they liked it. So, like, recently there was this whole thing with uh, Mad Max Fury Road, right? right? Uh, people, trailers, people were very excited about the trailers. Then the movie came out and people were saying, 
this is... Five stars. Five stars. This is an amazing film. Yeah. It's one of the best action movies of all time. It's yeah. going to go down in... in leg it's a legendary movie. Yeah. And then because of that, one of my close friends saw it. What's that? No. Oh. That was a blind item. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, one of my best friends saw it, and... We had two different close friends see it, who I think maybe had... And hated it. Yeah. Hated it, hated it, hated it. And wouldn't stop texting me about it. Yeah. Going... This movie's awful. Everyone's talking about and telling me all the reasons they disliked it. And then um, I was at, at at work, and this person wouldn't stop talking about it. And was getting to arguments with people about it. Yeah. Did you watch this thing? You liked it? No, it was so bad, and it was so strange to me. So then I went and saw it, and yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I didn't love it. I liked. I it didn't fine. hate it. I liked it fine, but I also it does. I can imagine there was a time in my life where I would have been bothered by other people enjoying it so much and me not getting it. I remember that happened with Moulin Rouge. I didn't particularly like Moulin Rouge. It was one of the few movies where I remember getting mad that I didn't like it. But I was really mad because I was like, why does everyone love this movie so much? Right. And really it's kind of like a selfish, insecure reaction to have because now if I saw Moulin Rouge and didn't like it, I probably still wouldn't like it, I think. Uh, or maybe I'd like it more. I don't know. I'm different now. But... Um, it wouldn't bother me that everyone else was liking it. Um, I'd kind of be like, well, you know, I'm glad some people are like Like, it's sort of like you get to a point of like, I have more than enough things that I enjoy. I don't need to be mad that other people are enjoying a thing that I don't like just because I don't get it. And I think it comes with a certain amount of self-awareness that the amount that you like a movie is very rarely related to the movie itself. Yeah, it's how it much you like yourself. It can be. No, I know, I, I, know. I know you're joking, but like, I think it, I, to me it's about the circumstance under which you're yeah, watching yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, I've created this... I have this sort of thing that I've been doing maybe for, like, uh, like seven years now, where when I go and see movies, I don't really plan ahead of time to go see a movie. Yeah. I decide in an instant that I'm going to see a movie. I start walking to the theater and then see what movies are out and what's playing. Yeah. And I just decide to see it like that. Because then you have no expectations. Right. And you just go, oh, I'm going to see a movie now. And that's, that's a fun experience. I think because... Otherwise, what you get into is, I'm going to go see it this night. Okay, here's what everyone's saying about it. Here's what I think. I'm going to yeah. plan my night. And then when it's not everything you hoped, it feels like, well, this entire night I've planned around enjoying this thing is not good anymore. And so yeah. I've wasted all this energy that I spent planning it. As opposed to when it's sort of just like yeah. a casual afterthought to your day, then the movie can just be something that either strikes you or doesn't strike you. Also, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I... I always want to like what I'm going to see, and I like what I can out of it. Like, I had a really fun time seeing Jurassic World. It's far from a perfect film. There are huge swaths of it that are, in fact, like... And I tend to be skeptical when I start seeing, like, things like... I'm skeptical of think pieces. I'm skeptical of, like, clickbait kind of articles about, like, this is the problem with this movie or here's the problem right. with this TV show. With Jurassic World's all the feminine, like... They're right. I mean, they're, they're right. The Bryce Dallas Howard character is a train wreck of bad writing. Uh, but there's so many things in that movie that are great fun. It's my second favorite of the Jurassic Park movies. Oh, really? Yeah. I just enjoyed it. And I can look at that part of it and I can say, like, yep, you, I know what they could have done that would have made this a lot better. But I'm also pretty good at compartmentalizing, like... I think they did a terrific job of making a fun summer movie. 
I totally get why people have a problem with the that character. The thing that makes the least amount of sense in that movie is the setup is that you have these two brothers and they're and the parents are look like their marriage is in trouble. And I haven't seen it. This isn't major spoiler. This isn't going to spoil any I'm of the fun. I'm not spoiling. I'm just saying I have no context. Uh, and Bryce Dallas Howard plays the sister who works is an executive who works at uh, Jurassic World and it makes all kinds of important decisions there. And the two sons get there, and they're met by by Bryce Dallas Howard's assistant. And then they go take her, and they're like, "Where's she? Where? Where's our aunt that they haven't seen in a long time?" And then when she meets up with them. Um, she says to them, oh, it turns out like I have all these really important meetings with uh, people today. I'm not going to be available until 6. And then the assistant's like, oh, no, no, you have it. Oh, sorry, I'm not going to be available until 7. And the two, there's a teenager and kind of a, like a preteen. Right. And they're devastated. Like there's this shot of her as she walks away where the, the, two, the two boys are like heads hanging low. Like, it's so, like it, it is as if she said like, this is all you'll see of me is right now. Right. I won't be, you won't see me again. She, all she does is she's busy until 7 that evening, and then she's free the whole next day. And they're at Jurassic World, a dinosaur theme park. I don't think that there are any two young men in the world who would be like, I don't get to spend the whole day with my aunt, who I'll see tonight and tomorrow. I have to kill the day at a dinosaur theme park. Huh. Like... But every character who learns this, like when the mother find, when the, the mom finds out, like you're not with them now. No, not till seven tonight. Every character reacts as if a horrible thing has been done, and I just can't imagine a world in which people would have a problem with the fact that, like, yeah, they're going to spend the day hanging out. My assistant's with them. They're going to hang out at dinosaur theme park all day, and then I'll see them tonight, and I'll hang out with them all day tomorrow. Right. But it's and also you gain nothing in the movie in terms of. Added tension, added anything. Literally, if the scene had been, hey, kids, great to see you. I'm busy till 7 tonight. Uh, I'll see you then. And the kids have been like, fine, see you tonight. And then the same movie happens. It's a better movie. Just having a normal interaction was like, hey, see you tonight. And then Dinosaur Havoc goes, like, you don't need that extra source of... I'd like to point out that we talked about how we don't like the publicly... uh critique movies, but this is not public, this is private. If you're listening to 12-Hour Day, you're listening to a private conversation that you are part of. Also, I feel like uh, I, can, I think you can tell from my tone that these criticisms of it come from a person who enjoyed the movie and, and thinks that the general negative tone about the movie has been way overstated. You know what's funny is that I was going to see Jurassic World. I was yeah. very excited to. Yeah. I really like big summer blockbusters. Yeah. So I think it's fun. And I was like really excited because and I, I had this realization how, how goofy this was, is that, you know, TBS or whatever was doing it, uh, you know, an, an advertising takeover of all Jurassic World. So, like, Chris yeah. Pratt was hosting right. all of their programming for the day. And I was like, that's sort of fun. I, I like when, so, you know, like... When it becomes a big event. When it becomes a big event. And then they played the Jurassic Park movies, and the first one was on. I was like, oh, I'm excited to see this third one. And then the second, and then third, and then... Is this the fourth? This, this is the fourth. The third came on, and I was like, eh, I don't think I need to see Jurassic World. Just because I was not... I the third one does not tickle me in any way. And I, I was like, the third one. But I basically went through all of the marketing takeover. I yeah. just became exhausted by Jurassic, the Jurassic franchise. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to see it. And I now s- it's like past. And I was like, probably not going to see it now. I sort, of, I sort of think this one works as a direct sequel to the first one. Oh, interesting. Um, 
like you don't need the second or third one to have this one make sense, I don't think. It could just be 20 years went by, they opened it. Jurassic Park was a, like they alluded to the fact that Jurassic Park was like this, there's a point where a guy's wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt, a guy who works there, and a, and a character's like, don't, don't wear that. Where'd you get that shirt? He's like, I bought it on eBay. She's like, don't wear that. And it's as if it's like Jurassic Park was like 9-11. It was like a tragedy, right. a dinosaur tragedy that happened. Uh, this is a new thing. Like, uh, Are any of the old characters in it? Um, just B.D. Wong. Okay. Uh, I think he's the only character to recur from it. No Goldblum, huh? No Goldblum. I'd love to see Goldblum back in a Jurassic movie. He was um, in... He was in the second one. Was it the third one? No. Oh, that was the second one. Um, the second one has a couple... The opening sequence of the second one is perfect. The one where that little girl wanders off and there's a the little cute dinosaur... Oh, yeah. And then she's like, oh. And then a bunch of them start, and then it looks like that girl gets killed. Right. And it bothered me so much that, like, five minutes later, Richard Attenborough says, like, oh, the girl, it turns out she recovered. Or, like, they, they throw in a line of dialogue, that I'm like, oh, I thought this movie had such a big set of balls at the beginning of it to be like, you're going to start your second Jurassic Park movie killing a, an Child. adorable little girl with little cute dinosaurs. Like, it was such a horrifying opening that I was like, oh, my God, this movie is devastatingly like raising the stakes from the first right. one um, and then the, the second one has a couple of great sequences it has one of Spielberg's best shock moments there's a part where the uh, Goldblum's daughter is uh, uh, digging to yeah. get out from under fence and then the camera moves with her to say something and when she goes back to the hole the raptor's head comes through the thing oh right and it's like one of those big Jaws style like yeah. you jump and scream in the theater Spielberg's good at that stuff. I mean, oh. but the thing that the thing that I feel sad for is when I see people like they go see Jurassic World, they don't like it, and then their immediate reaction is to go to Facebook and to warn everybody else like this movie sucks, we hate it, I, I hated it. There's not one moment that's good in it. And the thing that bothers me about it to a certain extent is. I'm not trying to come up with, I mean, maybe I am. Maybe I'm just melting into the, I mean, that's my nature, I think, to have this sort of like, well, yes, but on the other hand, like, that's the way I tend to look at most things. And I think it's probably, like, I'm an agnostic. I think a lot of people probably look at me as, like, very wishy-washy, pick-a-side uh, kind of reaction to things. Right. But it's more that, like, I'm like, if half of the people who, like, if I made... Jurassic World. All this, I think, if I'm, let's say I made that movie, I'd be, I'd be like, eh, I messed some stuff up in it, but I'd be pretty happy with it. I'd be pretty like, wow, I can't believe I made that Jurassic World movie. Right. Pretty proud of a lot of moments in it. Like, I think I, did, I, think I made a fun summer movie. And I, there's a weird thing where I feel like if a lot of the people who had such a viscerally negative reaction to it, if the thing they made was as effective at being what it is as Jurassic World, They'd be pretty proud of it. Right. And I feel it's weird for me the way crea some creative people get so... And I mean, some of it is they are that hard on themselves. But in a lot of cases, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I would say it's probably not the case for most of it, yeah. That, that you'll see people post, like, blistering critiques of, like, just scorched earth. I hated this thing. It's no good. This thing sucks. And then they'll put out their own thing, and I'll be like, I wonder if they're holding the... And their thing might be good, but it might also not... Even their good thing might not hold up to that level of scorched earth, uh, love it or hate it criticism. Yeah, and I think, we, I think we're living in a period of time where it's... 
everything is either the highest grossing movie of all time. Or a disaster. Or a disaster. Yeah. A movie can't just be a fine movie. Yeah. You know, it has to be that. And also. Even with like indie stuff, it has to be like. Birdman is the greatest film. No, I hated it. Yeah, I was fine with Birdman. But yeah. it also, I don't think Birdman in any way is the greatest movie of all time. But I think it's a good movie. Yeah. I liked it. But I, I, we're, we, it's, everything is so polarized right now. I don't know. It's and so also, strange. I, also, there's a weird thing where it's like, it seems like a lot of people aren't comfortable just being like, you know what? It's not my bag. Yeah. Like, it's not for me. Like, uh, somebody asked... Oh, I was talking about uh, um, the Peanuts movie that's coming out. Uh, talking about that this week with some people who were like, Hey, I just got a voicemail from Scott Holmes. Scott Holmes from Jump on 3 and the FBI. Yeah. Well. Are we allowed to say that? Uh, blind item. Reverse blind item. I think so. We're not allowed to say that? No, I think you are. All right. I, that's not a covert thing, is it? We didn't uncover where he is. No. From the room, I mean. <laughs> um, how's Scott doing? Good. I don't know. He's calling to check in. How often do you talk to Scott? I had a dream about Scott the other night. Scott Holmes is a funny guy. Scott Holmes is great. He's one of those guys, just a nice guy. He's an easy guy to sit and talk to. He's a guy that should be on the podcast. Yeah. It'd be great. Why don't we have him on the podcast? Yeah. He said Scott he's Holmes in, is in. He said he's in Pennsylvania right now. What's funny is we could tell him to drive from drive Pennsylvania. He could still make it on, the, on this episode. On this episode. Uh, Scott Holmes, you might, uh, uh, eagle-eyed viewers will remember him. Uh, he was my security for the presidential campaign and a number of that. Like, yeah. It's funny because I don't even think of, when I think of when's the last time I saw Scott, I don't think of those instances because I was in character and he was in character. And we didn't hang out before or after any of those things. Yeah. He would just show up stand there and be my security guy and for a lot of them actually for the 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 meeting that we had in the office and for the uh, debate with um with uh what's his name Jamie McMillan Jamie McMillan and for the press conference down by the statue like he was there standing for all those things yeah um but oh we're talking about the peanuts movie and a lot of people are, like, we're nervous this week because there's a new trailer and it's got, like, modern music in well, it and stuff. Well, you know what? I don't, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm bored with everything being rebooted. Being rebooted. Well, that's the thing. I, I think that's a fair opinion. And that's an opinion I have, too, which is that, like, this Peanuts movie, I'm hopeful that it'll be good because it's Paul Feig. And I like that there's some semblance of trying to keep the Schultz aesthetic in it, even though it's a CGI, 3D movie. But I, my question is, what do we have to gain from rebooting all these things? Well, that is a true and valid point. Like, this thing might not be my bag at all. Like, when it comes out, if I don't like it, I'll be like, well, you know what? I'm probably not the audience for this. It probably is, like, kids who've never heard of Peanuts before, and maybe they'll like this new thing. Kind of like New Muppets things are. Which is like, New Muppets things, maybe they're not, maybe it's just not for me. Did you see the new Muppet show? I haven't seen it. It's not out yet, right? No, the trailers for it. Are oh, the tra- how are the trailers for it? Good. It's like Doc style. Yeah. It might be real funny. It might also be real funny and real good and also still not fully be for me. Yeah. Um, I do think, I think this is my opinion, and I think it's probably the same as your opinion, which is that 
my wish would have been for the Muppets to be treated the way Saturday Night Live is, which is just that Kermit and Piggy would be like Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi and, and Gilda Radner, and just like at a certain point, like those aren't they aren't in the Muppets anymore. Uh, right. The problem is I haven't seen them come up with new Muppets that I'm very excited about. Um, but there have been a couple of Muppets. What's like post the Henson. person Muppet? What's his name? From Walter. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. But like the who's the little crawfish or whatever? Pepe. Pepe. He's, he's a, good. He's a post Henson Muppet that is an example of a way forward. And what I, would have been the, a way forward? The bear is funny too. The bear security guard is funny. Yeah. So there are examples uh, of post Henson Muppets that I'm like, what if they had just cycled out? Like if a Muppet dies, as in Jim Henson dies, um, you know, Bert gets a new roommate. I know that's heartbreaking, but like. I would have watched some Sesame Streets where Bert just is a guy who lives alone and complains. And then eventually Bert gets a new oh. roommate. Oh. I, I hate all this. Yeah. Well, time for bed. Time for a shower. <laughs> he installs a shower. Bert installs a shower in the bathroom because he doesn't take baths. Yeah. That was Ernie. Um, but it's too late now. I mean, it's not too late. But like that would have been the model that I would have followed, which is just like, you know what? Let's not use Kermit anymore. Let's, let's like invent some new Muppets. And Muppets will be just funny puppets that are like. Tell me a new life. Muppet right now. New Muppet. New Muppet? That would be funny. Um, well, let me think. Start with like, I'd probably start with the personality and then you back into the Yeah, rest. like if I was doing the, the, the TV show one, I'd come up with a puppet that was like a Lorne Michaels puppet. You know? Sure. Like a producer character who was a little bit like aloof, and you'd get someone that wasn't quite a Dr. Evil level right. impersonation, but would be like. Sometimes the Muppets would do that where they'd have like a celebrity. But it wouldn't fully be a celebrity. It would just be like a close thing. Right. Um, I mean, truly, I know this brings us back to some controversial territory, but rather than doing, like when we've talked about Sesame Street spoofs, yeah, that would be a way that you'd create a lot of fun new Muppets, like the, the, um, the House of Cards uh, spoof that they did that was like a Three Little Pigs. The guy who was like the um, Frank Underwolf or whatever like right. that. Like, those characters are funny characters that you, without them being a direct spoof. I think what you said could be an interesting take, too, is that, or this inspired me. It's like, what if one of the characters was, like, a uh, a Muppet that came from, like, the Sesame Street world but was now trying to break into, like... Yeah, great joke. Real TV? Yeah. So it's like, this guy's like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. Oh, boy. And they're all like, ugh, this guy. Yeah. I also think... While I also think, and this now we're going to tie back a little bit to the way things have changed. Um, you don't want to keep brainstorming Muppets. No, this will continue with okay. brainstorming Muppets. But I'd like to spend a good portion of this podcast brainstorming Muppets. Uh, we're never going to stop brainstorming Muppets from now on on the podcast. <laughs> um, hashtag brainstorming Muppets. Hashtag brainstorming Muppets. Um, One, two, HR, JD, Connor. You're, you're saying it more, did you plan to say it more accurately and repeatedly this time what our Twitter handle is? No. Because that's not a thing that's happened in any previous episode that you've really made a point of it. We usually forget and kind of... Let's retcon it. New viewers, listeners, just assume that we are this accurate in the past. Yeah. Um, The Summer of 69. All right, so that song comes out in 84. I don't recall any school year jokes about it, and I find it impossible to imagine that if you were in an elementary school now and someone came out with a song, it was the summer of 69! I don't think you could get around a, a, a grade school... Uh, uh, playground without there being a significant number of jokes. That's a funny song. Right. Uh, to a kid, especially. Because also, that's one of the first, that's one of those sex acts that as a kid, 
is funny because it also you're so you're so close to the point where like Sesame Street where you're learning numbers and yeah. things like that. The idea that it almost feels like a dirty Sesame Street joke. Right. Um, can you imagine if there was ever an episode of Se- Sesame Street that was brought to you by the numbers six and nine? Couldn't happen. But wouldn't maybe happen. it could. I bet it would. Ten years from now, the co- the culture. This is part of the culture, the coarsening of the culture, though, which is that. I think we're ten years away from a Sesame Street episode that is brought to you by the, the, the number six and nine. It's like I'm number six. I'm number nine. You're just me upside down. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a kiss. Uh, the let me put your penis in my mouth. <laughs> it's like, ten years. All right. Right now, 2025 is when the culture will be uh, coarsened to the point where that is, or just enlightened to the point where people are not. Freaked out by sexuality. Sesame Street is just two numbers going, oh, we're fucking each other. Um, (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the letters F and the numbers 6 and 9. F. This F is for me. Fun. This F is for you. F me. (laughs) F you. (laughs) F. Um, But... Here's the other thing. I like just your theory that Sesame Street is becoming this vile, evil not place. Not yet. Not yet. Ten years from now. And we'll think of it as vile. A new generation will be like, look, this is the way we talk about sex. It's not a weird thing to us. Um, the Field of Dreams. Major feel-good motion picture starring Kevin Costner. Yes, Iowa. Heartwarming. Uh, uh, family-friendly. Yep. This is the movie. The tagline... And the uh, key line of dialogue that recurs throughout the film, if you build it, they will come. I don't recall a single joke when I was in school and this came out. I'm sure there were jokes, but I don't think you'd be able to avoid it now to the point where I don't think that movie exists. If, if someone pitches that now and they're like, yeah, it's going to be a, a movie about a guy... Uh, he builds this, there's this ball field and these ghosts and it's inspirational and all this stuff. They'd be stopped at the ball field? Ball field? Ball field? Ball. No, but if you're like, and then the message that he gets is, if you build it, they will come. I think at that point, the first note you get back is, change that line. You can come up with something else. They will arrive. Yeah. If you build it, it will happen. Yeah. N- there's no way that... Don't you think that that is a key marker in, the, in a difference in just the content of our culture? That you just can't imagine that movie coming out and not realizing that the first thought that everyone has when you're like, yeah, I had this vision. And the line in my head was, if you build it, yeah. they will come. I was in, when I was in uh, high school, this is a story that will make no sense. Because I've I never been able to make sense of it. But... Come on, Eileen, and things like that. That was a, a joke when that song came out. There were jokes about that. I'm sure there Schoolyard were schoolyard jokes. There'd be more jokes now, I like because so. I don't recall a lot of jokes when that song came out. But it's not that there weren't jokes in the same way that like it's not that there weren't uh, gay men in the 1940s. But the culture didn't uh, speak to it. Right. Uh, and now. Uh, now the culture never shuts up. <laughs> now there's just things that, and some of them are great things. It's like, it's better now that there aren't as many things that people don't talk about. And there's some things that are worse that we don't talk about. I think we, I think the conversation about um, 
I think that there were things that were talked about like on sitcoms like All in the Family in the 1970s that were much more progressive and much more like proactive, like let's really deal with these issues that now you would have a hard time finding on a sitcom. Um, but anyway, so uh, anyway, um, I think there maybe is an opening for uh, a coarsening of the Muppets. Like I think now, I mean, there is some adult humor in Muppets that's kind of shielded, but I also think that, like, we live in 2015 now, and I think that, like, the Muppets can still be innocent and also acknowledge the fact that, like, uh, most first graders are watching hardcore pornography. You think that is true? I mean, it's got to be, right? I don't think so. I think the second that a little boy I, I, figures out how to work but, a tablet. I'm going to say this. Uh, viewers, listeners, <laughs> I was reading an email from our lawyer for the show yeah. as Connor was talking. Yeah. So I sort of tuned out for a second. And what I came back to is Connor proclaiming proudly that first graders would watch hard. I said that page. partly because you we, weren't listening. <laughs> we've gone somewhere that I don't think we need to go. Maybe we should just, maybe we should say this, just close this loop. Get back to one of our other loops. No, this is the same loop. What no, loop I'm just this? saying that, like, part of it is... Connor, where, what... I was saying why, that... Why that, have we gotten here? That if... There has always been a little bit of innuendo within Muppets, and even with, within these things, and I can imagine you and I maybe having a bad reaction to um, suggestive humor on a Muppets show. But maybe that's just where the culture has gone. Maybe, like, there's a certain amount of, like... <laughs> Uh, things that would have been considered horrific um, or in really bad taste. It's just like, well, you know, things are different now. You know, like, what's funny is different now because part of what's funny is what's surprising. And what's surprising now... I mean, I... You know, like, South Park has done things in comedy that have sort of changed where the bar is as far as yeah. what you can joke about. And it's a funny show. Like, a lot of the things that they've done, you have a lot of imitators who do it bad. Like, Were there shows you weren't allowed to watch as a kid? No. Um, I don't think so. I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons. Oh. No, I mean... Until I started watching The Simpsons. I remember... My dad going to see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and I wasn't allowed to go see that in the theater. Because but, it was too graphic. Yeah, because it was the invention of, like, PG-13 at that year, basically, like, right. because of movies like that. Um, that and Gremlins were the two movies that, like, Spielberg's making these movies are too intense to be PG. Right. That's why you see a PG movie from the 70s. It's a little more intense than a PG movie now. Yeah, which I think is dumb. Like, you can see... If you see a, a PG comedy in the 70s, you could see, like, men's butts in it. Right. And it's just, you wouldn't see that in uh, a PG movie now. PG is just like, it's for kids, but maybe someone goes, dang. Yeah, and they, like, sweat. It's, like, intense in a way that a G is. Like, I bet, like, Meatballs is, like, a PG film. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, it's, like, they swear and are, like, going on sexcapades. But generally speaking... Uh, other than that specific example, I was allowed to watch what I wanted. And, um, like, when I was in, and by the time I got to, like, junior high and high school, like, I was watching, like, Blue Velvet and stuff like that. And, like, my parents were aware that I was watching stuff that was, like, intense. Um, my, 
best friend in grade school was not allowed to watch a lot of stuff. Uh, he was not allowed to watch like Warner Brothers cartoons because they were too violent. So he would watch them like at my house, or we'd find a way to watch them in other places. Um, his mom threw out all of his X-Men comics because she thought that uh, his parents were real religious, and uh, she thought that the X-Men were called the X-Men because they were X-rated. Really? And even though he explained to his mom that they weren't, it didn't matter. He wasn't allowed to have X-Men comics. And so he had a hidden stack of them. And unfortunately, when she found them, one of the covers was like, it's like Wolverine and so-and-so, a love story or something. It was like a romantic cover. It was like an unusually romantic right. cover. And she was just like, oh, X-Men. And she threw them all out, all of his comics out. Yeah. I, parents who try to do that, I, I feel like it never works. Like, if anything you end up just getting a more rebellious teenager, a more rebellious adult. Yeah. Um, what age were you allowed to watch The Simpsons? College? <laughs> I just last year. My, just last my year. Mom Your mom was, was okay. like, J.D., taking, the, taking the, the boundaries off. Yeah. Um, I want to say like sixth grade or so. Yeah. Do you remember when you were first allowed to watch it? I think it was that I would watch it and my sister would be like, you're not allowed to watch it. I'd be like, shut up. And I'd just keep watching it. <laughs> it's a really strictly enforced ban. It was just a taunt that was immediately rejected. Well, it was like my parents didn't want me to watch it, but then like my parents wouldn't watch what I was watching. And my sister would be like, you know, watch this. Yeah. And then I would go, I'm going to watch it. It's funny. It's amazing to think now. And then I think what happened is my parents would see me watching and be like, why are you watching this? And then it'd be like, it's funny, and they'd watch it for a second, and like something really funny would happen, and they'd laugh. And then and it'd be like, like, our son is right. Yeah. It'd be like, okay, that is funny. It's amazing to think. I think one of, I mean, it's horrific, but to think of the fact that when The Simpsons premiered, and then Fox made a big move of moving it from, it was on Sunday night, it was a hit, and they made a big move of moving it to Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock Central, up against The Cosby Show, which was the biggest show in the country. Yeah. And Bill Cosby made a big deal of like how he was a, he was against the Simpsons and they were a bad influence and Bart being an under, they had all the Bart Simpson underachiever and proud of it and uh, I'm Bart Simpson who the hell are you and all these things and Bill Cosby was such a big public scold about like what a bad thing the Simpsons was yeah things like that are so strange to think of now that's like yeah there was a point in time when like the Simpsons was being like called out by the man we now know to be a, uh, a serial rapist. Right. Who was then. People are great. Some people are great. People are great. Everyone's great. Everyone's great. Some people are better than others. Um, a new Muppet. What's your new Muppet? No, I'm opening the floor back up to new Muppets. I came up with one. I came up with one, too. No, you didn't. I came up with... We, I do Lord Yours Michael's... Was, yours was... Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Um, um, most okay. of mine are going to be based on other people. Uh, I would come up with one that uh, is a monster that would be too big to fit inside the studio. Of course you would. So he's, at, he's just outside the entire time. And they, like, open up a window and he's like, Can I be on this episode? And he'd be like, uh, yeah, 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 we're going to try to, yeah, we're, uh, we got your script, we're going to see what we can do, we'll see if it, and it's always like, oh, it got cut, I'm sorry, and he's like, oh, everything gets cut. And he's like this giant building-sized monster. That's good. 
Um, but he's real self-conscious of it. He's like, well, that's, that's okay. I'll keep working on it. Um, my Muppet uh, will be a character called Tony Fingers. Uh, Connor. Uh, why? Careful. Why? The name Tony Fingers just immediately goes to places of molestation and harassment. Nope. Tony Fingers was born in a lab. Uh, he was invented by Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. Uh, and he has too many fingers, and he's just fingers everywhere. He's just mostly fingers, <laughs> That's funny. and his fingers all have personalities. So each finger is its own Muppet, like a Doozer-style Muppet. Uh, and Tony Fingers, his catchphrase is, I never should have been born. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically just a heightening of Beaker to a certain extent, because I think we get the feeling that Beaker was made by Dr. Monson do right? If there's a backstory... Yeah, that he was some sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, like there is something really sad where it's like... Is that like the Muppet version of like a developmental disability? Where it's like, oh, there's some sort of chromosome disorder that like Honeydew tried early like stem cell and he's like a chromosome genetic like, uh-oh, something went wrong. So he's like mentally sort of there, but... Yeah. Sort of not there, and he can't really communicate, and his sort of body isn't proportioned right. Yeah. I mean, when you think about... It's always a little dark. When you think of the second-tier Muppet cast, there is a lot of darkness in those characters. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew is genuinely a disturbing character. I think he's hilarious, but, like, his... Oh, dear. His mild... Like, even the way yeah. he's built is so restrained. No eyes. The fact that he... Uh, and it's hilarious he looks like a honeydew melon. It, that's hilarious. That's a hilarious joke. Yeah. Um, it's a great name. The fact that his assistant is always being damaged. And looks like a beaker. And um, who's the terrorist in the Muppets? Um, Harry. Uh, Crazy Harry. Crazy Harry. That's a dark character. Do they even use Crazy Harry anymore? Uh, they do. I think they just call him Harry. Yeah. Because it's not appropriate to call him crazy anymore. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, cookie is a sometimes food. Yeah. Come on. You know what I just watched recently what? that is hilarious? What? Frank Oz as Cookie Monster on the Martha Stewart show. Have you seen this? No. So they had Cookie Monster on the Martha Stewart show, and I guess they were filming for so long or something happened, and there's all these rules, and Frank Oz just like... It was, I guess, after... He had stopped really performing it during the show. Yeah. He would only do special appearances. Right. And so they wanted Cookie Monster, and he was like past the point where he gave a care anymore. Yeah. So Martha Stewart's trying to do stuff, and he just keeps sort of ruining it and going off on these tangents and making these weird references. I gotta watch it. It's really funny. Because um, Martha's like. It's kind of like when you see Conan O'Brien uh, in Martha Stewart's kitchen, he won't stop hitting the pans, and she's just like not happy. Yeah, exactly. Here, I mean, some of it could be that she's good at... I wonder how I much think, is that well, she's she, good at playing into it, but it's also she like... she is good because she's actually very, a very funny person, I think. Yeah. But I think it's kind of like when your suit got ruined in the show last night, you were genuinely upset that the suit was ruined, but you also knew, like, it's better if you really act even more upset. Like, I wasn't upset. We did the Terry Withers Mysteries last night, and um, I, had, I had to go to a, a wedding rehearsed them the night before and then that day I had the wedding and then the reception and so I left the wedding to go to the show and then go to the reception afterwards and so I have a suit that I wear for Terry Withers that's a you know an inexpensive suit that's sort of been around the block that yeah. looks nice but I don't care if it gets ruined and then I have this really nice suit that I was wearing 
And I was like, oh, I'll change into my Trey Withers. And I was like, no, it doesn't matter. Nothing really happens. Like, it'll just be quicker. I won't have to change clothes. This is a nice suit. I'll look nice anyways. Great. And then we did a bit last night in Trey Withers where we had, we had fake blood packets and the audience could decide whether or not we used blood or not. And so for the first one, it was uh, one of the dead bodies holding a blood pack. And I went, all right, this dead body, blood or no blood? And the, of course, the audience goes, blood. So I go, great. And so the dead body, uh, I believe this is Casey, was the first one, right? No, it was Mark first. Oh, Mark was first. He, like, squishes the blood packet on his chest. It sprays and of all course, over J.D. It sprays over his shoulder. <laughs> Directly onto my chest, onto my. I, I didn't see it happen. I saw. I looked up right as it, you were just like, "What happened?" Well, because I just bought a new. It's a pretty expensive new tie. Oh. And I was like, I was like, I really love this tie. I'm very excited for this. And I had a nice shirt and a nice jacket. Yeah. And it went right on the tie, shirt, and jacket. And I was like, Are And the audience me? went berserk. They loved it. Well, because also. You were there. You didn't you overhear me before going? Should I put my Terry? I'm gonna put on my Terry Withers yeah. suit. And I went, no, I should be fine. I didn't hear that part. I just heard you say I'm gonna change into another suit. Yeah, and then I didn't. Yeah, and so then I was like, oh god. But and I don't mean that you were upset. But like, if you had to file it under preferred that it happen or right. preferred not, it would have gone into like, if I'd exactly. said, hey JD, can I spray you with blood? You would have said, no, don't. I'm in a nice suit. Because I also I don't really care about clothes. I'm not someone that's like, even though that's like a nice sort of probably expensive suit. I mean, it is expensive suit, but I don't want to be, like... Too late. Exactly. Um, I don't really care. It's just like, great, I can get a new suit. Yeah. Life will go on. I yeah. don't care. Yeah. I'm not someone that's like, God, this thing was ruined. Yeah. So I didn't really care, but in the moment but it was... But you knew how to Martha Stewart the moment of. In the moment it was like, it's funnier if I point out that this is an actual nice suit that I'm wearing that I did not intend to get messed up tonight. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the second person has a blood packet... And they go to squeeze it, and so I purposely step to the opposite side out of the way, and then it sprays directly onto me again. I'm going to say this. that I think that's the only time we ever use that blood in the show, because uh, yeah. in addition to that, uh, even though they mopped the stage afterwards, uh, it was so sticky during Stepfathers that like every scene was like, squirt, squirt, squirt. Like, as we were walking, you could hear everyone's, uh, which has happened before with other, because it's always different what show goes right before right. the Stepfathers. But, uh, yeah, I think the blood experiment was a one-time thing, given yes. the fact that it, all it did was cause damage. And, and Terry, Terry didn't Noah. identify it as blood. Yeah. Terry's like, something on the floor here. They didn't clean it up. Although it did get one of the biggest laughs when Noah said, uh, we've been walking through it the whole time. Yeah. Oh, man. i got to say, Noah Foreman is so good. Noah Foreman... In the Terry Withers Mysteries, never ceases to dazzle me in every show. Yes. Because Terry Withers is a genius, and the show is built for Terry. And Noah's role is to be the support for Terry, which is a role he does perfectly. But I don't think, if you look at the way we built the show... <clears throat> I think we built the show in a way that you could have someone in the Noah part who just is like a straight person right? who uh, plays it completely real. <clears throat> and the way Noah has found of creating a character that is as funny as Terry while still doing the job that we built for him to do yes. is really impressive. I don't think... 
I would know how to do what he does in that show. To be able to balance finding the laughs as Jay and finding the, um, the uh, kind of naive quality but also able to call Terry out on things. Yeah, because Jay is both in that show the straight man who's logically like, really, I think this is the way to do it. But he's also... Like the patsy of the two of, of them. Like the, dim, dim-witted in places where Terry's like, Jay, Jay, what are, what you, are you doing? Exactly. Yeah. He allows Terry to do a little bit of straight man work at him. Exactly. Uh, yeah, like he's a little bit, like Noah's a little bit like Andy, Deputy Andy on Twin Peaks. He's got a little bit of that, like, I'm the dumb deputy. Right. Sort of. Um, but he's also able to, like, I don't know, it's just a real... Noah, if you're listening this far in, you just got some compliments, but I don't think Noah listens to this podcast. Everybody tweet at Noah at Noah Foreman, Foreman, at N, N Foreman. NB Foreman. Is it NB Foreman? I thought it was just N Foreman. Oh, maybe it's... Don't oh, Hold on. Don't tweet yet, campers. Or just tweet at both just in case. <laughs> don't do that. Don't Con, do that. Connor's currently looking up on his phone, a.k.a. his iPad. Fablet. It's not an iPad. It's a Galaxy Plus. It's a Galaxy Plus, which looks like a... An iPad. N Foreman. I'll see who NB Foreman is. Um, no, his middle name is Benjamin. Um, and uh, like Michael B. Uh, Foreman. Or Taraji B. Henson. Who's Michael B. Foreman? That's who he misidentified when he was trying to say oh, Michael yeah. B. Jordan in the last one. That's his dad. Yeah. Uh, is there an NB Foreman? No, I might be thinking of Noah's email address. Hey, hey, listeners. Oh, no, Neil B. Foreman is N.B. Foreman. I was going to say we should have gotten a listener to take N.B. Foreman on Twitter. Um, Neil B. But Foreman. Neil okay, B. Foreman. Everybody tweet it. Oh, is that, a, is that a joke? Neil B. Foreman? Neil B. Foreman? Maybe. What's his Twitter account? Zero following, zero followers. Neil B. Foreman. Um, hey, we should use that joke in something. Or right now in this podcast. But, okay, people tweet at N Foreman, not NB Foreman. And how about this? Um, go to NB Foreman and retweet all of NB Foreman's tweets. How many tweets are there? Uh, not that many. Let's pick one in particular. There's one where Neil B. Foreman says cold. All right, everybody go to NB Foreman's Twitter account and retweet the tweet that says cold. There's also another one. I should give you some options here before you make a decision. The first tweet was from the 11th of June, 2011. What are the latest trends in mine vehicle safety? What are the other ones? Um, Hey, can't believe one halfway through the year. Where does time go? Um, 18 years with Vodacom. And get message, my account has been suspended. The cheek. Sorry, fuck off. Credit to Bill, you lame dig jerk-offs. <laughs> then, go the Stormers. Going to be an awesome game. No BMT for the Stormers. Uh, need to relieve the lazy lob that's been hanging around all day. I don't know what any of these mean. Hot after watching my baby's sexy arse shaking. <laughs> what? What? I don't know. <laughs> Retweet the uh, cold one. <laughs> uh, Let's stick to cold. Cold. Retweet cold or retweet the Vodacom uh, no, uh, one. No. Um, just. What about the mine vehicle safety? <laughs> no. The only other one might be, cold. hey, it's halfway through the year. Where does the time go? 
Um, but do do tweet at N Foreman. Um, what do you want to tweet at him? Something nice? Wait, where is N Foreman? N Foreman. Neil A Foreman? No, Neil B Foreman. N B Foreman. Oh, N B Foreman. I'm sorry. I'm gonna retweet the cold one right now. Okay. Oh, I was gonna. Are you doing it from the 12 hour? Account? No, you do it from 12 hour. I'll do it from me, and then you do it from you. Okay. Hot after my <laughs> babies. He also. Baby isn't um, possessive. It's a plural of infants. <laughs> Hot after watching my babies. Sexy arse shaking. What a weird... <laughs> what an interest in mind. <laughs> I retweeted the halfway through the year. Where does time go on as well? Stop. I did it. I can do what I want. Um, stop. Um, Where is that one? I don't know. But Fine, I'm reading that one too. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you're going to show me this Frank Oz thing? Uh, we never said what to tweet at an actual Noah. Oh, at N Foreman. Uh, hey, Boo, you do good in the show I no, saw you in. No, let's have it be genuine. Let's have this be genuine compliments of Noah's comedic abilities. Yeah. Um, let's, let's not have then one message. Let's just have everyone, um, if you've seen him in the Terry Withers mystery, please give him a series of tweets about how much you like him in it. Just get real specific. Do like a chain of like several tweets until you've really fully expressed your opinion. If you haven't seen him in the Terry Withers mysteries, then tweet this. Cold. Uh, hearing, hearing great things about your performance in the Terry Withers mysteries can't wait to see it. Yes. Those are the two t- options. Either tweet it. If you've seen it. him, then really tweet. Um, and uh, let's try to bury our uh, our breadcrumbs in this one. Um, we don't want it to feel like it's a bit of a mandate, despite that we're asking you to do it. But we don't want Noah to be like, oh, this is a great, oh, people really like, oh, it's just Connor and JD. Yeah. Um, so you know what then? I'm gonna I'm going to change our ask. Don't do it unless you actually feel this. Yeah. If it would be nice of you to let Noah know that you think he's good if you do think he's good in Terry Withers, but we're not gonna mandate it. Only do it if you think that, that he is good. But it would be nice. It would be a nice thing that Noah would really appreciate. And if you don't like him in the Terry Withers mysteries, stop listening to this podcast right now. Turn it turn it off thirty seconds from now after following my instructions. Once you're done listening to this podcast, take whatever device you were listening it on and throw it in the garbage. Throw it away. You're done. <laughs> you're hanging a lot on Noah's performance. No, I'm just saying, if you're listening to this podcast and you've seen Terry Withers' mystery and you don't like Noah Foreman's performance <laughs> in it, take your device that you're listening on, press stop on this, go to your nearest garbage receptacle and throw it in the garbage. If you're near a cliff, throw it off the cliff. If you are, uh, if you have a hammer, take a hammer and smash your phone or iPod or whatever you're listening to. What if you're on. in your kitchen with a hammer, but you live on a cliff? Your choice. Just, yeah. just you're done. Dealer's choice. You're done listening to stuff. Okay. Here's, Here's no Cookie point. Monster on Martha Stewart. Well, today we're so lucky to have with us the master cookie connoisseur of all time, and the one and only. What's your name? Cookie Monster. Oh, good. 
Cookie monster. You know Viv, don't you? Not cookie monster, but cookie monster. All right, all right. Oh, all that right. might be like that. She's stroking him. What's your favorite cookie, Cookie Monster? Chocolate chippy. Oh, Alexis is famous chocolate chippies. Who? Alexis, my daughter. Oh, really? She like that too? Yes. She's she, smart girl. She makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the whole world. And maybe if you're good and patient, we can do a project together. Really? Like build a house? Oh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to skip ahead. Okay. Are we taping? Oh, definitely. So now I'm going to turn this on. Last little mix. And don't mix it too much because you don't want to mess up all those chocolate chunks. Now this is Project X. I had no idea that Cookie Monster was so voracious and so... You're a little bit rude, Cookie Monster. We had to tie him up. And we're working on a project. This is Project Cookie Monster, actually. And these... Wonderful little cookies. These are cutout cookies, and these are so charming. The template is on the website, and now I've put on some wonderful black icing, and that's the mouth of Cookie Monster. I cut out the eyes, and you just have to ignore him because he is really noisy. Oh, you know, you're struggling too much, Cookie Monster. Wait a little bit. Just wait. A little bit. What will you give me? We got nothing to give you, please! Please! Please, Now, you can use these wonderful sprinkles, too. Sprinkles? Yes, sprinkles. You don't like sprinkles, do you, Cookie Monster? This is Project X. Oh, ta 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 Cookie Monster, oh, he's so exhausted. But look, once you're done, look what you have. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Does it look familiar? You let me, you let me loose. I get to date with Bert. Oh, really? Yeah. Bert? Bert. Oh, I Mr. love... Mr. Excitement. I love Bert. Really? Untimely, yes. please. I love you better, though, Cookie Monster. Please, me, Can I have a date with you if I give you a cookie? Please, lady. Don't okay. make me beg. Okay, let's take this off. Let's, let's put your little head down. Oh. So good. I mean, like, Frank Oz is so funny. Jim Henson's so funny. Those guys are so funny. Like, that's disturbing. Like, it's disturbing how much he needs it. When he starts choking himself on and, a uh, rope that's around his neck to stop him from eating cookies. Like, he's choking himself. I think that's great. It's so good. It also yeah, verified so my theory 
What is your theory? Connor Ratliff, what is your theory? I'm trying to talk to make sure my levels are the correct. That was 2005? Uh, I think so. Okay. And he, his go-to is he offers her a date with Bert. Oh, yeah. It's rare that you ever hear Bert mentioned singly. Yeah. It was Bert and Ernie. Yeah. I don't think that's maybe the only time I've ever heard, like, where it's out of context, where it's not Ernie talking about Bert or Bert talking about Ernie, where it's something where they're, it's acknowledged the other one's around. A date with Bert, just like, Bert's available. Right. He's alone. Um, yeah. I'm tweeting that we're at the TCGS offices. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, to back up a l- just a little bit, um, the rebooting rebooting um, like in the case of like the Peanuts movie, there's a nostalgia thing. There's a, a connection that Paul Feig probably feels towards um, Peanuts, and there's uh, fun to that element of it. But there's a part of me that almost always thinks with any kind of reboot like that. When it's not the when there's not a reason like obviously I'm excited about whether they turn out good or not I'm thrilled. Uh, next year's gonna be so weird because next year's gonna have the X Files return, Twin Peaks return, and the people the most likely two people running for president will be Bush and Clinton. So Star Wars will be back. Star Wars will be back. Very, but it's like those three things though: X Files, Twin Peaks, Clinton Bush. That's very early night like that. Returns to a very specific pocket of early '90s yeah. culture, um, but I mean, in each of those cases, it's a return more than a reboot. Like it's a people use the word reboot. I even use it incorrectly, I think, just now. But like, um, in most cases, like I would wonder, like I wonder what kind of movie Paul Feig would come up with if it was just like an animated movie with original characters. You know? Yeah, that's the thing too. Is that there's certain properties where it's like no one's going to be like you have to see the peanuts movie i love peanuts sonny so i'm going to bring you to the peanuts movie yeah i don't think it's going to happen more so than but that being said there are but uh, the thing that i've noticed is that there's a lot of new stuff that i just don't hear about when we went and saw strange magic yeah then the trailers i was like i've never heard of any of these movies that are they're, no, they're not for us they're not our, they're not targeted at us i know but i don't think they did any they didn't do well i don't think yeah well should have targeted them at us. Um, but it's the, the default that I always go back to in terms of like um, old stuff versus new stuff is the Looney Tunes characters. That those characters had a good long run with a bunch of different people really at the helm. Right. 30s, 40s, 50s. And then there was a a period of like, there's a bunch of cartoons in the 60s that are Looney Tunes cartoons that are really bad. Um, but I have a nostalgic attachment to them because I saw them so much. But I'm aware that uh, like when the, the Roadrunner cartoons from the 1960s, when Chuck Jones left and was doing stuff at MGM, the guy who, did all the, who created the Roadrunner and did all those things, there are these horrible Roadrunner cartoons from the 60s that, that uh, are badly animated, not as funny, but there's a weirdly compelling thing to how bad they are. Like, they have this r- stock music that re- recurs over and over again 
that I have kind of a weird nostalgic attachment to, even though I know they're not good. Um, but then, like, as, like, Chuck Jones got older, Chris Freeling got older, they would occasionally do, like, movies or TV specials, things like that. Some of them would be okay, some of them would be not good. But I'm like, well, it's Chuck Jones, it's Fritz Freeling. Like, these are their characters. They're entitled to, as they, uh, uh, to spend their final years revisiting those characters and seeing what they come up with. Right. Um, however, anything since then where anyone's tried to return, I never saw Space Jam. People have a lot of affection for Space Jam. Do you have affection for Space Jam? Yeah, I like Space Jam. I never saw it, so I never have any uh, connection to it. That's one of those movies that weirdly, just I didn't see it. Um, but generally, my feeling is, like, I'd rather see someone's new character that they come up with. I feel like we lose a lot of people's interesting new characters getting a chance because people are constantly rebooting old things. What's, like, a, what's a new thing that you think hasn't gotten its fair shake? Um, well, no, it's more that I think that, like, the energy that people spend making Space Jam, maybe it would have been better if they'd, those people had come up with something original or something. Right. Is there anything that you think should have caught on now? Hmm, probably, but let me think what it would be. Um, I don't know. I'll probably think of a ton of stuff later. Can you think of anything? Hmm. <laughs> it's hard because I'm probably not fully, um... Fully enough invested in the world uh, where a lot of these things are happening. Yeah. S- Stephen Neary. Stephen Neary. He's a genius. What do you do? He's an animator. I went to school with him. He's older than me. But he's a guy that I think if there was much less of this... If we lived in an era where more stuff is being given chance to be made... Yeah. And it was less about recurring franchises. Yeah, he would be a big name in the animated world already. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I like. Look up Stephen Neary's Chicken Cowboy. Or a bunch of stuff. But he's a great animator. He did a lot of the Ice Age movies. Now he works on the show Clarence. Cool. But he's a guy that like, he should have been. He should have been one of those like Disney guys where they just like like Tim Burton, where they just gave him yeah, free reign to do what he wants. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, there's sort of like, it's a thing where, like, I don't, I don't Did they resolve any of the Harry Shearer stuff, or is Harry Shearer still not coming back to The Simpsons? I don't know. I He's, from the stories that I've heard, he can be a bit of a... Yeah, I think he's probably difficult. Difficult guy. Um, but there is a part of me that's like... Um, That to me, that's the that's like the the demarcation of like The Simpsons is like once the voice actors aren't doing it, then right. the characters are gone. No matter who writes it, no matter what, like then those. I hate the idea of there being a Simpsons reboot in like twenty forty. Right. That I'll be like a sad old man being like, no, hell no, <laughs> that's not Homer not my, Simpson, not my Springfield. I'll do whatever the equivalent of a hashtag is then. Yeah. What do you think the equivalent of a hashtag is in 2040, J.D.? Um, the equivalent of a hashtag in 2040 will be... There won't be hashtags. All metadata will be automatic. You won't have to, you won't have to add metadata. It'll be parsed naturally. Mm-hmm. 
So that means you will uh, you'll create what's known as like a a data orb, uh -huh. which is just like a school of thought that combines certain elements of metadata. Yeah. And your data orb will be that Springfield is not the same. Oof. And then like people like people that. The, the various metadata that's called from their thoughts that react to that will be like a pool of like people that slowly grow. All right. Connor's rolling over to show me something. I'm rolling over to show JD. We're going to play the Father Farnsworth speech from Sports Night. Okay. Um, and this is basically um, William H. Macy plays a character uh, who is, of course, in real life married to Felicity Huffman, who's the main character on Sports sure. Night. And William H. Macy is brought in as like a fixer for the, the show. Is a, it's about a sports, uh, like yeah. a sports talk show. On a sports channel, and they're and the whole point of it is they're trying to do a really good show, and they're they're dealing with meddling executives, and William H Macy is brought in as like a fixer. Who at first, um, everyone is like he's very gruff and very very short with people, and people are like real skeptical of this guy. But then he, the more he observes of the show, William H Macy becomes. Uh, He's on their side, like so. It's right. like they, it's like the network executives bring him in, th thinking this guy's going to fix the show, and then he takes a look at everything and realizes, like, what's broken is the executives trying to meddle with the show. Right. And so, um, here's a scene um, where William Tracy walks in with some executives. I'm sorry. Is it Jim Bob? JJ. Really? Yeah. I thought it was Jim Bob. No. Take a walk with me, will you? Where? It's a surprise. He's walking them through the offices of Sports Night, down the hallway. You guys know who Philo Farnsworth was? Philo Farnsworth? Yeah. What's going on? He invented television. I don't mean he invented television like Uncle Milty. I mean he invented the television in a little house in Provo, Utah, at a time when the idea of transmitting, moving pictures through the air, would be like me saying I figured out a way to beam us aboard the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, look, I, I, he was a visionary. He died broke and without fanfare. The guy I really liked, though, was his brother-in-law, Cliff Gardner. He said, Philo, I know everyone thinks you're crazy, but I want to be a part of this. I don't have your head for science, so I'm not going to be able to help much with the design and the mechanics of the invention, but it sounds like you're going to need glass tubes. JJ, I don't See, Philo was like... inventing the cathode receptor, and even though Cliff didn't know what that meant or how it worked, he'd seen Philo's drawing. And he knew he was going to need glass tubes. And since television hadn't been invented yet, it's not like you could get them at the local TV repair shop. I want to be a part of this, Cliff said. I don't have your head for science. How would it be if I were to teach myself to be a glass blower and I could set up a little shop in the backyard and I could make all the tubes you'll need for testing? There ought to be congressional medals for people like that. Maybe so. I've looked over the notes you've been giving over the last year or so. I have to say, they exhibit an almost total lack of understanding of how to get the best from talented people. Excuse me, but... You said before that for whatever reason I seem to be able to exert some authority around here. I assure you, it's not because they like me. It's because they knew, two minutes after I walked in the door, I'm someone who knows how to do something. I can help. I can make glass tubes. That's what they need. One last thing. The first and last decision-making authority on this show will rest with Isaac Jaffe until Isaac Jaffe says otherwise. 
And if you disrespect him in my presence again, I will rededicate the rest of my life to ruining the rest of yours. And if you think I'm just mouthing at you, you should ask around about me. I have absolutely no conscience about these things. Sam, why did you bring us out here? Because there's the exit. That's it. The meeting's over. Uh, that's a great scene. It's a great scene. It's, I have to say, it's probably... I realized as I was showing it to you that like it's almost like uh, if I was going to try to write a J.D. Amato fantasy... Like, because it's set in a world of television where you're probably having to deal with different situations and things like that. that there is, like, that, uh, there's an element of definitely, like, Aaron Sorkin, that's his, like, right. fantasy of, like, as a showrunner, like, wishing that there was a person who would come in who would make all the things he doesn't like about the process just kind of go away. Right. It literally is taking a bunch of executives, pointing to a doorway, and, and having a person say, like, leave. Yeah. Um, but it's such a... It's such a fun, like, to me, it's the perfect, like, Aaron Sorkin writes in a way that's kind of a, it's a wish fulfillment kind of, like, everyone's a little bit smarter. Right. Um, a lot of the humor comes from the way that he'll undercut it uh, by having smart characters make mistakes or misspeak or get trapped up in their own things. Right. But a lot of it is that kind of, like, a smart guy writing the way you want people to talk. Exactly. Um, but so he wrote a whole play about Philo Farnsworth that scuttled my project that I was researching about uh, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and the inventor of the television. I was going to try to tie all these things in. It was like, this is the story of America. Like, this is more relevant to what America is now than the story of, of you know, uh, this George president Washington. or that president. Yeah, all these other uh, principles. But... In the, the Ray Kroc biography, his, his autobiography is called Grinding It Out. This is the guy who franchised McDonald's. Uh-huh. That title is so disgusting, right. and it's not meant to be. That's an old salesperson phrase, meaning just like pounding the pavement. You're just grinding yeah, it out. I know that phrase, yeah. But when you're the guy who invented McDonald's, basically, grinding right. it out sounds really gross. Right. Um, and... He writes in there about the McDonald brothers. I may be remember. I may be misremembering aspects of this. As as with anything, I remember there's probably some faulty element where I've twisted the story. Or I have a certain sympathy, not fully, but I have a certain sympathy for Brian Williams in this respect. That I realize the way my own memory works. That like I don't remember what we've said on any previous episode of this podcast or what we haven't said. But there is that thing about like when you tell a story and you tell a story and you tell a story and you're trying to be interesting, that your brain and your memory will betray you a thousand times uh, in the service of, like, uh, like me trying to remember what I did when or what I read. Do you have that, too? I'm sorry. I missed that. Oh, sorry. I just did you have a distracting message? I just got dumb work texts. Oh. Um, just the... My, I was saying I have a certain sympathy for Brian Williams and his whole, like, telling stories, and then they're like, you weren't here, or this oh, didn't right. happen. Yeah, yes, yes. And I'm like, I relate to that. Like, right. I feel like, like, right now I'm about to say a thing I don't know if I'm misremembering the book I read. But my, my memory of Ray Kroc's story was that he's selling mixers, to, and he comes across the McDonald Brothers place. I was like, this would be great. You could do this other places. And so he makes a deal with them, and then at a certain point, very early on, they do quite well, and the original model of McDonald's was like what like In-N-Out Burger or Shake Shack are now. Like a lot of now, it's more like what 
boutique burger places are where they don't serve a lot of things, but they do them well because right. they're only making a couple things. Fast food evolved into, we make a lot of stuff because it's frozen and cheap. and We can do anything. We can get a fish fillet or a McRib or whatever because it's all just shipped in. But originally it was just like we make burgers, we make fries, we make shakes. That way we are making your burger 10 minutes before you know that you're ordering it. Because they're like, oh yeah, we were making burgers all day, so here's the, here's the latest burger. The McDonald brothers cashed out early. And Ray Kroc, when he writes about them in his book, he writes about them as if they are insane. That they didn't want to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They were like, we have enough money now that we can live happily for the rest of our lives. We can just enjoy right. our house and our, our lives, and it's fine. And we don't need to be the biggest fast food chain in the country. Right. We don't need to keep working at McDonald's. And Ray Kroc was like, don't you want to be the biggest? Don't you want to make more? And he spends the rest of his life trying to make McDonald's bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't think he's ever really happy from the tone of the book. Like, I think, I mean, right. I guess that is what made him happy. But it's like, he cannot relate to other people being like, it's only money. Yeah. It's not enough. We don't need to take over the world of McDonald's. He's like, don't you want to make McDonald's the biggest? Weird. It's a very interesting contrast. What do you think you are? Do you think you're a Ray Kroc or do you think you're a McDonald brother? I don't know. Something has just ruined your day. It has. I'm just, I don't know. I, it's, uh, it's Saturday. Yeah. It's your day off. This is sort of the one day that I get to not do yeah. work stuff. Yeah. And... I get communication from the work world in a way that I'm like, just let this be my one day where I don't have to. It's not even useful information. It's just wheel spinning. Yeah. Just stop. Just give me a second. Yeah. It's tiring. I'm exhausted by it. Have you given that as a directive? As just a, like, I will not be accepting work messages on Saturday? That's what I'm thinking about, is how do I phrase this in a way that expresses how frustrated I am receiving these messages right now without it being... I mean, you could just tell everyone when this podcast drops, like, scan to hour two. <laughs> yeah. When JD will tell you the important message. No, so that's what's going through my head, is I'm like, what do I... Do I I'm just not going to respond. I just ignore these. it and res respond tomorrow. Exactly. Is but it a thing they just keep coming. Is it a thing that is taking up space in your mind? No, because it's nothing. It's just, I don't know. I don't need, I, we need more balloons. No, it's not even stuff like that. It's just people that want to talk about how things are going. Like, not even how things are going. Just want to talk about them. And it's just like, no. Give me a day to just not think about this thing. Yeah. Frustrating. Yeah. That's why I just got frustrated. And I was like, okay, how do I step, off, step away from the ledge of frustration that I'm on? Is there, anywhere, is there anywhere you'd like to go today for fun during this? Something that will take some of the... Um, Do you have any wishes? Let's make this a JD wish day. Let's make JD's no, wishes come true. No, it's not a JD wish day. You don't want that? No. You wouldn't like that? Make a wish come true? No. Because my wishes are just to, like, to just sleep the entire weekend, you know? Like I mean, that's my JD wish day. You want to take a nap? I'll... I'll take the helm for a while. No, that's fine. I appreciate it, though. Um, I do need lunch, I think. Okay. Where do you want to go? I don't know. There is, now having worked around here, there's plenty of lunch places around. 
Um, there is a, Wherever on 52nd Street, there is a Chipotle next to a Dig In, next to a Pop Bellies. There is, on f 41st Street, a Shake Shack and a numping Vietnamese sandwich shop. Mm -hmm. There is Dig In, which is, I mean, I'm not digging, um, Bread and Butter next door, which is just like a deli kind of place. Mm. Um, have you been to all these places over the course of months? Yeah, there's also a place called Walk to Work, which is... I like that pun, I've seen it. Yeah. And then there's Five Guys, and another Vietnamese sandwich place. How many Vietnamese sandwiches have you had in the past few months? Oh, I really love Vietnamese sandwiches. I saved those for special occasions. Those are a treat? Those are a JD treat? They are. Well, this is a special occasion. It's Saturday. Yeah. Also, how are we going to move all this equipment? I hate... I, I hate can put some of it in my bag. There was someone... I'll tell you this. Someone emailed me. Uh-huh. I forget his name because I was only Tell tweeting me at him. This, but remind me. Who offered to build us a device that would make a screeching noise externally whenever one of our mics ran out of batteries? Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. And he had all these plans. I don't, you know, he was going to do it for free, so it's not, I, there's no time limit on it. But I don't know. I'm sure they got distracted by having a skill set like this means they probably got distracted by more real applications of their skill set yeah. than our podcast. But. What if someone was able to make you a, the kind of bag that you want? That would be good. It's hard to describe, though, because the, the Tascam recorder is like, it's like the size of a, what would be, what's, what's the simile for the size of this Tascam? Um, I would say uh, it's like a thick version of my phone. Yeah, or it's like if you took, it's like um, it's like if you took a thesaurus, if you stacked like six thesauruses on top of each other. Well, if you count, are counting like the plugs and stuff, no, or just, just the this, base of it, just the base of it. I would say it would be like a jumbo ice cream sandwich. It's a little bit thicker. Or think of like maybe like two Klondike bars. Yeah, or next to each other. Or six Butterfinger bars stacked. Fun-sized. Six fun-sized Butterfingers. No, I'm thinking like six, one, two, three, oh, one, yeah, two, right. three. You're right. Like oh. three on the base. And so basically it's like that. Then he's going to a pouch. And then I have the two lav receivers that have clips that need to be on the outside but have to also connect to the bottom XLR component of the TAT scam. So it's really a, a, a Like bizarre. three and a half by seven, is that? They're like a deck of playing cards each. Yeah, you're right. So it's like, imagine if you had six Butterfingers that you'd have in one compartment that you could plug stuff into the six Butterfingers, especially the bottom, and then two decks of playing cards where you need to be able to see the outside of all of them. I feel like you should just tweet a photo of it. No, I think, tweet, that, I think that description specs. got someone working. Tweet some specs. Because um, it's not easy to carry all that stuff. No. So what's our what's our arc for today? Um, I don't know. Riley just tweeted a sent not didn't, he emailed me a pa a picture from the Atlantic. 
where ocean. No, it's uh, the magazine, and it's a person when upside down. It looks like me. Hey, where's? Let's see if we can get where Dave Sims is. See if we can find him. <laughs> we can force him to do it. Yeah. Um, do you have his? Yeah. I mean, he's not gonna. He might. We got all day. If he's around, right? I don't know why it didn't occur to me to try to arrange it before today. I know. What's it? Um, can you send me his phone? Do you have his phone? Yeah, do you want it? Yeah. Okay. His phone. It, well, I can't don't say, say it. Don't say it, but you can just text it at me. Oh, right. I think we'll just start texting him, and, and if he's around... We just need to find him at some point for an hour. He could come by here, you know, wherever. And before you know it. Connor Ratliff. Um, Do you get it? I'm sure I'll get it soon. And then where's your improv show tonight? When and where? At Producers Club? 9.30 at, no, 9.30 at... Um, at Players Theater. Players Theater. I'm going to get a slice of pizza at that place around the corner from IFC then when you're doing that show. Really? That's where you like to go? I like that, You yeah. don't go to Artichoke? What's Artichoke? You had Artichoke pizza? You'd hate it, I bet. I don't like Artichokes. Yeah, that'll do it. Bum, 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 bum. Someone, um, <clears throat> the end of Stepfather's uh, show last night, uh, an audience member got vocal at the end of it, and then I got blacked out before I was able to fully uh, engage. What, what were they vocal about? Um, there was a scene at the end of the Stepfather's, for new listeners, is an improv show, improv team that I'm part of. It's Friday nights at the UCB Theater in Chelsea, and we do an hour or so, <clears throat> and toward the very end... There was a scene where Don Finelli, uh, he, well, the person that we talked to in the second half was a person who was about to start a job today right. as a barista at the Museum of Sex. And he just graduated from uh, school as a drama major. And so we ended up doing a bunch of scenes that were about like people coming. You can go into the bar, at the, the coffee shop at the back of the Museum of Sex without paying for a ticket to the museum. Right. And so we did this whole thing where people were kept asking for, like, sexy drinks at the thing. Right. And then we brought it back at the end, and it was Don Finelli as the barista, and he'd made, like, a poison cocktail that he'd given everyone to drink. Right. But I already had a drink in my hand, uh, and I hadn't... I, and he gave me the drink. I said, well, I'm not done with this one yet. And so I, I didn't take the second drink. Yeah. And the other people had already taken a drink of the second drink, and then he, he, then he told them it was poison and that we were all going to die, and... I said, I'm not, not me, because I haven't drink that drink yet. Yeah. And then we did a little scene a little bit more, and I was still holding my first drink, and I had left my imaginary second drink. I mean, they're both imaginary, but I had left right. the other one on the counter sill. And then I was walking over to, to Don, uh, Don's character, and I started talking about how, like, um, I feel like my luck's about to run out anyway or something. And I uh, was drinking the drink, and... Uh, said something about me not being poisoned and one of the women in the front row yells out like he's already drinking it 
which was them apparently like trying to call out a continuity error. Right. Even though I was, I had kept track of where my imaginary objects were, and I was still drinking the same thing I've been drinking the whole time. Right. And uh, Don then repeated what they said. He said in their tone of voice, he goes, "You're already drinking it." And then I then I looked at Don. And I said, "You sound like an asshole when you say that." And then we got blacked out. But I was getting ready. To, it got a big laugh because I was clearly just calling this woman an asshole. Right. But you were I, about to be like, something else is it. Because when I walked in, I had a drink in my hand. Yeah, I was going like to announce everything. So for you to stand there and say what you said at this moment is such a disrespectful and idiotic thing to do. No one needs to hear. I was going to yell it all at Dawn, yeah. but have it be at her. And then we got blacked out. And I, I still have a feeling of like, ooh, like. Yeah. I was telling, I was just telling a, a practice, an improv practice group that I was coaching yesterday a story that I hadn't thought of in a while, which was um, the we were doing a uh, we were practicing they were practicing improv and the, a fire alarm went off, and like in a lot of situations, when an alarm goes off, people have that is this a test moment before, yeah. and it was it was just like it had gone off and it went back. But I had some notes for the scene, and the person was like, what do you do when you're, like, distracted by something? And I said, well, I mean, truthfully, like, you don't need to, like, you can still, the notes are still legit for the scene, but, like, if you're distracted by a fire alarm, you know, like, my true advice is, like, probably leave the building. Like, (laughs) follow the alarm. Like, it's no shame in being distracted by real, more important things. Uh, And, but then I remembered... There was, back when uh, Secret Man Group, my first indie improv team, uh, Matt Cohen, Peter Shear, and I were doing a show at the Creek. And this was probably within the first few months of doing shows. And it was to the point where we were actually having someone film our show. We were still early enough in the improv game where we were like, yeah, get someone to film our show. Right. As if that would be something that we'd use somehow. in some way. I mean, we did film a lot of our shows. We, a lot of our early shows, I think, are still online on YouTube. Great. That's uh, always the best ones you want up there. Yeah. I'm proud of the Secret Manager shows I did. I, I think they would probably hold up pretty well. Um, but this show, um, we were doing a scene at the creek, and a guy walks into the room midway through a mono scene. We were, like, probably 10 or 15 minutes into a scene, and this guy yells out, Chekhov! Chekhov! He was like drunkenly yelling out like a suggestion mid-show. Yeah. And Matt, Peter wasn't in the scene. He was in the back line. Matt and I were in the scene together. And we were like a father and son like we usually were in scenes. And um, we froze. We just froze. And I thought we froze for probably like five or six, maybe ten seconds. It was a long time. And then I regretted that what I then, what I said after being then frozen was I go, Chekhov. Do you remember the do you remember the Chekhov play? And then the guy yells, Cherry Orchard. I go, Do you remember the Cherry Orchard? And then we started talking about how we had once staged a production of the Cherry Orchard. And we got back to the scene, but then afterwards I was like, Man, why did I fucking honor that guy's suggestion? <laughs> yeah. I should have we should have turned off the TV and said like, oh, TV's got the same assholes saying stuff that doesn't need to be said. You know, right. done something to make him feel like shit. But we were. Just stunned, because we were not... Is no that one, true? What? Is what true? That you should have shut him down. I think so. Uh, my, my 
solid feeling is that if someone, because no one had prepared me for a heckler in an improv scene, because that's like someone heckling a play. Right. Like, you know that there's hecklers for stand-up comedians, and, and I don't like that either, but there's a history of it. I was like, who heckles an improv show? Yeah. And uh, my solid feeling, well, first of all, uh, I was thinking like, oh, I'll look at that video, but it's funny to see what happens when we freeze. Like, just, it's probably funny looking. Here's the thing that's, you won't believe this, but I deleted the footage of it after I saw this. The freeze on stage was over 30 seconds. Me and Matt. Really? I watched it, and I was horrified because I was like, holy shit, it's like we just both shut down. For like, wait, let's let's feel yeah. what 30 seconds feels like. Yeah. Let me uh, get out a, a watch real quick. Yeah. So we're doing a scene. Me and Matt, we're on stage, and you just yell out Chekhov when you want to. So I'll just be, I'm doing a scene. I'm talking to a son. We have to. Chekhov. Do you remember that checkout play? Yeah. How painful must that have been to watch? It didn't feel so, that long to us. But when I watched it on the video, I immediately deleted I wish I hadn't now, but I deleted the video because I was so ashamed. Uh, hilarious. And, that's such a long time. But the way... It, w- that's the reason why what I realized was, like, obviously you don't want someone heckling your improv show. It's a violation of the code of honor and conduct that an audience and a play have. It's, uh, but I do feel like once it's been broken, I feel an obligation as an improviser to make the person who did it feel like shit. And yeah. in a way that will entertain the rest of the audience whose enjoyment has been violated by this person for whatever reason. Um... I think the next time that I was heckled at an improv show was the uh, the stepfather show where I humped the guy in the audience, right? Uh, which got written about on Tumblr about just like every stepfather stepped up and humiliated this person, right? And made and to the point where like there was a guy who yelled out that my, my character was making them hard, right? And then I said I looked over at Gether. The guy goes, I was playing a character named Paul. And the guy goes, Paul's making me hard. And I was I was drinking. I was playing a drunk guy. I looked over at Gether. I said, what, what did that guy say? And Gether goes, I believe he said, Paul is making me hard. And this is, I'd been on Stepfather only for a couple of months at that point. It's still pretty early. And I go, oh, well, if I'm making somebody hard, I guess I'm going to have to fuck that person tonight. And I took my fake drink. And I looked over at Gether. And I still wasn't sure, like, is this okay? Cool, I'm doing this. Yeah. I looked over at Gether, and Gether had that like grin from ear to ear, and he goes, yeah. "Well, I guess that's just what has to happen then." Yeah. And then I went over and I lifted the guy's legs up, and I mimed as if I was <laughs> taking my pants down, and I just started humping him violently, and the guy started. He started trying to make a joke, uh, and he said, "He's like, oh, it feels," good. and I put my hand over his mouth and I said, "It's not time for you to talk," and I said, "This isn't for you." And 
uh, Gethard then yelled something at, like, you don't get to speak now. Like, there was a point where we were all, yeah. then I did it, then Sylvia, then I got done, I pulled out, and, oh, and here's the thing. This is the moment that I sometimes forget to tell. He, I could tell he thought it was funny when I was uh, um, fake humping him. Right. I was pretending to hump him. But I had a feeling, and I, I think this is a true thing in improv scenes generally. Like, people are on board with a certain amount of, like, oh, I'm pretending to hump you. I knew that I'm like, you think this is funny, you drunken asshole. But I bet you when I, when I mimic my orgasm, it will become more disturbing than funny to you. Yeah. And I was correct because I could see it in his eyes. There was a point where I went like, uh, uh, where I did like a shuddering, like pained kind of orgasm into him. <laughs> That's what, and I did a lengthy and, and uh, torturous one. And I, could, I remember looking at the guy as it was happening, and there was a point where it was like, it just shifted from like, oh, this guy's humping me, to like, oh. <laughs> um, and then Sylvia humped him, and then I think Shannon, I think, dragged him on stage and put him in uh, oh, a cage for Wolverines from an earlier scene, an improv cage for Wolverines. Then Will Hines brought it back to, um, he tagged in, and he was a child protective services character from an earlier scene he said sorry you can't keep this child in a cage and then Gethard said uh, oh no there's been a mistake this isn't a child this is a man he only acts like a child and then we got the blackout and then on the when the lights came back up um, we all pointed like get off the stage like he's not part of the applause he's not part yeah. of our bow or whatever like that and then as he was going off the lane he flipped him off uh, and I remember thinking like yeah, that's what I learned at the Creek in the Cave, which is like if someone heckles your improv, and anytime there's been heckling since then, uh, even if it's not heckling, even if it's just like someone in an ASCAT opening who like it's not their turn to talk and they like pipe right. up. Um, there was a monologue recently where like someone, someone said something about someone. I think someone was doing a monologue and they were talking about. Um, transvestites versus transgender. They were talking about something, and then someone in the audience like spoke, I'm like, that's not what it's called, or something like that. And, it, and they were talking specifically about a transvestite as opposed to transgender. Right. And the person then like got flustered with the fact that like the person was doing the monologue, I think, was like, well, wait, but if it's someone who doesn't identify but likes wearing clothes, then it's, and then the person was like, oh, um, I don't know. But they were so smug about the way that they were like, and that's an area that I do feel like there's a learning curve for, especially depending on what right. generation you're in right now. For like, uh, um, I was just recently like I had only recently heard the term cis, cis. Do you know that? Like yeah. cisgender. It's not a term that had come up for me before. And then I was reading an article. I'm like, what's that mean? And I looked it up. And I'm like, oh, it's uh, uh, from the Latin cis as, as opposed to trans. And but like, it's a it's an area where a lot of people there's confusion. And it bothers me when people are really smug in their authority of it. And it bothers me even more when they're smug and they don't know what they're talking about. Right. A certain amount of smugness from people who know what they're talking about is, like, not great, but it's like, I get it. Uh, but when people are, like, smug about what they know what they're talking about and then it turns out they don't fully, then I'm like, okay. Like, yeah. now, you're, now you're just in the same boat, but you're worse than the people who right. don't know. Uh, and so when someone yelled, like, when someone yelled that out... I was just like, I just put it in my back pocket that I'm like, at some point during the show, that's a move where I'm just going to cut. Like, I'll step out and go, like, it's not what it's called. And just be like the asshole in the crowd right. who's like, uh, but it is like, particularly with hecklers, it's like, you, 
have to pay a price. You have to pay a price for it. And I'm very, I'm very aggressive on stage. Yeah. So if anyone does anything that is like, takes my focus away from the thing, yeah. I will. Even like Terry Withers. There was someone I feel like made like the third show we did. Yeah. Where they made some joke. Oh, they said that your shoe was untied. Yeah. Right. Do you remember that? I do. We're doing the intro, and yeah. it, it was when I was uh, starting to get stuff or yeah. whatever it was. So I was like, your shoe's untied, and I was like, sir, please have some decorum. God damn it, do not speak when I was, and I just like, yeah, started yeah. screaming in their face, and it was like, <laughs> I probably could have let that go, because I think that person was actually genuinely trying to say, like, hey, hopefully you guys are running around, and this guy's shoe's untied. Yeah. But I was like, no. one thing that, like... Yeah. Well, your natural persona as the carnival barker uh, is one that's like, you're in my realm. <laughs> right. It's very much like... Um, it's like if we, uh, it's 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 pre you've won. It's pre you've won. You've done it, um, Willy Wonka. Yeah. Good sir, you have not that. Good sir, please now stay outside. Step outside, for you have lost. Yeah. You have lost, my friend. And it's also the fact that we're setting up like this is a show about murder. That it's that we can have that. I think if you and I were hosting like a kids show, you would have. A completely opposite impulse as a performer. It would be a, well, I'd have probably an opposite demeanor, but I think I have the same impulse. Like I think I would jump on the thing, but it would come with a di- with a different layer. But I think, you, but of I think it'd be more likely to come from the sweeter side of you than like if you were like if you're literally like an audience for kids. You come out like, hey kids, we're going to be trying this today. And that- if someone was like, your shoes untied, I'd be like, thank you for telling me my shoes untied. I'm glad you see that, but unfortunately, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like I. Ah, I, it's untied for a reason. Exactly. Like, you'd want to be like... But I, I don't think... And that's, I think, what was also, like, the thing that I liked about improv and also my downfall in improv is that, like, the moment it's, like, the audience... The moment the audience says anything, what it's like is, like, you're on stage and it's dark, and then the moment something happens in the audience, suddenly, like, like uh, metaphorically speaking, like, the lights go on, and all of a sudden they're, they're, just, they're just there in whatever place is. Yeah. So then I can't help but be, like... Now you're in my world, and like yeah. you know, like it feels like you've just said Beetlejuice three times, and now I'm gonna jump on that. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I guess that's part of the thing with it. Uh, I'm only aware of the audience usually at a like a, a subliminal level. Like I'm aware enough to be able to react to like what they're liking or not, but I don't really hear laughs. Not the same way that I hear them if I'm watching something and people are laughing. No, and that's why anything that does unveil them. I'm just like, well, yeah. That's why I first time traveled into my universe, and now I'm going to make you aware of that. That's why I froze so hard uh, the first time was because I was so stunned by it, and that's why anytime since then that there's been something like that, it has been like you've woken a sleepwalker. You know, you've been like, right? You shouldn't have done that. Yeah, and I think I also just like making the audience uncomfortable. I like it so they can't have no dominion over. It's also, there's a weird thing when you're, I mean, like, when you're performing, uh, for me anyway, there's a weird, because I don't feel like I'm someone who has a lot of authority in most situations, but when I'm performing, uh, part of me forgets that a little bit uh, in terms of, I did a corporate show it was a disaster a few months ago. And the corporate show was, it was a UCB corporate gig for 
And one of the people we dealt with is the head of a very big uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I think corporation. Oh, yeah, you told me about this. Did I talk about it on the podcast? Maybe. Yeah. But this was a person that one of the, one of the pieces of advice, it was the head of, and uh, right. they were, uh, not the head of it, but like one of the top dogs. Right. And they were so uncooperative, and it really ruined the show for everybody because they... During the interview, we were supposed to interview them, and during the interview, this person was like, started just, wouldn't answer questions, and then at a certain point was like, you know what I hate about this is that this is actually coming from our budget, my budget, to pay for you to do this now. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out what benefit what you're doing is supposed to have. Like, what are we supposed to be getting? Like, I don't see what the value. He's basically just sitting opposite Shannon and saying what you're doing is worthless. Right. And then expecting us to... I don't know, okay. And and we've been told beforehand that this guy, uh, his name wasn't his birth name. It wasn't his real name, and we should bring that up for fun. Uh, but by the the end of the interview, it had gotten so poisonous that as he was sitting down, I just kind of aggressively started saying like, uh, "I'm like, okay, how's he?" I'm like, "Hey, uh, I named him." I'm like, "That's not your real name, right?" And he looked at me with the look that I. I attributed the look to be the look that a man of power gives to a, a, a clown that he's going to have killed. Right. That, that I was like, what's your real name? Because that's not your real name. I heard you had a different name. What's your real name? And uh, he was just glaring at me. And I remember thinking, like, it's weird because I wouldn't be aggressive with him if the show ended. Right. I wouldn't go up to him and be like, hey, man. Like, I would not go up to that guy afterwards. I just wouldn't think it would be worth my time. I wouldn't go up to him and be like, hey, man, you know, you could have been a little bit cooperative. We were trying our best, and you were so difficult. And we've been doing this for years, and we've never met anyone so entitled as to think that they could do what you did and consider it acceptable yeah. behavior. We weren't being hard on you. And I wouldn't do that. Just because I think, that's not worth it. I don't need to talk to that guy. But while I was in show mode, I was like, what's your real name? And it was like a deliberately, like, fuck you. I'm going to get mine in. Yeah, yeah. like, I'm going to... I'm going to make you feel whatever this is right now. You're going to make you feel it. Um, it's a similar thing that happens when I'm in the warm-up mode. I'm in a different mode when I'm doing the warm-up for this show. Yeah. There was the point where Gethard said something to me, and I, I turned to him, and it was almost a non-sequitur. I said, this is not the 1950s, and you're not Senator Justin McCarthy, sir. And Gethard looked at me, and I realized, like, oh. And I immediately was like, sorry. It's like... I don't even remember what it was, but it was just something where I, I just was like in mode where I'm like, yeah, I would snap at this guy. I would do whatever. Yeah. But it is like a weird dynamic. I think Gethard has it too, though, because Gethard gets very antagonistic towards me at various points in ways that I don't think he's personally antagonistic towards me. It's like a, no. a show mode yeah. a form of antagonism. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how like our performance personas are linked to our actual personality. That's they're fueled from that, but they are a different thing. Yeah. Like you're not a monster when you run around the way you run around at the beginning of a show sometimes, and you'll be like uh, in front of like Terry Withers, where you'll be like, "No, you don't like you don't interact with people that way normally in life." No. But it does come from a thing that I've seen a similar thing where you'd be like, "No, we're not doing that." You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 rec- I, this job has been trying me, not losing my cool, but like I met with, I have to like schedule my days down to the minutes. Yeah. And it's like I will walk down the hall and have 10 people s- 
say, hey, can I grab you for a minute? Can I ask you this thing real quick? And like, there's times where I just have to be like, no, you can't. Unfortunately, like, I can't. Like, no. Yeah. And it's a lot of things and a lot of brain space. So normally, the thing that allows you to operate as a more capable human is that you can dedicate certain brain space to like uh, to certain conversational niceties and things like that. That like I reach a point where my entire brain is filled up and so like I yeah. have to really try to not come off as coarse and I think sometimes I do and like every now and then something will happen that will like sort of like try that like we're during one of the episodes you know my job is I have to have my eyes on all the cameras that are shooting and I'm cutting between them yeah um, and we have six cameras which isn't a lot but it's enough that I have to be watching six monitors constantly and making sure that they are not only where they need to be now, but ready to go to their next move. Yeah. And then I need to be cutting between them. And there's certain things that happen where you need this shot perfect or you're in trouble. Yeah. And there is this one bit that takes place where it requires a specific shot. And if you don't have the shot, the comedy doesn't work. And this one camera operator was not giving the shot. And I was like, change your shot. Basically, give the direction, like direction, direction, like do this thing, 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 do it now, now. You have to do it now. Do this now. Listen to what I'm saying. Do it now. You're not doing it. We're gonna lose it. We're gonna lose it. And the thing, then it, they didn't do it. And there's a control room of like 30 people. And like you were saying earlier, like to a certain extent, I am the boss. And so like when I start getting mad, I can My sort boss. of feel, I can sort of feel people like going like, uh oh, <laughs> the yeah. person in charge is upset. Yeah. And so I was like, do it now. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. And then the thing ended, and it was like, this, that didn't get the shot I needed, and you can't go. It's that type of comedy you can't go back and get again. Right. And I had this moment that was like, it was not intentional. But it happened. So I was like, it's like, it's like, it's like, get it, get it, get it. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Get the shot. Get tight. Like, do the thing. Do the thing. And I was, I was being more specific. I'm not. Yeah. I'm purposely being vague right now as to not yeah. reveal what the thing was. And I was like, you're not getting it. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. We're going to miss it. You have to get it now. Get it now. Go. I'm saying go, go, go. Like, get the thing. They didn't do it. And then it goes, and I'm like, damn it. And I pounded on the table, like, with my fist. And I was like, we fucking missed it. We missed it. It doesn't work. We have to cut that now. And I said it with such, like, anger. Yeah. And I mean, it was like, oh, no. I just, like, snapped. Um, and afterwards, I was talking with some of the people that are... Uh, other producers on the show were they're in the booth sort of as I do that and I was like they're like yeah we saw like we saw you like upset about something and I was like yeah I snapped and they're like you realize that like it didn't come off that bad to anyone else it was like the the way that they told it, like really what it was is we just saw you go like dang we didn't get the thing yeah but to me it felt like I was like screaming because I wanted to like flip the entire table over so I was like we missed the whole thing yeah. But it is that, yeah. Well, there it, is, but that's all to just say there is that part of me inside that is like... The beast within. Get it right. Do it now. Like, all I'm asking you is to do this thing, and if you don't do this thing, if you don't do it right, you're wasting my time and everyone's time. We're doing it wrong. Like, it comes from this, like, I think, like, ingrained childhood thing for me from growing up of, like, whether it's my family or beyond, where it just, like, like... There is no excuse not to do this the right way. Yeah. And any any there's no excuse for not doing anything the right way. And there can be debate over the right way, but if there's 
But if I know there is a right way, then that is the way. And there's no excuse not to do it that way. The, uh, you've seen broadcast news, right? Yeah. Uh, the moment where uh, Holly Hunter is in the control room. I was looking to see if I could find the, the, the moment where uh, she all of a sudden snaps and she's like, we only have 10 minutes left. She, and she's like, you will get in here. I will burn your fat ass. And then you, you see like the network president is there and just turns and is like, I had no idea she was this good. Yeah. And it is like, we're seeing it as an audience member as like the moment where she's like, oh, she's losing it. Yeah. And the other people are like, no, like that's, that's a sign of like, they're good at the job. Yeah. And I've heard things like that. I don't like that though. Because um, I always want to have like, oh, a positive work environment, this and that. But it's so hard not to just be like, like a thing happened recently. Not recently, but like, an edict was put out where because I'm constantly on the phone writing emails, I have a thousand things going on. Yeah. I'll sometimes just forget to have lunch. Yeah. I'll just won't have time. Or I'll go at, at 2 p.m. I'll go, all right, I'm going to go get lunch. And then suddenly it's 6 p.m. Yeah. And just in me trying to go get lunch, I've been stopped four hours worth of things. Yeah. So basically someone made the, without consulting with me, which is fine, but basically um, all the producers were like, it is now a rule, like, like, if you work for the show, you have to check in and make sure JD has had lunch. And if he hasn't, someone needs to get lunch for him to eat so he can eat. Everyone I, has to do that? Well, so like they put it out to like all of the sort of uh, non-top-level producers and interns and what, like, whatnot. Yeah. And it's not that I don't necessarily get too crabby, I don't think. I get a little bit crabby. I think I feel it more than anyone else notices it. Mm-hmm. But then it became this kind of thing where during the day, I would be sitting, I'd be, you know, working, and all of a sudden it's... Yeah. Have you eaten lunch yet? No. You want me to get no, I'll I'll get lunch. And then five minutes later, knock, 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 someone else. To the point that then there'd be like eight people throughout the day that would t- and I'd just be like I had to like go into someone's office and be like, New rule. No one ever asks me whether I've had lunch or not. I will be in charge of that. It is fine. I understand that you're doing it out of good, but like it is wasting more of my bandwidth to have to have the conversation over whether or not I've had lunch. Why don't you put your lunch in someone else's hands where it's like someone has to get you lunch? Because <sighs> I feel weird about that. Yeah, but like, isn't that better than... But see, this is the same thing that happens. But it's all, yeah. But it's I... also we're just understaffed or under, you know, like... We should so go get lunch. We should go get lunch. You want to go in the studio for a second? Yeah, we can also come back here. Yeah. Because I'm not going to close up right now. So okay. we, will, we will come back here for sure. I have to figure out how to carry this. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, there is that thing, like, on the one hand, it's weird what people respect. Wait, can you pause for a second? I can, absolutely. Okay, we're back. Are we gone? No. I just wanted to make sure we were all good, and we are. Sorry. It's weird, like, that thing about the, the, the joke of broadcast news being that the moment that we see Holly Hunter seemingly, like, losing her shit is the moment where the executive is like, I had no idea she was this good. Right. Um, but it, there is an element of truth to that in that, like, I've probably told this story before, I have a feeling, but the... Like, for actors or performers of any kind, there's an element of um, saying no to things being, like, your one... 
it's your, it's the one move that you really have, other than like creating your own work right. is another move. But like one of the big moves, particularly if you're just an actor, uh, like you get offered what you get offered, but really your power move is to say, no, I'm not interested or I'm not available, right, um, for something. And there, Bill Murray in an interview re- fairly recently, he said something. They were asking him about all the various movies that he could have been a part of that he wasn't over the years and did he regret it and there are a lot of actors that have those long lists of like ooh I could have been in this I could have been in Pretty Woman or I could have been whatever you know like you'll see those lists of like and there are some that are like legit regrets like like Tom Selleck would have been Indiana Jones if Magnum P.I. would have let him out right uh, and um, Pierce Brosnan was supposed to be James Bond in the 80s but Remington Steele spitefully held on to him because they were like, oh, you want him to be James Bond? We'll renew Remington Steele then. You know, like, they were... um, So there are things where it's like, ooh, I wanted to do it. But, like, Bill Murray's thing, they were asking him about all these movies that he had, people had wanted him to be in, and he wasn't in. He was like, you know, generally, he goes, the one thing that he never regrets is saying no to a movie. Right. Like, there's never a point where he's like, I wish I'd made that movie. Like, he regrets more movies that he said yes to than he regrets... Movies that he said no to. I had no. Oopsies. Uh, I want to ask you that when it starts the camera cutting, uh-huh. uh, when he's having his big breakdown. Yeah. Uh, d- yes, there are inserts. There are inserts, but uh, you like that rhythm of that cutting when it starts breaking down, right? Yeah. Those co- fast cuts when it, when Cookie Monster has his breakdown remind me of when you like to start uh, doing fast cuts when fun stuff's happening. Yeah. Well, you have very you know you as a. Uh-oh. Test, test, test. As a former camera person on The Gethard Show, I, I'm a slightly attuned to your uh, wants. Oh, man, this stupid thing. Um, sorry, this bag is not going to work. What about your green bag? Is it too bulky? It might work. That's what I'm going to try. God, I need a stupid thing for this. Um, I'm gonna use the recording, right? Yes. I'm gonna use the restroom okay. real quick. Do you want to take over talking, or do you want me to take over uh, talking while you? I might need to escort you to the restroom because it might be locked. Oh, okay. Um, here, I'll just do this real quick. That's, I think that's the weirdest thing about the, that's the thing I find the weirdest thing about this basement is that the restrooms are so disconnected from the office area. Yeah, well, it's clearly just because this was not originally a production studio. Yeah. So it's sort of more like uh, cobbled together. Yeah. Um, what uh, What were you saying? What was the about the fast cuts? Um, I don't remember. Okay. Oh, you just you, you know you don't have you have very with live cutting you know you don't have much. There's not too much bandwidth to for creativity beyond just capturing the moments because mm-hmm. um, once your cameras are set your cameras are set so if something happens outside of that you know if something happens beyond the scope of that of what you have set up for yeah. all you can really do is cut in a way so like pace is really one of your only tools at your disposal I'm going to put my lav underneath my shirt I'm going to show you this footage of Shakespeare's Pizza in Columbia, Missouri. Wait, when is this from? This week. Wait, isn't this your favorite pizza place? My favorite pizza place in the world. 
is it's gone now. Um, well, Shakespeare's Pizza uh, was the original building, which has been there since I think 1974. I think uh-huh. uh, was demolished this week. The building was destroyed. And they've moved into uh, a place nearby that used to be a place called Los Bandidos, temporarily. And the positive side of it, I guess, is that um, the new building, they'll have like a 50-year lease at this new place they're going to be. Basically, it's like a local Columbia developer decided they wanted to build a multi-story building at this location. Shakespeare's will be reinstated in the ground floor of this building, and they're going to try their best to recreate it. Um, Do you think the pizza will be the same? I don't know. Because a big part of the pizza is the oven. Well, they're using the same ovens. They're going to keep the same ovens, but there's just a part of me that, like, isn't... It'll take a couple minutes to light turn on. There's a part of me that's just, like, uh, a little superstitious, a little bit, like, uncertain about, like, whether this is going to be, like, a... Is it going to weirdly be like something, uh, something's different? Right. Or maybe it could even be like, maybe nothing's different, but I'll feel different. I don't know. Um, but I looked up to see like it's, this development company wants to have like apartments and other office space. They want to have like a multi-story building there. And so Shakespeare's will be the ground floor of this building. Right. Uh, and I'm sure it's more complicated I'm sure I have a naive understanding about the way things work, but let's just take that as read, that I'm a naive person who doesn't understand the way the world works. Right. Uh, there is a part of me that, like, I looked up to see, like, who is, who's responsible for this, and it's like these... You can cu- keep talking. couple of... Uh, oh, just to me? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll respond, but you I'm won't be able to hear... I'm not with JD now. I'm in the bathroom. Um, so that's that's some of the echo. JD told me to keep talking. Um, Connor doesn't know this, but I'm secretly. I should that. say I'm things that are um, relevant to the story, because otherwise JD won't hear any of this. I'm in a bathroom next door, um, a secret bathroom that Connor doesn't know about. I don't know. I just feel bad at the idea that the uh, that moneyed interests have interfered in a way with. This great place that everybody liked. They could have just kept being a pizza place on the corner, and now it's just going to be part of this big building. I worry that it'll be different. Don't worry. And it's, of course, it's also hard for me to think about. Like, I looked up the names of the people who were uh, responsible for this. What were the names? And like, there's a couple of brothers, and there's this other family that are like the joint owners of this development or whatever. Oh, so they own it. And. Maybe it's just that I've been conditioned from, um, you know, usually in almost any children's movie, the property developers are like, like what movie? standard go-to villains in, in children's films, I feel like. There's always like, they're going to tear down the baseball field and put up luxury condominiums. That's not so bad. That's a standard... Trope, right? We've all seen. We've seen it. Things where they're going to tear down Connor's gonna notice the no theater handle. building where no everybody does the, the plays. He's going to notice there's no handle. Uh, uh, housing units, or so, you know, there'll be some some big development where um, that's what's happening. So it's hard for me not to think of these guys as villains. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're just like 
But also, you know, it's... Guys, wait for Connor. He's going to realize there's no handle City. on the door and he's going to be trapped That's in the back. That's the... I mean, what was it? I mean, it feels like right now... Here we go. Uh-oh. Sanjana is uh, about to be... Oh, there's no doorknob here. That was weird. There's no doorknob on the inside there. I know. I was listening to you, and I kept telling him he's going to realize there's no doorknob. Okay. Um, the so you heard? You could hear me? Yeah. Okay. And I was in this restroom next door. Oh, you were going to the restroom in that restroom? Yeah. You were worried that our f- mixes would bleed together? No, I just thought I I didn't realize I'd go to the restroom until. The door closed. And I, I don't know if you're like, we want to get good separation on our going to the bathroom. No, I just thought it would be a funny thing to be in two separate rooms where I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. I didn't know I was being listened to. So, so I, sure. I was responding to your story as though we were together. Okay. It sort of seemed like you were ignoring me. All right. Um, the, the Sunshine Cinema. Yeah. And also there's that art store that Mayel posted about that's been around for like 100 years. Yeah, that, that's a great art store. Um, it feels to me like... It's the end of the world. As we know it. It feels to me like... Um, Connor just removed his shoe to remove something that was stuck, stuck in it. my shoe. Um, the... Connor, you need new shoes. Probably. Why? Because the bottoms of those are completely worn out. Not the outside bottoms. What? The inside bottoms. Um... Do you ever sit there? Uh, I have once or twice. It's nice and peaceful. Yeah, I don't spend much time out here. Yeah, it would not be very productive for you. No. To just sit near the office where you spend all your time working in the basement. Yeah, it's, I guess it's also... I opted to come here on the weekend to record a 12-hour podcast as well. That was actually uh, the funniest thing to me is that you hate the joke about this being a podcast now about a guy who hangs out with his boss for 12 hours... But the first decision that you made was for me to, for us to, uh, I was going to come over to your house and you're like, meet me at the office. Well, I just feel like every one of our podcasts yeah. starts at my apartment and ends at UCB. Yeah. So I wanted to at least mix it up. I like it. I like that we're at the, this also has been the least stressful one so far in terms of like, what are we going to do for batteries or where are we going to, how are we going to get, where are we going? Thanks, we're in a full production studio. Yeah, if necessary, we could film an episode of a TV show there. Yeah, exactly. How much trouble would you get in if you and I filmed a full episode of a TV show today in that studio? Probably none. But we could. Ooh, yes. I mean... We've entered the realm, it's the realm of production where there's a few things I would not know how to operate. Yeah. Because TV studios have a lot of switches and whatnot. Right. So I could, I'd have to figure out how to get the cameras on and fed into the control room. Yeah. And then how to get the XD cam decks to record. Yeah. And how to get the audio. Yeah, it'd be hard. I could probably figure it out in a day, but it would be all day. It would be really, that would be a, a very funny thing. Where do you Where want to go? go? Um, that way is Diggin, Potbelly's, Chipotle. That way is Numpang, Vietnamese Sandwich, um, Walk to Work, Five Guys, Shake Shack. Um, I think we should get different food. I might get Shake Shack and you might get a Vietnamese Sandwich. How's that? Uh, I'll get, I would actually like to get Shake Shack. Though. Okay. 
I was trying to keep it open because you already said how much you like the special treat of a Vietnamese sandwich. I like Shake Shack too, though. All right. You know, I like it Shake Shack. I like their hot dogs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like their hamburgers too, but. Uh, it would be funny if uh, we made a pilot for a TV show on your day off. Yeah. It would also be impossible given the set that's in there. Yes, it would be very difficult. Wouldn't be impossible, but difficult. I, I wasn't intentionally trying to get... I do know that there, that the closest thing I have to uh, an overt way of manipulating JD is by telling him that he can't do something. It's my... It's, that's my it's Mar- your Achilles it's, heel. Well, it's my Marty McFly chicken well, from the second one. You're the closest to anyone who I've ever known who actually has one of those. Yeah. Because that's always the weak link in, in Back to the Future Part 2 is that there's, there's no uh, seed for that planted in the first movie, so it's a, a completely invented... It feels like a placeholder. Uh, uh, well, no, it's, it's there it in the first one, isn't it? It doesn't occur in the first one. No one calls him a chicken, and he never stops and says, chicken, nobody. I mean, nobody calls me chicken. Yeah, that only happens it, in the second Doesn't he do it in the old-timey diner? No, he runs away in the diner. It's entirely invented for the second one. Oh, I didn't know that. That's the reason why it doesn't fully track. Right. Is because it's as if they needed something like that and they left that there. Thinking like, we'll get something. Right. Um, But it's a little bit... uh, And I love Back to the Future Part 2. I think it's one of the most ambitious sequels there is. Yeah. It doesn't have everything that makes the first one perfect, but, boy, they really tried... I think it was just a good example of, like, if you're going to make a sequel to a time travel movie, swing for the fences and really play around with time travel. Right. I love that they did that. Just the idea that he goes back to the same place that he already went back to and has to deal with the other time-traveling version of him is so much fun. Um, But anyway, JD's thing is anytime that I know I want JD to do something, and and I think he's not really on board for it, I can couch it in terms of, like, I mean, there's no way to really do it, uh, but it would be great if we could. And that immediately sets the little ambitious man that lives in JD's head to start saying, I know how we can do it. <laughs> and it's true. It's, uh... I mean, I'm tr- the only reason that this is ethical is that I'm transparent about it. I usually, anytime I ever have done it, I always tell you I'm doing it. Well, there's also an instant, too, where in the Gethard show, uh, there was a certain entity that early on didn't chastise me but called into question almost the entirety of the show saying that it was not possible from a production a legal production accounting or administrative or even a creative side the things that we were attempting to do yeah and I don't think I've ever it was the first time that a lot of the Funny or Die production team that works in the show has seen me get into, like, actually worked up and angry. Uh-huh. So I was like, you never tell me something's impossible. It was an email, but I basically was like, you tell them we're doing all of it. And you never tell me anything's impossible because I, I will make it happen. Yeah, I feel like... And they were like, okay, we just learned this thing about JD. You don't tell them something's not possible. Somebody um, out there who has the ability to... Uh... Uh, do uh, special effects. I feel like we could add your face onto the the scene in Empire Strikes Back, in, uh, uh, in Empire of the Sun, 
where he's going, I can bring anyone back. I can bring anyone back. Oh, right. I love that movie, Empire of the Sun. Do you like that movie? I haven't seen Empire of the Sun. It's a real great Spielberg movie. I have not seen it. Ooh, I think you would like it. I probably would. Um, it was like... It's an, Christian Bale is a little kid. Yeah. John Malkovich is in it. Ben Stiller has one line. Uh, but it's a really solid Spielberg drama. Like, I think you would really relate to the, uh, like, it almost is like, there's whole sequences where it's just like, this little kid, like, he goes back to where, they were like, lived in a nice house and then it's just abandoned. He's just like, riding his bike around the house. That's cool. Just like, lost and alone, because he gets separated from his parents. And he's just alone through the movie in one confusing situation after another. Oh, wait, here's the ride. The ride? Yeah, it's a whole audience of people. Oh, man. They're probably on lav frequencies. If we could tune our lobs to the same frequencies as theirs. Yeah. Because they do stuff for people on the street. It would be so funny if we could just get into their speaker system. Um, they pass me on the street like every day because I guess it's one of them stops around here. Yeah. I think it's so funny. And what is the ride exactly? Remember Patrick Noth used to do it? Yeah, one time I walked past him in, uh, near Times Square and he was on the street rapping and he, I didn't know it was him at first and he just started rapping about me. He was like, oh man, it's Connor Ratliff. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and it was really fun. But like, it's basically like a show that happens on the streets of New York and you a get a lot of people bus. used to work for that, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I don't think they... I didn't realize they had such a fancy bus. Oh, thank Sorry. you. I don't think they compensate their employees great, so I think it's... Oh, that's for where, a lot of that's people... That's they got a lot of bus money, uh, fancy bus. Well, I think it's like uh, a lot of people's like early jobs. Like early, like, early uh, improv-related, I'm yeah. getting paid to do what I like. Exactly. Where is the Shake Shack down here? Right there. Didn't used, to, didn't used to exist when I, I used to live in this neighborhood. You did? Yeah, I lived in Murray Hill. Huh. Until 2007. From 2003 to 2007, I lived at the corner of 37th and 2nd. What made you think to move to Woodside? Uh, when I couldn't live there anymore. Huh. Uh, my sister had lived in Woodside the previous year, so I was vaguely familiar with the neighborhood. Right. And a uh, bunch of people that worked at Barnes & Noble also lived in the Woodside area, so I had, like, friends in the neighborhood that I know. Uh, and it really just was like, oh, it's affordable. Uh, I know I'm familiar enough with the neighborhood that uh, it won't be... I basically just went to that neighborhood, looked at a couple of apartments, and was like, oh, this one's fine. Right. We're now in the Shake Shack in uh, Murray Hill. Do you make any shake and malts? 
I don't know. Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, concretes are a big thing in St. Louis, Missouri. Really? Yeah. Frozen custard. You won't find like frozen yogurt places as much in St. Louis as you will frozen custard. Frozen custard is a very big St. Louis, Missouri thing. Huh. Uh, See, I don't ever do milkshakes or anything. So I'm lacking the tolerant. Yeah. It just gives me an upset stomach. Yeah. I know people have other more dramatic reactions, but for me, I just like don't feel great. Yeah. It's funny, people make fun constantly. People make fun of me constantly for my food things. Right. But I don't have anything like that where, like, it seems like everybody else has stuff where it's like, oh, if I eat that, I feel bad. Yeah. Uh, I have things I don't like eating, but I don't have anything where I'm like, oh, if I eat that, then I have a bad stomach. Yeah. But everybody who makes fun of me has stuff where it's like, oh, if I eat this food, then I feel bad yeah. for a week. Hi, can I get two Chicago dogs uh, with no peppers? Um, could I have a, uh, just a plain burger with nothing on it? A single? I can I get fries uh, and a Coke? With fries and... A Coke. Could I have a uh, black and white? No, no, no. no worries. Uh, to uh, go. To stay. Or to stay. Or where are you going? Uh, let's go. Okay, so to go. Make it to go. go. Can I have your name? Connor? All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I didn't bring the power cord. Oh. We'll go eat at a luxurious underground TV studio. Yeah, we can go eat in Gethard's office. Yeah, let's eat all over Gethard's office. He doesn't listen to our podcast, so he'll never know. No. Um, someone asked him about 12-hour day during his Reddit AMA. Oh, yeah? Did I tell you about this? No. Someone asked him, hey, do you ever listen to 12 Hour Day? And he was like, don't tell J.D. or Connor. I really respect their podcast, but I've, I have not listened to it. It's pretty daunting. Well, you want to know something that's funny that he also... Did. I don't think it actually... He's bothered by it, but he definitely is like, come on. Is that like... I've never read his book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And Noah hasn't either. But he'll tell a story, and then like, I'll ask a question, and he'll be like, you clearly have not read my book. And I'm, he gets more mad at Noah because I'm like, Chris, over the past five years, I've spent like six days a week with you. When I go home at the end of the day, I'm not gonna read no offense, last thing I want to do is spend my time reading stories from your life. I love you. Yeah. You're my best friends. Work together on everything. I can't spend my free time in Gethard World. Yeah. I just can't. Um... But I responded on the Reddit uh, to his comment about don't tell J.D. Connor. I responded by saying, uh, hi, Chris. I've listened to Fizzy Boys. It's great. Funny. Uh, and then he responded, I'm so sorry. Um, did I show you when you were in my apartment that one time? Did I show you that I, I have his book uh, next to my signed uh, Barack Obama book? Oh, yeah. But Gethers isn't signed. It just amuses me that Gethers isn't signed, and it's, I keep it next to that book. Right. I feel like that's a, a funny juxtaposition. You know what? Signing things is a weird thing. I, I think so. I most of the things that well, I have a signed Barack Obama book. That's like a reminder thing. Oh, sorry. 
I have a signed Barack Obama book. I have a signed Hillary Clinton. Right. From last year. And people who were, like, dauntingly, like, out of reach like that, I feel like, oh, we're never going to have any kind of personal interaction. So, like, this is the closest it gets. Yeah. Where people are like, oh, you're a historical figure. Right. Um, but for me, cartoonists getting their signature, because they'll do a little sketch, like getting Matt Groening to sign my life in Hellbox set uh, was like a big deal. Right. Because it was like, oh, my grandma got this for me in the 80s. And, and I still have this box set of the first right. Life in Hell books. And Matt Groening's going to draw on the cover of it. That is cool. Yeah. And it feels like, oh, this is great. This is, like, important to me. But, like, I've got, like, signed Elvis Costello stuff. I'll probably... Elvis has a, a, a his memoir coming out later this year, and part of me is like, yeah, I can imagine trying to get that signed. But there's another part of me that's like, his signature has nothing to do with what I like about him. Right. If I could get him to sing me five seconds of a song... Make up a five-second song. Right. That would be so much more valuable than uh, a signature to Right. What's the most prized celebrity possession you have? To you. Celebrity? Like, something that's, like, not, like, personal. It's, like, something of... Someone of note. I mean... And I guess it will be personal, but you know what I mean. Like, something that has to do with someone else, and that's what's special about it. Like a famous person, not a personal yeah. person. Yeah. Um, either... I would say either my big Chris Ware display, my big Mac novelty display, or the marriage certificate for George Michael and maybe from Arrested Development. Right. The prop from the next, the, near the end of the second, third season. Um, just because they're, partly because they're things that like, every time I look on my wall and I see that, or every time I look up and see that display, I'm like, I love that. I love that that's here. Yeah. But also, uh, they're things that like, if someone were to take them, I would not be able to get them again. Right. Like, there'd be no way to get one of those displays again. There'd be no way to get that. The certificate is the only one of its kind. It's the one that they filmed with, you know? Yeah. Those are the first things that come to mind. There might be something else, but... Uh, I mean, in a pinch, if it was like, the building's on fire, grab something, it wouldn't be the Acme display. Right. Uh, I'd Just practically. Perish trying to yeah. get it out of the building. Um, what's yours? I have very little in my apartment. In my childhood home, I have more stuff. What? Oh. Always burger balling. Always be burger balling is the hashtag on my... What do you call these? I get a hashtag burger balling moving. Burger balling. B-U-R-G-E-R-B-A-L-L-I-N. Burger balling is the hashtag from Shake Shack. This is what I mean about the coarsening of the culture somewhat. Uh, why don't we have everybody right now just tweet, tweet it at Shake Shack? No, no, no. Tweet, tweet your opinions of the upcoming presidential election. Sort of what you see as perhaps a candidate, or the qualities you want in a candidate, or what you think we need in the next president. Put a hashtag of Burger Balling. Yeah, hashtag Burger Balling. So say who you're rooting for, who you think is going to win, who you think is going to be a big loser. Do a series of tweets, but always hashtag it Burger Bond. Yeah. Like and, and get into, get into it. Like, if you see other people doing it, like, get into, like, some friendly debates, but always hashtag Burger Bond. And try to tweet at the candidates as well. Yeah. Uh, your support, your disappointment, whatever it is, hashtag Burger Bond. Your wants, desires. 
even if it's just about the idea of presidency in general and what you think sort of where society really we're at with that, just hashtag a burger ball in. Yeah. What number are you? 51. I'm 101. Yeah, there were 50 people between us. Oh. Um, it was fast, but you lost your place in line. It's true. Um... I you I am We're both just kind of shut down for a second. Yeah, I was still waiting for you to talk. Yeah. Oh. There we go. There we go. Thank you. I have my food. JD does not have his. That's just how it goes. filling up uh, a ketchup thing. I'm going to put the little... Uh oh. I put too much ketchup in the thing and it won't close. Now, JD is waiting for his food. What's that? You're waiting for your food. Yeah. Did you order something tricky? Yeah, very tricky. Oh. I screwed up. I screwed What's up, that? buddy. I screwed up. What'd you do? I put too much ketchup in the thing and now oh, I'm close. Connor. Connor. It's a disaster. I, I, I've wasted it. You've really... I, I didn't anticipate... Are you going to throw that other one out now? I got to. It's a mess. It'll either cause a, a giant ketchup mess. Ugh, even that one. I'm bad at this, JD. Oh, what are uh, you doing? I don't know. Oh, boy. Connor is not hashtag oh, yeah. burger ball. No. I had to leave my food to go throw away that ketchup. Um, do you follow politics, JD? Uh, kind of. I do my best to. Do you, do you take breaks from it where you get fed up? I usually dive in in waves. Mm -hmm. I just can't, I don't, I, I, it's just so, if you try to stay abreast, you're just being fed BS so much of the time. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's the kind of thing where you have to go in of your own volition, or else you're being lied, you're being lied, lied to. to. You're being lied to. Everyone wake up. Yeah. Wake up. Is that your sign, your conspiracy sign, Seinfeld character? Yeah. Um... 
gotten very busy here all of a sudden. When I picked up my food, it was just me. I was the only order, but JD is picking up amidst a wave. There we go. Thank you. He's got it. Yeah, JD, he's got it. Mm. Now, JD is getting his ketchup. He's learned from my mistake. Oh, he's mixing ketchup and mustard in one container. Putting, he did a, a three-layer dip. He did, oh, he, half and half. Half ketchup, half mustard. Now putting the lid on and putting it in the bag. Real weird that you're doing that. Why? Because you're... I'm leaving the Shake Shack. JD can stay in there. You know? I'm outside the building now. I'm on my way. There's um, a girl in there mm -hmm. who I believe was the younger sister of someone I went to high school with. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Small world. Yeah. What I know what's so funny is that I was at this wedding this weekend. Uh -huh. It was my second cousin's wedding. Yeah. Or not this weekend, this week. And I was, I was escorting my grandmother there. Uh -huh. So we were at a table with some other relatives and then a couple families from the groom's side who I guess he's from Omaha originally. Yeah. And so one of the people was just the people that grew up whose backyards were connected to this, the, the groom growing up. And it was the kind of thing where they were like, oh, you know, we're from Omaha. We spent all of our time there. And then at one point, they found out I went to NYU. They're like, do you know so-and-so? Which is like yeah. a game at NYU that you can't really play because there's like 40,000 students. Sure. And they named someone that I knew because we were, lived like in the same building freshman year. And I knew this person. Wow. It was a very small world like... It's one of those things where I didn't quite know how to describe how, what a weird coincidence it was that they knew that person. Ah, yeah. damn it. What happened? What did I forget? Straw? Yep. It's okay. It's okay. <coughs> um. But those small world things are so strange to me. Yeah. You know they say that thing about, like, if you get 50 people in a room or something, that two people will have the same birthday? Yeah. That always seems wrong to me. I don't remember what the exact figure is. I believe it's even smaller than that. Yeah. You get two people in the same room together. Right. Two of them will have the same birthday. Yeah, what's the math behind that again? I don't know. Um... It's been well because also it's that's what the math is. Is that you know? Okay, so if there's like thirty people, right? Yeah. You'd think that the chance that uh, off the cuff, you'd think the chances are like a thirty and three sixty-five chance that someone has the same birthday as you. 
Yeah. But that's not what the statistic is saying. The chances that it's you that has the same birthday as someone is that rare, but that to any two pairs of people have the same birthday is much more likely because it doesn't matter who the pairs are. Right. Still seems so strange. So each person has, you know, uh, whatever, uh, the factorial amount of chances that... Yeah. Yeah, you're playing the odds again and again and again 30 times. Exactly. And each person sort of gets to do that. Yeah. Um... It's, uh, one of the things, oh, coming back to 1984, one of the things that, uh, I felt weird in the third week of the Gethard Show, the, the sleep deprivation week, uh, I felt weird doing the warm-up because it felt like such a specific, it was a weird atmosphere in the room. Yeah. And it was also... I was, like, conscious of, like, not wanting to get the crowd riled up in a way that would be, would be an irritant to the performers, because I thought, like, yeah. we want them to be engaged, but not, like, hopped up. Right. Uh, so it's, like, aiming for a very particular target. Yeah. Uh, and, uh... And then afterwards, I was sort of, like, feeling weird about, like, maybe I shouldn't have... Like, I talked a lot about sleep and things like that. I was like, oh, maybe I should have just talked about what I, what was on my mind uh, and gone a little bit uh, uh, off to the side from uh, trying to thematically match the episode. Um, and it, but it wasn't until after the episode was over that I was like... I should have talked about the fact that that week, that Tuesday, was Donald Duck's 81st birthday. Huh. And I was in... Donald Duck's 50th birthday was like a big deal to me. We went to Disney World that summer. And the whole... Wait. E- what? Oh, okay. 1984. Okay. So I thought... I thought... Okay, never mind. What? Nothing. I did my math wrong. I was like, you weren't around 50 years ago. That's right. You're right. Um, that would be a big reveal. Yeah. To bury that, in this podcast. That you were like 20 years older than I thought. Yeah. Uh, the. And that's how you told me? That's how I told you. Yeah, Donald Duck turned 81 and I'm 50. I was there for his 30th birthday. <laughs> um, but all that summer, like, they... Disney World was celebrating Donald's birthday every day. They had a parade every day for Donald's birthday all year right. long. And they had a specific song you can look up. It's on YouTube for his uh, 50th birthday, which was... Can I guess was, what it was? Yeah. Hey, Donald, it's your birthday. Hey, Donald, it's your birthday. You're turning 50 today. Dun, 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 dun. Donald Duck's 50th birthday. No, but I would like... Uh, anyone out there who wants to add uh, a backing track to that, uh, make a big mega mix of JD's version of the Donald Duck birthday song. Like, seriously, add drums, bass, harmonies. Get a whole session band a, to come in. A horn section. Uh, 
you got it right there. The making song. No, the 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 actual song. In fact, get get rid of my lyrics and have someone proper sing it. And you also need after You're he says, songwriter? "Hey Donald, it's your birthday." I said, "Donald has to go." You can do a good Donald Duck, can't you? I'll have my birthday. Yeah, I can't yeah. do it anymore. Neither like, can I. I think as a kid, yeah. the easy thing you do as a kid, and then you. Yeah, it's hard. It's too hard. I can probably get it if Donald I work at it, but. Yeah. It's weird. It feels like the muscles that were there when I last attempted this are no longer there. It's like you have an arm that you can't use anymore. Yeah, we have like Phantom Donald Duck voice. Um. So no, the actual song goes. Happy birthday, it's Donald's birthday. Happy, happy birthday to you. Hey, Donald, happy birthday. It's Donald's birthday. Which I think one of the funnier things about it is the shifting uh, point of view. Yeah. <laughs> but like part of it's directed at Donald, but most of it isn't. Yeah. Or some of it isn't. Um, but it just hit me that it was like, wait a second, Donald was 50 when I was a kid. And now he's 81, and I'm about to be 40. Right. Uh, that it sort of like squished that sort of weird like time truth. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. There we go. Right. We're now opening the door to the building. It's robotic. Um, that it's weird that like when I was a kid, Donald was 50, and that was like wow. That he was born in 1934. It's a long time. That was a long time ago. That was before World War II. That's so long ago. Right. And now I'm basically a decade away from being the age Donald was then. Right. And uh, Donald is now basically twice my age. Right. So before he was way older than me in terms of like he was 50 and I was I was nine. Right. And now he's only twice my age. What's that noise? Uh, the elevator shaft. Oh, really? Yeah. Um. Did I do it wrong? Right. Where do you want to eat? You can eat here if you want. We could eat wherever. Where would you like to? Hmm. Let's eat in the makeup room. Okay. That'll show him. Yeah, wait, you take that. There we go. Ow! Are oh, you right? Yeah, I what fell on a makeup chair. Ow! 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 Wow! Happy birthday, happy Ow. birthday. Donald's birthday is for juice. Um, what? We, but I wish I talked about that a little bit in the thing. Was that a bit of a bad idea, do you think? No, I don't think it would have been a bad idea. I mean, I think there is something to the fact that, like, you are hosting yeah. a live stream, so if what you're talking about is on theme, that's... I worry sometimes that I'll talk on theme and I'll accidentally... Uh, step on the show. Step on something. You know, like... Um, I doubt that. I'm going to run get the power cord. Okay, power cord. JD's running through the hallway... Desperate to get the power cord to plug in. I'm just setting up my food. We're in the makeup room. 
And uh, if you want to do a hashtag uh, for this, the hashtag for this will be um, makeup room meal time. All right. And uh, let's try to get it trending, you guys. All right, let's really try to get makeup room meal time trending on Twitter. It doesn't have to be tweets about having a meal in a makeup room, but just tweet that hashtag. Meal in a makeup room? Makeup room meal time. Or what did you say? Meal in a makeup room. Meal in a makeup room is, a, is the alt for that. It's the alt hashtag. Um, I've been thinking, it's weird. It's been a very strange week with everything horrible that happened with the shooting in uh, Charleston. Yeah. Um, it's very strange because it feels like there have been so many. I'm sorry to hear this during. What? He's just adjusting the uh, makeup of the chair. I did not mean to do that during. No, that's alright. I'm not going to do it to mine. It has nothing to do with the sound. Alright. This one back here? Yeah. Do I have to do it fiercely or? No. Um. JD, do you have strong feelings about the Confederate flag? Uh, I don't. You, uh, actually, mine's not Rob. You're not Rob? I remember as a little kid, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, go ahead. As a little kid, I was a child at the point where the Dukes of Hazard was a very popular show. So I had a couple of toys that had it on there. My first associations with it were that the Dukes of Hazard, they drove a car that had the Confederate flag on it. And I remember as I got older, feeling weird as I realized that like what that stood for, what it meant, right? And it really to me was like as if. I've been playing with a toy that had like a Nazi flag on it, and then a few right. years later, I was like, "Oh wait, those are the guys who did this." Wait, the the Duke the Duke, the Duke boys? boys? Yeah. Because um, it even like the the theme song to that show is just the good old boys, never meaning no harm. Um, they've been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Right. Um. But then. Because I remember that at one point that was like my favorite toy when the, the Deuce of Hazard were the big show. Um, and the the horn that hung was the da 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 I know there would have been a point where my ideal version of me as an adult would be like I'd have a car where the doors don't open, you get into the windows, and when you uh, and you jump over a lot of things in your car and honk that horn. Right. And it's so weird now to think that that... Like, when you get to an offensive. age where you're like, oh, it's, like, super offensive. And to me, 
It's not a free speech issue. Because you're allowed to put the Nazi flag wherever you want. I mean, not in Germany. They have laws against it there, but... Right. Um, Which is interesting, because... You know, in the same way that Germany has laws about that, mm -hmm. about basically saying, like, there's a dark period of our country yeah. that we are not okay with. Uh-huh. We will never go back to that. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like that's what the Confederacy should be for the United States? It really does. And I think... I understand... First Amendment and all that. But to me, the whole thing of, like, Southern pride being attached to that flag, it's like, be proud of something else. Yeah. Be Fine, be proud, but be proud of something else. Like, you don't need to attach yourself to a flag that was essentially this treasonous thing that... I don't care what kind of revisionist stuff people come out with about how, oh, well, it's more complicated than this. So like, or, like, oh, there's racism in the North as well. I'm like, yeah, all that's true. Doesn't change the fact that having that flag is offensive now. Um. And the fact that the places where you see that abhorrent behavior and points of view is primarily the... Confederate South. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like you can make a technical argument about certain things. Whenever free speech comes into it, it's just sort of like whenever you get the people who are the angriest about like you get people like, well, how come I can't say the N-word? They say it in their songs or whatever like that. It's just like Okay, like, you don't have anything else to worry about? Right. Like, your life is so worked out that, like, this is the thing you're upset about? You just gotta say it? It's like, don't say it, man. It's not for you. Guess no. what? You can say pretty much almost anything you want. Just don't say that. Like that. Can we be cool? Like, it's not... Right. Like, having the right to do something being, like, the equivalent with, like, I have to, I'm going to, are two very different things. And, I don't know, it's, it's a very... You know what's interesting, though, is that I saw a lot of people posting online mm -hmm. after this Charleston thing mm -hmm. just about all the stuff with the South in general going, we should have let them secede. We should have let them secede. We should let them, like, like we should have included them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I thought about that for a second, and I was like, that seems wrong to me. <clears throat> and my feeling is, no, it's a good thing we didn't let them secede. Because now we have jurisdiction over their awful behavior. Yeah. And of course, I'm saying they and grouping the South as though all of the South is this awful place. And no. I actually grew up primarily, you know, I grew up my childhood until first grade or so was in the South. So I understand it's not the case, but I'm just, um, being that that is a place that has ties to yeah. awful parts of history, and then people saying, well, we should we should have we should let them secede those people that wanted to. And it's like no. The fact that their viewpoints are so steeped in old, painful, offensive things is why we shouldn't let them secede. Is because <laughs> that's not okay. Because if that was okay, then we wouldn't be able to say no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Well, just maybe a 
imposing viewpoint, but. I do tend to think that for the most part, on balance, nowhere, every place in the country feels like it's kind of a little bit 50-50, and then a little bit 60-40s, mm-hmm. 60s, 40s, kind of. Like, Oregon's thought of as a liberal state because Portland's very Oregon, uh, very liberal, and there's a lot of different right. liberal, but if you go into the middle of Oregon, it's like a clan hotbed. There's like all kinds of like rotten stuff. Right. Even though, like, the state would tend to trend more liberal because there's more people living in the cities. Mm-hmm. But likewise, you go into the south and you have certain areas, but then you also have, like, college towns and areas that where it's like right. uh, you have different... It's that way in Missouri, where I'm from, where it's like Missouri's always been a bellwether state up until Obama, and it was a, it was a split state during the Civil War. Like the north half went north, the south half went south. What does bellwether refer to? Like, so goes Missouri, that's the way the election would go. Right. What's the origin of the word bellwether? Yeah, that's what I mean. I assume it's just like um, an indicator. Like, a, I'm assuming it might even be literally like a bell indicating which way the wind is blowing. Um, Sorry, I stopped your point. No, let me look. Because it's good to get the origins of these things. Um, One that indicates... One that serves as a leader or leading indicator of future trends. Right. Um, Let me see if there is a... It's from the Middle English Bellwether, B-E-L-L-E-W-E-T-H-E-R. And it refers to the practice of placing a bell around the neck of a castrated ram leading his flock of sheep. The movements of the flock could be noted by hearing the bell before the flock was in sight. Um, So Missouri was always a castrated ram leading a flock of sheep. Um, that's our, our sort of it. And, but Missouri gave up its like coveted status as like the state that mattered in terms of covering these campaigns. Like, how's Missouri trending? How, what does it matter to these campaigns? Missouri forfeited that in 2008 and then confirmed it in 2012 by going McCain-Romney. I think part of that had been at least 100 years of, like, being the one consistent state that you could count on to be, like, whatever they were trending. Like, you knew if you were winning Missouri, you probably meant you were winning the country. Right. And it may be an oversimplification, but I don't think so, that the reason... I mean... Missouri was purple. Missouri was a purple state. It was a mix of right. red state, blue state. And I do think it was race that pushed it over the edge. I think it's become... I don't think it's a coincidence that Ferguson and all that stuff is in Missouri. Like, like right. I think it was an indicator of like what's going on. Um, 
Interesting. Uh, and I hate that because, like, that's where I'm from. Uh, and my city, Jefferson City, you know, like, I'm pretty. My parents in 2008, they were like going around canvassing for Obama. Like, they were, they helped the campaign out. They were, they were less. Uh, focused on it in 2012, they were still doing it, but uh, it also, by that point, became clear that it, it was a much more uphill battle, like he wasn't going to win. He was clearly going to win re-election, but he wasn't going to win Missouri, whereas he had a shot at it, I think, in 2008. Right. But in both times, Cole County, Jefferson City, where I'm from, uh, went strongly against Obama. Has the youth vote become less important? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily become more important, but I will say that... I, mean, I feel like there's a big push, push for a while that was like, you get the young people and you have it. Because there, I think young people were like, there was a period of time where they are just not involved in yeah. politics at all. I mean, I definitely think that whether it's the actual vote or not, there are elements of youth culture that have an effect just in the sense that I think the campaigns having to be active in social media and having everything being paid attention to does lead to things that take off in ways that wouldn't have before and I kind of associate that with youth culture like things like I've got women I've got binders full of women or um, the 47% that like big mistakes that Romney made in 2012 I mean Romney was never going to win because you can't win if your own party doesn't like you. Can you explain that binders for all women thing? Because um, everything I heard about it, <clears throat> it was sort of a dumb comment, but not, not that what dumb. he was saying was actually... Yeah. He the was just spirit saying, of it was pretty it, it fine. Was, it was actually surprising to me that that caught on, because that everybody seemed to react to it, because I agree with you. I don't think it was that weird. He was just saying, like, it was a, it was a weird uh, fumbling of syntax... But it's like, this is the country that elected George W. Bush twice. And binders full of women doesn't come close to the level of gaffery that right. George W. Bush made on a daily basis. It was just an awkward way of phrasing, like, I have a lot of resumes on file. Right. We're, you know, we're looking to hire women. You know, like... Exactly. Um, Romney himself said tons of things that were way... Should have been bigger. But I think part of it was because there were a bunch of things like legitimate rape and stuff like that that came up that year. Where he seemed to be very devoid of humanity. Yeah. So him referring to it, people as, I have binders full of people that fit those characteristics. Yeah, it makes him, it, it just confirms the the general impression. Right. Did you see that doc about him? Yeah. I enjoyed Fascinating, it. Fascinating, right? I enjoyed it. I mean, What's weird to me is how many people uh, respond to that by saying, like, ooh, if this had come out, he would have been president. I don't think it was that effective a thing. I think it was just, like, nice to see something that wasn't just part of the campaign machine. You know, like, uh, I think, I mean, I don't think, I, I don't agree with a lot of Romney's politics. I also, he clearly changed a lot of opinions just based on, in one case, he's running to be the governor of a liberal state. In right. another, he's trying to win a Republican nomination, then he's trying to win a general. So 
doesn't. It's not a mystery why he would change all his positions on things. Right. But, um, you know, if he was like the dad of one of your friends, and you went over to his house. Yeah. You know, You'd seems like, like yeah, a nice enough guy. guy. Yeah. I mean, that's true of a lot of people. I think I tend to I tend to try to make a distinction between. I think there are people that I think like that guy seems like an asshole. I think there are people that you get to a point where you're like. <clears throat> Like, I think that's one of the things that really does distinguish <laughs> Donald Trump from the, even even some of the worst of the, my least favorite GOP candidates. Donald Trump seems to be in a different category in terms of how much he's willing to uh, expose himself as a jerk. Someone online, I think they're joking, but I was like, I wonder if it was true, is that he had some tweet recently that was really like, he tweeted something that was like, Maybe it was. Let me make sure it was a real tweet. It probably was. He tweets some stupid stuff. Where it was something like, "I'm actually very smart and I have a high IQ." And let me see. I know some of you may think I'm tough and harsh, but actually I'm a very compassionate person, parentheses, with a very high IQ, with strong common sense. That was a tweet. Wow. And <clears throat> someone like retweeted it and sort of put like, <clears throat> could this be mental illness? Like question mark, in a way that was like sort of mm. a joke, but it was also like, yeah, some of his behavior sounds like someone who like... Yeah, we'll find out that he, something went wrong in his brain. Yeah, something went wrong in his brain, or, like, there's something going on. Like, have you ever seen the video of... Giuliani? No, it's the Giuliani one. The sketch that he did where Giuliani's dressed like a woman, and, and Donald Trump says, tries to smell uh, his perfume, and then he sticks his face in between Giuliani's fake breasts, and then Giuliani says, Oh, Donald, you dirty boy, and slaps him. I thought you were a gentleman. And then, hmm, walks off, and... Donald Trump goes, oh, I guess, can't say I didn't try. What? What did you just say? What the heck did you just say? I'll show, this was the I reason why... I have no why, idea what you just said. This is why, um... This is why... What are you talking about? It sounded like you just maybe had a stroke. Um... This is why when there was talk of Donald Trump running in 2012, and there was, like, he was, like, leading the polls for a few weeks... I was like, oh, this will never happen because all you'll need to do is show this video. You know, you're really beautiful. And a woman that looks like that has to have her own special scent. Oh, thank you. Maybe, maybe you could tell me what you think of this scent. Hmm, I like that. This, this may be the best of all. What? Oh, you dirty boy, you... Oh, oh! Donald, I thought you were a gentleman. Hm. You can't say I didn't try. Mayor Giuliani... Um, wait. What? What was that made for? 
Why some, was that made? Some sort of... Why did either of them agree to do that? Um, what the hell? I like that you heard my version of it and then saw it come true. Because that was... I was pretty accurate from memory. Yeah, but I didn't even... What? Wait, the what wor- was that for? It was for some evening, some tribute to Giuliani or something. And it was but sta- why would Giuliani agree to play that woman? Because... Giuliani and Donald Trump both suffer from the same thing. They both think they're smarter and funnier and better than they actually are. They're, both of them are, I think there's something wrong with both of them. Someone had to be in the room with them. And tell them that. And go, you know it would be funny here. Spray the perfume on your breasts. And then Donald, you try to smell the perfume again, but not because it's on her breasts. You try to smell her breasts. And they had to both go, yeah, yeah, that's the thing we should do. I mean, I think that the, the major problem I have with like that. Like, people were there shooting that and making that. There's probably a lot of people. And they said, okay, that's a good thing to do. The major problem I have with that is from a comedy point of view. Um, it's, uh, it's damning that those two thought that was funny. Like, it's, it's damning. Yes. Uh, because I don't trust someone who thinks that's funny. I don't trust them. And they're people who want to be leaders. Now, you don't, you don't have to be good at comedy to be a leader. You don't have to have anything with comedy. But if you think that doing that comedy is a good idea, it means we can't trust you as a leader. That's scary. Yeah. That's scary. I mean, my whole, uh, I tend to think, if I was really running for president, that there are certain candidates that you look at them, that, you, that I look at certain candidates and I'm like, I know the one, I know I have a knockout move for you. Right. And my knockout move, if I was in a debate with either Rudolph Giuliani or Donald Trump, would be to show that sketch and then turn to them and say, explain what's funny about that. Like, I'm not offended content-wise. I'm offended in terms of, like, you dressing a woman or the sexuality of it or anything like that. I'm offended because it's not funny enough. It's not funny enough. Tell me why you did it and why you think it was funny. And I think uh, that's enough. Uh, Donald Trump loves calling... People losers when they insult him, like you're a loser. You're so you're a loser. You're a loser. But like, that video is a video of someone losing at trying to be funny. Like you, I don't think I can find a better example on the internet of someone failing harder at comedy than Donald right. Trump is doing there. That's really insane. Yeah, how can he expect? Yeah. Um, so what I was gonna say is, so there's this. I'm trying to. I want to make sure this is. Uh... My knockout punch, my other knockout punch that I think of, and, I, and it's still in play because Trump is running and Rick Perry is running, and I could knock them both out in a debate. Perry would be the most fun to knock out in a debate because uh, it would be so easy. And I would, I would, on a debate stage, I would stand next to Rick Perry, and I would say, "I'll make a deal with you, Governor Perry. I will drop out of the race and endorse you for president." If you will say the name of the hunting ranch that you like to go to, that you recommended to people many times, just say it to the camera four times. What is it? Um, it's uh, it's the N word with head at the end of it. So that's the name of the ranch. Uh, it's it's painted on a rock outside this uh, ranch. And that's the ranch that he would go with his family to. Uh, to hunt, and they'd recommend it to others, and I would just say, like, I'll drop out of the race right now, and I'll endorse you right here and now, right now. You just have to say it. You have to say the word. Just look at the camera, 
Say the name of the place you like to go hunt. Say it, and we're done here. But if you can't, then we're also done. <laughs> what do you say to respond to that? You won't say it? You went there all the time. You loved it. You told other people it was great. Just say it. That's insane. It is insane, right? Like, that's... You're out of the race. You're out of the race at that that's point. That's it. If you, because the thing is, you can go to that place once and hunt, and then be like, wait, what's the name of this place? And then maybe have a word with the people around and say, like, listen, I can't come back here if this is the name right. of this place. Like, you got some nice hunting grounds here. you got to get rid of that rock. you got to paint over that or something. Like, that's is little... that the name of it or just the rock that outside of it? Um, I think that's the name of the place. Let me, at the risk of ruining my Google uh, uh, profile. Um, oh, no. I don't know how these things get tracked. Um, They may have changed it by now, but they hadn't changed it at the... Um, but it's the kind of thing that's like the judgment of going back to a place repeatedly that's known as that and right. not like talking to anybody about it, not dealing with it. Not going to another place. Yeah, you can't find another place. And also, those Texas. two words together have strong implications. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not just that first word that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That second word means something about that first word that is bad. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, what was your other knockout punch? Uh, so that's your Trump... Trump was the sketch comedy. This was that. Oh, um, he claims to have painted over the rock and blazed with that name in the early 1980s. Um, but there were people who remember it as late as the 90s. Um, um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird to me. Didn't you say you had one for... Uh... Probably. I, those are my two. Oh. But I, I'll come up with another one if you want. Let's, let's play it. Hillary Clinton. She's going to win. There's no, I don't have a knockout punch for her. The only knockout punch for Hillary would be... And I hope it doesn't happen. Um, I think the only way that she would lose the election is if there was a health situation. Which is with the type herself? of... With herself? With herself, yeah. Uh, that's what Karl Rove was going for when he tried to say that when she fell or she had like a uh, an episode like a couple years ago or two years ago or something and Carl Rove was like oh I think she's got brain damage or something right and I was like oh I see what Carl Rove is doing he sees that's the only avenue right uh, and that's just the, that's just like the fates uh, right it's like with any of us with any person that's right. true um, uh, so the Donald Trump thing I was getting at yeah so there's this video which I've, as, much, as far as I can tell, someone will probably tell me this is fake, but I don't believe it is. And I've looked up this guy, and I think he actually has issues. Yeah. But so Elon Musk, the guy who created Tesla, Tesla yeah. he had a shareholders meeting where one of the shareholders stepped forward and asked him a question. Mm-hmm. And looking up this guy's online stuff, this guy thinks that he's a genius. And so it's a guy that ask Elon Musk if he can be a CEO of the company, like just at a public shareholders thing. It's one of the most awkward. Yeah. So I found the video. Uh, philosopher and entrepreneur from Philadelphia, uh, Tesla shareholder. Um, 
Uh, two years ago, I was here asking you about monolith sales, and you had mentioned to me uh, 8,000 was a break-even unit, and it seemed like now much more better things have occurred, which is good, good for all Tesla shareholders. Um, a question today is that you had mentioned that you're planning to step down from Tesla as a CEO at one point. Can you talk more about that, and as well as who would you want to be the CEO of the company uh, after you do step down from that position? Thank you. Uh, well, uh, you know, nobody's CEO of a, of a company forever. I mean, eventually, you know, they, they carry you out. Um, um, so, you know, in my case, uh, I mean, it is, it, is, it is quite difficult, I'd say, being the CEO of two companies. Um, and it was never my intention to, to be CEO. I tried to actually not be CEO quite hard. And um, eventually it was sort of, it was either that or the company wasn't going to make it. So, or at least I had to give it a try. Um, so, um, you know, w what I've committed to is to be CEO of the company through volume production of the third generation car. Um, so that's, you know, somewhere in the, I don't know, four, four or five year time frame. Um, and then um, I'll have to see, you know, how, how things are going at that point and whether uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you know if, 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 if it's sort of manageable to, to do that on a personal level, you know, without getting burnt out essentially, then I'll keep doing it. Otherwise, I'm, I'll probably have to uh, find someone else. But we've got a lot of time to, to sort that out. So you're talking maybe a few years then, pretty much when the volume production car comes. I, I, I think I, I will yeah, certainly be um, CEO for, like, say, four or five years, and then it's sort of TBD after that. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, you're to say it, right? Yeah, but that, that, that's the commitment I made to people uh, at Tesla and also to investors is, is that I'm going to make sure that no. uh, we... <laughs> no, it's just we just listened to just part of it. No, what I just realized. Yeah. Is this? This was a video uploaded by that guy. Yeah. So he took out the next part. Oh. I was watching this. I was like, "They're gonna get to it, right? They're gonna get to this thing, right?" So what happened? I'm, I need to find the actual thing. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I know. I, I know. We're running out of time here, but. Uh... Yeah, we gotta wrap this up in it. Just, just a quick follow-up. Um, I've been asking to speak to you now for two years um, to talk to you, to tell you that I'm also a super genius like yourself. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not sorry. I'm not sure I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm one, but all right. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying serious. This is all, to all benefit of Tesla shareholders in, in the world. I am a capitalist like yourself. I am also a level two stage I've been waiting for 10 years now for someone to give me a second look, a full second look. And if they did, they would see a very advanced mind in front of them. So I'm asking you today, can you give me a second look? Um, okay. I mean, I'm not sure what uh, second look in what, what, what I'm not sure I, in what regard. I, I would like to come on board as vice chairman of Tesla. To... Uh, well, uh, we don't really have a vice chairman spot, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think, I, I, I'd have to say, uh, no, I'm probably sorry. I, I'm sorry. I can also apply for a future CEO position, but I would, at, at least, at least I would like to come on the board of the directors.
I apologize. Is it to the benefit of Tesla shareholders? Uh, I, I think we need to move on to another another question. My apologies. Thank you for your time. All right. Uh, hello, man. Wow. What do you think? Clearly that he has a, you know, a spectrum. Yeah, and he's he's uh, dissociated from reality to a certain extent. <clears throat> All geniuses are. But, like, that's where I feel like there's people that are maybe more functional versions of that that have gotten to places of success, like Donald Trump. Yeah. Who just don't... Well, also, everybody laughs, but... Uh, in some ways, it's hard to know. The, my, my initial reaction is probably the normal reaction to that, I think. The standard reaction to that is this is either a troubled guy who's deluded um, or it's like some sort of uh, stunt, some sort of like com- alt-comedian is doing right. something and we'll find out about it later that it's like a Walking Phoenix, Sasha Baron Cohen style thing. Right. Like that's also in our in our time, that's where my brain goes to a lot where I see someone being like, oh, hello, I'm in public and I'm being uh, uncomfortable for you. Uh, my new character that like right. someone out there is watching a video of Connor O'Malley going into uh, Burger King uh, did you see that video? No, him going to Burger King? We gotta watch it. Of Conor O'Malley? Yeah. Um, uh, we got a lot more clips in this episode than a normal one, but I think that's just part of what a 12-hour talk show has. Um, um, change it to Conor O.B. Mallet. What a dumb smartphone. We had... Seth Meyers on the Gethard show the other day. I know. And before the show, Connor uh, Connor was here for the, the one this week. What? But before the show, you know, I always talk to the guests. So it was yeah. myself and Seth, and then Chris came in at a certain point. Yeah. And the thing that we're all yeah. that we are telling stories about is the different things Connor O'Malley has done. Uh huh. Like so, it was funny. Like myself, Seth Meyers, and Gethard all being like, well, one time Connor did this. But apparently Connor is ridiculous at Seth Meyers. Yeah. In a way that I think is really funny. Yeah. Like, he has no fear of... I think the thing that, like, Seth really likes about him that people in general like is that Connor's just, like, very comfortable on people very quickly. Yeah. And is very easily gives people a hard time. Yeah. Go ahead. Good. McDonald's is good, Burger King is bad. I love McDonald's, and I want to tell the whole world that Burger King is bad for you. McDonald's makes you strong. It's legal steroids. It will increase your muscle mass by 300%, and you'll be able to do whatever you want. My dad died, I put a McDonald's hamburger in his mouth, and he came back to life. And now he's going to be teaching my son how to skateboard later on this afternoon. Burger King, the way that they make it is they scrape shit from dead bodies, and then they put it inside of a patty and melt it up. When I'm at McDonald's, I come and fuck. Guaranteed. I met my wife at McDonald's. Yeah, dude. Hey, man, check it out. McDonald's, right? It's good. It's good for you. It's good for me. He's McDonald's, right, dude? McDonald's. McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoop. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's dancing What's up, dude? McDonald's. I went to a Burger King to spread the news. You don't want to be here, dude. Stinks. Damn. Stinks like dog shit up in here. 
He's in the Burger King, huh? This place give you AIDS, man. They put rats in there. The rats gonna come down, grab your hand. I'm trying to help you, dude. Look how tiny these ketchups is. How small it is. See that? You come down to McDonald's, you get the good food. I'm telling you, McDonald's is the best right now, okay? Burger King CEO is the devil. I saw it. 60minutes.com. I went to Burger King once, and the doctor said that... What? Why? I'll buy something. I'll take a Big Mac. Ugh. Ugh. This is bad, right? If you eat chicken fries, then you'll wake up as a skeleton. You guys ever go to McDonald's? Jamiroquai is my cousin. It's good to be king of the hill. McDonald's is the purest. If you follow the money, you will see that McDonald's has the most of it. So therefore, it is the best restaurant. Burger King's owned by ISIS. What? No. I'm an independent American citizen. Can I have this? No, you can't put this. Hey, check this out. Connor is crazy. All I know is that Burger King is owned by ISIS and McDonald's is the best. The devil is real and he is owned by Burger King. You guys have a good day and I invite you to come on down to McDonald's anytime. Well, we did it. We spread the truth at the Burger King and never went on McDonald's. Um, See, the thing I love about Conor O'Malley is it's like there's so many layers to why that's funny. That's yeah. not, you know, him just going to a, a Burger King dressed as McDonald's yeah. done by someone else would be like, okay. Yeah. But it's like this, like, there's like 10 levels of irony back, packed into it that it just gets lost in this tornado of like, because at the same time, it's making fun of McDonald's and Burger King, but also making fun of people that do videos like that mm-hmm. but also making fun of just people even who the, don't like videos like it's like just like, just like everything about it just like it's also even just at the core level the idea of the conflict between two fa- like right. where he has he's against both sides but he's making the humor out of picking one of the two sides he exactly. doesn't likes and it's not also that he's it's not like doing it with any sort of tact he's doing yeah. the video is a bad version of a vi- of that kind of video. Yeah. So he's playing a character who is making a video that is that you know what I mean? It's like yeah. so bizarre. He's so funny. Have you seen the things of him and Joe Para where he's yeah. Joe's agent? Yeah. He just calls up cruise lines and tries to book Joe Para. Yeah. That's great. It's so funny. Um He's hilarious. So anyways, all that's to say, that's why we're in the TCGS office today. So, yeah. now we can get started with episode eight. Here we go. You're listening to Twelve Hour Day with JD Amato and Connor Hey, where are my pants? Uh, you didn't get pants. What?
Hey, this is 12 Hour Day with uh, JD and Connor. I'm Connor. And I'm JD. Um, that was a good cold open, JD. Yeah, that was good. Um, <clears throat> that was uh, just to set the scene a little bit, let you guys know we are, where we are. But just to recap, we are at the Chris Gethard Show offices. Right now we're in the makeup room. Right. We've which... raised the makeup chairs to a greater height than they normally are at. Yeah, um, if you skip, if you miss the cold open, you will have missed the part where we raise the chairs up. Raise the third chair up. Uh, there's no one sitting in it, so he doesn't need to do that. Yeah, I just like the idea that when it's time for makeup on Tuesday, the makeup chairs will all be a little bit high. They'll be too high. They'll be lowered. It's a fun prank. Don't. Also, you're not raising it. Oh, I don't know what's happening. Why is it not working? Um. Also, want to shout out to Avery Monson, who's been tweeting at us. Today? No, just in general. Oh. I'm just doing all the business. All right. If people skip the cold open. Oh, yeah, because some people don't like... A lot of people who listen to Twitter today <laughs> like to skip the first four hours. They skip our monologue. Yeah, just wait till we get the guests. We probably won't have it. This might be a guestless one. It might be, unless I go to that improv show. Oh, no, yeah, we probably will have a guest at that point. <sighs> you could call in any of uh, the Gethard Show staff and just say, like, we need you in here now, right? Get to work. This is your boss calling you. Hello? Yeah, one second. They probably can't hear that in the mics. Yeah, there's a, f a distant phone rang right after he said that. Um, um, I have Avery was tweeting, though, yeah. at me. Because on my list of great movies mm -hmm. from episode a million ago, yeah. I mentioned My Neighbor Totoro. And he was asking, should he watch with subtitles? Or dubbed. should he watch with dub? Sub versus dub. And uh, what did you say? Well, with the Studio Ghibli films, it they, is... They get big stars to dub their films. And it's very hotly debated. Mm. Because there were several rounds of subs and dubs. Because um, basically there was original Japanese dubs, which were well translated, but poorly performed. Mm-hmm. And then the rights came over. Troma had the original distribution rights to Mine Never Totoro, and they did an English dub, which is not good. And then Disney bought the rights to all the Studio Ghibli. That's why Miramax releases them usually, right? Yeah, Miramax had some of them when they first came in the United States, I believe. But that would have been when Disney owned Miramax, though, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, and Disney did a couple really bad dubs, and then they took a lot of care to make good dubs. The problem is they ca they got like stars to cast all of them. Uh -huh. The other thing that I don't like is that they took creative liberties with how they dubbed. Yeah. And I'm always a subtitle guy, anyways, just because I think with um, film is you know a visual and an audio medium, and so like there is a there is an argument that subtitles change the language of film because there's your eye is drawn to the bottom. Right. And so your eye does not follow the frame as it's supposed to, mm -hmm. which I understand. But I also think that subtitles are more directly translated than dubs are. Mm -hmm. And dubs sometimes lose the intent of the original director's vision. Because yeah. even in the tone of voice and the pacing and cadence of things, yeah. I think the director has a, an acute awareness of that that is changed when someone else dubs in the voices. And... There was, and so I always go for subtitles because I want to hear the more literal translation of things. Mm -hmm. But there's some dubs that I'm okay with. What's the dub you like? I think sp the Spirit Away dub is not a bad one, I don't think. That's uh, like Mini Driver, isn't that? I believe so. Um, but, so 
um, Hayao Miyazaki, the Walt Disney of Studio Ghibli, Ghibli, however you want to say it. Ghibli. Studio Ghibli. Um, he did his last film last year. When the wind takes the curtains. Wind rises. Yes. And it was a very interesting film because most of his films are these fanciful nature versus human sort of elements, mm-hmm. dealing with spirits and all this unbelievable. He's got an imagination that's expansive. Off the hook. It's expansive and bizarre and um, way more out there than like Disney's imagination side of things is, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. Um, but so his last film had nothing to do with that imagination. There was no fantastical elements. It was entirely set in reality. And it was an account of um, what's his hero. I forget his last name. But he was the guy, he was an airplane inventor who invented the Japanese Zero. Mm-hmm. So his last film is basically the biography of the, this inventor who created the Japanese Zero fighter plane, which, if you remember, was the plane that the United States and others fought against during World War Z. Which World War was that? Two. Two, right? Yeah, of course there's two. Um, so it was like very strange. But um, many people thought that he chose that because a lot of the things that were in his life were also in this airplane. You're distracted by something. No. You're about to say something. No. You're looking at that as though there's something that's no. pressing. No. It's okay if there is. There isn't. Okay. Sometimes you have a look of like there's a thing that's relevant right now. No. That's what it seems like. I'll let you know. Okay. I'll always say it. Okay. So did you see The Wind Rises? I have not seen it yet. No. Are you not a Miyazaki guy? I like what I've seen, but I haven't seen much. I think you'd really like it. I would, I'm surprised that you're not. I feel like you'd be, you would have been a kid that would have been obsessed with him had you seen him at the right age. Possibly. And I didn't start seeing him until college. Possibly. Have you seen Totoro? I haven't seen Totoro, so I know. I know. Connor, you would love My Neighbor Totoro, I think. Maybe. Because it is one of the pure, I would say it's the greatest animated film. Of all time. Yes. I believe that to be true. But anyway, so for The Wind Rises, I believe that he chose to make that film because it's it, a lot of this guy, this inventor's life mirror, the things that Miyazaki had had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's his last film, so there's a lot of like subtext in what the film was about and how that relates to his life. Yeah. But there's an article about... Um, the American director that was hired to basically direct the, the dubbing. Yeah. And it had a section in it that was absolutely, it made me so mad. I feel like something that would, it would anger you as well is that, um, he was talking about, he goes, Oh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's stuff that in the Japanese wouldn't appeal to an American audience. They wouldn't get it. It would distract from the movie. Oh no. So you have to change those things. And I was like, okay. And he started giving examples. And one of his examples was there's this, yeah, basically like uh, two characters meet on a train and the girl's hat flies off and he grabs her hat and that's when they first meet. And she has a line. Let me get the exact fucking... I texted it to Avery. Uh, maybe I deleted the tweet, though. I did for sure delete the tweet. Uh, let me bring it up. Uh... 
Wind rises. Dubbing director. There's going to be an article. How the wind rises. Yeah, here it is. Um, I'll read from you these questions. Yeah. Tell me if you think what you think. If you okay. think. Well, if I resp- as an American, I'll respond to these. Well, where that where this makes you land on the sub versus dub? Debate. Sub v dub. Come on, article just download. Now, do you, before I get into this, yeah. what do you prefer, subs versus dubs? Um, probably subs, I think. Um, I remember one point reading an article, there was a point where like a bunch of, um, I think, uh, European filmmakers were talking about how, um, I'm trying to remember what, they were, they'd written an open letter to Woody Allen and they were asking him, they were talking about how, like, um, I think they wanted him to direct, um, to get good actor, good, good American actors to, uh, I'm trying to remember if I'm misremembering this, but I think it was, they were talking about how much more popular dubbed movies were compared to subtitled movies. Right. Um... And uh, I think they were like trying to ask him if he could orchestrate English language dubs with using like his his pull with um, his pull with American actors, like that he'd be able to get uh, the great American actors to dub Bergman's right. movies. I think I remember it correctly. Um, but I remember in that article, they were talking about how like how much more successful dubbed movies were compared to subtitled movies because people don't like to read subtitles. Right. Um, but I feel like dubbing, I don't think I've ever, I can't think that I've ever watched a dubbed, I mean, I think the thing with animation is the one form where it would lend itself to a quality dub. Because there's something too distracting about a dubbed... I don't know if, does anybody watch a dubbed live-action movie no. anymore? No. It never. just never happens, because it's too distracting. You know it's not the voice coming out, and it may, that's why people make fun of like old kung fu movies with the dubbing not matching. It's because those are a ridiculous uh, experience. But with animation, I think the thought is like, yeah, you're already just kind of approximating the voice coming out of these characters anyway. Yeah. So your mind will do the work of, like, especially with the style of animation of a lot of Japanese animation where the lip sync is not necessarily precise, you know? Right. That you could uh, watch the movie and not know that it was, if you didn't know the style of animation, you could be like, is this the original, is this what they do it this way? So, theoretically, you should be able to do it, but it also may be one of those things where it's like, I remember the first time I had vegetarian, like, fake meat. Right. When I was at 
uh, Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts and the whole the canteen was vegetarian because Paul and Lennon McCartney were veggie right. activists. And I remember having a turkey. It was a veggie turkey thing. I remember thinking, it really tastes like turkey. I was so impressed. Like, how do they figure out how to make something taste like turkey? Right. But they did it. But it was crumbly. Like, when you cut it up, it sort of crumbled. And I'm like, it's because they got it to taste like turkey, but they didn't invent a muscle that would help a turkey's leg move. Or, you know, like, right. they were creating... And I feel like that would be the thing with dubbing, is you might get some of it right, where it's like, wow, it does look like they're saying it, but we've lost something in the translation of it. Right. And that's, to me, why it's like... I mean, the same could be true of, I'd rather have a good dub than a badly translated subtitle. Yes, absolutely. But to me, the subtitles are usually more literal. Yeah. And I think the words are so important. And even if they're not things that culturally make sense, it's like, imagine if, like, Last Line of Chinatown was like... Who cares? Who cares about girls? Like, yeah. Let's go back to where we work. Or we don't live here. Yeah. Yeah, or it's like, it's like, who cares? We're in Chinatown. Yeah. That's very close. Close. But it has so many different implications. Yeah. So, like, here, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from this article. This is an article that Vulture did about, um, who was it? Um, Mike Jones. Uh, who helped write, help rewrite the thing. It's basically it's talking with like the producer who was like, oh, there's so many things. So here's a couple of articles. Yeah. Um, Jones' writing experience, this is about The Wind Rises. This is Miyazaki's final film, the film that has... Are you able to walk with me for a second? I want to get my phone cord and plug my phone in. Yeah, or just go get your phone cord. Okay. Or leave your mic here so it'll start staticking. It'll start staticking? If you go that far away, I think. I'll, I'll get my phone cord later. Okay. Enough time to charge this. Why not? Oh, how much? Battery? I got plenty. I was just thinking ahead. Oh, yeah. We can go back. We'll, yeah. Read the article. Um, Jones's writing experience was like Cobb and the Other Puzzle, where half the pieces are cut and the others still need to be made. To write the script, he would watch snippets of The Wind Rises over and over until he could break down the cadence of the Japanese into syllables that would fit English dialogue. Already, I think that's bad. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's matching the open and closed mouth. Mm-hmm. The fact that that's like step one to me is dangerous. Is just matching syllables? Yeah. And then it's quote, I needed to watch in real motion for the rhythm of the line. And then it's me saying the line again and again to the screen. I would do it for hours and act out every single line. Rydstrom says the original dialogue tracks reflect Miyazaki's unique storytelling style. There's a deliberateness. It's not very American. It's very beautiful. It lets things come to you instead of always pushing things at the audience. <clears throat> um... Rydstrom believes an English dub, this is Gary Rydstrom, uh, is justified whenever a subtitled version is considered. Titles are often a direct translation, condensed so that the viewer has time to read it before it flashes to the next bit, bit of dialogue. There's no artistic consideration. In Jones's hands, the words can be adapted to reflect the meaning, not semantical accuracy. Sometimes, culturally, it doesn't translate for us, says Rydstrom. So the script process is trying to find a way of speaking, a vocabulary, a syntax, that works for an English audience, either finding colloquialisms or English-speaking vocabularies that get across Miyazaki's design. Some moments were easier to massage than others. In one scene, Hiro, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and his engineer co-worker, Hanjo, discuss the lag of Japanese industrialism. They relate their frustration to 
the uh, Achilles and the Hare, a paradoxical parable that Jones and Reitram were able to re- re- rewire into a mention of the tortoise and the hare while keeping the thematic re- resonance intact. That sounds so wrong to me. Yeah. To change a reference to a Japanese parable to be the tortoise and the hare just because, well, people will know what tortoise and the hare yeah. is. It, it would be like if they changed it to having it be like... Uh, than talking about like a famous episode of Friends. Yeah, exactly. It's like people will know that even more. It's like it's like do you remember the episode where uh, uh, Monica and uh, and uh, uh, Rachel had to switch apartments with Joey and Chandler. Right. So here, it, to me, it gets worse. He goes, <clears throat> more challenging was fi- finessing Euro's roman- romance with Nahoko, and played Emily Blunt. <laughs> who first meets the college-age lead character while fleeing a train accident during the 1923 Kanto earthquake. Later in life, the two connect and fall for each other. The duo wrestled with one of Miyazaki's original lines. Miyazaki's line was, I've loved you since the day you rescued my hat. When you hear that line, I've loved you since the day you rescued my hat, which is Miyazaki's original line, Mm -hmm. how does that read to you as an American? It makes sense. Not according to them. Jones found the line ambiguous. Had Hiro loved Nahoko for that many years? Is he projecting feelings he harbored for Nahoko's caretaker, the woman who actually returned his hat onto Nahoko? Because basically he handed the hat to the woman to give it Mm -hmm. to another. So it's like, okay. We talked it over because while culturally it might be romantic to a Japanese audience, I thought to an American audience it might be a a little creepy, admits Jones. Mm. Like what? But I understand the heart behind it. It was a matter of altering that line slightly to get what it really says, rather than a misinterpretation that American audience would put onto it. Jones ultimately changed the line to, I'm in love with you and nothing is going to stop me. That's very American. So he changed the line, which was, I've loved you since the day you rescued my hat, into, I'm in love with you and nothing is going going to to stop me. me. Because yeah. he thought, I've been, I've been in love with you since you, the day you rescued my hat is creepy, whereas <laughs> nothing is going to stop I'm me. in love with you and nothing is going to stop me is a little more American. Yeah. Why not change it to, I'm in love with you and I won't take no for an answer? Yeah, it, exactly. It's so messed up. I don't know up. why that is considered less creepy. Nothing is going to stop me. I would have uh, just changed it to that he opens his mouth and they just license... Like five seconds of "I will always love you" by Winnie Houston. Because audiences would under American audiences, audiences would know what that. that means exactly. Yeah, I mean, subs versus dubs. Um, I mean, I know there was a big uh, thing a few years ago with uh, "Let the Right One In," where there were uh, different subtitles for the initial home video release. Uh, yeah. Do you remember that? No, can I read you another one yeah, real yeah. quick? I'm sorry. I'm just reading this article and just seeing all... This is him in an article trying to give the best examples of the places where they improved it. So to me, yeah. that, that implies that there's there were all worse these... ones. Exactly. Jones found a similar problem with the later scene where Hiro tells Nahoko's father, Satomi, that he wishes to be with, her da- with his daughter, but not marry. Jones retraces his thinking. The literal Japanese translation is, please give us permission to date. That's not really romantic. But the subtitle you read in the subtitle version is, please give us permission. So we don't not quite know what he's talking about. So he changed it to, I love her very much and I sin- sincerely hope you'll approve, Mr. Satomi. And then Nahoko comes down and says, I also hope you'll approve. So it's putting it in the wheelhouse of an English audience, but also trying to maintain the formality. 
So they changed the line, which was, please give us permission to date, into, I love her very much and I sincerely hope you'll approve, Mr. Satomi. That, those aren't the same line. Uh, Isn't this insane? I wish they'd changed it to, uh, nothing's going to stop me. Uh, but you know what I mean? That's, and that's, the moment I read this, I was just like, no, I can never watch a subtitle version, or a dub version again. Or, or sub, so I'll stick away from the subtitle ones too. <clears throat> Imagine if someone took... Original language, that's the only way to go. Learn. I, honestly, it is. And imagine if someone took, like, something that you wrote. Mm. Oh, wow. And changed around the references, the parables that fit, fit things they knew more. And changed the words to be a, a, little, uh, a little less creepy. No, I wrote it to be creepy. I know. We've reached the point where you start getting sleepy after lunch. Do you take naps after lunch usually? I used to. Lately, not so much. Because for the last almost two months, month and a half, I guess, uh, I haven't had to do much daytime sleeping because I get full night's sleep every night. Look at you. Do you want to get your uh, power cord now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the best place to throw out this garbage? Um, let's just let's put it uh, put it in the lobby there because there's a place by the bathrooms that we have to throw it out. Out out past the door? No, just you can just put it somewhere nearby. Like the trash can by by the food trays? Or just leave, just you can leave it in here actually. Okay. We'll throw it out when we leave. Yeah. Uh, just so we don't forget, I'll, I'll uh, put it on the counters out here. Or we can go in the studio next. Yeah. Look, I'll go get my cord real quick. You talk for one minute. Okay. JD's talking for one minute. Um, walking to the studio now. Oh, we're having the wedding episode coming out. And we had a scenic painter paint us. These are bad. Oops. I just said that. Oops. <laughs> Oops, didn't mean to say that on this podcast. Um, I, uh, these just are a little too cartoony for me. But they're not done yet, so when they're done, they'll be better, I'm sure. Um, where can I plug all this stuff in? We can do it right here. Uh, we'll plug in up here at Murph's Bar. Anyways, we're here in the studio now. There's flats everywhere. for the wedding episode. Yeah. I feel bad I had... I walked in and I immediately criticized them and I was like, oh, I'm on a podcast. I was like, no, these need to be different. Um, They're works in progress, though. Yeah. They do not reflect the final version, I'm sure. It's funny how it's so cool in here. Like, the atmosphere in here is so nice. Uh, 
but also there's a part of me that's like, uh, oh, it's a mess. And I'm realizing, like, oh, no, it's not a mess. It's just like... This is what the set is? Yeah. Like, there's a part of it that feels like, oh, it's like... In, like Just because there's one area that's a workspace right now. Right. I sort of looked at the rest of it as if, like, yeah, they'll tidy all of this up. And then realizing, like, oh, no, this is how it is. Yeah, this is how most... I do like it so much, though. Um... You looking at uh We're just in the in the darkness behind the set. Yeah, we're behind the set where all the props are kept during the show. Yeah. Um Wiz Khalifa's number one again. Oh yeah? Uh every week. Is, I it, made, the same, I, is it the same song? Same song, yeah. Uh every week. This is something that a handful of listeners who attend... Oh, oh, wow. I didn't mean to do that. I thought you were playing a fun new game. No, I was trying to knock it out so I could grab it, but now it's stuck up there. I bet we can get it out. I bet I can. I bet I can jump and get it. Um, JD knocked a... Uh... Oh, you right? Yeah. It's just key tascals. It's fine. Uh, let's just, I'm sure we can find a long thing that... This is a bad... This is a bad that was a bad decision by JD. Is this still working? I'll have to listen to the audio. You're tall enough that with this, you can get that ball I out of the net. I could jump and get that, I guarantee I know you could, but... Not with a lava on. Oh, JD, you just keep playing a more advanced game. Oh. Um, the Every week before I do the warm-up, I, I set a challenge to the LLC when I was trying to... Th well, originally, before I realized that the live stream would involve the same copyright right. rules, um, I... Uh, I was thinking of all the fun songs that the LLC that we could do. I'm going to get my headphones while you talk. To warm up the audience. and uh, But then when we realized that, no, that was all going to be live streamed, so we can't do anything we don't have the rights to do. And so I set a challenge to the LLC where I said, how about right before the live stream goes, when it's just the people in the room, how about if we perform for the audience whatever the number one song is in the country? And so uh, it didn't occur to me at the time. I was thinking, like, wouldn't that be hilarious? Every week we have to learn whatever the number one song is. But with the exception of the second week when Taylor Swift jumped to number one with Bad Blood, the other three weeks have been Wiz Khalifa. And now the fifth week is also going to be Wiz Khalifa with See You Again, the song uh, by Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth. How does that song go? Uh, it's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it oh, when right. I see you again. And then it gets, then with Khalifa comes in with the, damn, who knew all the planes we flew, good things we've been through. Uh, yeah, and you know the song. Yeah. Well, because I've performed it three yeah, of the four exactly. weeks. Um, and now we'll perform it again on. Uh, but last week was the most fun, I think, because uh, we, do, we do the song straight and then we go into a sea shanty uh, version of it, which is a lot of fun. Really? Yeah. See, I never get to hear this. Uh, yeah, they started playing like a sea shanty thing. And I was like, let's just do the song like that. Right. And uh, it's just, it sounds like if the Pogues were to cover it. Because it's like, it's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. I love that. Uh, 
It was the most fun. And I think we're going to keep trying weird ways of melting it if we keep having to do the same song. Although I think it'll be irresistible to try to at least repeat the sea shanty once. Um, but I, would, I wouldn't mind if another song got to be number one at some point this summer. Uh, so, 12 heads. Yeah. Start, start listening start, to... Start, start buying get, singles. And I think I get radio plays, right? I don't know how it works, but I think downloading singles also helps, right? On yeah, iTunes. I, don't, I don't know how the billboard charts work. Though. Oh, yeah, I don't know how it works now, because it used to be sales drove, radio play drove, whatever, but people don't really buy singles now except as downloads. Right. Um, start buying those singles. Yeah. Um, get, uh, get the mini-disc players full get, of the singles. Get your digital audio tape collections built up, you know? Right. Um... I wonder uh, should we talk about Comic-Con? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, we don't know just about how much fun it is? Yeah. All right. I didn't know we can talk about how much fun Comic-Con Which is. Which aspect of Comic-Con do you want to talk about? Just about how you're excited for all the Star Wars stuff? I guess, yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, right now, J.D. and I are just playing with the tennis ball. I think, depending on when I get this out, that'll be something we'd be okay to talk about. Well, you said you were going to get it out by DCM. This is for people waiting in line at the Del Close Marathon, but yeah. I don't think there's any chance of that happening. There should be certain events announced at some point. Um, yeah, DC. Oh, that's... Oh, man, we should start off the podcast by saying that. Uh, I will, DCM line waiters should go to Terry Withers Mysteries... On uh, Saturday, Saturday night, 9.30. 9.45 it starts, but oh, really? you want to be in line way earlier. Wait, oh wait, is it 9.30? It's 9.45, I was mistaken, I thought it was 9.30. Okay. It's 9.45 through 10.30. Come to the Terry Withers Mysteries, um, and at the door, say, 12-hour day, won't get you anything. But you'll feel good that you did it. You'll feel good that you did it. And I think we can track it. If we get enough people saying that, then maybe next year, 12-hour day, we'll get a 12-hour slot at DCM. Yeah, exactly. Well, we um, do have the best slot at DCM. We do. We should talk about DCM because I bet people are listening to this in line. Yeah. What hour is this, I wonder? There's also the possibility. What possi- time is it? Right now it's uh, 4.48. So we're about closing on five hours. What time do we start? We start at like noon, right? I think after that, afternoon. Right. So 4.45. Yeah, we're getting close to five hours. Yeah. Um, so we, it, should it, tell, I, we should tell people JD, fast. There, there, I'll say this. There's almost no chance you're going to get this out in time for DCM. It's impossible. You said you, you, you said you were going to tell me when you tried to use that tactic. Not using a tactic. I genuinely can't believe, don't believe you can do it. I don't think you have the time. Uh, and just based on past metrics, it always takes a little bit longer than you're, you hope. Well, here's the thing. Is it actually doesn't take that long in terms of, you know, like time square footage. Yeah. What it takes, though, is that I can't be interrupted for that. For, for lunch, JD? Two hours. JD, if you had lunch? Well, it's, it's basically a two-hour process that I can't stop because the files are so large and unruly that I can't really save a project file. Uh-huh. The files were corrupt and not open. So I ha- the moment I start, I have to see it through to the end. So is that's why point, it's like... Is that. there a point during the show week where you could carve out a two-hour thing where you're doing something else at the same time that you could say, I can't be interrupted, it's show business... It's related to the Gethard Show, and while you're doing it with one hand, you're with the other hand, you're working on 12-hour day. Uh, yeah, maybe on Friday, drawing all my, all my, I'm on, I have like 
three or four hours of back-to-back conference calls. But that's too that late, though. Friday, DCM's already in motion. It can't be Friday. Okay, fine. Right? I mean, I'd have to do it, like, tonight or tomorrow, then. Oh. Because we have, you... like, I don't know, a big episode this week. <laughs> but, hey, I know when. I know when you can do it. When's that? Because this week's episode tapes early, right? Oh, yeah. So you, two hours that you would normally be spending in the evening. You, you get two hours. Uh, Oopsies. That's not at some point. Uh, the ball went heading towards some paint cans in what could have been a real Rube Goldberg type situation. It could have been. Um, by the way, uh, just as a just as a note of how uh, I don't know whether this is a constructive note or at all or helpful, but I only know that the taping is early this week because uh, Shannon mentioned it to me. Oh, there should be a call sheet. That should, you should have known that. Yeah, nobody told me. I think you might be one of those weird people that, like, I'm outside the isn't crew and isn't cast. Yeah, because uh, I still wasn't sure it was true. I was just like... You have a shoot on Monday, though, don't you? I have a shoot on Monday. Yeah. I don't know when. Yeah. Uh, the, you're I don't know very what, popular. And I don't know what it is. Yeah. No, no one will tell me. You're very popular, Connor. Thank you. Um... No, because on Tuesday, the only reason I know is because the stepfathers, ha- it's weekend team herald night on Tuesday because it's DCM week when all the weekend right. teams do herald night. And I was like, Shannon, I don't think there's any way we're going to make it because we're up at, I was like, we're up at 9.15. I'm like, even if we were the last ones, we won't be out in time. Right. And she was like, oh, I think it's going to happen early. Right. And I was like, I didn't know that. Yeah, because Will has to be on a flight. Uh, do you think there's going to be a bunch of people tuning into the live stream on uh, Tuesday night and being like, what's happening? No, but I think we could get a lot of people tuning in from work to watch it on Ooh. Tuesday. Um, I don't know how. Like, I'm excited because I feel like our Saturday Night DCM audience for Terry Withers Mysteries um, will largely be seeing it for the first time. I think almost the whole audience will be people who have never seen it before. I think there'll be a few of the diehard Terry but, heads. <laughs> maybe, but it's hard to get in. Like, I, I mean, I think there'll be people that will go, that's a show I have to see. Yeah. And then they will wait in the, like, for, like, the four hours and I don't line. know how, like, I genuinely, like, I feel lucky at this point that I'm, like, I had one Delta, I mean, we should say the Delta Close Marathon, for people who don't know what it is. Yeah. Once every year at, uh, in New York City, UCB has a, basically a 48-hour long uh, improv festival which has ballooned to, it's an enormous thing. It's on nine stages, and basically, starting on Friday evening, nonstop improv shows. Uh, some are 30 minutes, some are 10 minutes, some are an hour. Uh, all kinds of like big stars come back into town, people who made their bones at the theater, who now are on big shows, come back and do like special shows that are special tickets. Uh, usually in the big special shows for TV, uh, stars are usually in venues that are way bigger than anyone wants them to be just because there's so much demand. And no one, those shows are usually, the performers do not like doing those shows. I think all the performers, like, they want to perform at, at Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is if you do a show where it's like, hey, stars of hit TV show are starring in this show, uh, it, it, like, it's sort of... They have to do them just to meet, just so they don't end up with like a thousand disappointed people. They kind of have to say like, let's put them in the big theater. Uh, And the Gethard show in past years has always done a DCM show, but because we're in the middle of making a real show, uh, the Gethard show is the one show that has consistently, the past couple of years, gotten a big space and then realized like, 
oh, we can't do uh, we can't do a satisfying regular show in here, so let's just transform this big auditorium into a funhouse. And we became we were the bane of that festival organizer's existence. Really? Like our our last show was our was last the Game show of Thrones was one? the Game of Thrones one, where different areas of the entire this nice theater were turned into like the areas that each character from the show represented yeah. and they did battle and we broke all these fire code rules and there was people chanting and throwing stuff and I kept being asked to get down off of stuff yeah and then the when before we just created tents and walls and basically made I just gave out actually that was the one where the security remember the security guards got really into the kefir yeah uh, that was the year where I had the big problem with Lifeway Kefir sent all this free stuff and the uh, delivery service uh, didn't deliver the kefir. Right. And they were like, oh, we'll re-deliver it on Monday. I was just like, they hadn't actually even attempted to take it out of the truck. Right. And that was when I basically blackmailed them in the or I threatened them. Basically, I was on the phone with the delivery company. I think it was, it might have been FedEx. I can't remember if it was FedEx, maybe. But I was like, look, I'm getting ready to do a comedy show tonight in New York City. And if I don't have my package... I will have nothing to talk about except the fact that your delivery service failed me. And I said, I just don't want to have to do that. And I could tell that that what was a not a threat. Man. That was not a threat that they were used to, but it was right. immediately got results, which was like the idea that potentially in this era of viral videos and stuff like that, that this would be the thing that was discussed. That this was that there would be a comedy show in New York City. That just does sound like it's just like could be nothing, could be something. Uh, yeah. You know, like could be a PR nightmare. L uh, New York comedian doesn't get package delivered in time. Right. Does an hour of uh, you know it could be like. I mean, I don't think anything I would have done about it would have been that funny to catch on, but um, it worked. Uh, but the security guards had big problems. Up until the point where they realized that we had a cooler full of uh, frozen kefir snacks. Yeah. And they just, I, as soon as I was like, yeah, you can take whatever you want, they just sort of fill it. One guy filled up his whole duffel bag with free Lifeway kefir things. Yeah, because that's like probably one of the one benefits of like working security at events is like you get a free thing or two every now and then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Delquist Marathon and Terry Withers Mysteries has a great slot. It's amazing to me to think about the fact that, I mean, I don't know. I had one DCM. The first one was the only one where I watched it like as an obsessive improv fan, where like I was working full days. Right. And then spending every hour that I wasn't at work for two days. Uh, like I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday. When I wasn't at work, I was at the theater. Right. And I stayed up almost all of uh, Saturday night watching improv shows. And I was just dead by Sunday night. It was horrible. But it was also great. But I, I don't think, think I could... I think our DCM was the first. Oh, no, you were one year before me, I think. Uh, I think we started this. I started August 2009. Yeah, and that would have been right after the DCM in, in June of that year or July. No, that, that year was DCM August was in August. Yeah. That was your first one? Yeah. Your first August? DCM was about two or three weeks after my first one-on-one Class okay, started. Then, then we had the same first one. So between like class three and four, I just saw DCM and got sucked in. Yeah. And that's where me and Phil and Scott became friends. And I don't think I could have done another one as just uh, an observer like that. I think that yeah. I would have been one and done if it was just that. But then the second year, Secret Man Group had a slot at like 5 a.m. on a Sunday. And Terry was our coach. Terry Withers right. was our coach. 
and we he had actually quit being our coach a few months earlier because of schedule things. And then when we got in, we begged him to coach us just for a month just to get us in shape for DCM. Right. So you thought you had to invent this new form and do all yeah, this. Yeah, well, we had applied with a new form, but we just, the feeling was that it would have mattered. I think you've told this story many times. Yeah. Um, and then the next year I was on the Herald team, and then the year after that I was on Stepfathers. And then, uh, like, I'm in, I'm in, I think, 15 shows this weekend. Or the, really? For DCM. I mean, 15 shows. Uh, and there are people who are in more, but a lot of those are, I think, like, hefty shows where it's like uh, Stepfathers or Sabonis or, you know, yeah. like where it's like a... In past, there was a year where I think I was, one of the, I was in one of the most amount of shows yeah. of a performer. But um, since I have not done, like, real improv in, like, two years, I no longer... Yeah, you're not, like, skirting around with your indie teams anymore. Right, I don't have, like, jump on three, my Herald team, yeah. my two-prov team, my three-prov team. Are you... Is Phil in town? Yeah. Uh, are you doing any shows with him? Nope, none no? of them got in. None of them got in? Jump on three, swag... And Pinot Grigio, none of them got in. Oh, man. But that's okay. I have enough. You have a lot going on. I have enough going on. Um, I'm trying to think, what are the, my big shows are Terry Withers. The show that I like doing a lot is the, uh, I do a late night show called Perfect Suggestion that I've done. This will be the third year. Where basically, it's a bit that I started and I built it for Rocks, the Herald team. uh Uh-huh. Because we, one of our famous things is we would come out and we would, it would take like five minutes before we started the show because we had a choreographed dance that would come out and do to the song. And then we had basically a whole scripted intro of like, hi, we're rocks. Before we get started, can we get our patented rocks rooster call? And then the whole audience would go, rrr, rrr, rrr. and then Matt Klein would go, rrr, rrr, rrr. and then he'd go, fuck, I wolfed every time. And then, um, someone would present a rock, and Kleiman would give a little detail about um, the information about that mineral or rock. Of, oh, this is sedimentary rock. It came from New Mexico, da-da-da. And then we would have everyone raise their hand, and we'd give the rock to one person. And whoever gave it to, they got, gave us the suggestion. Uh-huh. And then the suggestions were often elaborate, and then we'd get started. It was like a five-minute thing. And at one point, Nate Dern even told us, like, do not change that intro. That is one of the best things. Um, so then I created this show called The Perfect Suggestion, which was, you know, a lot of improv groups just take the first suggestion. We want the perfect one. So we have a, a patented process that will get the perfect suggestion. So basically, all it is is me with rocks. And it's like, great, can we get a suggestion of anything at all? All right. Um, animal. All right. Uh, ma'am, you right there. The word animal, what does that make you think of? Uh, rabbit. Okay, rabbit. Sir, right next to her, um, what is the sound a rabbit makes? And he'd be like, like, Rrr. it's like, okay, how many syllables are on the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, five, one, two, three, four, five, you, um, open up your wallet. How much money do you have in your wallet? Uh, $50. Okay, you, sir, at the count of 50, you're going to say the first number that popped in your head, and then we go, 50, 49, 48, and it's like, we just keep that going yeah. for like... That's great. When is it? Uh, it's like 3 a.m. or something like that. 
And last last year was super fun. It's like it's basically just like me and the rest of Rocks running around shouting at people, having them do all these things. Which uh, we should say, 3 a.m. to someone who doesn't know what the DC Adele Plus Marathon is, 3 a.m. might sound like, oh, what a terrible time slot. 3 a.m. is actually a great time slot, uh, much better than 3 p.m. Exactly. Uh, there are times in the thing that sound like, oh, that'd be a reasonable thing. But it's like, oh, two in the afternoon, everyone's exhausted, sleeping off the night before. Whereas a 4 a.m. slot is much better than maybe a 6 a.m. slot. Right. Uh, because there might be a theater cleaning at 5.30 a.m., which everyone takes as an opportunity to go home. Exactly. No. Um, Where, which theater is it at? You know? I think it's at the Beast this year. That's great. It was at Chelsea last year. Uh, uh, and one of, one of the greatest comments I had was, so last year I had that show, and then right, uh, it, it, um, 15 minutes sound of movement, then Don did his one-man sound of movement. Yeah. And then it, uh, it was Perfect Suggestion, I think, was right after that. Yeah. And then after that was Big Sloppy Naturals. Yeah, which we're doing again this year. We're doing again this year. And so, like, during Perfect Suggestion, I sort of, like, run the show, and I'm the one shouting around. And a lot of it is, like, drunk audience members and me just, like, trying to make fools of them. Like, yeah. Like, making them do ridiculous stuff and all stuff. And it's, it's that very aggressive version of me that's, like, Jumping into the audience and making people do stuff and counting down stuff and yeah and then big sloppy naturals was large amount of the Gethard show cast and anyone around doing whippets yeah and then Connor and I emceeing this MC'ing. is based on this is based on a thing that happened at South by Southwest the previous spring which was that uh, all of the Gethard show people that there decided to do whippets in the front lawn of the house that was rented for all of us and. JD and I were two of the people who abstained from it, but we uh, sort of uh, run the sh- we sort of ran the show at DCM. We were just like, well, I were you the one- did you choreograph the dance with me? Yeah. So we choreographed this dance for the whole cast to do for. We got to remember what that dance is, right? Whose birthday was it? Oh, I can't remember. Jersey oh, Dave's. Was it Jersey Dave's? Yeah. For oh, Jersey Dave's birthday. Was it also hot dogs? Or maybe it was hot dogs. I don't know. It was someone's birthday. So yeah. we did a whole, I, I choreographed a whole dance with Connor, with the whole cast. Yeah. So then Big Sloppy Natural was supposed to be at DCM, all those same people do whippets, and then Connor and I MC and chore, make them do a choreographed dance. Yeah. What it turned into was they did whippets, a song went on, and then we just started shouting instructions at them. And then at a certain point, it just became Connor and I making fun of all the people that were, like, doing whippets on stage. Yeah. And I, and I was sort of mad because, like, Shannon's... In the past, she, is, she maybe overindulges uh-huh. at, uh, at the DCM, and when sh- that version of Shannon becomes very chaotic and very, uh-huh. like, she causes trouble. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of that was me being like, all right, Shannon. So then I just, like, laid into everyone and sort of, like... It was you and I on the stage just, like, making fun of everybody. I have a feeling that this year our big sloppy natural thing, because I really don't have almost no memory of the specifics of what happened in that show. Like, if you told me to describe what happened, I probably wouldn't have been able to say any of what you just said. But so the thing that I'm most proud of is Griffin Newman told me, there's a guy from L.A., uh, I forget his name, his name's not important, um, but he was standing next to Griffin, and I guess he's a guy that, like, is, like, sort of well-known in the L.A. world or, quote-unquote, successful or whatever. And apparently he leaned over Griffin. He's like, he's like, you know, they say there's a big difference between, like, L.A. and New York. And he's like, 
He's like, the reason that like New York is always going to be like edgier and like stuff like that is because like L.A. doesn't have guys like that. He's like, he's like, guys like that are why New York is special. And Griffin said he was like pointing to me, and he was like, he's like, he's like, he's like I've been watching that guy all night, and like, there's <laughs> no one like that in L.A. Not yet. Well, no. But like, just that mentality. It's like New York is a place where people just like, yeah. There's a certain level of like aggression and mayhem and mischief that like. Yeah. L.A. isn't conducive to. And that was like, when Griffin told me that, I was like, yes, that's all I've ever wanted was to be that guy that just like, all right. Mr. New York. Exactly. Um, I have a feeling that this year's Big Sloppy Naturals is going to be a mixture of uh, whatever you and I are feeling mixed with our Terry Withers Mysteries intro, mixed with the warm-up here. Like, I feel like it's just going to be a collage of of, uh, whatever... We're working through at the moment. Yeah. Because uh, it's also, yeah, that will be interesting. Um, and then I'm trying to think of any other shows that I have. Well, I have, I have, I use that DCM app. Oh, is that, is that auto update from the previous one? Uh, I think so. I, I think it, you have to update it now, but it, it updated this week. Uh, and then I went in and just saved all the shows I'm in so I could keep track of them. Right. Um, Wait, let me see if it updates, if I have it. Wait, where do you download it? I just From the App Store? App Store, yeah. I'll download it right now so I can see what shows I have. Um, I'll let you do that while, you're, while I'm standing here. But what's really satisfying to me to think about is when I think back to, when I think of the time slot we've got, it's basically the Ruru slot from a few years ago. Like, it's the slot that during DCM, Ruru would have had their regular slot and uh, that, I mean, it really is like right in the heart of the middle of the marathon that we've got Terry Withers there. And it's so satisfying to think of, of how my first DCM performing experience was rooted, in, uh, was rooted in Terry coaching us and preparing us for it. Right. And now to think of like a few years later that we have a show feature like centered around Terry that is in this prime spot because like Terry's a guy who uh probably should have made it to the weekend and for some weird reason like he's like the maybe one of the best examples of like a guy that's like why is this guy not on the weekend yeah uh there's all these weekend teams and there are people on the weekend teams who are great but there's people on the weekend teams who are uh much like newer to it than Terry uh who had a much like short? I mean, I'm an example of one. Like, I'm someone who started out, and when I was my first Herald night, I saw Terry and Robert Baron, I think, and right. I was like, this guy is a superstar. Like, he would, right. I would have associated Terry with like Gabris or any of those other guys that were like, those are the hot dogs at Herald night. You know, like, yeah, those exactly. are the people that when you see like, uh, like Sue Galloway or, you know, just any. Thomas Middle Ditch. Yeah, you just see him, you'd be like, that's, this guy's gonna be, have his own show, you know? Uh, and well, we're gonna make that true for Terry. And there was a point, like there was a point about like spring of 2014 when Terry and I would go to lunch every day, where Terry was like about to take a job working, I think, for like a bank or something. And Terry was just like, he'd been doing his short form shows, and he was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like he was just like frustrated comedically. Right. And the idea that we've put him into a spot where like he has the thing that. Everyone's excited about for the right reasons. Right. Like that it's been built 
just t- t- for us to build this thing for talented people, you know? Right. That's a really satisfying thing. I'm so excited about the, the like, because uh, I think a lot of the people, like, we'll get the, I put in for, like, Cottonar and Orlando because I knew that they would want to yeah. get in. I put them in for a couple of our uh, reserved seats since I knew yeah. they'd be going to the marathon anyway and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I don't know how I would navigate now getting into shows if I was just trying to get in. Because I'm already a little bit like, uh, it's so big now that even when I read the instructions about, like, you can get in with your performer pass, but you cannot skip the line. You can't, you know, it, right. it feels like, well, how would I get into anything? It feels like everything's, I don't have time to wait all day Yeah. Uh, to get into things. It's so popular now that it feels like, I wouldn't be able to handle going to it now as a 39-year-old man the same way that, like, I don't go to outdoor music festivals. Like, it's just like, yeah. no, nope, not for me. I'm going back to my apartment. I Yeah, I also feel... It's okay. Wait, did you just take that off? I didn't take it off. Huh. That's weird that it's off. Yeah. We should... Uh, say what we're talking about. It sounds like I took off my pants, JD. No, you didn't. Wait, did it roll under? No, I got the ball. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. I thought you were just taking care with the thing that came off. No, I thought you no. lost the ball under the set. No, no, not at all. I thought you were just like, when the thing fell off. No, I just didn't realize it was off. It's the... We're now... I just got an email while we were throwing it that... That we're allowed to say it? No, not allowed to say it, but we'll allowed be allowed to show it. Ooh, but we're never allowed to say it? Uh, not yet. Okay. I mean, it's out there, but I just don't want to turn into a thing yet. I don't think if it was going to turn into a thing, it would be off of hour five of our podcast. It could. We got some pretty ardent... Like your team? Is your team listening? No, pretty ardent 12 heads. Yeah. Uh, but they've read the articles. They know what's what. Yeah, we're talking about the pieces of Letterman set that may or may not be... Anywhere? Anywhere that our tennis ball may or may not have just rolled under. Um... Uh, speaking in code, yeah. what uh, what was the like? As I, I had known from you that there was one area of approval for this to happen. Uh, there's a couple through. that I can't really talk about. There's just a number of layers that have to be yes. jumped through, right? Hoops. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. the hoops that you would probably imagine. Yeah. To make sure my mic is still working. Uh, that you'd probably imagine with something like this, but. Um, now they just have to be adhered to. It's a complicated world, isn't it, JD? Oh, you have no idea. I, I truly don't. I truly don't. Other than knowing that it's a complicated world, I... I mean, this is the thing. The I'm amount in... of phone calls that I had to be on with Disney this week were ridiculous. When you wish upon a star... Yeah, I, w- I wish that's what it was. Um, when you want a Disney star... Um, I, it's amazing, uh, no, but as I said before, it is funny to find myself in the position, I know we veered off into how much I would have hated being a Disney animator, Right. but it is amazing because I didn't realize it until long after it had been set that I was going to be the warm-up comic, that I was like, I think it was the second week of the show that I was like, oh, in a weird way I work for Disney now. Yes. Uh... The Trail of Money leads, leads trail to the of House, mo- of I mean, Money, House of Mouse. The House of Mouse. Um, you, you're on a I can check show. it off my. I can check it off my list. Yeah. 
Um, Although it'll be a while before your check, you can find a check that has the word Disney anywhere on it. Yeah. How long you think? Well, I mean, just like the paper trail does not. Hit. There's enough paper between you and the word Disney still. Yeah, that they have plausible deniability. <laughs> exactly. Um, I bet we can get the Terry Withers mysteries on the Disney Channel. I highly doubt that. You don't think so? If we moused it up? I don't think we're going to get the... If we moused it up a little? It would have to be like a live studio show. Like, you know, like a multi-camp like a Mickey Mouse club? style. Yeah. No, like all their shows now are like Zoe 101 and Crash Labs and things like whatever, whatever it's called. Tony Fingers. <laughs> no. I guarantee you Tony Fingers. Um... Tony Fingers is a good character. I know we invented it as a Muppet, but I feel like Tony Fingers uh, would be a great... A puppet designer would love to design that puppet. You'd have uh, to- except for the fact that you've also tasked with having to create thousands of other puppets. Well, that's what... You don't need that many more puppets on the Tony Fingers show because Tony Fingers himself is a cast of dozens. You basically have... I like the idea, too, that now you're like, wait, wait, this isn't a Muppet. This is my character now. Yeah, well, that's the way it works. When you invent a Muppet and they don't let you make it be a real Muppet, then you get to keep it. I also like that it's like them not letting you. is like the two them hours just... that have passed where nothing's happened with that. It's like now you're like, well, they, like... they turned it down. They you're had a the chance. But I know they wouldn't accept that. There's no way that the current Muppet people would accept Tony Fingers as a character. Yeah. But they should. I think Jim Henson would have. If Jim Henson was still around, I bet you pitched Tony Fingers to him, and he's like, what do you pretty think, funny. What do you think he would have been up to right now? Um, I don't know. I feel like he was definitely, at the, at the end, he was veering towards liking a lot of, like, motion capture. Like, like uh, not motion capture, but, like, he loved having, like, the Muppets be able to look like they're dancing or walking around right. by using those effects. So I feel like motion capture might have been something that he might have gotten into blending. I feel like there would have been a lot of blending. Um, Muppety type things, physical things with digital things. I would have been, I think there would have been new characters though. Oh yeah. Like there would have been the same way that like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth had their own characters and Muppet Babies had their own world yeah. and like Sesame Street was different than the Muppet Show. Like he would have created some sort of digital thing that was like different. Yeah. And I think he would have embraced internet stuff real early. Yeah. Um I think, I, mean, he, I think right now he'd be working on another high fantasy thing, though. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, I think with, with all the possibilities that films like Lord of the Rings kind of opened up for fantasy, Yeah. Um, I could easily imagine what he would have done something really cool. I agree. Um, and he also probably would have done some stuff that, that would have been like, yeah, I admire it, because I feel like there are some handsome things that are like that where it's like, I admire it, but it's not the thing that obsesses me the same way. Like Storyteller? I, yeah, I like Storyteller a lot. I really do. Although I haven't seen all of them. I didn't see them, a lot of the Michael Gambon ones where right. they were like the Greek myths. I haven't seen any of those, I don't think. Are those good? Uh, yeah, they are. It's, it's sort of that same fantasy vibe, though, of like slightly unapproachable but good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would have been always longing, kind of in the same way that no matter what Elvis Costello does, there's always... Uh, I always wanted to return to just doing like some good, catchy kind of pop rock songs. Right. Even though I respect and enjoy and appreciate all the variety of stuff, I feel like there's also the part of me that would be like, I want some more funny stuff from Jim Henson. So and I don't. I don't know if that's where his energy was going to continue going. Here's a question. Yeah. What's your least favorite thing Jim Henson ever did? Well, 
Uh, confession. I don't know if I've confessed it before. I probably have, but I haven't seen Dark Crystal. Oh, really? I haven't seen it. It just ne it wasn't in my... When it came out, I was too young, I think, to really fully associate it as like, I knew Jim Henson had done it, but I was like, that looks terrifying. Because I was probably... When did that come out? What year? 80... Uh, 81, 80? Something. Something like that? Really? I thought it was like 86. No, Labyrinth was out by like 85, wasn't it? Uh, I think you're early. Let me see. Dark Chris. When you wish upon my face. Um, but I get the impression that you were not really a fantasy person growing up either. I mean, it depends. I liked a lot of things. 82, that, you're right. 82, so I would have been seven. Right. And I think at that point I was like, looks scary. Right. Like, it, it looked to me like, and I liked other things that were sort of in that, it, it has that same vibe that a lot of late 70s stuff has, like a lot of late 70s, like future animation, like, uh. The Hobbit TV special or the Lord of the Rings movie or right. um, Last Unicorn. Like, I don't know, it was a little bit later in the 80s. Um, but, like, they had kind of a weird vibe Yeah, that was dangerous. Uh, so I keep meaning to see it. I should see it. I'll probably love it now. It's great. Um, my least favorite Henson thing. Um, oh. Name some stuff. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm less encyclopedic about Henson uh, than you are or Kottnar is. Um, Let's see. I would say Muppet Babies might be up there for me. I would say... Well, I, I liked Muppet Babies a lot, but I was also... I don't know what age you would have been watching Muppet Babies. Because by the time you wouldn't have watched it, it would have been an older show, right? Right. You were, like, I watched it as it was a new show, and it, I was at the age where it was, like, pitched at. Yeah. Whereas by the time you would have been exploring it, it would have been a show that was several years old. I don't know what age you would have been, but I don't know if that makes a difference. But um, Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I think it was on since I was young. Yeah. Because I think cartoons have a half-life that's different than other shows. Yeah. Um, for me, Muppet Babies was always a little bit... Um, I enjoyed the show, but there was an element of wishing for me because I thought the Muppet Baby sequence in Muppets Take Manhattan and then the Muppet Baby sequence in The Muppet Family Christmas, I loved those puppets of the Muppet Babies. Right. And to me, the animated versions of them were less satisfying than... I wanted to see a puppet Muppet show with right. those Muppet Babies. Uh, and that obviously would have been a, a more constricting show because... Now, when I think about it logically, I'm like, oh, yeah, they can tell, they can have more actual adventures as animated characters than as little baby puppets that can barely walk around. Right. Uh, so it makes sense from a, a storytelling freedom point of view why they do it. But I never, there was part of what I liked and disliked about the Muppet Babies was that I wanted to be watching another Muppet show with puppets. Right. And the I would watch it and get excited for the times when they would show clips from. From movies? Yeah. Yeah, I always do things it was, where it's like, what do you think I'm going to be like when I grow up? And it would be like, do 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 And it would like be Indiana a Jones clip. Or, yeah. or they'd use Indiana Jones, but it would also be clips of... Oopsies, not actor. Clips of them as older Muppets? Yeah. 
They would do that a lot. Um, it also was like that was sort of an era of Saturday morning cartoons where Muppet Babies felt like the kind of show that was taking some risks. Right. Like using footage from live action movies felt kind of daring. It felt like they were breaking the form. Same as Pee Wee's Playhouse felt like it was breaking the form. Same as, uh, did you ever watch Mighty Mouse The New Adventures? No. Mighty Mouse The New Adventures. You've talked about it, though, how basically it was like drawn much less, with yeah, much less it, it was accuracy. Like and the, guy, the guy who, uh, John Crixfaluzzi, who did created Ren and Simbi, he started out working on Mighty Mouse The New Adventures. Right. It was very much that's kind of like they were daring. And then that reverend got it canceled, Reverend Donald Wildman. Right. Uh, one of the first instances where you would find a very angry young Connor Ratliff, like, outraged. I think my politics, my liberal left-wing Democratic Party politics, largely stem from moments like that. Like, those were the moments where I remember as a kid being like, some reverend misinterpreting a Mighty Mouse cartoon right. got my show taken off the air. And then I would read Bible stories and be like, this book makes no sense. Uh, yeah. I, you could just feel, I can think back and feel like, oh, that's where my whole, like, outlook of the world was formed, was in those moments where I was like, wait a second, what have you done with your life other than ruin my television show? Well, that's thing that's interesting. I was at my cousin's wedding, and uh, the priest overseeing it sort of had a couple, made a couple comments that were, like, good comments, but were, he got into things about, like, promiscuity and having children stuff like that where I'm like man I was on board with everything the moment you got into like yeah some weird sort of like moral stuff yeah was when it was like oh you're uh, you've uh, you've lost me here yeah you've lost me on some of the like taste things that you're like and, and keep in mind we all believe this right and it was like no that's uh, yeah that you had me in all the nice stuff up until you started judging other people. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem that I have with a lot of religious issues is that a lot of the nice stuff shows up in other places, too. So once you start getting into the stuff, you're like, wait a second, don't talk about my friends that way. Or, you know, yeah. there are certain areas where you're like, all right, well, I'm out. I can't be part of this. Exactly. And also, I find it weird. I've talked to people who don't think this is weird. And I'm always like, what's your, like, where, when you bring up something where it's like, uh, well, I believe in this part of the religion, but I don't believe in that part of the religion. Right. Then I'm like, well, is that really how it works? Like, is that going to be okay? Right. Where it's sort of like if, like if you decide, well, I'm going to obey all the laws about uh, investment banking, but I'm, and I'm going to obey the murder laws, uh, but I'm not going to obey the laws about uh, stealing cars. Right. If you then go to the legal system and say, like, I stole a bunch of cars, but I didn't murder anybody, I didn't, uh, and I didn't uh, violate anything with the Securities and Exchange uh, Commission or anything like that, they would just say, well, it doesn't matter because you, you've been stealing cars. That's enough. You're, you've violated our legal system. Right. It's amazing to me how many religions where they have, like, pretty clear rules where it's like, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can never do this, you can never do this. And then people are like, well, I agree with the first three. I don't agree with the fourth one but I'm still a member of this thing. To me, it always feels like, it right. seems like if your system is set up where you have like a God who made these rules, who created the universe and says you have to obey all of these, that just because a thousand years pass and you think, and you think well, we don't have to obey 
that's part of the old culture. Like the book still says, like you have your period, you got to sacrifice a bird. Right. Nobody's doing that anymore. But we still, they didn't change the book. The same Bible is in all the churches. It still says if you have your period, you got to sacrifice a couple of birds. Every time. You got to do it. Right. And if you sit on a couch while you got your period, that couch is not clean. You got to, you know, there's all these things you got to do. And at some point, everybody just agreed, like, yeah, we don't have to do those things anymore. And it seems like there should have been a bigger meeting to really discuss, like, wait a second, do we get Which to make these things? Yeah. Do we get to make these calls? And if we don't, then wait a second, does this system even make any sense? Should we just make up a new system since we're all agreeing to trash like a significant percentage of this as antiquated? Right. Uh, I just can't understand it. To me, the second I realized I was out, I was like, oh, a ton of this stuff doesn't make any sense to me. I like the general morality of being kind to other people and not killing people, not doing this, not doing that. But I also don't think that a man with crushed testicles can't go worship in a church. Right. Even though the book says a man with, uh, some translations say imperfect testicles, some uh, versions say crushed stones. Either way, I'm not on board with it. I feel like yeah. if your testicles are damaged, I think, if anything, you need probably more mercy, right? Yeah. Like, that's the person you should be like, yeah, come to the church and pray all you want. It's horrible that you had an industrial accident. But I'm amazed how many people feel like they can be, I guess cafeteria Catholic is the term that I first yeah. came to associate with that. It seems more brazen than not believing to me. It seems more brazen to be like, I believe in some of it and I identify as a member of this religion. It feels like you'd almost be, be a more respectable bet to say, like, yeah, I'm not really part of it. I, I dig part of it, but I'm not, I'm not in it. Well, to me, it's like, uh, I, I'm a member of Costco, but I don't, I don't want to pay. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, then you don't get anything out of it. Yeah. Uh, well, to me, it should be like that, where it's like, no, no, no. If you're going you're gonna to support this thing... And you have to take the good and the bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I do have, on, on a weird level, more respect for uh, people who are totally fundamentalists just in the, for the consistency of it. Well, it uh, just seems like, oh, you don't get it in yeah. a bigger picture. Yeah. Whereas people that like pick and choose, it's like, so you know that's bad, but you're supporting this thing. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like any person, right? It's like, they're a good person. Yeah, sure, they murdered a few people, but it's a good person inside. It's like, how do you separate? Everything's good if you don't look at the bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not a bad thing, but when you're looking at religion, which has persecuted people for those things. I, if you, I probably already told my last Temptation of Christ story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go back, check a previous episode for that one. Yeah. Right, I feel well, like we've, I've been, me personally, I've been, I've been less insightful in podcasts. In what? In our podcast as of late. Why do you think that is? I don't know. You think you've said it all? Hey, look, you can see all of the, put all the lights, mm. the wiring. We're looking at the thing that was found in the trash from the other show. Yeah. This is so funny. This is from Greg Gethard. Oh, the powder? Yeah. I like the idea that the show just gets damaged and that's like the mark of the show. Yeah, exactly. And stuff like this. Now this is just up. Yeah. And... Yeah, everything just gets, you see pieces from all the episodes show up. It's like in Arrested Development, how you'll gradually see like holes in the wall from a past episode. Or yeah, like a exactly. Blue, blue handprint. <sighs> um, but I, there's been people, I remember people tweeting being like, oh, I think in episode two when we got very personal. Yeah. We said some insightful things and I feel like as of late I've been less insightful because I've been so frustrated and 
busy with work stuff. Yeah. I feel like after after the get the show wraps and before the next project starts, we should, we should record another episode. I don't know if you'll ever have another period where you're fully wrapped. I think I will, because I won't. I mean, I will. It's not like I'm getting a large amount of money, but like at least enough where I'm. Take a time. There were weeks Take where it was break. like. Oh, if I don't do a thing now, I won't be able to make it to next week. I'm a little bit in that. I, I've got a dangerous couple of weeks coming up in the sense that. So I quit my job at the end. Of, we recorded the last one, and I was still at Barnes Noble, right? Yeah. All right. So, but I was about to be gone. Yes. So you announced your departure, I believe. May and June have been my first. We're now at uh, we're June twentieth. Catch. So one also, month. I'd like to point out. Yeah. Connor and I have been throwing a tennis ball for the past maybe hour. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever mentioned it. So there are probably people listening that are like, "What is that noise? What is that click? And how come they're like slightly out of breath every now and then?" Um, <laughs> the, I like that that was like a suspense hour. Yeah. What's happening? Um, why did JD not edit out all these pops in the audio? Exactly. Um, so I've, I'm one month and 20 days into my new phase after 13 years working at Barnes & Noble Union Square. Um, and so I've been uh, doing warm-up comic for The Gathered Show. I've been coaching improv. Uh, I was in Missouri for a week. The first week that I wasn't at Barnes & Noble, I was in Missouri visiting my parents. It was, uh, we did a surprise birthday for my dad, who's doing very well at the moment. Yeah, I saw uh, him. He was in New York. He, uh, he got his most recent blood results, uh, and they really liked his protein numbers were good. Like they're, so things are looking good. He seems to be feeling really good. That's right great. now, they're, they're, uh, tomorrow, they're going on a salmon fishing trip. Oh, wow. Like a salmon cruise or whatever. Um, so we went we surprised my dad. It was three weeks. His birthday would have been Memorial Day weekend, which we were... It was right before the first Gethard show, so right. everyone had been told, like, don't make plans, don't go away during that. But also, I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to have traveled on Memorial Day weekend. It would have been more expensive and less convenient and more, right. you know. So it was also just better to surprise him because he wasn't expecting me and my sister to show up three weeks in advance of his birthday. Right. And they planned this big surprise party for him. And what was, I wasn't there for the surprise party. That was a Friday night, and I could only get there on the Saturday. And... Um, the at the surprise party, my sister was in town, and he knew that. My sister was in town with uh, her boyfriend and a friend of hers, and uh, they said, Let, "You want to go get, get some drinks?" So they go out for like drinks before dinner. So they go to this bar, and when my dad gets there, a bunch of his lobbying buddies uh, were out front, and my dad was just like, "Oh, look, it's the yeah. gang of guys from the Capitol building," and so he was just like, "Hey, great to see you." Had no sense of the fact that the whole restaurant, the whole bar was filled with all just people for him. Right. And then he goes into the restaurant. He was out there. They watched him for like five minutes just talking to them. Everyone else is yeah. waiting inside. He comes in and then walks through the whole bar just like, oh, hey, wow, hey, I know everybody here. Like he was yeah. just like, he didn't know until he got all the way to the back of the bar and saw like the banner that was up that was like happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, so then the next day, the I was the second prong of the surprise, which was that his natural assumption would be like surprises are over because if yeah. I had been there, I would have been there for that. Right. So they went out for lunch the next day, and he was like, "What?" And he was like to my mom, he was like, "Did you know about this?" And like my mom's like, "Yes, I planned it." Like right. he was just like so taken aback by it. It was really nice. Um, but so that was my first week 
off. But that also didn't feel like I was really done with work because yeah. that's a pretty normal rhythm for me a couple times a year at least to just take a week off and go to Missouri and visit right. my folks. Um, so then when I was back for another week, that felt weird because I'm like, hmm, I'm not back at work yet. But I'm like, oh, I've had weeks off before. Or I've been out sick or whatever like that. So yeah. it really wasn't until like three weeks later that I was like, okay, now I really have a different rhythm. Yeah. I'm getting more sleep at night. I'm, if, I go to, if I do a midnight comedy show, I don't have a sense of dread. Yeah, of exactly. Like, like all my, ba- my worst subway things are always when I'm like, it's 1.15 in the morning and I'm trying to get an F train to a 7 train. Uh, home from the beast, right? Uh, knowing that I have to be up at six, so and then the train stops and it's delayed, uh, and every minute I'm gone is like another minute off of my three hours of sleep I'm hoping right. to get. Um, so that really is a big difference. Like even like the number of times in the years of doing the Gethard Show that I came out after a Gethard Show taping, uh, where you could probably count on two hands, right? Just because like. The show already, it's already midnight. I'm up at six. Right. It's an hour for me to get home door to door, basically. Um, so, like, doing these shows and being able to, well, first of all, we're not taping at 11 at night. Exactly. Uh, but being able to go out and be leisurely after a show taping uh, with everybody is automatically like a new nice experience that I didn't yeah. have with the old show. Well, you didn't go out at the past two shows. What? You didn't go out the past two shows. That's true. Well, the two shows ago was the um, Insomnia one. Right. And then this week I just didn't. But uh, the, but I will more often than not. Exactly. It's nice to just even have it as an option. Right. Um, Whereas now I've switched. Now I have early mornings every morning. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're in, a, we're in opposite situations now to a certain extent. Yeah. Now, uh, do you feel yourself more... Uh, I feel like the waves of that come with, like, when you have less to do, you actually, it's harder to get stuff done because you're not in a mode of like da-da-da. Sometimes. I've had a few days like that where like, I'm trying to exercise every day if I can. Uh, I'm trying to use the, time, the hours I get. Like if I can go on my bike, on my exercise bike in my apartment yeah. for like at least an hour. An hour is pretty easy. I can do, figure an hour most days. But most days I'm trying to get two or three hours if I can. Right. Uh, and obviously there's other things like, I mean... Basically, for the moment, I've just been coaching improv, but that means that instead of a, a full work day, my work day is like two hours. Yeah. Or three hours. So that's, and it's also just me sitting watching people improvising and then telling them what I think. Yeah. Which there's some repetition to that, but, you know, the, other, the upside of it is if they do something funny, then that doesn't feel like work. You know, like if I'm coaching a group and they do a great scene, then yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, great job. You know, and I can maybe give them some pointers or say why it was, or like, uh, uh, Reiterate, like, do you know why yeah. that worked? Is because this happened, you know, and uh, which because sometimes people don't know, like, they'll do a scene and they you can tell like they had fun, but you want to like pinpoint it's because like you did something and it mattered to your character. Right. Um, now, have you been writing at all? Writing? Yeah. No, I haven't. Wonder should I? What should yeah. I write? I don't know. It feels like you're a guy that I used has to write a lot. a lot. Exactly, and it feels like you're a guy that probably has some interesting things to write, but you just probably didn't have time or energy. And now that you probably have a little bit more time. Well, and probably a little more energy. It'd be interesting to see what you wrote. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm much of a writer, to be honest. Didn't you write a feature film? Yeah. Yeah. I but I don't like, know if that's my thing necessarily. I, I wrote a. Pl- I, I wrote a play that I'm. Uh, my memory of it is I'm. I wrote a lot of plays, but I didn't 
not that many of them did anything with. I wrote a play called People Like You that got staged as part of a, um, a playwriting, new playwright series at the Theater for the New City, uh, sort of during my wilderness years between being an actor and UCB. That was one of the things right. I did one year. And it turned out pretty well, I thought. Um, you should keep writing. But I don't know that there's much. I don't, I mean, I'm thinking, there are some things I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know if I'm a natural writer. No one's a natural writer. Some people are. What about Hemingway? Um, I bet it was just as hard for Hemingway as it can be for anyone else. Um, I just think in this day and age to be in comedy or performance, you also have to be a writer. And I think you also are a writer. I think, well, I think I'm a content generator. Uh, yeah, but writing, sounds is, like corporate writing is the gateway to that. Yeah. You should write. Um, Will you write a draft of Terry Withers? A, a draft of the screenplay? Of, uh, uh, yeah. I feel like I'd have to write that with Terry, you know? Like, I don't no, think no. I could write for Terry that well. I mean, I guess I could write an outline, but I would, a lot of the magic of Terry Withers, I feel like, is like stuff that when Terry says it, I'm like, where did that come from? I don't think I would ever in a million years have written that thing about the belt. Yeah, but I think you should write an outline. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll do that. Uh, and I think you should write a script also. A separate, Not for Terry. Terry. Um, I mean, I have a couple ideas for things, but... Just do them. Yeah. Um, I think you're very close to the point where you will just be able to hand those to people and they'll be able to send it around to see if they can get made. Yeah, I mean, there's. I've, I'm in an I'm in an interesting spot at the moment. I think um, there's a part of me that's always a little bit, always a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I'm wary of show business. You just, I've been saying that in every episode, right? Uh, Probably. Yeah, I was thinking it's funny. It's like, oh well. If that's the thing you're wary about, you've picked an odd profession, show business. <laughs> I know. I, get, I think there's a part of me that feels like part of the reason why I've been in a good place emotionally for most of the past decade has been because I, I'm unwilling to let show business be the uh, controlling factor for me. Peter thought it'd be controlling. I don't know. I feel like that's what it wants. It feels like it's a hungry animal. No, that's why you got to keep it at arm's length and let it frustrate you and be dumb, but at the end of the day, not be something I that defines do what you, you. I couldn't do what you do, JD. Like, I don't have it in me. You could do, you could do, I think you could do this for a project. For a project that was built up in a similar way that this one was built up, you could do it. I don't know. You couldn't jump into something at this point, yeah. but you could build something up the same way this show had been built up. And there's projects that you are along with. Like, you could do what I'm doing for something like, I'm too fragile for this. Maybe. If you had kept it going or kept that's, the momentum. That's, I need to get back to it, but that's one of the main projects that, uh, and I haven't had time over the past month, but that's one of the things that we're getting close to pulling some kind of trigger on, is doing the larger I'm too fragile for this project. Right. That Tom and you, Don, and I have been working on. Tom has started doing stuff for the Gethard Show. Yeah, he did the overnight uh, yeah. film for the overnight when people weren't sleeping. I believe he's doing your thing on Monday. Oh, he is? I think so. Oh, that's great. 
All Gethard told me was that whatever it is is it is something that's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I was nervous Oops, sorry. that um, I was nervous that when no one would tell me what it was that uh, it might be I think it's under this one uh, I was nervous that after the boa constrictor incident that I was going to be the victim of a prank uh, no um, I do like I do like the way uh, I do like the way for the for the new Gethard show. Uh -huh. One of my things I'm happiest about in terms of the kind of uh, content that is happening on the show is that I was worried given the 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 amount of advanced preparation because there was like a pretty long considering the way the show previously worked it's a long period of people working all day in offices writing right. and, you know, not writing but like coming up with uh, ideas for like what could it be right that it was like oh it's a lot of a lot of planning and I was worried like oh will that like stop what's spontaneous about it and what I'm most kind of excited about is the fact that all of the planning has been to the benefit of the show but has not sacrificed the element of surprise for the people involved in the show. That, that there are still so many things, almost entirely, like when you watch the taping, where it's the cast of the show doesn't know what's about to hit them, and uh, you just see the genuine, natural reaction of, like, here's a surprise. And right. when, the, when the guests come in, they literally arrive a few minutes before the taping. Right. Like, more often than not, it seems like the pattern is, like, we're holding, and they're like, the guest is here, and then it's like, we're doing the show. And it's, to me, it feels like, like, the thing that, in doing the George Lucas talk show for the past year, uh, I've never had ambitions of hosting a talk show, nor has it ever been a thing where it's been, like, even on my radar of, like, this being a thing. Right. And who knows what the future will hold in terms of what kind of opportunities, but I do know that the most fun aspect of it to me seems to be that element of, like, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And Check levels. Uh, it seems like... Uh, You're good. It seems like on some level, that's where the interaction and an element of surprise, it does feel like that's where the future is in yes. a lot of the areas. Like, in the same way that, like, Improv in the past decade has very much had its moment in terms of, uh, for a long time it felt like stand-up was where the heat was coming from. In terms of like any of the popular shows were stemming from, you know, a popular stand-up comedian uh, has a routine and then people like it and then they're like, okay, Ray Romano, you're really good at doing, telling jokes about your family. Uh, let's build a family for you and have a show that feeds off the same energy right. as the things that just you get up and talk about. And it feels like the improv-built uh, uh, kind of momentum has set up a world where you have like shows like Broad City or shows like this that are both... I mean, Broad City and this show are both very different shows, obviously. One's a sitcom, right. one's a talk show. But they both seem to have an energy that feeds from uh, that same... 
place. Right. And the thing that I've noticed is like, there's a lot of great talk shows on TV now. Like too many to too many to really even focus on. Like if you had, I don't have enough time in the day to watch most of the ones I even like, because uh, it's like Jimmy Fallon has a fun show, Seth Meyers has a fun show. Uh, a lot of what I've seen of Kimmel seems like it's fun. Uh, you know, like most of these shows are like solid fun shows, talk yeah. shows. But like just those three. That I mean, Ellen DeGeneres has a fun show every day. That's four hours. Uh, yeah. And that's before you even get into any kind of fringy shows. Uh, but it does feel to me like I at least like know from doing this show that I'm like, ooh, I think where the most fun is is when you have a setup but you don't know exactly where it's going and then you get interesting people and then see what happens. Yeah. Uh, feels like... Uh, you ever watch John Cassavetes movies? I have, yeah. We've talked about it, haven't we, probably? I went through a big John Cassavetes phase, and some of those movies are real hard to get through. Right. I love them. I love them. But even some of those, I'd be like, oof. Like, we're an hour in, and I'm like, this is hard work, man. Yeah. But the thing I like about them is you really just don't know where, what's going to happen. Right. Like, it's just like raw, raw humanity. And people reacting to stuff. I don't know. I agree. That's, I mean, I feel a little weird just I've been giving these speeches so long. So it's like, I'm only quiet right now because like, I feel like my well has been dried up of me trying to pitch where I think television should be. Yeah. But I do believe right now the thing that's most interesting in television is the idea that anything can happen. This is people being honest and real because there's so much fake stuff in the world yeah. that see some semblance of reality. Like, you know, this John Stewart reaction to the Tar- Charleston thing is the clip that went around right now. Yeah. It's mostly because he had very little plan. You know what I mean? Ouch. Yeah. And, like, remember the, that, uh, the Ben Schwartz and Adam Pally yeah. late, late show or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, that went around on the internet because it was like, Look at these guys. Look at these guys. They didn't plan anything. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I think we've come around to that part of television that sort of like harkens back to the early days of TV, like the Ernie Kovacs day, where it was just like, just a guy in a place doing a thing. Uh, Dick Cavett. Yeah. I mean, Dick Cavett is a great example to me of a guy. I remember my dad said he saw Dick Cavett do stand-up once when he was younger. And he said his memory of it was that Dick Cavett just bombed. Just like, just no laughs. Like, nobody liked him. And then a few years later, Dick Cavett was like the most respect, one of the most respected talk show hosts on TV. But, and Dick Cavett is a witty guy. I don't know that anyone says like Dick Cavett's funny. Right. But he's, everybody says he's witty. Right. And the thing I like about knowing that, about hearing that from my dad, and then I'm a big fan of, any, any old Dick Cavett interview is interesting to me. Like, there's actually a great, it's hard to watch. Uh, one of my favorite Cassavetes movies, Husbands. Okay. There's a clip on YouTube of when they went on the Dick Cavett show to promote Husbands. And it's John Cassavetes, Peter Falk, and Ben Gazzara, and they're all drunk. And you're basically watching three people who've just made a pretty remarkable, almost unwatchable in places film. I think it's a terrific film, but it's also one of those films that I can't... Right. I can't recommend it to a single person because I just right. don't know. 
I think most people would think is the worst thing they've ever seen. Right. I think Will Hines and Neil Casey watched it once, and they were fascinated by it. Uh, but when you see them go on Dick Cavett, it's horrible. It's, it's just three drunk, immature men fucking up Dick Cavett's show. Right. And Dick Cavett is trying his best to just control the rain. He wants to talk to them about their movie. They're there right. to promote their movie. And it's just a nightmare. But it's fascinating television because it's just like three grown adults got drunk and ruined a talk show. Right. And, but even that, you're watching Dick Cavett and you're like, he's a pro. Like, he's doing the best he can. He's got, they just won't cooperate. But he's trying his best. It's just like a man trying to uh, retain the dignity of his program. And anytime, and it's just like that's it's fascinating to me to watch like a guy like that who probably wanted to be Woody Allen. He probably wanted to be Groucho. He wanted to be one of his comedy greats. Right. And at a certain point, he realized, you know what? I'm not that. But I know how to talk to people, and I know how right. to listen, and I bet I can get great interviews out of. There's a great Marlon Brando. He got Brando on the show, but Brando would only come on the show if uh, it was when Brando was in the middle of his, his uh, Native American activism period. Right. Brando would only come on the show if they also brought um, this activist on to talk about this environmental issue. Right. And so Brando comes out. Cavett tries to talk to him. And Brando just, he's really just like an asshole. He won't, he won't cooperate. Yeah. And then he, the activist comes out, and Dick Cavett honors his part of the bargain and has right. a real interview with the activist. It's pretty boring, yeah. but Cavett does his best, and he, you know, as good as his word. And then by the end of it, I, I don't remember if this is on the air, if this is something Cavett said about it afterwards. Brando felt bad because he was like, I, he like, if he'd realized that Cavett was going to do such a good, such a yeah. respectful job with the environmental part, he would have been more cooperative yeah. and given real answers to him. But, man, to find, it's like, that's something, like, find your thing that you do. And also to know that the first thing you try to, to do, no matter how much you might want it, that might not be you. That might not be your thing. Exactly. That's a real interesting takeaway for me from that, is that, like, there were things that I, pro like, well, I mean, like, wanted to be an animator when I was a kid. Right. Like, those same impulses still feed the same things that I'm doing. Right. But I also just figured out at a certain point, like, well, I like drawing, and I'm still a reasonably good uh, unf unformed cartoonist. Right. Like, if you assign me with, like, you got to do a comic strip about The Gethard Show or something. Right. You could do it. I could probably do one that would be decent. Yeah. Uh, I would see a lot of things wrong with it, but for someone who's not a cartoonist, uh, might look at it and go like, "Hey, Conor Alice can draw or something." You know, that, right. uh, But at a certain point, I think I realized like I enjoyed drawing, but I wouldn't enjoy it if I had to draw all the time. Like to me, it would almost be like I enjoyed it, but it would have been a real curse to take the thing that was kind of fun for me, and to mean that I had to do it all the time if I wanted to eat. Right. Uh, that my hands would be sore. I'd be like, "There's times when I don't want to draw. I don't want to draw this. I only drew. I only drew what I wanted to draw." Right. And if I ever had to get good enough that I had to draw something that I didn't want to draw, I would have just been like, "Ugh, now the thing that I'm." Right. Uh. It's like the fox and the hound with Burton. Oh yeah. Did you see Big Eyes, the Tim Burton movie? 
I didn't. It wasn't bad. I would like if Tim Burton... I, at this point, I would like to, if Tim Burton really got back to his old... That's another thing. It's sort of the same thing. I, it's a boring complaint to have, but like the same way it was a real thrill at the point where he did Nightmare Before Christmas, where it was like he'd already been in blockbuster mode for a little while at that point, and he didn't, no longer made like Pee-wee's Big, Adver- Big Adventure, Beetlejuice-type films. But Nightmare Before Christmas was. It was like a throwback to classic original Burton. Right. I wonder if he'll ever make another movie that has that like uh, that vibe to it. You know? I kind of thought his Alice in Wonderland... I think everybody sort of suspected that his Alice in Wonderland would have been that, but it wasn't really. Yeah. I wonder also if... Maybe he's also bored of that. Like, people get bored of, like... That was how he was in his 20s, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I also wonder if, too, it's a... The kind of thing, ouch, where he's like... He's victim to the fact that it worked perfectly for him at that period of time. Yeah. And now we've passed that period of time where that is relevant, both to him personally and in our zeitgeist and in how we make films these days, right? Yeah. Like back then when it was like, yeah, the way that they made most films was with miniatures and puppets and... Yeah. Uh, physical effects. And now that they, we don't do it that way, his Probably vision... harder to do it that way if you wanted to. Yeah, and his vision and aesthetic don't match with the current way films are made. So it's almost like he would have... Any attempt he would do to make it like that... Yeah. I think would be seen as forcing it. Yeah. And I wonder if he even like feels that same way anymore. He probably, do- he probably doesn't live in a world that is handcrafted and has yeah. rough edges, you know? I think it's probably that. I think it's probably him not feeling it more than anything because, like, if Wes Anderson wants to make a stop-motion Roald Dahl book into a movie, into a stop-motion movie, it just happens, even though it's, there's not, that's not the way most movies are made, but he'll just, like, figure out a way to make it happen. Uh, like, in some ways, Grand Hotel Budapest feels closer to the aesthetic of an 80s Tim Burton film than most Tim Burton films do now. Right. Sorry, uh, I have to read some emails real quick. That's okay. Um, are they personal or show-related? Show-related. Oh, man, it's Saturday, you guys. Lay off, JD. Um, I talk about something that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Well, we're now at... We're nearing it on 6 o'clock, so we're nearing the halfway point for the podcast. We, and if experience has taught us anything, and I think it has, it's that... The, for us, the experience of recording these episodes, the second half speeds by. Like once we get past the halfway point, it really is like um, ascending the, the the crest of a hill and then getting ready to go downhill again. Um, who knows how many topics we'll even be able to cover? We've only got six hours left. Um, one of the things that I uh, I wrote a long post. On the day that I, my last day of work, I posted this long thing about on on my Tumblr uh, about my 13 years working at Barnes and Noble. It's a long time to work in a job. It's the longest I've ever been in, I think, any situation. Um, other than, I mean, even my even as a kid, like we moved homes before. I don't, th- I didn't have 13 years in one home as a kid. You know, we had like moved when I was like. 11 or 12 or something I think and then we were in a duplex for a year and then we moved into our regular home and 
for like junior high and college, um, uh, junior high, high school and college. And so 13 years is a long time to process. And I have to go make a phone call. Okay. I will return. All right. Um, I apologize. That's okay. Um, all right, so now it's just me on my own in the studio. I'm going to pause that topic because I think I'd like JD's input on some of that in a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to talk. Uh, oh, hold on. Hold on. Let me see if I can take this receiver with me. Hold on. Let me see. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take the receiver and go get my telephone. Hold on. This is a big move. I don't know if JD would even approve of this. No, I can't do it. I can't take all this equipment. Um, that's too much. I wanted to go get my phone and do a do a phone call on this podcast, but I think it's too late now. It's a bad idea. Um, what do I talk about when it's just me on the podcast? Uh, I'm not prepared for this part of it. Um, I, I think I'm, I've been thinking about submitting a, a book proposal for, I shouldn't even talk about this because if I say it on the podcast then I may never do it. Have you ever read those 33 and a third books? Um, they're about uh, albums, music albums. Uh, and they have a whole series of them and they have an open call to write to propose a book about a specific album. Uh, and the deadline is the end of July. And I'm not really qualified to write a book, but part of me is thinking, like, I have a, I think, I'm wondering, I'm exploring the possibility if there is an Elvis Costello album. And I think if there was one that I was going to do, it would be Mighty Like a Rose. Um, but I've been thinking about it, because it's a, I think it's, it's, if it's not my favorite, it's the one I usually say is my favorite. If it's not my favorite, it's at least tied with a couple of others as my favorite Elvis Costello album. But for a lot of people, it's one of their least favorite Costello albums. And I have this theory, and I think it's true, that in 1989, Elvis Costello had an album called Spike. And it was a pretty big hit for him. It had songs that he'd written with Paul McCartney on it. Um, Costello probably... Uh, looked maybe like the most ideal version of himself in that like the early Costello was kind of this sweaty, awkward guy and by the time he was in Spike he still had like the Buddy Holly glasses and everything but he had filled out a little bit more and just looked probably the healthiest he's looked I think I think um, and then immediately after that album he grew this insane beard and started wearing dark sunglasses and long hair and he made an album that was very musically sophisticated and lyrically sophisticated, and it kind of showed all the progress that he'd made uh, over the course of his career. It sort of was like a culmination of, like, I've made a bunch of albums, and I've learned a lot more. I know how to do a lot more things musically. I know how, how to write a lot more different kinds of songs now. But the album combines that, like, uh, maturity and sophistication that he developed with a real kind of... Uh, sometimes righteous, sometimes irrational anger that hearkened back to the sort of angry young man that uh, was the early persona. Um, 
and it's a very well sequenced album. Like it starts, the first track is this, uh, like it's like a Beach Boys pastiche. It's almost a, it's almost a spoof musically, kind of in the same sense that back in the USSR is Paul McCartney sort of spoofing the Beach Boys, um, which is amazing in and of itself. That like the Beatles open one of their albums by uh, doing a, a kind of a parody of, of the Beach Boys. Um, but anyway, so it opens with this song and then it moves on to this very, very weird song, then a very angry song, and then a couple of very uh, dense and ambitious kind of ballads. And the album is in parts very political. Like there's a song on there called Invasion Hit Parade. And even though this the album came out prior, I mean, this song had been written before the Gulf War, it almost feels like it's uh, about the Gulf War. Like, it certainly is a song that speaks to a lot of, uh, like, uh, a lot of, like, American-led Middle Eastern military uh, escapades over the past couple of decades. Um, and then in the... And, but, so I have this thought. Like, this album had everything that I think anybody could have wanted from a new Elvis Costello album uh, in 1991. But he didn't look like Elvis Costello anymore. And I think people people talk about that album as if it's insane, like it's the album of a madman. And uh, I don't think they would have done that if it hadn't been for that beard. And I kind of feel... I remember I probably talked about this in the Mikey Eric segment last month. But part of me is thinking like... Maybe I should propose one, a book proposal for that series about that album because I think there is something fascinating about an underappreciated masterpiece by one of the most acclaimed uh, songwriters and musicians of the late 20th century. Uh, an, an album that was dismissed largely because he changed his image. And he also did things that didn't... Like, he didn't exactly help himself in terms of, like, he... he he went on. He got MTV Unplugged. He got an episode of MTV Unplugged, and he, instead of playing any songs that people might have associated with him, he played a bunch of rhythm and blues covers um, off of a covers album that he hadn't recorded but had not released yet. So he's playing old Howlin' Wolf songs and stuff, uh, and old Little Richard songs. On MTV Unplugged, he also didn't fully unplug. I don't think. I think he had a there was an electric keyboard. Um, so I feel like there were a lot of things, and he was also very like uh, kind of rude and angry in interviews at the time in ways that weren't helpful. I don't know. Does that sound like a good book? I, there's a part of me that, that really likes the idea of taking the time, even just to complete the proposal, even if it didn't happen. I like the idea of taking that time to put something together and make it happen. Uh, um, let me think what else I had to say. Oh, I guess I want to talk about guns a little. Uh, that probably sounds so boring to think about, but especially since it's just me and JD's not here. But I've been thinking, I mean, there's the couple of things that have been on my mind this week with the, the horrible shooting in Charleston and a lot of a lot of the things that have been going on lately, a lot of shootings, a lot of killings. Uh, I've always hated guns. I understand, to me, guns are like this kind of necessary evil. They're, they're like, 
I guess if I lived alone in the woods, um, I would want a gun to protect myself. I can I understand the the reason to want a gun for protection. If I was anywhere where I thought there were going to be bears around or something, I'd, I'd want a gun. If faced with a bear, I'd want something to fight. Uh, if there was something I couldn't uh, uh, that could overpower me. But I don't understand the gun culture, and part of it's just I don't relate to it. So you know, I most people who were um, interested in the gun culture um, probably would look at my interest in things like, you know, comics by Chris Ware or uh, Elvis Costello records, or you know, uh, various comedy and comics and music and things like that. They would probably look at those things and think, well. I'm not interested in those things. I like hunting and I like collecting guns and, you know, people like different things. But it does seem to me like so much of our, our the debate about guns is based on a fundamental and deliberate misinterpretation of the Second Amendment that really upsets me because I feel like if anything else were in the Constitution were as badly misinterpreted as the Second Amendment, I feel like we'd hear about it all the time. It's like this one, like that's just not what it's there for. It's not, I, a couple years ago I was talking with um, a friend of mine uh, was dating someone and w for some reason we were hanging out with this person and this person's brother who was like a big gun guy. And so my friend and I, we were talking to him and we were trying to, you know, have a conversation about, like, he, he, I think he brought it up. And we were, my friend and I were both, um, you know, pro-gun control, pro-figuring out ways of guns should be uh, hard to get access to, and you should have to uh, have a background check. And There's all kinds of reasonable things, and the sale of illegal firearms should be... Uh, um, fraught with just massive amounts of risk that if you sell illegal firearms it could ruin your life you know just like the disincentives for selling for the for the black market gun trade should be uh, so tremendous that to, to even risk it would be unthinkable that the risk would be far worse than the reward um, I realize that's a bit that's a tall order but we should be doing everything we can to make it so that like you uh, if you have a gun you can't be someone who has a, a, a risky profile in terms of like a criminal record or uh, uh, mental health or any of these things a uh, history of aggressive behavior you know uh, it just seems to me like we want to every time a maniac gets loose with a gun everyone just the gun control side just said the, the NRA side just says we can't talk about it right now it's disrespectful to the people who were killed and they just speculate about how much better it would have been if everybody around that person had guns um, it seems like insanity to me. Um, but I'm... It just seems to me like the... the oh, anyway, we were having this conversation with the, the guy who was a pro-gun guy. And he was going on and on about how people like Nancy Pelosi, the, when they write gun control laws, how they're ineffective because these people don't understand guns, they don't understand gun culture, and they don't ha know how to write smart laws that are effective about controlling guns. And so he said, okay, well, what kind of gun laws would you write? And his response was, I wouldn't have write any gun laws. I'd get rid of all the gun laws. And I said, well, okay, well, you can't complain that the people writing gun laws don't write smart ones if your version of a smart one is no laws. Because 
you're not even trying to compromise. You're not even trying to find a solution to this. And I said, you know, the Second Amendment, if you want to have a broad interpretation, which you clearly do, because uh, the whole point of the Second Amendment is in order to, uh, uh, to maintain a well-regulated militia, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, this is in a world where um, there were uh, Minutemen. And, you know, there, this, this is in a world where you had to load a gun with, uh, you had to load a musket with, uh, with a buckshot or whatever, with that little loading stick. I don't even know what you call it. Um, but certainly they didn't envision the world we have now. The, that where there's more guns in America than there are people, um, and guns can do things much faster and in a much more deadly way than than anything anyone would have imagined back then. Imagine if we had if if we had allowed the only laws about computers were the laws that were written by uh, the founding fathers. All our computer laws were written by them. This is what you can and can't do with a computer. I mean, they wouldn't have known to write those laws, obviously, because computers didn't exist. But the same principle applies. There's a reason we don't look to the Founding Fathers for our rules about uh, Internet piracy. Uh, because they didn't know. Uh, and they didn't know what guns would be like now. And to be honest, the, the wording, if you're going to interpret that it means that you can have any gun you want, which is what this guy thought, any gun you want, it doesn't say guns. It says arms. That includes any kind of weaponry, which includes nuclear weapons. So I posited this question, like, what about, like, shoulder-launched missiles? Do you think that everybody in America, that we shan't infringe the rights of everyone to have a shoulder-launched uh, missile? And his response was that he'd sure like to have one. And I said, okay, all right. It's a glib response, but it was also his real response, that he, he, he would like to have access to a shoulder-launched missile. And I said, okay, but you don't want everybody to have a, access to a shoulder-launched missile. You'd never get on an airplane again. Uh, and he just said he thinks it should be legal for him to have one. And I, I said, why? And he says, because I think it would be fucking awesome. I said, okay, but like you understand that the law isn't set up so that you get to have anything you think is fucking awesome. Uh, that's not the way you write laws for a civilization. Anyway, I do feel like that's part of the, it, it, you know, if, if the counter-argument to ineffective gun laws is no gun laws at all, then it's just like, okay, well, you're not cooperating. You're going to get ineffective gun laws if the people who claim to be experts on it aren't going to, aren't willing to have any laws. It just makes me so sad because every time there's one of these incidents where somebody goes nuts and starts shooting, um, and it's a scenario. You know, I used to, I used to worry about it in my work situation. I used to worry like, just what's to stop? You just never know in any situation what's to stop someone from just walking in here and doing this. The good news, to a certain extent, is that I think what stops people from doing that is that there's actually fewer maniacs out there than we think there are, than we fear there are. Um, we fear the worst case scenario, which is that like anything could happen at any minute. The fact that things like this, I mean, they do happen too often, but they, I tend to be amazed that they don't happen constantly. Um, I got into a debate not too long ago. I guess I'm just going to go ahead and muse on all these big weighty things.
Um, I don't know why we don't talk about American history with a little bit more um, of a sense of, like, it's okay to... Like, I'm an American. I'm also Irish citizen because my mom's from Ireland. I like it here. I like it in America. I like so many things about this country. And I've had a lucky, charmed life here for the most part. And I think it's okay to feel all of those things. But I think it's like, I think it's good to be proud of the things that are worth being proud of. And you can be proud of those things while still also acknowledging the fact that we live in a country that was built on a lot of misery. Um, I don't know why. I would rather people acknowledge that more often. Like, there's been a lot of talk lately about political correctness in comedy. And I think there's always a lot of that. There's always a lot of, there's always going to be somebody who's offended for the wrong reasons about some things. But there's also a lot to be offended about. There's a lot of legit reasons to be offended. And there's a lot of, it's a responsibility of people doing, smart people doing comedy need to be smart about it. And, you know, sometimes you will screw up. And I think that's okay too. And I think you can own that and move on. And I think people need to be open to moving on from things like that. But it's also like, there's a lot of uh, humorless scolds out there who like to make a big deal out of everything. There's also a lot of people who have legit complaints about like, hey, uh, this isn't funny, it's just offensive. I think more often than not, the thing that's uh, really offensive tends to also have the problem of not being funny enough to, o- to overcome what's offensive about it. And usually that has to do with point of view, and uh, usually it has to do with... Uh, if you have something interesting to say about a controversial topic, uh, it won't be offensive because it, it's thoughtful enough to, to... In order for it to be funny, it has to be... Thoughtful. It has to have taken into consideration what angle you're coming at it from. You sort of have to like cover your bases mentally uh, in order to make it funny. Uh, the things that are in comedy that are offensive usually haven't been th- thought through enough, even at the level of is this funny enough? Uh, and that's why th- all you have left is what's offensive about it. Because it's like, oh, this isn't funny enough. What else is there about it? Oh, it's the fact that this is really offensive. Um, but I think, I don't know, there's a, there's a weird thing about America and Americans that uh, on the one hand we have maybe some people who are sensitive to every little thing to the point where uh, nothing matters because everything's offensive. But on the other hand, there really is like a... Uh, I don't know why we're not more comfortable acknowledging the fact that, like, uh, like people are more comfortable just saying America is the greatest country in the world than they are talking about the actual history of America. Like, because I feel like if you say that, and I think you can say that and mean it and it's fine, but I don't think you can say, I don't, I think people, it's one thing if you say America is the greatest country in the world. And then you go on to talk about um, the kind of facts that you'll find uh, if, you act, if you read, like, Howard Zinn's People's History of America. You'll find, oh, man, a lot of very, not even 
obscure stuff, just even the stuff that's just right on the surface of the fact that the people that we think of as like the colonists, the people who settled America came here and there were already people living here and that was a problem that was dealt with in uh, the most gruesome way. Uh, that's just part of, and you can, you can take a nuanced look at that or whatever, but it's still, that's a pretty, you know, people were here already. We came here and then this is what happened. Uh, there's just a lot of dark history to that. There's a lot of uh, troubling and shameful events. Um, and I feel like if you own those and then you still arrive at a place that's like, that uh, uh, still arrive at a place of like deep patriotism, then your patriotism at least means a little bit more because it's not built on denying things that actually happened. Like, you just can't, uh, you know, bring over uh, a bunch of people against their will and, uh, and have a, a build a country on a slavery system and then ignore that when you have your opinion about how great America is. Like, you just can't, like, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I guess it, what it tell, I guess it makes sense only from the perspective of, oh, I guess you don't care about that. Like, when I hear someone, when I see someone on TV like a Sean Hannity talk about America being the greatest country that God ever created on, he has that cumbersome phrase that he says at the end of every show where he talks about how America is the greatest country that God ever uh, created on earth. Um, I feel like the message that he sends, when he, the way that he expresses that message, and the way that he expresses his contempt for huge swaths of the American people, um, show that it's like, okay, you really maybe do believe that this is the greatest country on earth, but you've also made it clear that you don't count a lot of people in being part of that greatness. It doesn't matter to you. Um, you've dismissed a huge portion of the people who are part of this country's history and who are part of this country now. Um, and it's like, okay, well, what you think of as America uh, and what I think of as America are two very different things. Sean Hannity's a nightmare. I mean, I know that it's, bec it, it's almost too easy to bash Fox News at this point, uh, and certainly uh, far more uh, coherent people than me have talked about it. But as I've had time off over the last couple of months, I've also had a few more moments where I'm actually flipping around news channels in my apartment. And it is astonishing to me. Well, this was, I started saying this earlier. Uh, I had this conversation uh, not too long ago, back when the uh, whole situation in Ferguson happened. And everybody got very, you know, everybody got lined up on two different sides of that in terms of there was uh, a side that was sympathetic uh, towards only towards the police and a side that was sympathetic uh, towards Michael Brown and there, there was you know a lot of like back and forth about how like they showed that you know they kept releasing information about Michael Brown and talking about uh, here's the surveillance footage of him like jostling the uh, the worker at the store on the surveillance camera and there were a lot of people who was like, look, he's, he's no saint, or he's a thug, or there's this, or they were doing this, or he got aggressive. All these people saying this. And I was in this conversation with someone where I was saying, you know, like, to me, I know it's, I know it's hard 
It's a hard job. I don't know if I even want to talk about this. Ugh, what a mistake. This is just a, JD's just left me in here. He's just left me in this room, and I apologize. You might want to skip ahead until you hear JD's voice again. Um, but it, here's, here's my take on it. Like, I could never be a cop. I'm too, I would be terrible at that job. That's a hard job. I, I don't know how people do it. But one thing I have noticed is in any job, there's people who are really great at it. There's people who are mediocre at it. There's people who are bad at it. And boy, that's a job that if you have people who are bad at it, it just ruins it for everybody because it breaks down a fundamental trust in society. And you know, watching that footage recently of that cop with the, with the pool party in Texas, we have that cop like screaming at teenagers and pulling his gun on them and pushing them down on the ground when they're already on the ground. You just look at that guy and like, that looks like a bunch of assholes I went to high school with that somehow ended up with a gun and with authority. And it's just like, what a terrifying thought because we have to be able, like a functioning society has these roles so that you can trust them. And we know that no system's perfect. There's always corruption. There's always people who are like this. But boy, like every incident, I mean, I hate to make a comparison to working in retail because it's, boy, what a low-stakes situation to compare it to. But working in retail, you'd be aware of the fact that if someone on the first floor, I worked in a four-story building, if someone on the first floor was rude to a customer and told them to go up on the fourth floor, where they were, that was where they, what they were looking for was, by the time they got up to the fourth floor, that customer would be so annoyed by how they'd been mistreated by someone on the ground floor that I would be dealing with it. Like, they'd be treating me as if I was a rude person as well. And that's what bad cops do for good cops, is they make it harder. Because every time you have someone in authority in a certain position abusing their authority or behaving incompetently or, in a, in a, or murderously, the, in the, that same shooting a few months ago, the one time that they got one that was clean on videotape they couldn't deny just a man unarmed running away shot in the back and then you watch as a police officer tries to plant a weapon or try to tries to make it look like they grabbed for a taser uh when you see something like that you just realize boy thanks a lot not only have you completely broken another layer of the public's ability to trust the people who are in who were given the public trust uh but you've also made it that much harder for all of the cops who are trying their best to do a good job. And the thing, this is the conversation that I was having with someone, where someone was trying to debate with me back with the Michael Brown situation about how uh, the things that he had done wrong and how we just couldn't know. And my feeling was, sure, okay, let's, let's, I'll play devil's advocate. I'll concede whatever you want me to concede on that side. But really, if you have, let's say you have, uh, I'll, I'll make the comparison to like, uh, hold on. Yeah, I'm just testing the sound to make sure it's still working. I'm still just alone in the studio rambling. Um, I feel like it's one of those things where if you have uh problems in a school, for instance, and there's problems among the student body's behavior and problems of teachers or administrators misbehaving, doing things wrong, that 
the first thing you have to fix, the first thing you have to fix is you have to make sure that the administration and the teachers, the people who are in authority, in the, in the pecking order, they got to have a clean house first. You got to do everything you can to make sure that that situation is in order before you can really make any change in how uh, the student body is behaving. Because if there's things that are being mishandled at the, at the level of teachers or administrators, then that's, that's where you got to clean, clean it up first. And I feel the same way in terms of crime and problems with the police or with, with shooting unarmed civilians. It just seems to me like anytime you have a situation where an unarmed civilian is gunned down, and in some, a lot of these cases gunned down with an, an obscene number of bullets, and these are kids, and I don't know. It's what a depressing podcast. This can't be what this can't be what you want to listen to. It just can't be. Oh God, how long has this been? Like a half hour of me talking about this? I can't believe this. I gotta, I gotta find a different topic. I gotta think of a different topic. I gotta switch. I apologize. I can't imagine you got anything out of what what just happened. Uh, but I'm alone in a room. It's actually hot in this room. Um, let me think. Let me think. If I have any stories from my past that are of interest. Oh, God. Oh, man. I can't believe I talked about Mighty Like a Rose for so long and then just went in straight into talking about how brutal our gun culture is. Um, so I've been doing... I guess I'll talk about the the doing the warm-ups for the Gethard Show, because that's my job now. Um, basically, if you watch on Tuesdays, and I imagine most, I mean, at this point, I guess most of the people who listen to this podcast are probably people who are actually physically attending those screenings. Oh, JD's back, thank God. It's the worst half hour of the podcast, probably, in the history of the podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, was it a really good call? No. Was it a really bad call? No, it was just an okay call. Okay call? What'd you talk about? Uh, I talked about a book proposal idea that I, I might do for that 33 and a third series, you know, those little music books. Yeah. They have an open call. I think I might, I might submit a submission for it. Um, and then I just started talking about our gun culture. Oh, yeah? What yeah. do you have to say about the gun culture? Uh, I mean, I don't think the listeners at this point want to hear any more about it. Okay. Um, it was just like the Second Amendment is, uh, uh, like, we just willfully misinterpret the Second Amendment and... And I was also saying that, like, with a lot of these situations, I had a conversation not too long ago where um, it was someone debating me about, like, well, with, like, a police shooting where it's like, well, it was taking more of the side of, like, uh, well, it was like the Michael Brown situation. They were, like, saying, right. we don't know. And they were sort of more emphasizing, like, all the things they felt Michael Brown might have done wrong. And I was sort of saying that in a lot of these situations, when you have an unarmed civilian and a police shooting, that... I know it's complicated, but there's the part of me that feels like when there's so many instances of people who don't have guns being shot to death by police, <coughs> that I was comparing it to uh, if you have problems in a school and there's some problems among the student behavior, but there's also problems among teachers and administrators. 
if you're triaging that situation, you kind of have to deal with the upper echelon of the authority chain first right. before you can really, if you really are concerned about the, the problems in the student body, you got to make sure that the principal is behaving appropriately right. first. Uh, but like with anything, these are complicated problems. There's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I could also imagine, the thing that's frustrating about those situations is knowing that like, some of the time there just are clear-cut situations. But it's frustrating when you have these situations where there's like, well, we don't know what really happened. We can never know. Right. And then you have a bunch of the situations in a row, and then you have that situation like the guy who's running away and was shot in the back. Uh, right. And, where you just, oh, that guy caught it on videotape, and that's the, the first one that anyone owns up to. Right. And it's like, okay, that's weird that this was the first one that was really open and shut, and it's just because it was one that was caught right. on video. Because you know if it hadn't been caught on video, it been that like, would have been well, another, well, we never know. Why was he running? Did he exactly. run with a knife? You know? Right. Um, but what's a whimsical thing we can talk about, J.D.? I don't know. What kind of whimsy? I don't know. Let's see what people are saying on Twitter. Yeah, I wish I'd had my phone in here with me because I could have just called someone and had a conversation with them uh, about something. I'll tweet. Uh, we're running out of whimsy. What do people want to know? That's the thing. Like, we could answer specific questions. I'll say we're running on fumes. On conversation fumes. You might need to get out of this room, too. I think it's a little bit uh, muggy in here. Because I think I was also just starting to get so warm. Let's go into the green room. Yeah. The cast green room with all the couches and stuff. Yeah. Um, it is warm in here. Although it was good to throw around the ball. It was great to throw around the ball. To have a catch... To have a catch with the with my boss who looks like my dad as a as a college student. Weird, right? What hey, a dad. weird thing is, man. If I was like screwed up emotionally, or if I had any kind of like father issues, right? Our relationship would be so like such Strange. fodder for therapy. Yeah, but you don't believe in therapy, so. I do believe in therapy. I just don't believe I need any. Okay. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> I think I had my therapy. Which was. Improv 101 through... Uh... Boo, no way. You don't think so? No. You don't think so? I don't. Why not? Because there's things in your life that I think you still need to talk through. What do you think? What? M me personally? Yeah. What? There's plenty of things. Name one. I won't name one because you won't want me to name one. Why? Oh, why? Because there's things in your life that you, won't, you don't discuss. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But I think those are things that had large impacts on you that you haven't, you've shelved away as opposed to dealing with. I don't think that's a problem. <laughs> okay. That's why one might think therapy would be a good thing for you. Yeah, but why if someone's happy, what, what's the point of therapy? If a person is happy and, th and, ther uh -oh. and therapy is just uh -oh. a thing that's going to make... Uh, Everything worse? What's the deal? I don't think that's the true. I don't think that's true. But I'm a happy person, J. Oh, my microphone. I'm a happy person, JD. Why would I want to mess with that? That's that's true. Uh, you don't think you can get to a place of more stability and comfort? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Um. But. 
Man, I don't have that much time left, J.D. <laughs> what do you mean? And the clock is ticking. Connor, you act like you're close to death. I am. So often. I'm, I'm almost at the age that Donald Duck was. Like, by the time Donald Duck was four you're years old. You're almost at the age that Donald Duck was when you were a child, is what you're saying. No. Donald Duck had done all of his best work by 40. <laughs> Donald Duck also was invented to do his best work. Uh-huh. We all were. Um, Donald Duck, comics and animated cartoons in the 1930, 1930s, uh, comic strips and animated shorts. In the 1940s and 50s, animated shorts and comic books. Comic books were, were where the best Donald Duck were. Is there a weird echo in here? No. Not really. Um, you can close that door if you want. No. Um, comic books by Carl Barks in the late 40s, 50s, 60s, those were the best things that Donald Duck ever was associated with. Okay. But he still was in a lot of good theatrical animated shorts in the 50s, some in the 60s. And then, uh, that's, then when he, uh, uh, then when you get to the 70s, he's not really a factor anymore. He's just part of a stable of antiquated characters that don't it didn't okay. really have an active uh, you can't really point to like what's the great Donald Duck thing that happened in the 1970s eh, nothing really there's no movies there's no cartoons there's not any great comics that came out of maybe in Europe there's some in Europe maybe what about DuckTales Connor DuckTales was uh, the 1990s and or maybe late 80s and it was almost first of all Donald Duck was written out of the show in the pilot of DuckTales. And DuckTales was mostly just a repurposing of the Carl Barks comics of Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck in the 1940s and 50s. That's what that show was. Um, my mic is too close to my mouth right now. Hashtag Mike Mouth. Um, the point is, I've already reached the age at which Donald Duck was essentially done as far as like uh, as a vibrant creative presence I say I have one more decade oh my god what am I going to do in my me. What am I, JD what am I going to do in my 50s it's going to be so great I have I, no idea I have my 40s that's the, that's the decade of of whatever I'm going to accomplish is going to be in this next decade well whatever you're going to accomplish is going to be in your life period so you're already you're already held back by that fact. Yeah, but... Ben Gibson says, Say something I can motion type O. He says O? He wrote motion type O. Motion typography. Say something he can motion typography. He's the guy... He's he Ben did. Gibson is who did the rules yeah. of comedy. Yeah. Um, okay. What are you thinking? Nothing. Connor's lost his whimsy. Um, what I, looks good in motion typography? Um, Catchphrases, uh, new sounds that we invent. New sounds? Yeah. Oh, okay. We, you mean just like, like a speech that seems like it means something? That sounds like it has the cadences, but it's just phonemes. I think so. Yeah. 
Sort of like nonsense words, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's morbid. Of me. I mean, you reacted to me saying I don't have much time left as if I was being ridiculous. Yeah, you have literally minimum half your life left. Minimum half my life left? Yes. That's the minimum as 80 years? What? I'm going to live to 80 minimum? No, the minimum amount of time you have left is half of your life. The minimum amount of you time? You will live to 80. That's not... You can't say that. Yes, I can. That's not the minimum. The minimum is this building collapses now. No. In terms of... You're not talking about disaster and whatnot. You're talking about old age, your lifespan. Sure. You have at least double what you have already lived. I have... You're, that statement makes no sense to me. I have 80 years left? No, you have at least... Double what I've already lived is 80 more years. I know. 80 okay, years. I misspoke. <laughs> the fact... That actually would depress me in a different way. If what? I knew that I had at least... The minimum was 80 more years of it. You have... I need to start saving, J.D. I haven't planned for that. Your full life will be double what you have already lived. Mm. So you have minimum the amount of time that you've already spent on Earth. Yeah. But I would say the first fourth of your life, first fifth of your life, no, first... Doesn't count, but it's also third mirrored. third of your life doesn't yeah. really count. Doesn't count in the same way that the last third will be mirrored, but it'll be the opposite. It'll be the crumbling of, of my whole being. No, see, I don't, I don't believe that with modern medicine and stuff like that these days. Like, you're pretty, people are pretty with it until... Until they aren't. Until the end. Until they aren't. No, it's usually like... Mm. It feels like a long time, but it's honestly usually only a year or two. Uh, Not, But in the same way that the first six hours of this podcast feels longer than the second six hours, this next part's going to go quick. It is, so that's why you got to move quick. I'm moving as fast as I can, J.D. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying you save no time left. I have one solid decade, uh, and... If I'm No, you do not have one solid decade. I know plenty of great creative people who in their 60s are still outputting at the top, their top level still. I don't know if I'm that type, though, you know? I think you have... If you want to be really pessimistic and say, like, there's a period of time when you're going to stop being creative, yeah. you still have 30 years. Your numbers are insane. They're insanely optimistic for me. I know people in their 60s that are still creating stuff and yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Mm. Sidney Lumet... Last film. It's dead. Age 86, I believe. It's dead. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Age 86. Yeah. You think that's his best film? No. Oh. I think it's of his best work, though. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone that watched that that didn't know that was Sidney Lumet yeah. went, oh, this was made by some old guy. No, but Philip Seymour Hoffman's dead, too. Yeah. You have, you have more time left than Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Okay, we're getting some more suggestions here. Oh, good. We didn't really do that one, unless they want to animate us talking about that. <laughs> It'll be like, I am too old. I have not enough time left. I fear that I am past the prime of Donald Duck. Don't do that. That would be not an exciting one. And also, we don't, we can't, we don't have the rights to Donald Duck. Yeah, you're, the motion typography that he'll do for you is just... That'd be one ten-second frame of you just saying the word death. 
<laughs> Just one word. <coughs> I've made my peace with mortality. I know you have. Uh, yeah, make motion typography of Connor saying he doesn't need to go to therapy. I don't need to go to therapy. <laughs> motion typography that. <laughs> the... I got a lot of my issues sorted out doing improv. <laughs> motion typography that. It's true. I didn't realize why it was happening, but then I start realizing, like, hey, I used to be worried about this. Now I'm okay with it. A lot of, a lot yeah, of, but before that, you would have said the exact same thing about therapy now. I was like, oh, I'm happy now. Why do I do that now? I wasn't happy then. I know, but I think you don't know happiness until you've moved towards it. No, I'm here. I'm in it. I know, but I think you could probably find more happiness and peace. Oh, that's so greedy. You're a Ray Kroc. I'm a McDonald brother. Oh, no, you're not. No. Why don't you want to find more happiness? Let's find more happiness. Grind it out. We we answered a question from the first half of the no, podcast. No, we didn't. You forced the answer. I the am a McDonald brother. You are a Ray Kroc grinding it out. Okay, we got more questions. I'm gonna. I want to move past the the uh, requisite part of the podcast where you uh, you doubt the amount of time you have left versus the amount of things you want to achieve. I don't know. What do I want to achieve? I don't okay. know. Okay. 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 I'm sorry for saying that you want to achieve anything. Um, okay. Let me say this before you say that. Oh, Let me say it's going to be whatever it is. It's going to be depressing. I can just no, tell. No. Uh, I, the, the thing that was therapeutic for me about improv was that in improv, you draw on a lot of your own impulses and you say things in ways that are more, in order to, you find yourself trapped in a bunch of scenes that aren't going anywhere and you start realizing, it's better if I just say the thing that I'm thinking better if I just state like this is what I want or this is what I think of you or this what and those are things that we are resistant to because in life we spend a lot of time avoiding being like that but it makes improv scenes a lot easier so we develop that impulse it also has meant that in life I've been more uh, uh, it's been easier for me to actually say what I'm actually thinking and I agree with that actually I don't think you can use that analogy to say that you don't need therapy um, I will say last uh, my grandma was coming to this wedding and didn't want to attend alone, so had me attend with her, which is why I was at this wedding this week. It's also a cousin of mine who I know well, and et cetera, et cetera. My second cousin. My family is very large. I was laughing about that with my cousins talking, is that I have like, what, 20 something first cousins on my mom's side alone. Yeah. And my second cousins on my mom's side of the family, I'm very close with as well. Yeah. I'm closer with my second cousins and my first cousins once removed. Yeah probably closer than most people are with their first cousins. Wow. Because, like, I know them very well. We're in contact. I hang out with my second cousins all the time. Yeah. We should have a very big family. Anyways, my grandmother was saying at this wedding how she was like, she was like, it was so much fun being with you because, you know, I don't have to do anything. You're like an adult. Because, you know, she laughing because all of my other cousins are much younger and so she sees them more than she sees me. Right. And then she was like, and you're so good at talking to people. It's so... Oops, I put this on over this. Wait, how do I do this? Um, she's like, you're so good at talking to people. She's like, she's like, she's like, it seems like ever since you started performing, you're a very good conversationalist. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's because when I'm, when I'm meeting a stranger, I always have like five questions. Mm -hmm. They say something. Oh, nice to meet you. And I go, oh, so what do you do? And they go, oh, I'm a... I'm an uh, environmental lawyer. Oh, environmental law. 
that must have a big spotlight on it these you know whatever it is and suddenly you go yeah you're having a conversation because you're just following the you're listening yeah exactly you're listening and responding to what's being said exactly yeah. so i do think that's true yeah um you don't need therapy either yes shut up connor oh maybe shut up maybe you need a little therapy i would never speak that way to you that's the difference between me and you, JD. I would never. Shut up, Connor. I would never say that to you. JD. Shut up, Connor. I would never say that to you. Yeah. I don't think you. I don't think you have it in you. I do have it in me, but I would never say it to you. I don't think you have that kind of anger inside. No. You. It's true. I probably don't have that kind of anger inside me. Not for my friends, for my enemies. Look out. That okay. last that last segment was for motion. Uh, what the shut up? Shut up, and then I don't think you have it in you. And I think that whole thing could be animated well. Even this part right now, this part could be animated real well. This part should not be animated. Mm. If what I'm saying right now is animated, then there is a problem. Uh oh. Well, then there's a problem because look what's happening. <laughs> no, stop animating this. Don't animate nope. this. How about animate this part? Well, you can't animate it because it's a real jumble of words. Bop 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 no, the way we can get them is by going, beep up, 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 boop, McDonald's, uh huh, and just have things that he can't. Oh, the, the YouTube's uh, song trackers will. Uh, yeah, what's a, what's a song that? Uh, what's a song that famously gets taken down from things? Uh, I don't know, but um, my uh, two and a half hour supercut of every Elvis Costello performance ever on Letterman got. Uh, it was up for a while, and I put it up on YouTube to coincide so that it would be up in the final month of yeah. Letterman when people would be paying attention to that. And then, about a month before Letterman ended, CBS's copyright robots uh, uh, blocked it. So it was up for a little while, and then it got blocked. But then another person did their own edit of the exact same things. Uh, and they had one better quality clip at the top of it, whereas I had a lower quality clip of one of the things, because I had just scrounged it from a bunch of different sources. Uh, but it kind of annoyed me that it was like somebody else put it up, and that one didn't get taken down. But then a couple of weeks ago, all of Letterman's old clips right. vanished from YouTube because CBS no longer has the right. license. It reverted back to Worldwide Pants, but it also meant that the block got lifted on mine. Because Letterman's Worldwide oh, Pants right. isn't actively now. Yeah. They're not paying or doing whatever to troll YouTube to keep things off of it. So, my, so back up. it's back up now. Is it in the lead in views? Uh, I don't know. Okay, here's some questions. Okay. We did say some Nick in motion typo. Griffey. J.M. Chow. When you were kids, what did you think life would be like? Ugh. <sighs> uh, well, I remember when I was a kid having a fantasy. I hated riding on the school bus. It was so loud, and it was so horrible, and the kids were so mean. And it was just like it felt terrible. I loved when I got finally got to the age where we were in a we moved to a neighborhood where I couldn't actually get the school bus service. So that meant that I would have to ride in with my uh, dad in the morning, and then my mom right. would pick me up after school and. But in elementary school, I had to ride the school bus. I hated school buses. I hated being. I, I was a kid who was like scared of. I was like didn't like kids. I didn't like kids. I didn't like rowdy kids when I was a kid. Yeah, me neither. And I remember having this fantasy 
Well, I also felt like it still didn't make sense to me that in a school bus you had to wear a seatbelt because cars were so dangerous, but school buses were just, you just piled into them. I was like, what's to stop us getting hurt like in a car if we're not in seatbelts? But I had this fantasy that uh, I would get onto a school bus and there would be individual, rather than seats with three per seat, yeah. there'd be individual locked little rooms on the bus, like private quarters on a train. And you could go into the train quarter, you'd go into your little room, and there'd be a TV and comic books and, a, and an unlimited library of, you could watch any cartoons you wanted, any TV shows you wanted, any movies you wanted, you could listen to any music you wanted, you could read anything, and I think what I was... So you got it right. Yeah, that like... You wanted an iPad. I wanted, yeah, I wanted the internet... And I wanted access to unlimited media at my fingertips and privacy, a way to feel private about it. And that's basically what I have on any commute now. I'm not in a private chamber, but I have, I have a phone that can look up lots of stuff. I have my iPod that I can listen to any song I want. I can watch movies. I can uh, read any books I want on my uh, Nook e-reader. And... So weirdly, I do feel like the thing that I was wishing for is the thing that now we have, which is like unlimited access to works of art. Yeah, and uh, and an ability to be in your to be amongst a crowd of people and still just be in your own space. There's this thing that I often reference, um, where it's hard for people to become filmmakers mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things that have to happen for that to be the case. Yeah. And the first thing is you have to be mesmerized by films as a child, I think, Yeah. in some way. And I think the first instinct for everyone for that is that you are, you want to live in those movies. Yeah. You think that making movies means you just get to live that world. Right. That you get to live that adventure. Yeah. And that when you're the director, you just get to decide what the adventure is. Yeah. But then you learn what filmmaking actually is. It's it's very different than that. Yeah. And that same magic is not there. It's just different magic. So you have to be someone that both that first magic appeals to and the second magic of the real hard work and the real details that result in that have to has to also be something that's magical and worth it to you. Yeah. So I remember that shift happening when realizing like, oh, the magic of what I like about movies is not what it ta what it is to make movies. Yeah. So I yeah, I think when I was a kid I thought my life would be that I would just get to live in movies. And now I do, but that's a different thing. It is a different thing because if I'm fully honest, um, even though there's lots of comedy that I love watching, if I'm fully honest, I enjoy doing comedy more than I enjoy experiencing comedy now. Yes. I know what you mean. There's also, I do this thing here, and it's like being recording in this office is actually sort of like part of it is like I spend a lot of time now. I'll be here late at night when no one no is here working, and I'll, I'll take a break and I'll just walk around the studio floor. Yeah. Because to me, that's my version of living in that world where it's yeah. like this is my this is my TV studio. This is the set I built. These are the cameras. I can do whatever I want. Right now, I, I could move something on the set and that's how it'll look on TV I get to change TV whenever I want right now so I do think that that fulfills that in a certain way yeah. um, 
LFD Camo says, where Brooklyn at? Uh, well, it's east of Manhattan. Um, technically a part of uh, the island of Dr. Merlot. Dr. Merlot. Dr. Merlot. Um, my favorite movie, Walter, is The Island of Dr. Merlot. <laughs> is this a Muppet? Was it a Muppet? No. Headbanger the Fourth, who often tweets, I'll just say it, he tweets long strings of tweets at us, mm-hmm. which are some, I read them all, but sometimes I'm overwhelmed and don't know how to respond. Um, he asks, which off-the-beaten-path places would you take an out-of-towner friend into New York? I didn't read his tweet. I just made up words after the first couple words. Which off-the-beaten-path places would you take out-of-towner friends in New York? Off-the-beaten-path? I wouldn't take them there. Those are my secret places. I don't give those to people. Well, I don't know if I have any off-the-beaten-path locations anymore. Maybe you're on the Bramble in Central Park. That's not that off the beaten path, but I don't. I don't. I can't expose those because those are my secrets. I have a lot of secret places in New York. In my hometown, in my hometown, I would take people to. I mean, the whole, my hometown's off. No one would be there unless they chose to be. But uh, I would take them to Gilson Park, where the beach is. It's a wonderful. Be, mm-hmm. One of the best beaches. I would take them to the Baha'i Temple. My hometown is one of the two temples of Baha'i in the world. And it was only built in my town because it's exactly opposite of the main one on the earth. Uh, Ramona, talk about what fine art you like or museums. She also asks, talk about barbers. Do you go to a barber? There's a unisex hair salon. Uh, sort of right across the street from the street I'm on. It's like $8 for a haircut. Uh, so that's where I get it cut. Have you ever gone to a fancy place? Yeah. Uh, last autumn, um, when I did that Project Green Light short, um, the director of that, uh, I had pretty curly hair at that point, and he was like, uh, would you mind getting a, a haircut for it? I said, well, I really wasn't planning on getting a haircut. He said, no, I'll, I'll pay for you to get the haircut. And then I was like, yeah, then just like have him cut it however you want me to have it for your film. Yeah. And so we, we went to a place that was, he took me to a place that was in um, Soho. And just everything about it was a different experience. I can't imagine paying for it myself. But it was, uh, it just felt way more indulgent. It just felt like the whole process was like longer and slower. And I tend to be very simple about what I want from it. Like I just want it cut pretty quick and be out of there. Uh, But I will say that that cut probably retained a better shape for longer than my current cut. Um... Do you have a regular? Yeah. I've gone to the same guy for like 10 years now. Wow. Let me get a glass of water real quick. Okay. Talking loud. You seem tired. 
That's why I need some water. Get that um, water. Do you want a water? Uh, no, I'm fine. Two waters for me, then. Headbanger the fourth says, JD, have you ever been to the Baha'i place in Wilma? Hey, I was just talking about that, Headbanger the fourth. Do you have any friends, acquaintances who frequent it? No friends or acquaintances that frequent it, but I've been there myself. If you're offering all expensive paid house and arrangements on the island of Yap, would you live there? Why or why not? I do not know what the island of Yap is. So I would not frequent there. Zach Hodes asks, would you live in a biodome for a year? JD would. No, I wouldn't. You'd love it. Would you? No way. You, I think you would. You Maybe. would love it. What do I have access to? A little to? world that's all just your own. You don't have to deal with anyone else. How much access to media do I have? Uh, as much as you want. Outside world contact? Mm, yes. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. You just can't leave. You can check it out anytime you like? No, you have to stay in it. You can never leave? Yeah. It's quoting the Hotel California no, song? No, you have a year. You have one year. I know you're quoting Hotel California. It's not Hotel California. Two more while I'm thinking. Would you stay in the Hotel California? Yes. The one from the song? Yes. You can check it out anytime you like, but you can never leave? Yeah, exactly. Right. What's the farthest distance either of you traveled by yourself at once, biking or car trip? Across the country. By yourself? I don't yeah. think I've ever done that by myself. I mean, I don't know if that counts as ask at once. I've driven like, you know, like 10 hours by myself. Well, I guess for mine it was from... Missouri to Oregon in a U-Haul truck uh, in the, I think, December of 2000? Or no, maybe December of 99? Uh, no, no, it was December of 2000. Uh, Emma Phipps, a.k.a. Emma Joe, a.k.a. Diego, Diego Safety. What does Diego Safety refer to? Do you know what Diego safety refers to? No, I don't know what the origin story is. Why don't you ask? Okay. What, what does she say? I mean, I haven't asked yet. Oh, talk about clothes. Okay. Um, you don't go shopping often. No. I've started dressing... Nicer? Uh, I've started caring about what I wear in the past four years. You always have a distinct fashion sense. I like that. Um, right now you're wearing uh, kind of a, would that be like a pastel red? It's a pastel red. Pants. Pants. And a blue button up. You know, uh, something that I believe in that I try my best to do but it's hard. What? Is um, I was once working for a client and they were a big fan of this designer. Um, I, and... He said something that the designer believed in that I've sort of taken as my own, too, which is that if you are a designer or a creative person, your job is to design, is to design the world around you. So any opportunities you have to make choices, you should make choices that you think are interesting and not just default to whatever the easiest choice is, yeah. what are the most convenient choices. So things like what you wear and what your surroundings look like and how you operate, since those are all choices you make, they should, since you as an artist are an artist of making choices, you should make those choices count. Mm -hmm. And I believe that too. I think it's easy just to default to whatever's easiest or simplest. 
but I think there's some, there is something to designing your entire world as well, as best you can. I can see the other side of it too, where not to focus your energy on that. I've actually often, I've, I've considered dabbling. There's a school of thought for some designers and creative people as well, Yeah. Um, where you take, it's sort of the same school of thought where it's every choice that you make, you should put creative energy into. Uh-huh. And so instead of then spending all the energy deciding what you're gonna wear and what you're that, you make decisions that will remove those questions from your everyday. Yeah. So there's a lot of designers and people who just buy one outfit uh-huh. and that is the outfit that they wear. I like, I like that. So I've been thinking about doing that for a while. I mean, I kind of do that in that I have I have multiple pairs of, of pants that are the same. Uh, and I have uh, a couple different pairs of the same shoes. Yeah. So a lot of times it'll probably seem like I'm just wearing the same thing. But, but I you don't dress wear. for appearance, though. No, not really. You dress for comfort. Yeah. And utility. That's why you have cargo pants. Yeah. I think I dress for appearance now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I bought two suits for the show, but they're also for, you know, when we're done with the show, I'll have two suits um, that I can use for any purpose. But that, I'll be honest, a suit to me feels like a costume. Like when I wear the suit, it's really not that different than if I was dressed up like an... Um, gorilla I feel that too though in every day yeah I think dressing up is a costume that you put on so you can behave the way you want to behave yeah but like like I wouldn't wear like if I wear like running shorts and a t-shirt to work I don't think I'd think the same way that I do when I wear a button-up shirt and that's like on show days I always wear the same thing I always wear the same um, like pullover uh-huh because it's like that's the mentality I want to be in. I think you have to create costumes for yourself, like superhero costumes. You got to have your Clark Kent. And you got to have your Superman. And then you also have to have your like non-featured in comics Clark Kent, the guy that's just like in shorts on a couch. What's the last line of the movie Memento? <laughs> Never seen it. Never seen Memento? Nope. You'd like it. Yeah. It was one of those things that people were so into it that I was like, eh, tired of hear- hearing them talk about it, and then I just never got around to it. I formed a reaction formation. Unfairly, I'm sure I would like Have it. you seen other Nolan films? No. You've never seen a Christopher Nolan movie? No, I've seen all of his post-Batman work. Uh, have you seen the Batman movies? Yeah. That's it. I just asked you, have you ever seen any other Nolan films? And you said no. I thought you assumed, you meant pre-Batman Nolan films. And he only did like... Like the following and the... Following Memento and Insomnia were the only pre-Batman ones. And I haven't seen those. But you've seen what? Like Inception and Inception Prestige? And Batman and... Prestige? No, I actually never saw Prestige. Prestige is pretty good. But, but they all pale in comparison as far as I'm concerned to Memento. Like I'm impressed... I'm impressed with all of his movies. I'm a fan of his. I like his movies. Um, but Memento, to me, was one of those movies that was like, 
that's you you took your one in a million shot like you you like it's it's impressive to me that he's maintained an impressive career since then because to me memento is the kind of film that you don't recover from you know in a good way but also but in a bad way long term that like sometimes people will do something that's just like well you're never gonna top that not really and i think he's come close in some ways he's topped it in other areas like he's managed to be audacious and work with scale in a way that's impressive, but I don't think he's. A, I don't think he'll ever. I don't think it's possible. Kind of in the same way, like like I think Wes Anderson in a same similar way with Rushmore, you know, on a smaller scale level, that for people who really felt the impact of Rushmore, it's hard to, to top the rush that you got from that. No pun intended, but like it's it's. It's um, like a lot of people love Rushmore and then kind of haven't really liked a lot of it since then. Like they may be like Tenenbaums a little bit, or but not as much as Rushmore. And then with each one, have, have not really come back to it because in some ways it was like, well, that was for some people that was just the one. And I feel that way with Memento. It's like, but Memento even more so because Memento, Memento played with memory and story structure in a way that like you can't really repeat it's a trick you can't repeat and once you've seen it the one time it's a, it's not a it's not like you can just find another version of that and su- be surprising again you know yeah uh emma joe phipps i don't know I, I, emma phipps i don't know why emma joe is her twitter she says anthony weiner carlos danger what about it? That's her response to what's her why her Twitter handle is, and it's Diego Safety. Oh, Carlos Danger, Diego Safety. Yeah, got it. Um, <laughs> Robbie, what conspiracies do you guys believe in? None. I, all of my insane beliefs, I do not believe are conspiracies. I mean, conspiracies. Um, all of my insane beliefs are correct. Only insane by other people, but those people are incorrect. That's different than conspiracy. Conspiracy, you just believe a few people work together to keep something secret. Yes. But if it's true, is it a conspiracy? I guess it is. Yeah. Um, no, because I'm not asking what untrue things you believe in or what paranoid belie- delusions are okay, you involved in. Okay, what conspiracies do I believe in? I believe... 9-11 was inside job. No, I don't think I believe that. It's amazing how comfortably that became a punchline because enough people said it. Yeah. Because there would have been a period in which you saying that would have been so shocking that it would have been like... Uh, remember when like Gilbert Gottfried got in trouble? Yeah. But I don't feel like he'd get in trouble now. No. It's become like a... Let's consider, I mean, I think stuff is hidden <laughs> from people all the time. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of things that happen with wars and political stuff. I think a lot of it is conspiratorial. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you two of them. Okay. They're both kind of connected. I think that New York City doesn't bother creating a convenient way to get to the airports because the taxi, uh, it's too much money in taxis and shuttles. Okay. Because, like, if, you, if you're in London and you want to go to Heathrow Airport, you t- get, in your, get in the subway and it takes you to Heathrow Airport and it takes you to the terminal you want. Right. Uh, New York City, if you try to take public transportation, the one time I tried to take 
public transportation to LaGuardia when I lived in Manhattan, uh, you basically get a bu- uh, you get a take a bus up to a certain area, and then the 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 place where you wait for your bus to the airport was just like uh, a block where there was like a burned down drugstore and like nothing else around, and it was an area where like you look conspicuous just waiting with a suitcase. Right. Like you, because it was just no, it wouldn't be like if you were waiting on like uh, Houston or Fourteenth or like any busy street. It felt like a a deserted area. Uh, it would be like if you were waiting somewhere like under the Queensboro Bridge or something. Where they leave you off? No, where you you have to get out. You get out at a of certain place subway. of the subway, and then you're waiting for the bus from a certain area. Yeah, that's like how I walked to my house. Where? It's in Astoria. No, it wasn't a story. It was in Manhattan. This is when I lived in Manhattan. It's a bus from Manhattan? Yeah. That takes you to the LaGuardia? Yeah. Usually you take the N to the B-52, right? Yeah, this was another instruction that was like, this is this is how to get to the airport. This was years yeah. ago, though. It may be different now. But anyway. Um, but it feels like it's just like, no, it's taxis and uh, shuttles and, like, everybody's got their way of making money getting you to the airport. Right. And so there's no reason to build a public way of also would be, I mean, the fact that they still haven't built a Second Avenue subway after how many decades of saying they were working on it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's being built. It's just taking forever. Um, and also related to that, I feel like this isn't really a conspiracy, but I, uh, in a, I feel like it's just like a... The difference between if you take the London Underground, you look at the subway on the London Underground map, and everything goes where it says it's going to go, and there's not a lot of confusion. It's pretty easy to understand. And I feel like New York City subways are are designed for... They're even confusing to locals, but they're designed to almost be repellent to tourists so that tourists will just take taxis. Huh. Because you never get on a subway in London... The, the the London subways are tourist friendly. Right. You'd never get on a subway in London and have a train that was going to go in one direction suddenly say, now we're going a different way. We're going to stop these places. We're going to stop these places instead. We're going a different way. Goodbye. What? What did they say? Oh, it's not stopping at the other places. It's going to stop half the stops and not the others. Never happen. And in New York... You'll just be on a train, and all of a sudden they'll just announce, we're no longer doing this, we're doing that. Or, you know what, I don't, maybe I'm stupid, but I don't understand when the trains suddenly say, uh, F trains are now running on the E line. Does that mean the F just becomes an E for a while? Actually, I never get that either. What does it mean if it's like, you should get on an F train if you want to go to F train places, or F train becomes an E train and goes on E stops? I don't know, actually. But it's confusing. It happens all the time. Yeah. So you have no hope if you're a tourist. Like, we've lived in New York how many years, and neither of us truly understand what it means when this weekend the F train will be running on the E line. (coughs) Yeah, does it just mean that? I have no idea what that means, actually. Does it mean you go into an F station and it's not there because it's running on the E line? Or does that mean you go to the E station and F train's picking you up, but it's an E train? That's probably what it means, right? But who cares? Why would you even tell? Like, who cares about that? Why run an F train? Just run E's. Change the, change the sign. Yeah. Anyway, it, I do believe that it is, it's either just a casual disregard, or at some point someone's just like, look, 
the tourists come to town, they know to take taxis, they know to do this, do that. What else do I believe that's a conspiracy? Oh, here's a kind of a comedy one, sort of. Not really a conspiracy, but I do believe this. And I was very kind of relieved to read someone else say this that I think is in a position where it can't be dismissed as a crackpot opinion. I always felt that in the year 2000, the Saturday Night Live sketches of Bush and Gore had a detrimental effect on the outcome, the ultimate outcome of the election. And Al Franken said this again, said this recently, that he believes that in those sketches, uh, which I think were written by Jim Downey, writes a lot of the great political sketches that have been on SNL over the past decades. Um, Bush was sort of portrayed as, as written at that time. Like the way Will Ferrell played Bush four years later right. uh, was very different than the way he was written and played in 2000. And in 2000, Will Ferrell was so charming and likable as Bush, even though they were playing him as a dummy. And Daryl Hammond played Gore in a way that was so unappealing. Like the game of those sketches every week was really about <clears throat> how Al Gore didn't know how to behave. So like in, in the first debate, Al Gore talked a lot about how he would put the Social Security fund in a lockbox so that it couldn't be touched, so that it would be solvent. And the first sketch they did was just made fun of Al Gore for saying lockbox. Every answer was lockbox. And I remember thinking like, hmm, it's weird because it actually was like a really good idea that made sense. Right. And... There wasn't any. There was sort of a choice to make that the joke. It wasn't like people were ridiculing Lockbox right. until they did the sketch, and then it got so bad that Gore's people sat him down and made him. Gore was like, "I don't think I did a thing wrong in the debates," and then uh, they made him sit down and watch the SNL sketches, saying, "Look at how you're being portrayed. You have to change the way you're doing these debates." So then the second debate, he had a completely different demeanor. And then the third debate, he had a completely different demeanor. So these sketches got so in Gore's people's head right. that it actually led to him, uh, even though I think he won those debates in terms of, it, I think Bush did terribly in all those and debates. And arguably the election. <laughs> yeah, he did win the election. And, but I think those sketches helped form the larger media narrative that Gore was just a loser. Right. Uh, and... I remember when uh, Farrell did a great, uh, um, our boss, uh, Will Farrell, did uh, Bush in 2004. There was a great Funny or Die video where it starts off and it's Bush saying, these last four years have been really, really bad. And they're like, cut, you can't say that. And he's like, what? Oh, oh, okay, I got it. And he starts off and he goes, these four years have been really, really good. <laughs> and... I just remember thinking that it was such a funny take on it that, like, either way that you say that is a disastrous thing to say after those four years right. being such a disastrous period. Yeah. Um, but I do think that's an example just because of in that one year, with it being such a close call in Florida, that you can actually kind of point to those sketches as being, like, one of the major things. I guess you could probably say the same thing about Tina Fey in 2008. Yeah. But it, I think that was just like, it was done so well that it just amplified what was going to happen anyway. It's sort of like that was the most laser sharp right. analysis of what a disastrous candidate 
Palin was. Right. Have I talked about or shown you the the Al Gore Spike Jones documentary before? I've seen it. I think. Yeah, I also I also believe this. Uh, look it up. Spike Jones, filmmaker Spike Jones, was hired by the Gore campaign and the Democratic National Convention to make a little film about Al Gore for the 2000 Democratic Convention. Inexplicably, it was shown during the day only to the people in the convention, who were probably the people in the country who least needed to be convinced right. to vote for Al Gore. Uh, if they had shown that in prime time on television... I think Al Gore would have decisively won the election because the one thing that we were missing in that election was people were like, oh, I want to have a beer with George W. Bush. Right. And the Al Gore thing, it's not like it made him super cool. It just showed him to be like a normal guy. Yeah. My favorite part of that is the part where they're having movie night. Right. And he brings down, Al Gore brings down a pile of DVDs yeah. and he says, all right, well, now we're going to vote on these and see which movie we're going to watch tonight. Yeah. And his daughters are just like, oh, we hate this part. Like, why do we have to just pick one? Why do we have to vote? Yeah. And there's a part where he's like, oh, we got the Patriot. I'm not sure about that. He puts that there and he's at clumps and he kind of makes his face like yeah. Al Gore doesn't want to watch the clumps. And I remember just thinking like, oh, he's just like, I mean, like. It's a little bit like the Romney thing, that you're just seeing the person. Yeah. But I already liked Al Gore's see, politics. Because basically the thing with politics is that like, you're like, this guy isn't actually like this. He's a fucking snake behind all this. Yeah. And then when you see him, you're like, oh, no, that's just like how this guy is. Or like, you get to see the parts of that are true and the parts yeah. of that are pretense. The seeing Al Gore's reaction to the clumps. <laughs> clumps. He kind of makes a little face. It's just like the most human moment you can have. It's just like he's just a dad who doesn't want to watch the clumps. <laughs> he makes a face that is like, like... What happened? The clumps. Oh, this is here. Well, the kids might want to watch it because it's fun, but I really don't want to watch the clumps. Like that would ruin Al Gore's evening, having yeah. to watch the clumps. Exactly. Um, he's like, why do we have this? But sort of like the like face. And the last thing I'll say before we move to your conspiracy theories is... I mean, mine aren't really conspiracy theories as such. I guess they are a little bit. But um, I do tend to still fall on the side of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald couldn't have been the lone gunman in, uh, in Dallas, but other people have seemed convinced that he was. Um, I found it persuasive just saying that he could, The thing I found persuasive, the one thing I find persuasive, if true, is the thing about he couldn't have made that shot. Right. And I think if that's true, it's just like the people saying like that the uh, like the single I know that JFK is the movie JFK is a lot of conjecture and like muddled right. together dramatic things, but it seems like if you can't if if other tra better trained uh, marksmen tested that out and none of them could make the shot, then it seems like well that's it then. Right. What else? Ha something else happened. Um, but here this is more of a working theory than a conspiracy, but it's that in my lifetime. U.S. presidential elections are, this is going to sound obvious at first, but they are won by the person who seems like a winner and they are lost by the person who seems like a loser. And that's the only thing that really matters uh, because we are basically a, there's a middle 10 to 20 percent of the election, uh, of the electorate that uh, changes their mind 
Like, there's a solid 40 and 40 that aren't going to budge. Right. Like, you're just not going to... I'm in that 40. You're not going to find me voting for a Republican candidate for president. It's just... It's not going to... It would take such an extraordinary circumstance of a horrible Democrat and a perfectly reasonable moderate Republican, which I don't, I don't envision that happening anytime soon. Right. But it would take a real change up for me to get out of that 40. Right. And then there's a 40 that's just like, we're not voting for Hillary Clinton. We're not voting for anyone that Democrats put up. I'm voting for a Republican no matter what. Then in that middle 10 to 20, those people, there's a big enough chunk of those people, a decisive chunk of those people, that it's basically like a high school popularity contest. And it's like, whoever seems like the winner, that's who I'm voting for. I vote with the winner. I don't want to waste my vote. Right. And so in all of the elections, except for one in my lifetime, that's what it's been. Carter seemed like a loser. He seemed like a loser. The country's losing. Reagan seemed like a winner. We're going to vote for him. He's confident. Mondale, ah, he's a loser. Mondale seems like a loser. Reagan's a winner. It's morning in America. Uh, Dukakis, they asked him, uh, that thing of him riding the tank, it was like, ah, he looks like a loser. They asked him, uh, um, Governor Dukakis, what if your wife, Kitty Dukakis, was raped and murdered? What would you do? And he's like, well, don't you support the death penalty? And he was like, no, I don't believe in the death penalty. And they were like, well, he's, he's a coward. They were just like, right. and all these elections turn on that. The only election, like Gore, they made him look like a high school nerd. Uh, Kerry, stuck up high school nerd. They're both nerds. Obama, politically almost no different from Gore and Kerry. Still kind of a policy nerd, but cool. He was cooler. You couldn't make him seem uncool. Right. He's a cool guy, and he seemed more like a winner than an angry old man who picked a, 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 a desperate running mate. It was just, it always comes down to, like, Romney seemed like a loser in 2012. He was always kind of on the ropes. He always seemed like he right. was, like, struggling and talking about, I like trees, I like cars. Like, he was just so desperate to right. uh, be liked that it seemed like that. The only one that wasn't like that was 92 with Clinton and Bush and Perot. Right. I think Clinton would have lost if Perot wasn't running. Because. Yeah. And it's weird because of all the presidents that we've elected, Clinton's probably one of the ones who's like considered the coolest. Like right. he's the one guy that like you walk, he walks into a room and everyone, everyone's kind of like, hey, he's like giving off like Clinton's the one president we've ever had in our lifetime that seems to have these like pheromones that he comes to the room and he's like, he's just looking at you. Like, you're the center of his attention. If Hillary Clinton wins, that'll be the first time in presidential history that an ex-president is married to another president. It's true. I mean, that is going to be fascinating to watch. Because in a weird way, like, the, the, the first spouse is always kind of popular. Yeah. Um, they don't even have to do that much to be kind of popular. It'll be really interesting to see, like, I think everyone's like, what's Bill going to do to louse this up? Like, I think there is, like, a, a certain amount of the media that's hungry to see, like, is Bill going to cause trouble? Right. See, he's a rascal. He's going to cause some trouble. But I'm kind of interested to see, like, when he's not burdened with having to be uh, president, he's not having to do the heavy right. part of it. I think he could be pretty dynamite just being the guy who's like, well, here we are. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be focusing on this for a while. And just like he's the guy who gets to make, like. What do they call, what, what will they call him? Well, he's been joking first dude. 
That's the joke that he's made, I think. But also, like... First gentleman would be the technical reversal of first lady, right? But does first gentleman... Because, you know, after you're a president, they always refer to you as Mr. President. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first... You can't call him first president. You know what I mean? Because yeah. don't they call all ex-presidents that they call... I think so, yeah. They still call Mr. President. As a term of respect? Yeah. Uh, so they still have to call him President Clinton? President Clinton? Yeah. Ooh. You know what I mean? A, it seems like a crisis in the making. Like, to be called first gentleman is like a... Demotion? Demotion. from the, I, I don't think they demote. It's uncharted territory. But right. unless you just assume that first gentleman isn't a demotion, it's a term of honor. Yeah. You have to consciously make the choice to say, it's never been done before, but we can't call you President Clinton because that's President Clinton. She's President Clinton. Right. You can't be President Clinton. It'll be too confusing. So at a certain point, you just have to say, um, but first gentleman is pretty cumbersome. Like, first lady uh, is a couple syllables easier. But also, doesn't it seem weird that... First gent? You know, because, like, there's the gender thing of when you marry, the woman takes the male's name. Yeah. So doesn't it feel like unfair that his name gets to be president twice <laughs> it does it does feel that way you know what I president, mean it should be president Rodham Clinton yeah um maybe uh the rule cause it's unprecedented maybe uh the rule is if your president and your wife is first lady and then your wife then becomes president then you are referred to as second lady. Interesting. It almost makes sense. Only because it's uncharted territory. The odds of it happening again are so slender. Like, I feel like there's a greater odds, I feel like there's better odds of America ceasing to be a country before we would ever get to a point where the spouse of a president then becomes a president later. Right. Like, I just, when's it going to happen again? How's that going to catch on as a trend? Yeah, this will be... A, yeah. This will be the one time it ever happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I, see, I, I see an easier path toward the destruction and dissolution of the United States of America. I see an easier path toward that than I do towards us getting another uh, spouse president. You couldn't see our current first lady becoming a president someday? Ooh, yeah, you're guessing, I guess once you put a face on it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she would be great. She would be great. You know what I mean? Ugh, you're right. Yeah, I still see it's easier to destroy the country. Because uh, the, here's the only, the only uh, reason that wouldn't have occurred to me is because I think <clears throat> I think she wouldn't want to be. Uh, she strikes me as a smart enough person to realize, like, no. Rather, I'm more of a McDonald brother than a Ray Kroc. You, okay. Hillary's a Ray Kroc. I don't mean that as an insult, because you're a Ray Kroc, too, as we established. I don't know if I agree with your establishment. Because no, neither would Ray Kroc. He would be like... I'm calling the shots here. I don't agree with your theories. I don't. I think after the experience of being in the White House for eight years, 
uh, it strikes me that Michelle Obama will be relieved to be out of there and happy to be doing something else, whereas quite the opposite. Like the, I mean, clearly, you couldn't have had a more put-upon eight years than the Clintons had. They were under siege the entire time they were president. It was a misery. It was humiliating, and they never stopped. They never let up on them. Right. And Hillary Clinton has been dying to get back ever since. I mean, to a certain extent, that's one of the reasons that uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm a supporter of her for the next election. Like, I I'm glad Bernie Sanders is running because I think it'll make for a good campaign, and I th- my hope is that he will continue to influence the shape of the campaign. Because ideologically, there's a lot of things that I'm more in sync with yeah. with Bernie Sanders. I'm also a realist who lives in this actual country, and I'm like, we have a winner lined up, and it's not an, it's not an aging person who self-identifies as a socialist. This country won't elect that. They just won't do it. Right. Uh, so I'm glad he's in it, but when I see people posting stuff on Facebook about, like, Bernie's the one we should have, be having, I'd be like, okay, but like, let's not Mondale this. Like... Right. I've seen too many times where it's just like, no, we gotta be careful. You gotta know where you're living. Do you want to? It's bad if if we don't win this. It's bad. It gets bad. Right. Uh, that you don't want to Ralph Nader this. No. Uh, that way, anytime there's the argument about, oh well, hold your nose, lesser two yields. I'm like, if you don't hold your nose, you get the eight years of George W. Bush, which were a plutonium level nightmare of destruction right um but there is some there is an element part of what i like about hillary at this point is that thing where it's like man when you see someone who wants it that bad i mean it's a crazy job to want it's an insane job to want and it's easy to get burned out when you've been burned as many times as she's been like 2008 should have been enough to be like Oof, I can't do it. Like, I'm burned. I'm burned. I try my best. I'm out. And instead, they were like, you want to be Secretary of State? She's like, all right, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Right. Did a good job. And she's like, okay, did this. I work with you. I'm in a better position. Let's do this. Right. That it is like, yeah, I think she's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's, like with anybody, like, Gore would have done a bunch of great stuff, and he would have done a bunch of nightmare stuff, just like Bill Clinton did some good stuff. It's some terrible stuff. Right. That's a, I, I maybe am too moderate and too, uh, I lower, I'm too much of a realist in terms of what I think we can expect to actually get accomplished. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's unusual, though, given. But I know it's worse the other way. I know it's way worse the other way. Yeah. I just, you just see it happen where you're just like, whole cities drown. <laughs> you know, where it's just like, oh, great. All right. Yeah. Goodbye. All right. How many wars are we going to start? All right. Yeah. It's also one of those things, too, where, like, the more... Something that I realize is, like, you sort of... You pick the world, and then you chip away in that world to get the things that you want in terms of success. Yeah. Like, you can't just... You can't just jump over and expect to enter in a different field and suddenly have the success, all the success. It's like, you sort of... We live in a world where you pick your field yeah. and then spend your whole life trying to gain yeah. expertise there. Yeah. It takes a long time and knowing all the right people and knowing all the right things. And, and even then, it's hard. 
And even, even, then, he, even then, it's very hard. And that's why it's like I look at the politics and it's like, no, you have to be someone that has that plays that game for that many years and learns all those rules and all those things. Yeah. And that means that the only people that are in a position to have any of that power or any of that responsibility are people who opted to play that game from day one. Yeah. And those people are typically people who yeah. are like that. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, it's also... It's, it's, it's really crazy to me. And that's why sometimes it's like in my head, I'm like, eh, but it might be nice to be in politics or in this. And it's like, no, I've already chosen my thing. And the way the world works is like you choose your thing and that's... That's what you do. And once I think once you're to- at the top, you can skip a couple levels yeah. and you start something new. But still, it's like, you know. I think I will say this. I don't ever have any intentions of, uh, or, or hopes or aspirations of ever running for public office or working within politics. Despite the fact that you did run for public office. Yeah, as a comedy routine, though. Yeah. Um, but I do know... That, um, especially now, maybe now more than ever, I do think that while what you're saying is exactly true about like to be to be effective in that world, you have to know the skill set. You have to understand the game as it's played. And very often, like someone that we think like, oh, if only like Ralph Nader could be a president or something like that. That might have been a disaster, even if you got your wish. Like right. when he got into it, everything would have. He would have been like, "How can I? I can't get anything done around here." I'm like, well, because that's this isn't what you do. You're a you were an excellent consumer advocate, right? And you were great at lobbying for all these things, but now you have this like practical job that involves compromise. Yeah, and you're not good at compromise. Um, but I do feel like there is a uh, like working in show business and having a certain like flair or a certain like panache um, papers over a lot of experiential cracks if if I ever was like I want to go on a campaign against someone like I feel like a lot of times people who are running for public office are uh, could easily be defeated by a, a comedian yeah that there's an element because a lot of times all that matters in a lot of these political campaigns is if one, like Reagan making a joke, like was, that's all anyone talks about. For, when they when Reagan died, they uh, all they talked about were the moments in the debates where someone brought up his age. I think it was Carter brought up his age, and he's or, or uh, Mondale brought up his age in '84, and. Uh, Reagan said, uh, I don't think that, uh, I'm not going to allow uh, my opponent's youth and inexperience to become an issue in this campaign. Hmm. And Mondale cracked up, and that was like one of the big moves that was like, oh, okay, the election is over. And I'm like, that's an okay joke. And I feel like on a handful of other occasions, there have been moments where like, a well-timed joke by a politician has been like 30% of the whole campaign. Uh, You know, Reagan going like, well, there you go again, and everyone laughs. And I'm like, that's not that great a joke. But it'll do. Yeah. Um, I feel like a really sharp, funny person could just like make the other person look like a loser, and then that's it. 
where you're just like a quick comeback. I mean, if Lloyd Benson had been running against Dan Quayle, I know that Dukakis lost that election, but that part where he does that, he made the Kennedy comparison, and Lloyd Benson says, and it wasn't a, I don't believe, as far as I know, there was a pre-written line, because no how would they have known he was going to compare, he was going to bring up Kennedy. But when Lloyd Benson said, I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. And it just, you, see, you hear the re- reaction in that room, and you're like, Man, but this is just, that's just a showbiz move. Right. There's nothing to that except, like, someone taking the time to, like, get a zinger in. Right. Yeah. Do you think John Stewart will ever run for office? I mean, I think he'd win if he ran. I think he'd win. Of course, he also knows how to talk seriously about stuff. Right. You know? He would be more substantial than a lot of uh, uh, non-comedian, obviously. He, I think he, or, he and Colbert, either of them could, win, could run for election and win. Anywhere, just because they're sharp, they're right. smart. I don't. I think they'd be incredibly unhappy. Yeah. Um. I'm impressed that Al Franken has basically yeah. abandoned comedy, and is just a politician. Especially because when he was on Letterman, yeah, he was like he hasn't lost a step in terms of actually. He's still got it. Is my mic still working? Me don't know. Test 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 JD. Is it? Yeah, it is. All right. I just have to check real quick. I think you could run for political office, but I don't think either of us would like that. No, I wouldn't like it. I think this podcast is the closest thing to political office that either of us will ever. No, means neither of us can ever. I think we've said too many dumb things on this podcast. Uh, I apologize for everything I've said. I don't. And I apologize to the good people of this country who are the best people in the world like to say that until now it has been someone that sounds like me that is not me a imagine it it's some sort of a replicated version of me that's been speaking so what you've heard on this podcast so far has not been me imagine some sort of uh everyone remembers where they were when jd amato delivered his speech in which he disavowed every previous statement as being some sort of some sort of replicator yeah i was you know the replicator speech they called it yeah uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to know that it was not me speaking until this point. It was a, a time-traveling alien sent back to uh, defend the to defend the past from the wrongs of the future, sort of like a a Terminator-style version of myself or an alien version of myself. Some may call it a Terminalian. Uh, so just know that I am a what you had heard until this moment had been a Terminalian and not. Is that really what it was? Amato. Is that the payoff? We really got to it? Yeah. I think exa- a Terminalian? I think exactly six hours. I mean, it's 7.39. I think we're pretty close to six hours. Um, what is a Terminalian? It's a, no, it's a f- word that I made up, and I, f- I figured I would figure out what it meant later. A Terminator-style alien? Yeah, and then it just fit in right there. That's great. Yeah. It explains everything about this podcast up to now. Exactly. So now we can start the podcast. All right. 12-hour day, 12-hour day, you're listening to 12-hour day, the podcast in less half a day, with your host, J.D. Amato, and Connor Ratliff, now let's get into it, 12-hour day, with J.D. and Connor, what? Hey, Mama, I'm home. Uh, uh. Gun, 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 gun. 
ฮับปับปับปับบีบโอลอย Yeah Yeah Yes Yes All the power is mine Hey JD How you doing Good Connor Alright uh, So we're here in the Chris Gethard show Yeah uh, So that was our cold open That actually It's kind of weird that we did a cold open Within a cold open Yeah it was a colder open Yeah Different degrees Oh I'll tell you about it Speaking of cold opens uh, My refrigerator has been acting up lately um, Has it Connor? It has been. Now, now, who do you call when that happens? What well, I haven't called do? anybody. This is the problem. Oh, you didn't call anyone, huh? Well, this is the thing. My apartment's a little untidy at the moment. I've been trying to make a priority of tidying my apartment. Um, but I just haven't had time. And when I have had time, I haven't had the energy. Or I've done a little bit, but it's been a little bit of like two steps forward, two steps back. You know, where I'll... I did really well organizing my laundry last week, and I folded everything and got it ready and stuff like that. But now we're already we're a week later, and I'm a week closer to another laundry day, you know. And so, I, um, my refrigerator shut off at one point last week, and I went online to see like what could be the problem if refrigerator is not cooling. And what I saw, I watched some YouTube videos where they showed that it could be that your uh, defrost timer, which is part of a little component in your refrigerator, could be something wrong with it. And what you do is you take a flathead screwdriver mm -hmm. and you uh, stick it in, there's this one hole, and you turn it, uh, and it will restart your refrigerator, basically. But what that means, if it's that, it means that there's probably something wrong with your defrost timer, and you probably need to get it fixed. But instead of getting it fixed, I've simply been, uh, every time I'm home, I will just keep restarting the refrigerator. And then by the time I get home, it's usually shut off again. Huh. But, you know, you can have your, like your refrigerator naturally shuts on and off throughout the day. Right. As it regulates the temperature. So, you know, being gone like today, for instance, it won't be that bad because my refrigerator was working and cool when I left. So if it shuts off sometime this afternoon, it'll just shut back on. It'll be like having a giant cooler, basically. Right. Um, but that's what's been going on. That's not good. Yeah, you have to get a new. Can't your building get a new refrigerator for you? Isn't that part of the deal? Probably is. I just haven't had the conversation about it because right. I haven't wanted. I want to get my apartment tidied first, you know. Right. And at this point, since I'm going to be going away for a couple of weeks, probably can't deal with it until I get back. Right. Uh, Avery Monson tweets. When was the last time you were really scared? And I'd love to hear you both try some celebrity impressions. Okay. Um, the last time I was really scared... Um, oh, no. When was I really scared? Hard for me to think. I don't. Not recently, I don't think. Um, I had a bad reaction to a medication the other day. Uh, was this the one a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Okay. And I thought that I was dying because my throat started swelling up. It was not yeah. good. And bad. I started feeling lots of bad things and shaking a lot, like convulsing. Yeah. And I ended up going to the hospital. And I was scared then. And it was also the night before a show. It was really bad. It's terrible. I was scared then. Because I'd also never had, like, a bad reaction like that. Yeah. And it was sort of like what, like, a bad trip is like, where it's like once you take it, it's like that's, 
you're in it. You know what I mean? Like there's no, yeah, you can't do anything to undo it. Uh, I think that's the last time I was really scared. Is I was like, oh, I think I'm, I think I'm in a lot of trouble. I need to go to a hospital, and I did, and I was in a lot of trouble. But then I, it got fixed. I think, um, I think that I sometimes have a hard time uh, thinking of things like this. Like, when's the last time I was really scared? And it won't come to mind. It's weird. There's certain kinds of questions that, like, I'll think of it later. Like, remember there was a previous episode where we were, uh, everyone was talking about celebrity crushes, people that we've had crushes on. You your one was? I can, I can only think of a very old one, which was Blair Brown uh, on the Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. Like, of which I still have your one sheet. Yeah, I need that. I need to get that framed. Um, but I thought of one since then, which was uh, Molly Shannon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... That's a good one. Yeah, at any point, like from Saturday Night Live till now, like uh, right. she's someone that would like. Uh, I mean, partly she's just so funny. Right. Um, I think she's great. She's a great actor. Um, she was really good on the show Enlightened. She was really good in Mike White's movie Year of the Dog. Right. Um, which, if you like the show Enlightened, which I think most people do, great show. Um, Year of the Dog is worth seeking out as kind of a. Because Enlightened only has the two seasons, and you're kind of left at the end of it feeling like it's a satisfying watch from start to finish. I highly recommend it if you have HBO Go or access to it. Binge watch the whole show. It's great. But then you're like, when you're done with it, you're like, oh, what do I watch now? Year of the Dog, which I believe is on Netflix, um, is very much like the DNA of the show Enlightened, I think, is very much in Year of the Dog. Similar kind of like well-intending protagonist character who's also like, Problematic in her behavior. Um, great performance by Molly Shannon. I also have a hope. You know, a lot has been made recently of the Entourage movie. Like a lot of uh, Gil Ozeri did that uh, binge watching thing that a lot of comedy people in LA were part of. You probably didn't watch any of that, JD, because um, it was the weekend before the Gethard Show sleep deprivation exercise. So there's probably not a lot of incentive for you to also watch any of a. Yeah two-day marathon of comedians staying up and not sleeping. Yeah. Um, but it, the thing that, like, the Entourage movie didn't do well. It was critically blasted, didn't do well at the box office. The one thing I kept thinking was, I have this hope. Did you ever watch Enlightened? No. I really, Mike White had some very interesting ideas for what he wanted in a third season of Enlightened that sounded so good, and it's, there's so many good characters on that show. I really do think, I don't know if there's any market for this at all, but I, there's a part of me that thinks Mike White could return to the world of Enlightened every few years and make another movie, just checking in with like where these characters are or where some of these characters are, and that it really could be like, um, what's Truffaut's uh, series, the, the, um, the character that he follows through um, uh, 500 Blows and all those, uh, Antoine... Doinell? I don't know the name. I don't but you know, like, it's yeah. a, that he, he, like, follows with the same actor through those. I always like that idea. I've always found that appealing, the idea of, like, creating a character and then, like, keep checking in on this character. Like, kind of the boyhood model a little bit, but, like, even more than that, like, I've always liked the idea of someone creating a character at a young age and then just, like, making every five or ten years checking in with that character again and seeing, like, where are they? What's going on with them? How have they... 
because I feel like you I feel like you would inevitably like you change as an artist and the way you think about the character I like that with like John Updike with the rabbit uh, angstrom novels that it was like I didn't like all those books when I read them I found it was I read them at a weird age because it was like um, I was a, in high school and I was reading all these novels about a certain kind of like middle-aged angst that was interesting to me, but I didn't fully understand it, I don't think. But I like that idea of, like, taking a character and, like, revisiting him at various stages. Right. I really would love that to happen for them to... I don't think... I think it's too obscure a thing that's now been a little bit forgotten. I don't think there'd be incentive for HBO to be like, let's uh, revisit it. Let's do an enlightened movie. Show it next month. Right. I would love it to happen if anyone from HBO is listening to this part of the podcast yeah. and wants to do it. Please do it. HBO. You're hearing that. HBO, it's what I want. Um, celebrity impressions. Who I I always forget the celebrities that I I'll can you, do I'll impressions you, of. I'll give you celebrity impressions that you have to attempt. Okay. Barack Obama. Uh, I used to do a pretty good Barack Obama. I haven't done it in a while. Um, I've done it in a... This is not a discussion of the celebrity oppression. I just want you to jump into it. Um, I'm going to discuss them before I do any of them, so I'm not going to play by your rules. I know you love to control the show. I think you're just, I think you're just dancing around. Um, back when people were having... I think now people are, have clicked into this a little bit more. But back before I'd really heard a good Barack Obama impression... Because that's something that happens with impressions is that you hear the Pearson's voice and then you hear people's impressions and then you... That's like Lear what with you, Dana Carvey and George Bush. Right. You learn the qualities that people associate with that voice, and then you learn, you learn what an impression is supposed to sound like of that person. Um, what I, I haven't done this in a long time, but the, um, there was the way that Obama said the word look, where he'd be like, look, uh, we need to uh, be, uh, he, he had a very, uh, I'm going to have to ease into this, but there was a, uh, look, now we... We know that people are doing things and talking to people in ways that uh, uh, aren't exactly true. And it was that thing of, like, uh, clipping off the ends of your sentences, but also starting right. with a lot of, uh, uh, well, look, uh, we know that uh, people who are uh, doing bad things need to uh, be mindful that uh, the things they're doing uh, aren't exactly... Uh, Useful, and I think that's the basic rhythm right. of his voice. Uh, and I've done that in improv shows, but it's weird to do it knowing that people are going to be listening through the scrutiny of it. Right. But I back in 2008, I had a pretty good, I had a pretty solid one. I just got out of the habit of doing it. But those were the the keys to it that I can remember is always starting with, uh, look, uh, we need to uh, be aware that the things that we say to other people are. Uh, are good because uh, he tends to go a little casual at the end of sentences and he also drops a lot of his G's to be a little right. bit folksy um, do you have an Obama? I uh, probably the exact same oh the exact same one? that's a coincidence I mean the same the same tonalities and whatnot. same because uh, my I feel like most of my impressions are impressions of people doing impressions because right. I'm very bad at uh, music the same way that I think I'm bad at impressions, where it all sounds right to me. Yeah. I can imagine them talking 
how I talk. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Uh, well, Barack Obama. Um, my name is Barack Obama, and I'm uh, here to talk. I'm well. Well, I'm here to. I'm, uh, what we're here to do today is to talk. We're talking about uh, some serious things, and we want to be we want to be uh, careful in the way that we talk. Um, what's happening in the Middle East right now? Now, see that? See now? What's it's weird is I'm wearing headphones, so I'm hearing myself. Yeah. So I'm changing how I would normally do it because now I'm like, nope, that's not right. And so you're uh, like changing the pitch as in mid song, which then makes it even worse, you know? Yeah. Uh, who's another celebrity? Jack Nicholson. Oh, this is one that I definitely, it definitely, like, everyone's Jack Nicholson is basically the same. Uh, people do that, well, I'm Jack Nicholson, and I talk yeah. the way, they, everyone does that thing that, I, he's done that in, like, two movies. Right. Um, I guess there's the shining Jack Nicholson. Whenever I do a Jack Nicholson in the mirror, I, I always do, I always Yeah, well, I guess I just want to be talking to you about what I, I just want to. I just want to. You make me want to be a better man. Uh, I'm going to, well, uh, I think it's a good point. <laughs> I think I want to, I want to take your fucking head and put it in a fucking basket. Everyone's basically doing the Jack Torrance version right. of him. I don't know that I could Im- do an impression boys. of the Let's boys. Uh, what's, the, what's the line from the original Batman? Um... um uh, wait, 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 wait till they get a load of me. No, he does the. He has them steal the art right before the Prince song plays. It's yeah. Like, what a silly scene that is. He's like, he's like, boys, let's show them what art is like. Or it's like some. Yeah. Uh, the scene of him prancing around the let's museum. Indulge in art. The scene of him like prancing around the museum playing the Prince song is such a ridiculous looking and scene. And him like knocking stuff off. It's yeah. So weird. It's so it's so much closer when I see it now. To what the 1960s Batman was than I thought of it as the, at the time. Yeah. At the time, I was like, "Oh man, this is like dark and gritty, like The Dark Knight." But now, when I watch some of those sequences, I'm like, "No, this is actually really campy, much more like a dark version of the of the Adam West show." Right. Let me see. Well, I guess we're just going to do some more impressions, aren't we? JD. There's so many. So many what? God. What are you looking for? I just, it's going to kill me if I can't figure out what that is. No, there's too many quotes. You know when they, you know in like when movies are popular and they just, the quote section is every quote then? Yeah. Um, I am now looking up Bad Dance. That's what it's called. That's a song, right? I don't know. Do you think that Danny Elfman ever wants to, uh, every time I hear a Danny Elfman score in a movie... I'm always a little bit hungry for him to to pull back and I mean this is a recurring theme of like me wanting to, people to go back to doing their early stuff but there is always a part of me that wonders if Danny Elfman on a new score is ever tempted to have part of the score go la 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 right 
because it was such a it was such a pervasive theme for a long time. But that may just be like, yeah, it was a phase I went through in the eighties where I did that a bunch of times. And he also says like a lot of. Doom, doom, doom. I guess there was a little bit in the first Spider-Man movie that he scored that had a little bit of like echoes of his old Batman themes. I'm so surprised I can't find this on YouTube that quick. It is weird what things are hard to find that you would assume would be easy to find. That's why I'm a little bit like, I do hate, and, and Matt Cohen prophesized it in the, one of the early episodes of this podcast when he talked about how they were going to stop making the iPod classic, and then they did. Right. But now, like, it becomes increasingly hard to find any kind of high-capacity music player because everything's about the cloud and everything's about Spotify and Apple Radio and all of these different forms of, like, streaming music. But those rely entirely on being able to have a signal, for the most part. And a lot of the situations where I want to listen to have access to all my music is when there is not an internet signal. Exactly. And that was what was great about having an iPod on an airplane. You could listen to anything you wanted and it wasn't reliable, it wasn't reliant on streaming stuff. Talk for 40 seconds. Gentlemen, let's broaden. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Even though I just heard it and you didn't say it like that. That's okay. Uh, I don't know what to say. Um, did he bring his mic with him, though? He'll probably start fuzzing out then. Well, anywho. Um... What have I been thinking about as, as of late? I don't know. Right now my life is really much just this show. So it takes a lot of my energy and time. And I spend so much time here at the office, which is why it's sort of ridiculous that we're recording it here, even though it's my idea. Um... I started playing a video game to uh, pass the time and disengage from work stuff. I haven't started playing. People will remember I was playing uh, Hearthstone for a while. Now I've started playing Heroes of the Storm. I was on uh, my friend Christian Spicer's podcast, who you guys had tweeted at earlier, and his co-host Jeff Kanata was very adamant that I try Heroes of the Storm, so I did. I'm sort of addicted to it. It's a MOBA, which is a multiplayer online battle arena. Uh, that's what it, MOBA stands for, right? Multiplayer online battle arena. Let me look up. MOBA. MOBA stands for multiplayer online battle arena. Yeah, I got it. So it means that, like, it's battle. That's th those are the games that, like, people play competitively. 
in like big competitions and tournaments and stuff. And I am in no way good enough to do that. In fact, I'm actually pretty bad comparatively, but it's it's a game with a learning curve, so I've been spending a lot of time trying to get good at it. I was talking about how since the show has been sort of my life, the one thing that I do sort of for fun to disengage is I play video games. Mm-hmm. And I picked up this one video game. I used to play this game Hearthstone, which is sort of like a digital version of Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, the Blizzard is this company that they did like Warcraft and World of Warcraft and Starcraft. And now their whole thing is they've been taking sort of genres of games and making much more slimmed down versions of them so that they're less the learning curve to get in is not as high, but yeah. they can go as deep. Yeah. Because, like, Magic the Gathering I sort of don't get into because there's so much history and so many rules and so many flavors and variations of the game now Yeah. that I just... It's so many things that I I, I'm so, I, I would not be able to learn it. Mm-hmm. And so they created this game, Hearthstone, which is basically, like, it sort of starts a new one of those from scratch in a way that you can sort of get on from the beginning and sort of learn the stuff as it develops. Yeah. So I played that for a while, and then they just come with the new game, which is uh, it's a MOBA, which is a multiplayer online battle arena. But when you're out there, I was looking up. I thought that's what it stood for, and I was looking up. So I said it with a lot of assurance right now, but that's because I just confirmed it while looking it up. Yeah. But those are the games that you probably see, like, people playing competitively online, uh-huh. or you might have no concept of it. Yeah, I don't like, have any. Yeah, that's okay. Um, like, the other, the other ones are, like... Um, uh, what are what are the big ones? You might not even have ever heard of them. Um, people are shouting right now at their phones. What other the big mobas are? Um, Moba. I just Heroes of the Storm is stuck in my head, but it's not Heroes of the Storm. It's the Moba. other one. Ain't uh, of the ancients, defense of the ancients, whatever. Moba. List of mobas. Did you find that Batman line? Yeah, I did. What was it? Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. And then Bat Dance starts playing. Um, yeah, Defense of the Ancients. League of Legends is the big one. That's why I couldn't think of. Um, the Le- welcome, welcome, gentlemen, to the League of Legends. So th- those are the games that there is, are most, ah. most professional gamers play because they're mm-hmm. basically... What those are is like, imagine like little... I guess imagine like a top-down scenery, mm-hmm. like a, a forest or something that's only a certain size. What time is it? Eight. Oh, wow. Um, and the show's at 10.30? 9.30, I think. 9.30? And there's a bunch of characters that you can choose from that have different abilities, and it's sort of like it's a mouse and keyboard game. Yeah. So it's like this live-action thing, or this live... It's not like turns. It's like all happening at once. Yeah. Where all your characters are fighting and you're trying to... Some, some characters heal other characters. Other characters increase the stats of the other characters. Other characters are just strong and can take a lot of damage and they fight. And other players are can cast spells from afar. And so people create these teams and they fight against each other and there's a lot of money and that's what a lot of the like professional gaming centers around MOBAs and League of Legends and stuff like that. Yeah. So Blizzard just started their own one of that called Heroes of the Storm. Heroes of the Storm. Yeah, that just launched, and I started playing that, and it's really fun. But it's a game where basically, like, you can be bad at it, and if you're bad, it hurts your team, and people don't like that. Ooh, so there's like real a, consequences. Sti- a pretty stiff learning curve, but yeah. I have a lot of fun playing it. A storm is coming, gentlemen. It's now is the time for you to step up and become heroes. 
of the storm. Exactly. Um, um, the uh, I'm just gonna say to you. Um, so what's your what's your show that you're doing tonight? What is it? I guess it's called Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Where a team has put together a bunch of teams that were defunct. Yeah. And they're having them perform. Ooh la la. So I don't know who else is on it. What's your defunct team? Creature. Creature. Herald Herald team. Um, who would name your players? What's that? Name your players. Creature was J.D. Amato, Corey Palmer, Steve Tice, Allison Rich, Samantha Spieler. Um, Ken Beck? Diana Kolsky, Ken Beck. And the last member of Creature was... This always happens with this stuff. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the name of the 50 states. Yeah. If I, I could have easily said that person first, I would have mm-hmm. forgot. Um, if you're listening, number eight, it's not you? No, I think I said me. Okay. If you're listening, number eight, I hope you're feeling great. Creature was also people paired off, so it was... Two people per indie team. It was Jump On Through, it was me and Sam. Corey Palmer, Allison Rich. Steve Tice, and... Oh, Ryan Williams. There you go. How many people do you think will be there tonight? Which ones? I think it'll be me, Corey, Sam, Steve, Ken. Ken. Solid five. Yeah. Ryan's in L.A. I think Allison is in L.A. right now. Maybe she'll be there. Maybe Kolsky. So it might be five or six. Six is really solid. I did improv for the first time in a while the other night. Mimi had me at her show where you are. You the Ringer show? Exactly. And I didn't realize that's, that's what it was. Yeah. And it just means you have to do like five improv sets mm-hmm. with five different teams. Yeah. Was it fun? It was. And I realized I was like, I hadn't done. The only improv I've done since I was, am no longer on Herald Night was yeah. uh, stuff with, like, my friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like we sort of know each other and da-da-da. So I was sort of like, oh, man, I bet I don't have, like, my old improv skills. Mm-hmm. And very quick, I was like, oh, no, I still do. I don't think it's a thing that goes away. Yeah. Well, because you're flexing those muscles in other areas. You know what I mean? Creatively, it would be one thing if you were just, like, living in, in the woods or something, reading right. quietly. But, like, there's a part of me that was like, oh, I'm supposed to be the ringer. And these are a lot – some of the teams were new teams where it's like people, clearly they didn't have too, too much experience. So I was yeah. like, I'll have to do a lot of, like, not cleanup work, but, like, help support Yeah. in ways that, like, back when I was on Herald Night, I'd be like, bam, bam, bam. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if I'll still be able to do that or if I'll just, like, fall into the same traps that they do. Yeah. And I found myself going, oh, no, I know how to, like, keep things moving forward and help out. and um, Probably not with the same dexterity that I used to, but I still felt like I could be in a scene and be like, oh – you guys are being negative, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take your side to s- spin the momentum back to positive while still playing straight man again. You know stuff like that. Yeah. Where you're like, oh yeah, I still know all those moves. Um, you know that uh, I've been trying to get Ken his postal worker outfit back to him for a while, and that was how I thought of having him as the mailman in the Terry Withersmith show last night. Is because he I left my sunglasses in his car when I rode back after Don Finale's wedding. Uh, with Ken and Catherine. Right. And then I was like, ugh, 
I got my glass in your car. I'm like, well, let's figure out a time when I can give you your postal worker outfit and you give me my glasses. And then he brought the glasses to be in the audience of the show the other night. Right. And so that made me think, like, ah, oh, I got to figure out a time to get into this postal worker thing. And then I was trying to, on Thursday, I was trying to figure out who we were going to get to fill out the show. Right. And Ken was one of the people I've had on my list. Like, yeah, we got to get Ken in the show. And... I was like, oh, you could be a mailman in the last scene, and that way we have a domestic right. scene at the end. Um, and the reason I had his poster work outfit was because I borrowed it years ago um, when Terry Withers was doing a spank, and I was the mailman. I did a walk. It was a spank. It was, I had a small role in it. It was basically right. Terry was a, a radio, um, it was a radio call-in show that was improvised where he was a... He was not a licensed psychologist, but his wife, Jen, who actually is studying, right. uh, was a real psychologist. And he would, he would uh, have audience members be call the call-in people. And they, he would bring them up on stage, but act as though they were calling in. And Matt was like his like, uh, uh, like radio sidekick, sort right. of. And Jen was there for... Jen was there to give a real opinion, and then Terry was there to kind of rudely overrule her right and and act like he knew better and I was the mailman who would deliver a letter at one point so it's so to me it was like oh it's nice to I have this uh, mail uniform from a failed Terry Withers spank right uh, and I kind of felt like ooh it's a nice way to return a costume that you borrow from someone by asking them like hey will you I'll get your costume back you want to be in the show and wear it yeah um, that is a pretty good one. Did you see the video that I put up yesterday? What was it? For the, to promote the show? No. Uh, look on the Terry Withers Facebook page and you'll see it. I don't have Facebook it. on my phone. How do, you, how do you be friends with people? I don't be friends with people. Um, try looking up on YouTube. Do a YouTube search. Do you have YouTube on your phone? Yeah. We're getting a lot of con questions, Connor. All right, well, look up on YouTube. Look up hashtag... Terry Withers is the true detective. Um, I don't know how many views it got. Probably not more than ten. Two of them were me checking to make sure it worked. One of them was Terry. Well, there's the hashtag. Um, it's only a one-minute video. Basically, just the True Detective season two promo with their cast members replaced with shots of Terry Withers. And the non black and white footage of these. Yeah. I mean, there's an outside chance that the Terry Withers mysteries will end up on HBO. I don't mind. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say it. I like that. I'll say it. 
I'll say it to Terry Withers' face. What is your favorite color from the Three Colors trilogy? Uh, probably, I don't know. Blue is the one that takes place in the apartment complex, right? Blue is she's grieving. White is a little, if I remember, white was a little bit more, um... Blue is the one where... It, it's, um, um... The, where's the... Kid, Julia Binoche. The dies. Yeah, and it's grieving. In blue. In right? blue, yeah. White, isn't white a little bit more, not caperish, but, like, there's something going on, right? Where it's, like, a cover-up or... Ha- it's a little bit more... Yes. Right? Where, like, there's some, like... Blue's the one I remember the most, so I'm going to say blue. <laughs> yeah, I'll say blue, too, although I think white had a nice element of surprise to it, and I like the, the contrast of it. But wasn't red the most acclaimed of them? I barely remember red. Did I even see red? I don't know. Oh, I need to get his batteries. Batteries? Um, talk about... Tell Matt Cohen how you think you've changed. Is that what Matt Cohen asked? Yeah. Tell Matt, uh, speak for me also. How do, you think, how do you think we've both changed since he's left? JD looks like less of a boy and more of a man now. Is that true? Yeah. Um, how have I changed since I met Matt Cohen? Um, I mean, I think I am more... This isn't just since meeting Matt Cohen, but I would say over the course of several years, I've gotten... A little bit, I mean, by the time I met Matt, I had already ceased to be as anxious about things or as, um, and more comfortable with myself. And that includes the things that I think are um, wrong with me. And to, I would say, to some degree, and maybe this is part of, oh, JD just got some keys and he's going for a run. Um, I would say this is maybe the part of me that JD thinks needs therapy, that to a certain extent I may have become too comfortable with the things that I think are just inherently wrong with me, in that I've, I've, I think I reached a point where I started realizing like, well, these are the things that are good about me and these are the things that are not so good, and maybe I... Uh, too comfortably accepted that the things that are wrong with me are just part of who I am and I just have to deal with it. Okay. Um, you going to put new batteries in mine or just in the receiver? Uh, both. Okay. Um, so there may be an element of... Um, there may be an element of, but I do think I, the thing that's changed about me is I've got, be, I was on that path when I met Matt Cohen, and I've continued on that path in the sense that I'm um, pretty comfortable with myself, more comfortable than I was a few years ago, and at that point I was more comfortable than I had been before that. But, well, like for instance, here's the thing. Um, the things that were true about me a few years ago are more true now than they were then. I'm doing fine? Yeah. All right. Um, like, I was not... Like, this year, I would say I've done two or three of the worst, maybe individual moments in improv shows that I've ever had. Like, I've had two or three of my worst 
weakest, worst, most unsuccessful moments in improv have happened this year. Um, and I would also say as an example that I think, like, the third week of doing the warm-up show for the Guthrie show here, at the end of the night, I was like, I think I did an okay job, but I also in some ways felt like I had, it had gone about as poorly as I could have imagined it going. But I didn't, but I didn't feel too bad about it because I knew why and I knew what I needed to do to kind of adapt it. And it was just like, okay, well, that, I tried some stuff and it didn't work. Um... And I was like that a few years ago, but now I think I'm even more like that, where I'm just like, well, you try your best, and if something doesn't work, then you just try your best the next time. But I don't believe in... I think if you can avoid beating yourself up for stuff like that, that's the ideal thing. What, what are you... I'm going to use the restroom now. All right. Since you're in the, in the zone. Do you have any thoughts about what I've said? Oh, JD says he actually didn't hear any of it. He was in the room changing batteries, but not listening to any of what I just said. What else has changed? I mean, and what if we were just silent? I didn't tell JD, and I just let the next few minutes be peacefulness. Just, we called it the peaceful moments portion of the podcast where I've heard some people uh, say that they like to fall asleep to this podcast. Um, and if that's the case, maybe we devote the next few minutes to relaxing talk. I ta I'll talk to you in a relaxing tone of voice. And for those of you who are resting the night away, maybe this will be your ticket to dreamland maybe now's the time when you want to just get comfortable and relax and think about things like waterfalls and warm summer nights alright that's the end of that segment I hope you fell asleep and uh, oh, I'm just stretching now so this next section is going to be stretching Ah! Um, boy, I tell you what, there are some things in life that I'm surprised people sing songs about stuff on the same handful of themes, but it's weird that like, there's like everybody writes love songs. Everybody writes songs about like, you're breaking my heart. Everyone writes songs about um, we're going to dance for all night. Everyone writes songs about sex. Everybody writes all those. Like, there's just basic themes that are common, which is just like people write songs about their butts. They write songs about so many things. And yet I feel like in modern pop music, there are just a lot of topics that aren't considered fodder for a hit song. Like, you got no problem if you write a song about how sad you are or about romance or any of those things. But very rarely do people write songs about how they trying to figure out what they want to have for lunch. What do you want to have for lunch? Like, people don't write songs 
about what food they're going to have, but it's something that everyone relates to, and nobody knows what they're going to what are you going to have for lunch? What are you going to have for lunch? Sandwich? What are you going to have? Like, I feel like people think that that is like a children's song. But what's wrong with writing an adult song about um, having an upset stomach or trying to get to sleep? You know, like, why are these the domains of children's songs? Why don't we, why don't the songwriters of today try to write a hit song about something that is a, is a common theme that, like, nobody writes songs about how, like, you should have turned your cell phone off. Turn your ringer off in the movie theater. How come there's not a hit song about talking in the movie theater? People used to write hit songs about that, like, Maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe I'm out of touch. Please tweet at us if I'm out of touch. But, like, people used to write songs about uh, Saturday night at the movies and things like that. And they would write about going to the movies. Um, they would write song, like pop songs about things like taking a bath. They'll write, splish, splash, I was taking a bath. Does anyone write a pop song about that now? I, I feel like they don't. Now, because, like, I'm, I'm going to base this only on uh, the most recent two number one songs, See You Again by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth and Bad Blood by Taylor Swift. Now, I like Taylor Swift, what I've heard of Taylor Swift. Um, but thematically, good baby, now we got bad blood. You know, it used to be mad. So it's like, okay, it's fighting. There's songs that are, you know, like... Um, I can't take it back. Look where I'm at. Uh, and then See You Again is like a sad tribute farewell song. I guess that song about death is a little bit... That's at least... Uh, there's some thematic richness there. But like... If you buy any of those... Um, like, do people... I feel like there must be songs... Uh, Tweet at me the names of songs. There must be songs about people who are always on their phones. Like, right? I love my phone. I love my phone. My phone does so much for me. Like, I feel like there must be, there must be a song about that. Um, I feel like there should be a song, like an angry song about, from the point of view of a vegan. They put bacon in my salad. Oh, oh. They put bacon in my salad. Oh, oh. Um, I feel like that should be a song, right? An angry song from the point of view of a vegan. Um, I feel like there should be a power ballad about being lactose intolerant. I mean, everybody seems like they're lactose intolerant, but you never hear a song about it. I mean, am I wrong? Am I wrong about this? Tell me if I'm wrong. But I feel like there aren't hit songs being written about these. And I feel like there could be a real nice sad song that'd be a top ten single about how someone can't eat dairy. That seems like something that would exist. But you'll never have trouble finding a song about someone wants to make love to you all night forever. Like, people write songs about that and they don't question it. But I feel like if someone wrote a song about, like, I bought my food frozen in the supermarket, that no one would want to... Like, that song would be considered weird or a novelty song. Ugh, would it? Who knows? Um, but 
it does seem to me like there are more topics that songs that hit popular songs could be about. And maybe I'm just out of touch and these are what the songs are about. But I feel like, uh, I feel like I don't know of a recent hit song about people talking on their phones. JD's back. I am back. What'd you talk about? Uh, I don't remember. But part of what I talked about was that I feel like, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like the range of topics that most popular songs are about now is limited. Does it smell like something's burning? I don't smell it. I don't smell it, but I've got a weak olfactory sense. Maybe you need to go on a hunt, Lassie. Go find a trouble, boy. What is it, boy? Maybe not. Maybe not. Now JD's checking out the lights. He's checking out the wall fixtures. Let's keep that light setting. Yeah. I like it. Well, we have to go soon. Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest. I was going to say, how long do you have? It's 8.24 and my show's at 9.30. How many, how long's your show and how many acts are in it? I don't know. I'll just do my set. You won't do all the other sets? No. Um, how, I was how saying, do you think it would go? Yeah. If during an improv show, of teams that I didn't know if I just walked on and improvised with them. Probably pretty good. You you don't think everyone would be mad afterwards? Maybe. But I think initially they'd be intrigued. And if you were just if you if you legit walked on and started making good moves, I think people would be like, "Wow, something weird's happening." And, and then if I stuck around for the next team. <laughs> yeah, people might start to talk, but if you just did it for one team, I think afterwards they'd be like, "That was so weird. We had fun." Maybe not. You could also have people just freeze up. Yeah. 30 seconds of silence. Ugh. Do you th- are there popular songs about how people are all, like, you're always on your phone, or is that a detail within songs? What's a big song about how you're always on your phone? Uh... There's no big one that comes to mind, but no. it's like the big sensational song about how everyone's always on their phone now. I got it all on my phone now. I got it all. I got it all. I got it all. Uh, not really. Don't you feel like... Are if, you accusing me of being on my phone all the time? No. Um, you are, but I'm not. Um, I feel like I've been a letdown of this podcast. You always feel that way, J.D. Well, you know what I feel like? It. I feel like when I start, we start 12-hour day, mm-hmm. I was more in your situation where lengthy projects like this were fun. I could do them whenever and make time. Mm-hmm. And then my life filled out in a way where my time became more of a commodity for myself. <laughs> yeah. And then I felt myself being less. But I was more exhausted when we were starting. When we were, in most of last year, when we would find the time to do this, it would mean usually I'd be in your situation now, which is I would usually be having to take my one day off during the week when I didn't have a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And do it. And I would usually be getting up at 6 the next morning. But you're a better talker than I am naturally. 
I am. Well, I'm not a better talker, but I am a more frequent talker. Yeah. Um, don't you think that if cell phones had existed and been a thing back when, like, Sinatra was making albums, that he would have at least one song that would be like, you've got the app and I've got the attitude. <laughs> like, there would be... He would have at least one song that we're all about, hang yeah. up that phone or I'll hang up on you. You know, like, there would just be... Yeah. I or it would be like... Um, yeah, exactly. I th would it be hang up the phone or would it be like... about a girl who only text messages. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Prince would have a song that was like Digits. Emoji Girl. Emoji Girl, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the song, I mean, Hit Me Baby One More Time was Walking about... Walking down the street and my phone buzzes. It's my boop, 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 boop. My Emoji Girl. Um, Hit Me Baby One More Time, was that about text messages? No, not at all. Didn't they say something about it being about text messages? Oh, Maybe. I don't know. It feels like that was before text messages. Maybe not. Digital. Like, hit me, like, call me on my phone. Blue, ba-da-dee-da-ba-da. That was about text messages. No. I don't know. Call me on cell phone, flip phone. How come there aren't hit songs about pizza? Here's what I was speculating, is that hit pop songs now seem to me, and I, part of this is me operating from ignorance, but seem to be like there's a safe zone of what a hit song can be about, that if you do a song about I'm going to love you forever, or you broke my heart, or I want to make love to you all night, that those are the zones where you can safely have a hit song. But if you make a song that's about trying to figure out what you're going to have for lunch, that's considered like a novelty song or like a kid's song. Right. And... If you try to write a hit song about pizza, even though pizza is very popular, I would say that uh, that pizza uh, is more of a uh, is a bigger factor in a lot of people's lives than sexuality is, in terms of it being an active presence in their life that they can count on. Yeah, but I don't think the point of songs is to be this is what everyone. Oh, but no, isn't it weird it's supposed to be this is whatever in our whole wants. life there hasn't been one hit song about pizza what about um, pepperoni blues pepperoni blues is a critically acclaimed song that won the Grammy's best song in 1992 but it was hardly a top 1992 40 that means it was a song by uh, blues traveler blues traveler that's right uh, and it was not about pizza it was about his horrible teenage complexion Oh, Pepperoni right. Blues was about acne. Right. Adolescent acne. Right. Um, no, but isn't that weird? I'm 40. There's not been one hit song about pizza in my whole life. And pizza's the most popular thing in America. That can't be right. There's not one song about pizza. Pizza, pizza. I, no. You, <laughs> pizza, pizza. The, Little Caesar saying pizza, pizza is the closest thing to a hit song about pizza. I'm, pizza, I'm, pizza. I'm trying to... I'm, it's, I'm getting tired, so my... Uh, line of thinking is I'm having trouble thinking of a song about pizza so then my version is to make up a song about pizza and see if that is a hit song <laughs> <laughs> instead of taking hit songs and see if they're about pizza I'm trying to write songs and see if those are about pizza that's how the great that's how the see great, if those are hit songs those are the ones but isn't that an astonishing fact yeah you would think in 40 years 
there would be at least one hit song about the most popular food, maybe the most popular thing in America. I got your slice. I got your slice back. Give me your slice back. Wow. Get up, get down back. with the slice. <laughs> it would be so easy to write a hit song about pizza. Slices! Pete, 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 pizza pie. Pete, 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 pizza pie. Pete, 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 pizza pie. Pizza pie. Pizza pie. Bye, bye. Well, let's do it right now, then. There's no hit song that's filled the gap. I mean, we just... Do, do. I put in the slice together. Oh, no. I put in the slice together. Oh, no. I put in the slice together. Oh, oh, pizza pie. Pepperoni, pineapple, and cheese. You're gonna make me get down on my knees. Cause I got that pizza disease. I'm Ooh, the pizza. beep 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 pizza, pizza man. But it a beep beep beep. It's got the pizza flu. Um, <laughs> I've got the pizza flu. It does feel. I mean, songwriters, upload your songs about pizza to the internet now and link them on the Twitter. Tweet at us your pizza songs. Uh, and while you're at it, listen to our next new song called. Pizza Nights. Getting cheesy out there tonight. Getting cheesy out there tonight. I need a pizza to make it feel right. Cheese and crust and sauce. All right. It's a pizza night. It's a pizza night. It's a pizza night. It's a pizza night. Here's my woman, she's my bride. Made out of pizza, let's go for a ride. It's a pizza night. Oh. Um, that was pretty good. Yeah. Doesn't do you think that what is happening is the bands are writing songs about pizza and then like the label is like, no one wants a song about pizza. Big pizza doesn't want songs about it. But like, don't you imagine that at some point, like Train wrote a song about pizza. Maybe they did, and it just wasn't a single. Maybe a lot of album cuts. Maybe Drops of Jupiter was really drops of uh, uh, pizza maybe. oil. Drops of pizza oil. Um, Get the pizza right. Uh, do do? Can you take the power could, cord? It could. We'll take the what? Power yeah. cord. It could be that... Um, there are album tracks I'm unfamiliar with, but it does feel weird that that I that neither of us know of a song about pizza. That means, you know, what's crazy is there's very few songs that are about um, normal things. Yeah, like I can't think of a single song about love. There's songs about love all over the place. No, I haven't heard one. Yes, now you're doing a weird bit. <laughs> I'm getting to the part of the podcast where I think things that are not funny are funny. We call it the drama part. <laughs> now you're, you're, getting, you're getting to that part, too. Yeah, a little bit. Mm. My improv's going to be stellar, then. Get the pizza rap. Get the pizza. My name is Pizza. Pizza pizza, man. Get in the pizza van. Boop. Oh no. Um, 30 seconds of Connor.
All right. You're in for the Connor 30, where we count down from 30 and see what happens at the end of the rainbow. All right. Let's get started with our favorite number in 1 through 30. And it's the favorite because it's the biggest one. 30. Coming in after number 30 is its best friend and next-door neighbor, the number 29, and it's feeling fine, the number 29. 29. And hey, if you're feeling great, you won't believe you won't need to be late for this one. I'm talking the number 28. 28. All right. You think you've died and gone to heaven? Oh, wait up, because here's 27. All right, we're getting down to the end of our first five with the number 26, 6, 6, 6. All right, that's all the time we have. JD's back in the room. That was the, the, count, the top 30 countdown where we count down the numbers from 30 to 1, and we only made it to 26. Is your top 30, what were the, what were the first four? Uh, we just count down from 30 down to oh. 1, and, uh, but we only made it to 26. So we'll uh, resume that in the next episode. Perfect. Uh, we we'll count down from 30. It's probably the most popular segment. Uh, Should I come back here? No. No. I'm going to run my computer away. Get the people. Peep, 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 peep. Get the pizza. Do, da, dee, dee. Get the pizza on your face. Um, they call me Pizza John. You talk for a second while I just find out some information. Okay, welcome to the J.D. Amato 30 Seconds. We rank the top 30 numbers from 1 to 30. This week coming at number 30, 8. This week coming at number 29, 13. This week coming at number 27, I did a lot more noises 15. when I did mine. This week, this is a different list. This is like more like a public radio version. That's not a bad thing. Uh-oh, my mom commented on a Facebook post. Let's see what she has to say. Oh, oh, it, oh, 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 oh. What? What's happening? I think my mom made a weird Facebook post. Uh-oh, weirdos. Now I'm going to look on Facebook. Four. JD only accesses Facebook on a desktop. Yeah, and I, cool, because I only... He doesn't believe in going mobile well, when it comes to the Facebook. Facebook. On my desktop. Yeah, I don't want to... I don't want to mess with anything else. Yeah. So I'm going to look, look for the girl that my grandmother tried to set me up with at this wedding. What was her name? Oh, there she is. Founder. Founder? Yeah. I was just curious. <coughs> Shut down computer. Computer, I have to go to this improv show. Shut down. Shutting down, JD. Thank you, computer. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, what's your favorite food to eat while watching a movie? And tell me true. 
Uh, my favorite food to eat while watching a movie? Yeah. I don't eat food when watching movies. The best that I'll do is eat some ice cream. I don't like to watch movies and eat. It makes me uncomfortable because I want to have the full focus on my movies. Not me. I like the sensory experience of food and stories. Really? Is that yeah. true? Yeah. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. That's what you sound like. I'm J.D. Milo, and I can't stand the food when I'm listening to my stories. I'm Connor Outlift. This is my favorite J.D. Milo. listen to J.D. and Connor on the 12-hour Altercast, ah. where alternate versions of J.D. and Connor are played by one another. I'm Connor Outlift. Mm. I don't need to go to my psychotherapist because I got it all figured out. I'm a tall little boy with a lot of power. Well, I'm a, I'm a man that's going to die soon. That's Where, right. Where's my don't grave? Don't say that. You're going to live. Give my grave. You're done. only halfway through the first half of your second life. But my life, I'm happy now. Mm. Let me die happy. I found happiness, and that's all I Hold need. Hold on. I'm going to disappear for an hour because I have a business call. It's uh, bad, but not too bad, and good, but not too good. Oh, I'm Connor. I hate talking. Except when you're here, all I do is talk. <laughs> that was the altar cast in which we portray one another. Well, I think we got a lot of stuff off our chest there. Yeah. I mean, the good news about that is that wasn't too hurtful. We went pretty pretty intensely, and, it, and I don't yeah. think there's anything to be really offended by. That's good, right? No. Not good? No. No, it's good. It's fine. I bet we could say some things that actually offend each other. Should we try? I don't think so. so. Oh, that means you already have something in mind. No, but I think we all we both know enough personal stuff about each other that we could really... Yeah, but you were so quick. Like it occurred. No, don't it only do this. Don't JD, do it this. only dawned on me once you broached the topic. Right. It only. I was dawned like, should we try? Because obviously, in my in my head, it I only was thinking, dawned on me because you started getting real in our impressions and saying stuff. So then I felt I had to fire back a little bit. Oh man. But you obviously, you were like, I bet we really could have hurt each other. And I was like, really? Let's try. And obviously, that was me thinking like, JD doesn't mean it. We couldn't really hurt each other. We're friends. And then you're like, no, we really shouldn't. So that means you already know. You've already got yes. a bullet in the chamber that you know would hurt me. You know things that you could say that would hurt me. I don't think so. Yes, you do. No. Try. I don't. What? See, that's because you no, know. I don't. No, because you I, know. No, because I don't have anything, JD. That's false. You have plenty of things you could say that you know would. What do you think I could or say? Or offend me? What do you think I could say would hurt I'm you? I'm not going to play that game. Oh, uh, see, because I don't. I don't think so. You know. I refuse to give you. My I don't weaknesses. know any. I mean, I've already. I think I've said to you anything that I've ever felt was like, and you, and it's not anything bad. What? It's just like, it's mostly things where it's like you do stuff that I wouldn't be able to do, like that I wouldn't want to, just in terms of like handling a bunch of stuff or like, uh, you want like your impulse. My impulse is always to want to pare stuff down, and your impulse is always like, no, we can go bigger, we can do this. But those aren't bad traits. No, no. Those are just different. Yeah, but you could phrase you could phrase them in a bad way. Like what? What would be the worst way I could phrase it? I don't want to. I don't want to give you. Where's this? All this stuff going? Uh. Want to conspiracy? Yeah. I think my. Allergy medication that I used to take to stop my itching eyes. Uh huh. Wait for it. Was causing my eyes to itch. I get on board with that kind of thing. Like, <coughs> I 
I'm bad about medical stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I haven't been to the doctor in a long, long time. Uh, and I do tend to be bad about that. And I believe in modern medicine and modern science. And I, but I do tend to avoid it and assume things are going to be fine. But it doesn't but I am, I think, uh, skeptical about uh, modern pharmaceutical type stuff. I need, do you see a rubber band anywhere? Um, I have not, no. You need a rubber band? It would be helpful. That'll solve the problem a little bit. Um, God, how do I do this? I need a bag. I need a bag. Bag. Fuck. Gosh darn it. I'm falling apart here, gang. I'm not happy with me. Test, 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 JD. This is JD talking. JD almost shouting. JD in the corner. JD almost pouting. Slam poetry. JD here. This is not slam poetry. Okay. How does anyone expect to make a living? There <coughs> we go. Should I should I see if I can arrange to meet someone when you're in your improv show? Yeah, sure. I bet someone will be around there, you know. But they'll be doing improv. Maybe. You never know, I say. Um. Do, do, do. I want. I'm gonna post that. Um, I'm gonna post that uh, Cookie Monster Martha Stewart thing everywhere. Okay. I love it so much. There's two parts to it. Yeah. Um, boy, oh boy, what a world, right? What a wonderful world. You like Good Morning Vietnam? Uh, uh, you know what? I watched it recently. Yeah? For the first time. You'd never seen it? Yeah, I'd never seen it, and it's fun, except for the fact that it's a type of movie that doesn't get made anymore. Uh-huh. We're just like, uh, have this funny person say funny things. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, isn't that a good use of that energy of him to have him be a disc jockey that actually is convincingly like uh, you believe that he would be a hit on that radio? Yes, but I had a very kind of Ratliff moment watching it. Yeah. Where there were certain things happening where I was like, he's not a good guy. He's a creep. Like him chasing that woman is like, oh, yeah. He's a bad. Well, he's also. That's not a love story. He's a f weird, like. 
Well, there's a couple... GI, like, stalker. Like, basically this, like, um, American GI who believes that he's... Uh, he's owed this girl because he's in the military. There's definitely elements of that, but I think that's also... I don't think that that is necessarily... There's an element of that being, like, a thing that hasn't aged well, but there's also an element of, I think, even at the time they knew that this was... I don't think the movie entirely sides with... His initial impulse is just he's a horny GI. But then it deepens a little bit, right? It does, but, like, the stuff... The stuff that's... It's definitely played for laughs of, like, I'm going to chase down this woman. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take over her class... I'm going to take over her English class and just teach him dirty words. Yeah. Because all that matters is that I think this woman's attractive. But I also think there's an element of... Uh, that character being both right and wrong throughout the movie. That, like, he, he ends the movie in a better place than he was at the beginning when he's just a glib, kind of self-entitled guy. Sure. Uh, but the best part of that movie, the best part of that movie, or yeah. at least my favorite part of that movie, is Bruno Kirby. Which one's Bruno Kirby? Bruno Kirby is almost unrecognizable in that movie. Um, he, Bruno Kirby's one of my favorite actors. And... Uh, he uh, is the guy who... He plays the, the character who is um, a comedy aficionado who doesn't get, doesn't get his humor. Right. Who takes over the show. Right. When he gets fired. And my favorite line in that movie, because he has that whole sequence where he does his version, which is a much squarer version of comedy. It's much right. like... Him doing that, uh, oh, oh, Frenchie, oh, right. like that. And then when he, when he gets all those letters saying, like, you suck the sweat off a dead man's balls, all these, like, GIs right. who are like, you're not funny. And he gets let go from the show, and his superior officer has to tell him, like, look, I'm sorry the the people have spoken. Like, the enlisted men, they just don't think you're funny. Right. And and I like that character. There's, like, the, the superior who's, like, gets it. Right. Uh, and then there's the psychopath, uh, um... Superior who uh, is out for him the whole time. Right. But the Bruno Kirby character, and I like his little, like, uh, uh, his little toady as well. The guy who kind of follows him around is like, I think Rollins is funny. Like, right. But the, the line that I love in that movie, which I think is both, I have a different reaction to it every time I see it. Because sometimes I find it terrifying. Sometimes I find it heartbreaking. Sometimes I think it's hilarious. When he, he says to him, after he's been fired from the thing and they've been told that he's not funny and they're going to put Robin Williams back on, when Bruno Kirby's character says, Sir, in my heart, I know that I'm funny. Uh, to me, that is such an amazing thing for a character to say. Right. Because I also feel like there is that thing where there's like... Uh, he... he his idea of what is funny is based on like this very traditional, older style of comedy. Right. And the world has passed him by. Like he might have been really funny in the 1930s. Yeah, exactly. He might have been considered really wild what he was doing, but by the time of the Vietnam War, it was not surprising anymore. And there's just something about it. Like even though that character is a little bit of a dick, 
he's not the monster. He's not the villain of the movie. Right. And there's something a little bit tragic about like heartbreaking about the fact that he just he's that, just, he realizes that like he realizes that no to one no fault of his own. He's not funny. He's not funny. And saying that, sir, in my heart, I know that I'm funny, is just it's a nightmare and it's beautiful and it's, for me that line makes the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but you're right about the chasing of the uh, of the person around. I haven't seen it in a long time either. But that was your first time seeing it. It was. You're far ahead of me. Now we have to lock up. Lock it up. Anybody here? Anybody Any, here? Anybody here? Walk with me or else you're going to lose signal. Not the fruit Jib shot. Here we go. Jib shot of Connor. This is where we should we should make a TV pilot right now. Turn on all the cameras. We'll make it quick. Yeah. I can't. I still can't believe you haven't found the time to turn the jib camera into a some kind of dinosaur. I know. I'm sorry. You don't need to apologize. You've been in the control room, right? I've walked in there before, yeah. Yeah. I thought you were saying that. It was like, you know all the work I do, right? Oh, no. You've been in the control room, right? You I see, like, before it's... Before I... Before we exit Thank you. Jump out. All right. We are leaving. Lock it up. Lock it and load him. And then, where you can take those is past the women's restroom. I'll walk with you. Um, <clears throat> is it possible for me to ever get a key card to let me in, or am I too short-term to uh, get an access card? Uh, you probably could. We sort of only give. We've only been giving them to. Uh, it's not essential. Full timers. I don't think any cast has them. All right. But you can get one if you feel like you're. No, nah, I don't feel. Into that. In there. Yeah. All right. We are getting rid of our garbage. Responsibly. Location Jason. All the posters that line the hallways of these yeah, studios. Murph, the LLC. LLC. Bethany Hall, Chris Gethard, Shannon O'Neill, Fire Warden Station. When is Fire Warden Station going to make an appearance on the show? Uh, he's actually been on the show a couple times. He just got cut for air. Oh boy, oh boy. So, what are your rituals getting ready for this comedy show that you're about to head to? Well, first of all, you got to make it there. Yeah, we're running, we're running a little behind. But we can walk up to the EM, right? And take the E. Pretty sure we can. That'll be the quickest, correct? I think so. Take us down to West 4th. I'll let the internet tell me what the fastest way to go is. 
Let's go out here. And we are outside the building and ready and raring to go. Has it rained a little? Can't tell. JD's just checking the navigation status to see what's the quickest and easiest way to get to his comedy show. But then once JD does his comedy show, we're heading into the final cycle of this episode. Yeah, we'll take the E train. Where's the E from here? Up a little? Well, we can either take the 6 down or just walk across. Uh-huh. Or? Uh, or we take the E. From where? From 52nd Street. And that'll lead us. Right there. Pretty close. To West 4th, right? That's See, right yeah. there. Yeah, let's do that. Right. We can also do this. Uh-huh. What do you think? What's that? Take the 6 down and then walk across. Um, the E probably, right? Yeah, I think so. So I mean, it'll it's, take 24 minutes. That'll be fine. Yeah, that'll get us there right on time. Perfect. Um, perfect Danny. A perfect ending to a perfect day. Um, oh, wait. Can they not hear me, huh? Hmm. I'm going to readjust mine to put it on this. Um, We're flying without a net here. I don't have headphones on, so... Do you want me to put headphones on? Uh, do you have good headphones? I have earbuds. Uh, my ear, my, if they're Apple earbuds, they won't. They won't work? Yeah. They're not Apple earbuds, but they plug in like that, kind of. Those might not work. I don't know. That's okay. Right. Let's just go without a net. We'll see. Yeah. We'll trust. Trust... But this is all working out. Wait, oh shoot. Um, for for uh, DCM people who are uh, waiting in line. Yeah, tweet at us what show you're about to see. Or let us know how Terry Withers went. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, it's weird because since I, well, I have a, I have a post that I wrote the, the day, on my last day of uh, working at Barnes & Noble. It was kind of like a looking back on the 13 years working there. Right. And it was mostly kind of just sentimental and reflective, but I edited a lot of it out because right. I had a lot of things that were sort of complaining, and I've been toying with... I have a post that I I started writing a little something the other day and then I was like it ended up sort of spewing out of me and getting longer and longer which was sort of like these are the things that I edited out of that post that were more complaining right and there was a part of me that uh, is hesitant about posting this right but there's another part of me that thinks no, I should post this because it contains a lot of things that 
I feel like people that I know who still work there think and feel but can't say. Right. And and I feel like on a very small, maybe petty, but also reasonable and correct ways, it calls out a lot of things that I think need to be called out. Like, I think you and I had talked recently about the... Uh, the stupidity of the renaming of all the sections in Barnes and Noble. Yeah, it's like uh, where find your happy or whatever they're calling all the sections now. Yeah, that there's like somebody decided they're going to rename all the sections bit by bit, and instead of a film, television, and radio section, they now have a section just called on screen, and what it means is the elimination of the television section means that you used to be able to go to the TV section and you wanted a book about Breaking Bad, you look under Breaking Bad and there would be all the books about Breaking Bad. Right. But now you have to, now they're all just mixed in with all the books about movies and you have to know the author editor of that book. Right. Uh, Living Your Best Life is the self-improvement section, even though it also means that I think like subsections on like addiction make a lot less sense under Living Your Best Life than they did under self-improvement. Right. Uh, And... I believe, for instance, they just added uh, a bunch of subsections within uh, the mystery section that they, 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 these are the kinds of things that like someone at corporate will make these decisions and then they end up being a lot of work, a lot of extra busy work for an already overworked staff at all of the stores. Right. And... And I feel like no one ever consults anyone who works in the store before they make these decisions. They're all made from without. Right. By people who don't work in the stores, who don't have any direct experience working in a store. So they, don't, they just don't know what the way some things might be a bad idea. And, like, they just added a cozy mystery section to the mystery section. Whoa, yeah. wait. How do you determine that? Well, uh... Like, when you write a mystery, are you, like... This will be a cozy one. Well, there is, I mean, it's not impossible in the sense that there is a certain, in the mystery section, there are a couple different broad categories of mystery that are very different. Right. Like, if you read, certain authors (coughs) are very grisly crime procedurals. Like, if you want to hear about the details of the murder scene. Right. That's very different than reading a kitty cat mystery. Right. Uh, You know, it's more like, like a Jessica Fletcher style murder she wrote kind right. of mystery. Um, and so, but here's the thing the cozy mystery section doesn't include Agatha Christie, even though Agatha Christie is basically the reason that there is a cozy mystery genre. Right. Uh, and so, and meanwhile, they created. She's in the Agatha section. She's just in regular mystery, so it's like, well, why? Well, why then, didn't they create that section that was all just for. Authors named Agatha. Oh yeah, just the Agatha, uh, and the uh, then they they created not a subsection but like a little sort of shelf talk or section within the section for Sherlock Holmes, and one of the books that is included in this section is The Lost World by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which is not a Sherlock Holmes mystery which does not belong in the mystery section at all. Right. And it's like, oh, someone's making these decisions and they don't even know what these books are. Right. And uh, 
So I have this long post. Uh, and I probably will end up posting it, but it really is like... Look down this essay and imagine that it's flat and that you just have not... Oh, yeah. Like vertigo. Just on, a, uh, just on a moving sidewalk? Yeah. I'm going to blur my... Blur my vision a little. Um, yeah, I can do it. Whoa. Um... Yeah, I feel weird now. We're going down a very, very steep escalator. Where the walls are angled with the angle of the... things one of the things one of the things I oh music things that I write about that is probably, it's both the reason that I'm a little hesitant to post it and the reason that I actually really want to post it, is Displays we have that other stores right. don't have, uh, unless we just repeat displays 
yeah. over and over. Um, and they were forced to take down this display, even though it meant a drop in sales for all those titles because now we don't have this display. There was another instance where, in the kids' department, this person working with another outside manager who had come in temporarily when our store manager wasn't working, they decided to take down a bunch of displays in the kids' section. And everyone who worked in the kids' section was like, no, no, don't do that. Like, these do really well. These are, like, really... We made these, and they, we track sales on them, and they're yeah. really successful. They said, no, we want more floor space. We want it to be more open. It'll do better. And uh, it literally costs... When they, six months later, when uh, they tracked what had happened in the kids section, it cost tens of thousands of dollars. It had been a disastrous, like, drop in sales. Right. And all these things. And, it, but it's a person who is never held accountable. It's a person who is never, right. like, whenever, no one ever, there's never a moment where someone says, hey, this drop in sales, that's your thing. You did that. And no one ever says it right. to this person because this person's higher than most people. Right. Uh, I think there's someone like that in almost every... My theory is that there's someone like that in almost every company. And especially in every company that inevitably fails. Every company that you're like, why did that company go out of business? Right. There's probably some idiot in that company who... Come on, E. I think it's an E. Oh, we get an E? It's an E. We did it. You know how, like, I'm, you've seen The Wire? Yeah. You know on The Wire how a lot of what goes wrong is because of Herc? Yeah. And nobody knows it? Like, nobody in the show realizes how many of the disastrous things that went wrong are because Herc at one point was like, didn't do this or did do that. Right. And he's like, one of the secret linchpins of like major disasters are because one person somewhere in the chain of things lied or didn't do their job right or... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But maybe I won't post it. I don't know. Part of me, it feels... It's such a relentlessly negative post that part of me feels reluctant to post it, even though I think it's interesting because it, it goes through point by point a number of things that I think are kind of detailed and interesting. Right. Here's dumb things that happened that shouldn't have happened. But then there's another part of me that's like naturally reluctant by nature to put more poison on the internet. Well, maybe this is a good poison. Maybe this is more like a vaccination. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I go back and forth on it. Yeah, it's, it's always hard to tell with those things. Because it'll never be entirely one or the other. Yeah. It'll be both good and bad. Yeah. Most everything, there's almost nothing that's all good or all bad. Almost everything comes with both. And there's no level of success in doing any sort of action, especially in putting things out there that will result in just good or just bad. Yeah. Which is frustrating. Yeah. Like I've been having to deal with for the Gethard Show, like our first amounts of negative comments uh, online yeah yeah there used to be a small enough community where if that happened you could sort of be like what's happening with this person and then figure it out and be like oh but now it's just like oh it's out there enough that like there's people that are going to post like inflammatory stuff about it yeah what's the worst thing that's been posted like reddit stuff no it's sort of a time where people are like oh all the fake laughter is so forced all this stuff and it's like no it feels forced because we're cutting it down yeah you don't know that, but I get why you hate it, but it's like, I, I get why you think that it feels fake because of that, but, yeah, the Reddit stuff, yeah. so it was on the top, the front page of r slash television for yeah. a couple days, and people were just like, some people were like, hey, this is cool, and some people were like, I don't know, it seems pretty cringeworthy to me, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's fair, whatever, but it's not fair, but you're welcome to have that opinion that I believe is wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a weird thing because it happens with literally everything that I like. If you go down to the comments page of anything, yeah. you just inevitably see someone saying like, well, of course it's like this. They've never been good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this comes back, I think, this also, though, comes back to my thing about wanting to have, having a goal of trying to find, if not a perfect, at least a more consistent standard by which I judge things personally. Right. That one of my pet peeves about people in general, one of the things I dislike most about people in general is the way that, in most cases, if you were to look at the people who uh, are leaving negative comments on things that you think are cool. In a lot of cases, those exact same people would completely change their opinion if their situation shifted even slightly. Yeah. That, uh, you'll, like, whenever you see someone online talking about, like, someone will post about something, like, some famous comedian will have something that they do, and then there'll be comments on it saying, like, I don't get it, never found this person funny. You know? Yeah. First of all, there's nothing wrong with not finding something funny that other people find funny. But there is, I think, something damaged about a person who feels that that's worth sharing. Yes. Um, I can't think of a single time that I have been unentertained or unamused by something and felt the need to just post that. Not an analysis, not a, not a, a thoughtful expression of like, here's what I liked, here's what I didn't like. But literally just say like, I've never liked this show don't get it. And what is the intended result when people do that? Um, I don't know, but in most cases where someone says something like, like that... Let's think about that. What do they want? Like, what is what is the hope? Um, that in some way someone will listen to them? It's the... It's, um... It's basically the equivalent of someone uh isn't in the midst of an emergency but decides to take a public shit rather than wait five minutes to go into the bathroom and do it. Right. But it's not because no one does that but everyone does this. But it's the equivalent of that in the sense that it's not necessary it's foul no one wants it to happen no one needs it to happen it's unnecessary um, and yet they do it anyway. And I have to assume that if someone were to take a public shit and do that, it's because, like, they want, look what I made. Look, this is what I made. I almost think it's just like a... It's obviously never someone that's happy. And I think it's someone trying to justify... It's like... Uh, cognitive dissonance for their own unhappiness, right? Yeah. Where it's like nothing can be all good. So if something, if everyone is liking something, they have to not like it to prove that nothing is perfect, to prove that them not being happy is valid because nothing's perfect. It just comes out as anger. Yeah. As like, well, I'm angry, which means not, not everything's perfect, which means it's okay for me to be angry. It's sort of like it's okay for you to feel this way because now... Now the pool is untouched. Now there, yeah. is, now there is some sort of dissent among the happiest, which means dissent among happiness exists and is okay. Yeah. Which means that you being unhappy right now is also okay. Yeah. 
Um, and I think to hope that someone else will go, yeah, you're right, this does stink. Yeah. And other people go, yeah, all these idiots were talking about how much they like it, but it really is bad. And then it's like even more people yeah. to justify that person being unhappy. Yeah. That that's okay and normal. Yeah. Um, um, but it's, it's, um, interesting to think about another thing that I tend to always believe is that most of the people who post about a thing in comedy that they don't like if they you know if that same comedian or performer or whatever came and performed in their town and they saw the show and then afterwards the person met them and was nice to them I bet in almost every case they would suddenly be like yeah pretty funny you know, it was funny, at this wedding, a lot of people in my family are like, only hear about my TV stuff and see the articles and the this and that, yeah. and they're like, ooh, show business. Not in a bad way, but like in a, yeah. you're the one person in our family that does that. Yeah. So, I was talking with some family members about it, all my family are very level-headed about it, empathetic to all my stress and that, but there are people from the groom's family who were... Um, from like Omaha where the group is from and they're talking to me about TV and I could t- tell they're sort of delighted in talking about TV to meet someone who knew people yeah. on SNL and people who worked on these shows yeah. and goes, what do you think about Seth Meyers' show? and I was like uh, I think it's good I think Seth has like some of the best yeah. writers around and they're real weirdos but I think his show is such that like it's hard for them to express that weirdness and maybe over time they'll be able to do that um, she was like, oh, because I hate the music. I hear that theme song and I have to turn it off immediately. I hate it. And she's like, she's like, that show, I just can't get to the music and I just turn it off immediately. And there's part of me that was like, no, the conversation is that like, they have like Conor O'Malley and Ben Warpite and like all these bizarre brains and Seth is a really great guy. And, yeah. But I was like, oh, you don't see that. All this person sees is that the music plays and she doesn't like it, so she turns off the TV. Yeah. And so there's a point where it's like, wait, no, 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 you're wrong. That's not, you're judging the show on things that are not the show. And then I was immediately like, no, that's how people take in content. This woman, the show comes on after Fallon or whatever. Yeah. And her judgment of it is, I don't like this theme song, so she changes the channel. Yeah. And as much as I know that there's more to it than that, and a lot of people working really hard, the fact that the theme song is that she's judging is so insane. That's completely valid of her to turn the channel because she doesn't want to hear that song anymore. Yeah. So it was very strange. I, I immediately had to like stop my con- stop the of my conversation of like, well, this this and then this and then this. Yeah. And have her be like, I don't like the theme song, and be like, oh okay, that's yeah. fine. You're not you don't have to like the theme song, and I guess that's I guess that is a knock on the show that you don't like the theme song for you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Um, but it's also that's also a weird thing conversationally that people I think people don't realize sometimes when they're talking to someone that and Lord knows I've made I've made errors in conversation where I I want to talk to somebody and I'm trying to think of what would be a good thing to talk about and I'll realize afterwards I'll be like oh that was the wrong thing to talk about yeah but that's an example of like uh, 
like wanting to talk to you because you're in television, asking you what you think about a show that you never watch because you have to turn it off immediately, uh, is an unusual, like, that that's your thing that you wanted to talk to you about, like a show that you don't watch. Yeah, but you know, that's, people that don't work in television, all they see is what's on the outside. So to her, the conversation about that show is, that theme song's bad, isn't it? Yeah. And like it was interesting, so the same group of people, that same woman, a group of people join us, and then people are like, hey, what do you think of the SNL 40th anniversary? And I was like, went to the same conversation that I had with all my comedy friends. I was like, yeah, I thought it was really interesting, but like, I think it's, you know, from all the people that I know that have worked there, Lord Michael's created this very volatile system where it's like people really want to be accepted by him. So that show was sort of the ultimate version of that, where even people who had sort of sworn off the show return to sort of get that validation again. And so it was this strange mixture of people trying to like return back to their high school reunion to impress the principal. And I started going into stuff. And as I said all that, like I saw someone looking at me sort of like, like getting it interested, but also like sort of like oh. never looking behind that thing. And then like I stopped and they were like, someone was like, yeah, I thought it was so funny. Uh, it was great when Bill Murray did that bit. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. And then I immediately, I immediately, like, acted like I didn't say any of the stuff I said, and I was like, yeah, it was really funny. Wasn't it cool to see Eddie Murphy? Like, stuff like where I was like, I was like, oh, the conversation I'm having. Is inside baseball. Right. It's like me saying, like, oh, did you go to that restaurant? And, like, a chemist going, like. Yeah, the reason people react to those flavors is because of a. Yeah. Or not even that, a chemist going, like. Oh, you know, we have a carbohydrate-rich diet, which means that because of that, da 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 just like someone going like, yeah, yeah it's a good the, time. The hamburger had a good sauce on it, though, you know? So I had that moment of like, oh, right, I have to, I have been so inside this world and had so few conversations with people outside of it that I realized, I was like, oh, it's not fair of me to put them into my version of that world. Yeah. And it's not fair of me to judge their judgments of my world because um, I think it is fair for other other uh, fields of work. Like, it would be fair for chemists to be like, I don't want to hear your opinion on global warming. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Not a chemist or biologist. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. My point being, like, a scientist could tell someone, like, you're wrong. You have no right to talk about this. Yeah. Or no right to have an opinion on this because you don't know the facts of it. Yeah. Whereas in our field, it is not fair to do that because our field exists for other people. Yeah. It is a forward-facing industry that is meant for people that do not know about the behind-the-scenes thing. And so as much as I want to act like I can be a scientist and dis- discourage their opinions because they, are, they don't know what they're talking about, that's not true. It's weird. Um, I, uh, they, they're just as valid as my opinions. Uh... I had a I had a conversation with uh, Adam Conover when he was in town recently, and he's someone. Oof, it's hot out here. We're at West Fourth Street. Yeah. Um, I was saying that for the listener viewers, not for you. Oh yeah, we're at West Fourth Street. Um, Adam Conover. Uh, who has a new TV series, uh, Adam Ruins Everything. It's going to be on, I think, True TV sometime soon. Yeah. Um, but he's someone who's always had very much harsher opinions on comedy than I have ever had. 
to the point I've said to him in conversation, like, I actually, like, I'm glad I'm him, and I'm glad I'm me and not him. Because I get to enjoy more comedy, I feel like. Yeah. Because um, I remember He's having, also a guy that does pick apart everything. He what? He's a guy that picks apart everything. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of what's funny about his comedy is that he does yeah. that. But, oh boy, look, more music. Yeah. Um, but, like, Adam would Adam talk, I remember we were talking about sitcoms one time, and he was talking about which seasons of, like, The Office or 30 Rock were good and which ones weren't good or whatever. And it was at a point where I was like, I couldn't make a distinction for me, like, what the what the good seasons of 30 Rock were. To me, they were all good. Right. And, uh... That's right. Yeah. And, so... But, uh... We were talking recently, and I was talking about, like, I get really annoyed by a lot of think pieces about comedy. Yeah. That people write. And Adam's take on it was... He likes it because he thinks that all that dissenting opinion is good and that people writing those think pieces about comedy show that people are taking the art form seriously. That's a, an artifact of it's being regarded highly enough that it's worth thoughtful people taking time to write about why this right. is good and this is not. Uh, and while I can see a lot of validity in that way of thinking... I also like just have such a knee-jerk thing to when I read articles about that I think are about things that I think are funny, and reading uh, people who are relentlessly unfunny writing about them in ways that reveal those things. Where they're like, "Well, why don't they do this instead? This would be just as funny." It right. drives me nuts because I'm like, "Oh." Your comedy, the person writing this article, if they were put in charge of a single comedy show, right. it would be the worst thing you'd ever see. You'd beg for death. It would be so unfunny. And that is a thing that frustrates me consistently. When I read a thing like, there's that article last week that was about how, like, uh, uh, the whole, like, Amy Schumer pretends to be a feminist, but she's really not. And then right. it was just picking apart jokes, and it was just, like, reading it, thinking, like, oh, another one of these articles about somebody right. saying, like, here's the way comedy should be now, written by someone who could never create anything funny. Yeah. Uh, in those areas, that's where... At, well, I do see, like, this is a... Where it's I, like, if someone changed Amy Schumer's jokes uh -huh. to be, quote-unquote, feminist... Yeah. The point of her jokes wouldn't land and nor would the joke. Yeah. So it's just like, no, what you... You can't both ask people to be funny and be essayists. Essayists and perfect role models in every way. Right. Um, yeah. Um, all right. All right. We are now, we're walking, we're approaching the Players Theater, passing the Comedy Central. So we're right in the heart of where it's happening tonight, J.D. Yeah. Let's see. With JD, I'm going to have to pay to get into the show. 
Excuse me, my friend. Sorry. 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 Am I going to have to pay to get into the show, JD? Oh, yeah. I can give you money. What? I'll pay for it. No, no. Okay. It's real warm in here, JD. Yeah. How's it going? Good. It's tea for him. Oh, okay, great. There we go. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Good, how are you? How are you? You're on 12 hour day with JD and Connor right now. Oh, hey, how you doing? Talking to Seas Dice. Is this your Thank you. podcast? Yes. Are you on? You're currently on 12 hour day. How far are you? How many hours in? Nine, about nine and a half hours in. Yeah. Yeah. So they take us through the show and then a little extra. Yeah, exactly. Since that's a, that's like a lot of time to spend with each other in one day, right? Have you had yeah. like a for real like argument or fight on the? Not on no. this episode. You're cranky sometimes. I get cranky sometimes. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Hello. Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? This Molly Davis here. She's on the podcast with us. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I was wondering what that was. That is. It's just a microphone for the podcast. Hi, y'all. I might get a drink, yeah, yeah. Go, See, do it to it. Go to our bartender, we'll take care of you. Oh, there we go. We got the creeps back. The seltzer? The best Yeah, do you have any seltzer? Yo, watch this. No, don't try to fool me. That's a mild seltzer. It is. I'm going to We're in the podcast right now. We're recording 12-hour day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Connor had to do Meyer some show. Attending the bar. Whoops, I just like here. I just tried to shake Nerds up the water. Nerds was happening during it. Yeah, there was a sensor. Yeah. Still, I still want Exactly. It's a still. Yeah. How are you doing, Sam? There you go. We just okay. talked at the Get the Draw offices. We're in a, a, a low adventure episode. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? What an hour? No, we're just talking. Like nine and a half? Have you been carrying the bag the whole time? Uh, yeah, this also is my laptop. It's like so. that. Usually, I just put it on a desk and we just hang out. I think, I, I don't know what else in there is, you know? You're currently on it. Um, but like, is Creature up first? Yes, so listeners probably aren't liking this right now. Well, she'd be like, I'm talking to Gavin. They're amazing. Well, see, here's the thing. that Most people, when they listen to the podcast, are people that have long commutes. have to listen to both sets. Or... Long job, right? So they, a lot of times it's just, they just like to have people talk yeah, in the background. Yeah, but as soon as JD sets over, because the list. So these sections do drive them nuts, but I don't think it's awful. It's also recording on his yeah, mic you now, can. so this probably sounds really bad. Oh, wait, plug a book that you might write. Okay. Um, I'm going to go over there just for the sake uh, of the, the uh, Everyone, uh, I may one day write a book uh, about the life and times of Reggie Miller and what he was like as a child before the NBA. Ooh. Uh, it's called Becoming Reggie. Our dog is named Reggie Miller, just for the record. Right, but that doesn't enter into the book. Is it not? It's about the player or the dog? Uh, it's about the it's about the dog. It's about a fictional universe where my dog plays in the NBA, like Air Bud style. And it's about his journey to playing in the NBA. But it's a different universe than Air Bud. Yes, it's a different universe. It's an alternate universe. Right. And it, this From is Air Bud, like, could they possibly? Oh yeah, that's a good point. It it, it takes place in the universe. Of of Air Bud, but it's an alternate universe to them, like within it. Right. So they had like a portal of some kind. So anyway, check it out. It's going to be real. 
And this ties into the other Spielerverse books. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So Grandpa, Grandpa in the Attic. Grandpa in the Attic. And her other yeah. dog has a series of her own. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's great. What's your other dog's name? Birdie. Not named after. That's a cool show. Yeah, I know. Hey, Allie. Thank you. Jenny, what it's percentage a big of your podcast it's a tablet. is a you explain to people that you're tablet. Uh, it's actually funny because um, the people listen to our podcast like tweet us a lot. Well, my they make notepads of all the things they talk about, which are crazy and really interesting to look at. But one of the things that they always laugh about or tweet about that's like a running joke for all of them is that whenever we run into people, people inevitably ask, what do you guys do today? And then, like, six times a podcast, we recap stuff that they just listened to. Yeah. So, like, whenever we meet someone, they'll go, they'll go so what do you guys do today? And we'll go, oh, we did this. And they, everyone laughs and we, like, recap the yeah, same yeah. stuff over and over again. And then we change the story slightly to, like, try to excite the people who are around. And today we didn't, have much, we didn't do much. We didn't do that much today. Not yet. No. Not yet. But there's not that much time left. We've only got, like, a few hours left in the podcast. Yeah. So you're going to do a show. Yes. And that'll be part of the podcast. It could be, or I might just give the law to Connor, and he might go talk to someone. Outside. Outside. Is that what you're going to do? Maybe. I don't know. I wish we could ask our listeners, but they won't hear this for weeks. We could tweet our listeners. Because there is a very, we, we once did a show together where we just kept our lobs on and had it record. Hey! Oh, here's a big, here's a big, big fan favorite. Sal is a big fan favorite on 12 Hour Day. Oh, yeah? Say your catchphrase. Are you guys filming an episode of 12 Hour Day again? We're recording it on audio. Say your catchphrase. Say what? The catchphrase. Your 12 Hour Day listeners will know. What do you prefer to be called? Oh, no, I don't prefer to be called Mark Booney. Yeah! We can edit the I don't put it out. Yeah, I did. Oh, good, more editing at my expense. No, no, no. Sal, though. Sal once gave an interview where he said some things he wasn't supposed to say and made us go back and edit them out about his job, and it caused a lot of drama, but then Sal became a podcast favorite of our listeners. Yeah. Um, How many teams are performing tonight? I don't know. Three teams? Us? Sal, are you performing? What? Are you performing? Yeah, we're performing. Oh, cool. Was that a... Don't know. Don't know. I what? I don't think I can name a single current royalty. I I might not be able to name more than like two people on Harold Night. Are you not? What's that? <laughs> I haven't been on for like two years. Okay, cool. I was on a team after Creature for like six months. And then I got the boot. And then I have not really done improv since then. I haven't done improv in two years. But it's been it's been fine. Making TV shows and stuff. Just just very little improv. How's that going? Good, it's going really well. Uh, we got our, our big episode this week. Where we're, we're marrying three couples. Married? They're, yeah, they're all getting married on the show. And Will Ferrell's going to be their best man for each of them. Yeah. No. That's, That's going to be fun. fun. That's going to be great. Yeah. Are you still at Barnes & Noble? No. Uh, I quit at the end of April. Connor quit. How's it going? He's full-time a entertainment. We've been coaching and doing the warm-up for the Gethard Show every week. I'm the warm-up comic. That's my job. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How have you guys done? 
I do this manager now. I do the finance. Are you still at ISC? Yeah, but working for, like, you know, the fun person. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's your fun. I like interview and hire people. Look at you. I'm like a real grown up. Sam, I remember when you first got that job. I know. I know. We gotta go to the bathroom. Make sure that's on. Yeah. Let's get Ken back over here. Okay. Do you want me to give you the lob to start just interviewing people? Yeah, yeah. All right, so JD's gonna give me... All right, 12 heads. I'm going to get ready for my show here. All right, great. I can trick down. I'm here with Ken Beck. Hi, how you doing, Connor? Doing pretty good. What's new, Ken? What's new? Well, uh, I'm very excited for the Creature reunion tonight. Oh, it's a fun time. It's really cool. I like your shirt. Have you gotten a lot of comments on your shirt yet? One. One. Yes, nice. Here's the second one. I love it. That's two. Uh, Steve? I like it, too. Yeah. Steve Tice, yeah. yeah. Can that be three? Yeah. Okay, three nice comments. Uh, How are you, man? How's the 12 hours? What hour are we into right now? Like nine and a half. Oh, so you're... Nine and a half. Okay, very good. Um, let me ask this. Sure. Um, what teams are performing tonight at this show? Creature okay. is up second. Creature's up second. Uh, we also have City Mouse. City Mouse is a former Lloyd team, right. I believe. And they had a... Uh, there's a, just a conglomerate of fantastic folks. Is it all flashbacks? It's all flashback tonight, baby. What's the third team? And it's Rizzo, right? So it's just, I think it's just three teams. The host team. That's it. Yeah, it's not. It's, uh, I mean, it's gla- it's as glamorous as it's gonna get. So, Connor, are you deciding if you're gonna watch? Are you deciding to watch? I don't know what's better for the podcast. You know, I paid JD paid for me to get in here. You almost have to explain what is happening. Maybe just listening will be all right. But I don't know would the audio pick up well enough. You know, a lot might. That'd just be me talking, saying, looks like he's pretending to be a waiter. to everybody in the show. Yeah, don't have it. Yeah. I have a feeling I'll have to go sit in the hall. Will you guys be offended if I do that? Not at all. You got a show. You're doing a show right now. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a show. In fact, that show takes precedence, probably, to spend going out longer than ours. Yeah. Ours will last a week of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you stay in the hallway or are you going to go downstairs? I think I'm probably going to go in the hallway. There's a bunch of people like on the second floor. Yeah, I don't need to talk to them. Do I know anybody? I don't know yet. I'm going to go talk to Gary for a second. Gary Richardson. Can I have one highlight from the day so far? I obviously don't want to spoil anything. But one highlight from the podcast so far today. Could you give me one highlight from your day first? Okay. Um... I had a, uh, it was a very boring day, so the highlight would be, I had a, uh, a big ramen, uh, a big ramen chicken uh, soup okay. for lunch. So that's the sad highlight of my day. Well, um, <laughs> JD and I went to Shake Shack, we went to Shake Shack and got food, and then we went, we sat in the makeup room of the TGUCS studios. Oh, okay, very good. And then we talked about uh, the Confederate flag. Oh, that's today's the big day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, while we were eating Shake Shack, we both were like, nobody should be messing with that flag. Like, people shouldn't like that flag. It's a no. losing flag of a war that, you know, it is. It's just like, <laughs> that's, that's, it just hurts people's feelings. And it's like, fine, be proud of the South. But my feeling is like, find something else to be proud of. Like, you know, anything but that stupid yeah. flag? Yeah. Pick a new one. You got a flag. There's a bunch, every state has one. Yeah. Nice. Make a new flag that's yeah. cool that doesn't represent a, a legacy of exactly. horrific like, horribleness. Like a, like, a, like a rodeo flag or a country music flag. Like, hey, a NASCAR flag. Like, why does everything have to be flags? Put up some nice bunting or banners or something, yeah. you know? Yeah, give a couple screamers. 
Yeah. Yeah, hey, why not? Nobody needs that flag. No. So long. You're out of here, flag. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah. Bye-bye, flag. All right, go, go talk to Gary. I don't want to hold you. Where is Gary? Oh, Gary's still sitting know. right there. Yeah, he's back there. Yeah. I don't want to hold you up because the show's going to be starting soon. You won't really be able to interview him oh, much. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Go get him in. All right. Get him in there, dude. All right. Oh, sorry. Hi, Gary. Hello, how's it going? You're a repeat. Uh, we're doing the 12-hour day podcast. Or 12 oh, hour yeah. Podcast. So you've been on it before. I've been on before, yeah. So you're re- we're getting a lot of re- re- return guest cameos. I mean, you Sal's been on it before. I think right. Ken has. Pretty sure Steve has. Well, I mean, the collection of stars. Oh, it's a I night mean, of they have, stars. They have a line, you know, a cavalcade, yeah. if you will. Cavalcade of stars. You sent me a really nice email this week. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Are you performing the show tonight? I am performing the show. What team are you on? I'm on Rizzo. Rizzo. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably gonna end up having to sit in the hallway because I don't think uh, we can't stop the podcast. Okay. And I think it'll be disruptive if I describe what's happening during improv sets. Sure. Uh, but I also don't think the improv will be loud enough to be clear on the live. Sure. Have you thought about sitting like back here and kind of just like whispering into the mic? I think it would be more distracting to have oh, a whispering really? person back here, don't you think? So I'm going back I, going like, it looks like we're doing, they're doing a tag out. I think if you say it hurried like that, but they're I think going if on a tag run. I think if you say that kind of stuff like that, I think you can get away with it. I don't know. I mean, in Europe, Paris a guy, I feel like folks couldn't say manager. Are you giving me the go-ahead to sit in this back corner? I'm giving you the go-ahead. My team put on this line, I'm giving you the go-ahead. Okay. Yeah. Who's the first team? I don't know. City Mouse is first? City Mouse is first. Okay. Do you know anyone who's on City Mouse? I think Eric Gerson. Eric Gerson? Yeah, who's sitting right over there. All right. Yeah. Is he the leader of City Mouse? I think he's the only City Mouse person here so far. Oh, no. Is there going one problem? Potentially. He might. There's a reason. Like, if somebody can do it, it might be him. Maybe I'll, I'll sit in with him if you want to. Oh, that'd be great. I'm a, have have I'm you a done improv? Mouse. I'm, a, or, I'm a country yeah. mouse, though. I hear you that. Know? Yeah, I mean, then, I think that's a pretty fun interplay oh, no. there. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's worth checking out. I mean, it'd be fun to have you done the 12-hour podcast, 12-hour day while doing improv. Yeah, JD and I did a set once during a show. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, And we kept it in, I think. Uh, But then we had to leave right away. I feel real rude, you know? Yeah, sure. Drop my show. And take it off. But that's the game, you know? That's the game. game. You got to play by the rules. Sometimes you got to break the rules. Absolutely. Nice to see you, guys. Good to see you as well. All right. Take care. Have fun, podcasters. I will. He's really falling Hi. Don't stop talking. Oh, no, I, I finished what I was saying. Corey Palmer. Well, no, I mean, not even just that. It's just like, it seems like something everyone would at least experiment with at some point. You know? And I'm sure you have at some point in your life. I mean, I think well, yeah, because once I had, like, uh, everyone needed a mustache for a wedding. Right. So I grew a beard for, like, two and a half weeks, and then just kind of, like, a nasty two-and-a-half-week mustache, you know? Real stink stash, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. 
real dirty stash. You know the dirty stash? The type of stash that says, I like doing nasty stuff, but I'm not ashamed of it, you know? Like what, Gavin? The kind of stash where you want to, like, get that stash right up in someone's butthole. You All right. Know? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know. You know I what understand I'm what you about. mean. I understand what you mean. Yeah, getting that, that stash up in a butthole. No. Yeah, you know, you know what this I'm talking about. Look, this isn't the zoo crew, Gavin. We're not the zoo crew. <laughs> That's not the type of material you were looking for when you joined no. this conversation? It's not, it's, it's, when they so, talk about that on a zoo podcast. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's like for a family network. I didn't know that. Oh, my God, Gavin. Kids. Who else would have time to listen to a 12-hour podcast? It's for small children. I, was, I didn't know. That's true. Yeah, there's nothing yeah, there's wrong nothing about... Uh, um, oral get, butt get, play. Getting that stink sesh. Yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. I hate that makes you doubt yourself for a second. Yes. I shouldn't make you feel ashamed. No, kids need to know about stink stashes at a young age. The problem is when you don't talk to your kids about stink stashes, and then they go out on their own, they try to go a stink stash, try to shove it up in the wrong butthole, you know, it's like, where are the parents? No, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I didn't have a good stink sesh mentor in my life when I was young, and I feel like I made a lot of mistakes right. when I was growing up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my first couple years of stink sesh were just vile. I wasn't responsible. I was irresponsible. More than anything, I was irresponsible. Yeah. And isn't it clear that, like, now you're part of a program, like, called Big Stink Stash Brothers, where you, like, take a kid on your wing, teach him about stink stashes? That's great, because you're doing what you never had, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been lucky enough for the past couple years to be a big stink to a number of lovely nice little... Plug it, plug it. Plug it. <laughs> How are, how are your dogs, Gavin? They're good? How are what? How are your dogs? They're great. My dogs are really great. Yeah? Yeah. How are those dogs? I oh, my feet? feet? Oh, are very they good. They barking? My feet are barking a little. Yeah, I've been on my feet a lot today. Which dogs, if you had to choose? Which one would I kill? Oh, all right. Would you shoot your own feet or feet of dogs? <laughs> if I had to shoot my feet or my you dogs? You have to kill two dogs. Your feet or your actual like dogs? The kids, the kids. Come on, this isn't good. I would, uh... Are you, you would shoot your own feet. I know you would never. I know you would. Right I would shoot my feet. I would shoot my feet because I would recover. I would recover. Feet heal. That's right. Because you would never forget. Yeah. And let me tell you, whether you mean that or not, whether you mean that or not, that's the right answer. Like if you're asking. No, I do mean that. I know. But even if you didn't mean that, I would still advise answering that if asked in a public setting because it's by far. You look like a good guy. Oh, yeah. You know? And I think you are a good guy. That's why I believe the answer. But also, if there's anybody out there who's asked that question who isn't a good guy, that's the good guy answer. You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't come off sympathetic if you say, I shoot my dogs because I love my own feet. You sound like a pervert. No, because your you feet... Know? What's the worst that happens? Like, you lose toes. Now you're... I'm going for the center of the foot. Like, oh, the center of the foot's better. I'd prefer that. Wait, you, you know what, though? It, it does... I mean, not, you know, not to get all gun nut on you, but it does depend on the weapon you're using because if you're taking a shotgun, you're blowing your feet clean off. Yeah, yeah. Either way, you're blowing What type of gun is it? What type of gun is it? Not what is that? I don't know what that means. I mean, I know I that means you pull the trigger. Yeah, all, the all that means is you have to cock it each time. Yeah. But it's just a bullet to the center of the foot. No, I want you to keep shooting until there's nothing left. <laughs> all right. Well, I do that because I, I wouldn't kill dogs. Time. Yeah, because I'm a good guy. Yeah. I have to shoot myself in the foot, reload, shoot again. Both of them at the same time? Yeah, two dogs. I mean, two dogs. Two dogs? That's bullshit, man. I, would, I'd still <laughs> I love that that's where you're getting <laughs> Wait, you have, he has to shoot both at the same time? Yeah. 
Well, then I think it's risky to do the feet because you'll fall over. Anyone's and also anyone's weaker hand, you're gonna have much worse aim, and okay. you're probably gonna hit your toes a few times, and that's yeah. just extra pain. That's this is how I picture it. I picture that there were two guns set up on strings like a string system, so that the aim would be right to the center of my foot. You immediately pictured a string system. Honestly, I pictured myself in bed with my feet, like sitting up in bed with my feet sticking up in front of me, and two guns that I'm yes, that I'm not in charge of on like some sort of system, like with dead aim, right at the center of my feet. And then there's strings that I pull wow. that like fire into the center of my foot. Yeah. Oh. He's never built any sort of system. Next question. I think we're. I think that's it. I think we got everything I needed. Great. You know what? I respect you going to that though because that does remove some, some, a little bit of your own agency from the decision. Yeah. Because if you're only pulling strings, you're not pulling the trigger. You're pulling the trigger. Someone else, whoever built the machine, is pulling the trigger. Your aim won't be worse because you're in pain or anything like that. Yeah. All right. Sal, I need some advice. I need some advice. What's up? Am I, do you th- what do you think is better for this podcast? If I sit quietly in the back corner and mo- and explain what's happening in the improv set, or if I go out in the hallway and just don't disrupt the show? Would that be disruptive for the show? I think if you were in the in the room describing At what's back, happening, but quietly into the microphone, so I I'm think not. it'd still be disruptive. I think there'd so be too. people sitting around. This was, Gary, this was Gary Richardson's advice to me. He was like, you could sit in the back and quietly say what was. I would. Here's what I would say. Theoretically, if there were a position in which you could stand where no one else could hear you, but you could hear the sets clearly enough that you could relay them to your listeners, yeah. then sure, because it's not disruptive. And you, you don't also, think it's possible from that. I just day. don't know if in this room in particular it's possible. You guys are up third? Are we? When? Are we? No. Wait, what are you? We're, we're City Mouse. Then you're up first. It's your set we're talking about. I think. Oh, okay. So, I mean, so you have a vested interest in this. I don't want to ruin. Yeah, your set. although I perfect, I personally don't mind very much, but I do. I, but I, but you also I, don't I, I care more about the person. I don't mind. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, I didn't hold the microphone. Oh, okay. You just you're also are getting so many repeat guests. Oh yeah, it was yeah yeah once on the the yeah. twelve. This is so exciting. This is like the. I think yeah. Yeah, because you're in a long segment. You were in one of our longest guest segments, Sal. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, my name is Sarah. Do you care? Do you want to know my name? What? I'm talking to the... I'm talking to I think you're mic. looking at me in a way that... See, this is the very confusing thing about your podcast, which is that... It, in a good way, it sublimates itself into the environment around you so that you forget you're being recorded. But then Sarah's looking at me in the eyes, and I think she's talking to me when, in fact, she's just talking to the listeners of your podcast. So I thought she was talking to me, but she wasn't. I was a guest. I was a guest on. I was a guest on your show. Your show recently. The yeah. show you're involved in everybody's favorite game, game show. show. Yeah, yeah. I won the game show. I it won the money. A, it was amazing. Yeah. I, I didn't think I would. I don't usually. I'm not good at competitive things. No, you. I. You definitely. Scared the other contestants into not answering because I think they did know the answers. And they... No, the reason I won was because of your segment. Oh, really? The one where uh, the dog said things oh, and I had yeah. to translate what the dog meant. Yeah. I won that whole round. Can I ask yeah. a question? Yeah. Is JD recording while he's performing? No, I, I am holding JD's mic now. He's oh, just okay. enjoying being alive right, right. now. My, my recommendation 
only because, like I said, I think if there were a middle ground, there were achievable. You want me out of here. You want me out of here so bad. No, that's not true at all. All right. You guys like to bully me into thinking, into into taking positions I don't, am not taking. I don't want you out of here so bad. My recommendation would be that as a general ethical standard, I would think if there's a way for you to do it without inconveniencing or bothering anyone else in the audience, then sure. I just think you might be bothering people who are trying to watch the show. Maybe if you stood behind the behind the curtains. I wouldn't be able to see when you made a move, you know? Like, you could hear. I, would, I think he's being a waiter. We're, we're a really verbal team. We're going to explain everything. Minimal movement. So I think you could. That could be funny, though. If you are, if you're, if you're trying, if you're trying to hear the sets, but you can't fully, you can't be a hundred percent confident of what's going on. Would it be more audible if I'm behind there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know this. I don't know the 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 uh, the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, uh, so acoustics. Acu- for, thank you. Uh, I, I don't know the acoustics of this theater very well. Uh, I can't be sure. I don't. You know, it's it's, it's a gamble. Jessa, I do get nervous around you. You. Get nervous around you me. seem so much more grown up than I am, and I'm so late to this. Like, I should feel so much more grown up than you. <laughs> wait, what? I'm almost 40 years old, Sal. Sure, wait, why do you, but what? Why do you feel more grown up than I do? I don't know, like, or less grown up, I mean. Why, why do you, why? I don't know, like, I just feel like I. Honestly, and what just triggered this thought right now? I honestly, I had the thought that if you told me you owned a boat, I'd believe it. I would never even. I know you probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't, would you? I don't think ever in my life I'd own a boat. Probably. But do you? Would, you buy, would you buy it if I told you I owned a boat? Uh. You don't even need to answer. No, you know why? Time. You know, there's a, there's a separate contingency where I could believe it because there's a lot about your uh, personal like background and family history that I don't know. Maybe yeah. your family has a boat that they bequeath to you. I don't know that. You know, it's not because uh, you're from Missouri, and I assume. Oh, I could have inherited a boat. Yeah, you could oh, have inherited. But a boat. even then, like yeah. it all confirms what I'm feeling. Yeah. I just watched the show Bloodline, yeah. uh, that show on Netflix right. with uh, Kyle Chandler. Uh-huh. I think that's what made me think of it. Is if I was casting a show like that, I would cast you as, like, the Kyle Chandler part. You'd be, like, the smart brother who's, like, the local sheriff. Right. Who, I don't want to spoil what happens in that show. I haven't, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it. It's a tough, this is a tough call right now. Whether you I'm not going to spoil it. Okay. I'm not going to spoil it. But I wouldn't cast me as the Kyle Chandler part on any show. Well, I don't have that, I don't have that kind of, uh... When I play a, an authority figure, I think I only work as a, a bedeviled or a beleaguered authority figure, like an authority figure who's somehow like in over his head or uh, or doesn't deserve the authority. Hey, yeah, I'm curious what makes you think, what about me projects maturity? Because in most of my life, I think I'm essentially a man-child in most ways. My interests are all things that most other people would consider childlike interests. Yeah. Uh, um, I think I'm... Uh, uh, like I would love, like I, in a lot of ways, I still feel comfortably ensconced in my childhood. Yeah. In a way, in ways that a lot of other people would consider immature. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just you carry yourself in a way that, like, 
doesn't betray that? I don't know if maybe it's a, a desire to hide that or something. I don't know. No, I have no problem hiding that. I'm, oh. I'm proud. Maybe the level of comfort with it is what makes it, it seems that it comes off so maturity. So I'm, I'm mature about my Im- the immature aspects of my Yeah, you own it life. to an extent that it's right. like... Maybe that's what it is. Oh, I don't know. I, maybe I never get to the bottom of it. <laughs> you know? But you seem to own your immaturity actually fairly well also. Really? You just, you just articulated it in such a clear and precise way that it was very easily understandable to me and you seem to have a firm grasp on it. I don't know. I think the difference is I think your acceptance of it reads as a kind of victory and mine I think is sort of like a, a benign surrender. Like I think for me it feels like uh, uh, grace in the in the in the in the afterglow of a kind of defeat in my case. I don't know. Well what do you think is going to happen in this improv show tonight? What do I think is going to happen? Yeah. I think there are going to be some good sets. They're all funny It's all teams. flashbacks. It's all teams that are... I think the chemistry will be interesting to watch because I don't know if everyone still has the same sort of uh, yeah. chemistry with each other that they may have, may have once had when they were on a team together. That's always an interesting dynamic when you when you see it with very famous comedy groups that like get back together for a reunion right. thing to see like how long does it take for them to click back in, what's different, what's That's not. Right. That's right. Monty yeah. Python. They had did their you, reunion Did shows. you see any of that, uh, what they filmed of the reunions? I saw the whole documentary they showed at Tribeca. How was it? It was really good. It was great. It was very revealing in a lot of ways. Which was, And they were the, the best part about it was they were so honest about why they had done this whole thing, which is that they needed money. Did you see that uh, John Cleese and Eric Idle are doing a tour together? I did not see that. And they're very... Oh, bo- put this next to you so that's the... Okay. All right, great. Um... They're very open about the fact that almost all of their tour dates are in Florida, and it's just because it's cold in England during the winter, and they decided they wanted a vacation to be paid for. And so all of it is mostly shows in Florida. <laughs> I, I love how honest and forthright they are about it. Uh, but that documentary was great. And you know, it's interesting. They did all their sketches uh, for live audiences, and they and like they would do the sketches, and they say in the documentary there would be times where they weren't getting any laughs, and they were like, what's going on? Like, is it just that these sketches aren't as funny as we thought they were or that people don't remember them? And then what they realized was people, because everyone knows all these sketches already, so they were attending these concerts and viewing the sketches and not enjoying them as comedic pieces, but almost like pop songs. Right. Like just as they recited the lines, people would be... Like, they walked off, and a like security guard or usher or someone told them, like, people are in the audience reciting the lines along with you. Yeah. So it's weird to perform comedic sketches in a way where the expectations of them are more like the expectations of rock stars than of yeah. comedic performers. But people also aren't, if if they if you do that at a Bruce Springsteen concert, he can hear you, but no one's, <laughs> yeah. like, shouting out the cheese yeah, argument. They're, yeah, they're, they're doing they're it the very quietly. the cheese shop or the argument yeah. clinic. Yeah, right. Uh, argument clinic is my favorite one. It's a great one. It's one of those that uh, even just reading it, you can just like stare at how well constructed it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that kind of very tidy sort of logical. I like the uh, regressive logic in sketches. Yeah. Uh, I whenever I hear a sketch like that, I my first thought is always just like, oh, I would be too exhausted to ever <laughs> write something that fully. Like I think. My own instincts probably lean more toward like the fish slapping dance or something. It's just like yeah. oh, I thought of one thing. I, I definitely probably lean toward the weirder esoteric and more esoteric stuff myself, but I enjoy 
uh, trying to crack a very sort of like logical uh, sketch in that way, almost like like solving a math problem. Yeah. Like I wrote this sketch for Mod Night once that was uh, a, a sketch. It, it's a long. It was basically like two people come out and they are sitting in chairs and they're like bringing the next person for the audition. They and then that those two people are auditioning as casting agents and then they call two more people in. Two more people are auditioning as uh, casting in. It was this sort of logical structure and it had to build and unbuild and all of our meetings were just figuring out precisely how to like structure the layers of the sketch to in this pyramid like way to build all the layers and then to unbuild them. Yeah. And that was like that satisfied a part of my brain that the logical side of the brain that comedy doesn't normally satisfy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done anything that required that kind of comedy map. It was hard. And like architecture and all the it's like I think Eric Tenoy would be really good at that. Yeah, Eric Tenoy would be great at that. Paul Hines would be Oh, yeah. Like, anything that involves, like, a list and unpack it, Neil Casey. Like, <laughs> like just Casey be like, oh, be let's make this, let's build it up. Let's, all right, make sure it's structurally sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Will and Neil uh, wrote a sketch they performed last year that was basically, like... It was uh, about a guy uh, talking to uh, the, the father of the woman that he wants to marry, but then it devolves into an argument about... Uh, the superiority of landline telephones <laughs> over uh, cells, how they're inherently more stable, that they're built in the infrastructure, and it just evolves into an argument where it goes from being a very cordial thing about I'm going to marry yeah. your daughter to an absolute like, no, absolutely not. Not not if that not if that's what you believe. I think my favorite thing comedically, this is absolutely my favorite thing comedically, which is fighting over minutia or minor aspects of life where both people have very firmly held beliefs that are informed by real philosophies. Like, they passionately disagree over this incredibly unimportant thing. Last night in the Terry Withers mystery, Gethard was the killer. Yeah. And they got into a, a like a five minute argument about whether what was the inside of a belt and what was the outside of a belt, <laughs> and uh, where where the holes on a belt were punched from, the inside or the outside. And it was glorious just watching them passionately and seriously devote themselves to what a belt, the That's nature great. of a belt. So what are you gonna do now? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your. I'll be curious to see. Yeah. Do you want me to just give this to you? Um, do you think I should describe the improv quietly into the microphone, or do you think I should? Distracting. All right. All right, so I'm going to have to go out. Are you going to stay and record your laughter? Uh, I mean, you know what it'll sound like. <laughs> uh, uh. Hey, that sounds worth listening to to me. All right, I think I have to leave, or I'll disrupt the no, show. I understand. Right. You know? Hi, Bethany Hall. Welcome to 12-Hour Day. Oh, thank you. I gotta leave because I'll disrupt the show if I stay in here. I'll come out right after. Oh, sorry. All right. I gotta have a great, like your t-shirt. Have a great show. You'll never know what it is. No one. People have complimented, but no one said what my t-shirt is. All right. And I have now left the improv theater. Uh, maybe I'll. Hey, come back. Uh, you're out in the hallway. I think the show's starting. Does that mean you got to go in there? Yeah. All right. How are you in the hallway? You're in the hallway. I'm in the hallway. They're starting the improv show. Yes, correct. I think I might call a friend and put him on speakerphone or something, maybe. That could work, yeah. yeah. You could do that. You can, you can review the paintings in the hallway. There's a lot of paintings in this hallway. Yes, there are. They, they look pretty cool. It's nice to see you two days in a row, Ken Beck. It really is. It's a treat. And you did so great in the show last night. It was so much fun. I had an absolute blast because it's a Terry. I fucking love Terry. He's the best. And you guys are fun together. Oh, we're very fun. Hey, we're dark days. That's right. Don't forget. 
All right. I'll see you. Catch you on the flip side. Goodbye, Ken. Goodbye. Yeah, it was, it was voted down. Um, Sal's here in the hallway for the final thing. It was the idea of me sitting there. Everyone, as I went, I asked a few people. I was like, no. You Everyone said go. Yeah, I was like, leave. So I'm gone now. I may try to call a friend and talk on speakerphone. So cause I, already, I sat alone in the studio at one point when J.D. got a phone call earlier. And I just suddenly was like left in the Gether Show studio for like 30 minutes on my own. I think it might be the worst 30 minutes that's ever been on my house. <laughs> I talked about a book idea that I have for an Elvis Costello, a book about Elvis Costello album. <laughs> and then I talked about the nature of gun violence. And then I was just like, why would anyone listen to this? It was just like, it was just like how I didn't like gun it's culture. It's a funny social experiment. I would be fascinated to know if people are listening to it. Oh, I, one person is Godspeed. probably. Godspeed. All right, thanks, Sal. All right, well, now I'm in the stairwell. I'm going to try making a phone call and seeing what happens. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Let's see. I'll get my phone out. See if I can call Jeff Falzone. Now, let me do the uh, Google calling. Okay, Google. Call Jeff Falzone. Jeff Falzoni, mobile. Yeah. It always pronounces it that way. Hold on, let me see. Okay. Hopefully he'll pick up. Oh, it'd be so great if he picked up. Jeff. Hello, you've reached Jeff Falzone. Just leave me a message and I'll call you back as soon as I can. Thank you. Hey Jeff. Um, you're I was calling hoping hoping that you would be able to be on twelve hour day, but I guess you're not available. I'll try one more time. Maybe he'll pick up now. He's probably at work. Too bad. Let's see what happens here. Mm -hmm. Hello, you've reached Jeff Falzone. Just leave me a message nope. and I'll call you back as soon as I can. Thank you. Okay, hold on. Let me try uh, call Tom Levin. See if maybe maybe he'll pick up. T-O-M-11. All right, let me try calling Tom. Okay. What's Tom, dog? Uh, hey, Tom Levin, I'm going to try recording you for the 12-hour day podcast for a few minutes. Is that okay? Oh. What did you call me at the beginning? What's that? Did you call me Con Dog? Con Dog, yeah. That's a new one. I haven't heard that before. It is a new one, yeah. I thought I would uh, mix it up. Okay, well, that's enough content. Get back to work. <laughs> I'm sorry I bothered you. You guys are recording right now? Well, JD had to do an improv show, so I'm out in the hallway at Players Theater, and I was going to try to get some... 
I feel like I've talked by myself enough. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I would love to be on the 12-hour day and talk more. I just, I literally have 40 minutes to, like, finish this video and export it and run to UCB, so I don't feel like I can talk to you while I'm doing that. Okay, Tom. Um, I, Tom, I understand. It, it, that sounds like such a good excuse. I don't even care if it's true, you know? It's so... <laughs> It sounds so true. It sounds so true that I believe it. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, good luck with the good luck with the video, and I'll see you. I think on Monday, right? Yes, I will see you on Monday. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Great. Bye, Tom Levin. Okay. Bye. Good luck with the rest of the recording. Thanks. Bye. 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 I'll try calling my dad. That might be good, right? Well, who can I call? I can call anybody I wanted. Um. Let me try, I'll try calling my dad. Maybe maybe that'd be maybe that'd be good. Hold on. Or why would I call that number? Hold on. All right. Da 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 da. Try calling my dad. See what happens. far just striking out, you know? And what am I gonna do if I don't if I just spend twenty minutes calling people? <clears throat> Alright, I'll try to call my mom's phone, see what happens. <clears throat> Hi there, how you doing? Uh, I should tell you right away that I'm recording you. Why? Uh, well, we're in the middle of a 12-hour day recording, and JD's doing... And you an, ran short of stuff? No, JD's doing an improv show, so I'm out in the hallway, and uh, so I figured I'd call. I tried calling Jeff. There's no answer. And you, yeah. And you, you tried calling Dad, and he didn't make it to the phone in time? Yeah, that's right. Well, I was going to say Happy Father's Day, you know? Well, I let you, I let you say that. Well, I let you give it to you now here. Yeah, sure. We are in St. Louis. We're at the hotel by the airport. Yeah. And we leave tomorrow morning at 6.30. Cool. And um, we'll be gone all week. Gone all week. But you'll be yeah. reachable via email, though, right? You, we can email. We can, we'll have no cell, which Brian just found out. Oh, what? Because mm -hmm. when she has a bad day, she likes to call and have me... Uh, talk her down, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I said, I'll email when we can. They said, take plenty of pictures. They said, we, we may be very busy. We don't know. We, we'll be catching fish. Yeah. So, um, we, uh, yeah. So, we'll, we'll come back. We'll actually, we'll be going through Salt Lake City at some point tomorrow. So, I might, like, text you guys then. Yeah. And then, um... Tomorrow evening we will be in Vancouver, so we. Oh, but Brian says I don't have international uh -huh. on this phone, so I guess that makes a difference. Yeah. Unless they seceded from Canada and come down here. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we will we will um, 
we'll be back next Saturday, but you're you're not leaving the following week, right? Yeah, the following uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. That's I thought you said Tuesday, Wednesday. So, well, yeah, we'll we'll be home, you know, by uh, Saturday evening. Okay. Well, I'll probably talk to you during DC, during DCM at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. So, okay. So, hope all that goes well for you this week, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. And you have fun. Yeah. You know? Well, we have a, on two, on Wednesday night, we have a stepfather's reunion, 10th anniversary reunion show, so that'll be fun. Really? Yeah. Uh, I saw something that said that, was there a show with Amy Poehler and the four original guys? There will be, yeah. There will be, yeah. Is that coming up? That's during DCM, yeah. Oh, it is? Oh, wow. That'll be cool. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I'll let you talk to Dad then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Love you, Connor. Yeah. Love you, too. All right. Hey, Dad. Uh, just to let you know you're being recorded. This is on an episode of 12 Hour Day. Well, I'm, finally, you called me when I'm feeling good. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to that last time when I was sick as a dog and you kept recording. And yeah. I'm hacking and coughing. That was embarrassing. No, you did. Well, the, only embar- the only thing that was embarrassing was when you cut our interview short. <laughs> well, I, I was... I was half dying. I'm, I was sick. Hmm. So I try this again. All right. So you're doing a 12-hour day thing? Yeah, right now. Right now? We're yeah. in like uh, hour 10, I think. So uh, the Del Close thing's coming up this week, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the next weekend, this coming weekend. How many, how many shows are you doing this time? Uh, I think I'm in 15 shows. <laughs> 15? Yeah. <laughs> um, some of them are real yeah. short. Some of them are longer. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, hey, uh, I enjoyed the, uh, I didn't get to see the uh, the live stream of the Chris Gethard show, but I did get to see the, the show that went on. I think they're getting better. Each show gets better and better, and they're edited very well. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't, I still haven't seen this week's edited one, because uh, uh, I can't see them until they go up on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, but I thought it was very well done, and I really enjoyed the Seth Meyer one. I thought that was very clever and stuff. Yeah. What does uh, Chris Gethard's brother do? Um, I'm not, he's very funny. Yeah, I'm not he's sure. very good. I can't remember what his exact profession is. I, I, I thought it had something to do with financial writing or something, but uh, I could be yeah. wrong about that. I don't know. He's very funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a fun segment. Yeah. Um, so... So, have you worked up some new routines for the warm-up now? Oh, no, I have no idea what, what I'm going to do. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, are you uh, looking forward to your trip? Yeah. I, uh, this is all new to us. You know, I looked on the map where this is, mm-hmm. and it's a long ways north of Vancouver. We fly for 80 or 90 minutes in a jet, a regular commercial jet, then we land and we get on a helicopter and, and go out to this archipelago where the it's um, Queen Charlotte's Island. It's called. It's off British Columbia, so mm-hmm. it's a long way north. So uh, there's uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I think there's uh, half the population on this big archipelago is is uh, Native American Indian uh, the Herde tribe. I think it's called Herde, and then uh, the rest are. Canadians that have moved out there and stuff. So yeah. um, I think there's going to be like a hundred people at this place where we're going. There's yeah. fourteen or fifteen in our group. So how are you going to bring they, back the salmon you catch? They uh, flash freeze it. Mm-hmm. They cut it up into one pound size flash freeze. It. That's why we had to book first class tickets so that we could bring two or three extra boxes of the fish and stuff. Yeah. 
So, so uh, we bought that I'm whole afraid. you bought that whole freezer to keep it all the salmon I've you're going to I've got a freezer. I'm ready for several hundred pounds of salmon. I'm going to be real disappointed if I don't get at least a hundred pounds of salmon back in that freezer <laughs> because I already have commitments of people that want it. The Falzones want some, and everybody yeah. I know is asking me for fish. Yeah. And I'm going to wind up having to go buy cans of salmon and give it to them or something <laughs> if we don't get it out. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Don't give away all your fish. Uh, save, no. I would like some as well. I would also like some fish. Okay. I'll put you on the list. Yeah. You're, you're fairly low on the list right now, oh. actually, because you're slow getting in. Oh, well, sorry. you're high on mom's list, so you're low on my list. <laughs> I got commitments I've got to do. So. But um, we're going to drive the port fishing guide crazy because there's i think there's two of us the two of us and maybe one other person with one guide and he'll go crazy with us i'm sure so yeah. but with mom's back and my back i don't know how long we'll be out there on a given day and stuff but yeah anyway it was um, the heat index in sedalia today was 104 now Ooh. we've had rain almost every day since april 27th and today it was just no rain sunshine and hot so we're glad to go up there. I think it's going to be a high of 62, and the lows are down in the 40s at night. So it should be pretty nice to yeah. kind of get us to reacclimate to nicer temperatures, mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. So anyway, so you've got 10 hours done of your show. Yeah, I just got few more. And you're so hours. desperate to try to get the next two hours. You run out of stuff to say to J.D.? No, JD's in an improv show right now. I gotta wait for him to get done. So you're oh, so you're on your own. Doing yeah, I'm out this. in the hallway. Yeah. So, so you'd just be not talking to yourself if you didn't have me here to help you. Huh? Yeah, I'm already had to do that earlier today. <laughs> JD got a phone call. I had to talk for a half an hour. Um, yeah, so I'm calling you, everybody. Have you done any studies? Do you have any studies of how many people pay attention to this or follow it or have listened to the entire twelve-hour? I know there are, there are a lot of people who I think have listened to the whole thing. Some people, the people who are like in jobs where they're commuting a lot or they have a lot of time to kill, you know, they, you can burn through it pretty quickly if you have a lot of time yeah. uh, where you need to listen to stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. It just fascinates me that people will sit and listen. But I get you're right. If you're on a long commute, what else are you going to do? You know, well, you listen to radio or... What I find, shows what I, find I used to listen to podcasts when I was shelving at work, and now that I don't have, because I used to have like two and a half hours every morning mm-hmm. where I was shelving, and podcasts were um, better for that than music. Um, yeah. Because I would listen with one earbud in my ear and the other out so I could hear if there was an announcement or if there was something, a phone call or something. And music wasn't, I didn't want to listen to music with one earphone in, so it was actually like, it focused me while I was shelving that I could listen to news and commentary and things like that, podcasts. Sure. But now, that makes sense, yeah. but when I'm on the subway, I'm more inclined to listen to music. And uh-huh. I find I've fallen behind on all the podcasts I listen to pretty much because <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts in my apartment. I'm more likely to watch television or listen to yeah. it or put an album on or something on my record player. So well, uh, we're about uh, six episodes into Orange is the New Black. We've been watching like one a night yeah. or so trying not to use them all up yeah. until they do some I'm, I'm trying to check I need to check to see if they're going to do and the more of Pinky Blinders because uh-huh. I enjoy Pinky Blinders I enjoyed that show and they did two years worth and I think they're doing a third season but I don't know when it starts yeah 
a lot of the others have all ended, you know, with the uh, Game of Thrones yeah. finale and all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, now I think is it t- tomorrow night that, or tonight that the uh, True Detective starts again? Tomorrow night, True Detective starts. Yeah. Okay, so I won't see that. I, I forgot to mark it, to, but I can always catch it. I they'll show that. Also, you can watch it on, on demand. demand. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if it's going to be as good as the first one. They set a pretty high standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, I've only watched a few episodes of this season of Orange is the New Black. I've been going slow with it. Um, yeah. But I just haven't had time to burn through uh, it. Mike Birbiglia is on. He's got a real nice part on that. Oh, great. He's doing real well. Yeah, yeah. I heard of that. Um, but there's another show when you, if you run out of stuff in the summertime I just watched uh, Bloodline on uh, Netflix which is a uh, huh. Kyle Chandler sh- show uh-huh. uh, I think is you might en- I think you might enjoy it it's got a lot of good people Sissy Spacek is in it and Sam Shepard and huh. uh, yeah it's very good okay or I liked it well, I'll check that yeah I, I run out of things to watch sometimes you know for the, it's like that old country music so I'm not 57 channels and nothing on you know yeah, and yeah. stuff I've, I've seen a lot of the movies that are on the Netflix stuff yeah and uh, so I'm, I've been actually taping some of the things on TCM uh-huh. some of the old movies and just kind of going through them some of them pretty quickly but uh, yeah it, it's interesting watching some of those to, to see you know some of the characters that are on there and things like that I watched um uh, Man Who Would Be King again yesterday. Mm-hmm. I've I watched that about every other year, so it's one of my favorites. I think it's a shame that Sean Connery and Michael Caine only did the one movie together because they're so good together. Yeah. And apparently they had a lot of fun filming the show, but the history of it was fascinating. Uh, John Huston tried for like 30 years to make that movie. He wanted to make it back about 1940 with uh, Clark Cable and, Sp- and Spencer Tracy, and he couldn't do it. And then he tried again, he wanted to do it again, and I forget the second group that he tried to get. He couldn't get them. Then he wanted to do it with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, you need to get guys that are from, you know, the UK, that, you know, it's not Americans, it's Richard Kipling for pizza, you know. And so then finally in 75, he got Sean Connery and Michael Caine, and I thought they were, you know, it was worth the wait. Yeah, because it would it would have been a different movie with any of the other people in it. Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, um, but uh, it, it was it was fun to watch again. Um, we uh, for the Del Close Marathon next weekend. Did I tell you last year we um, when we did the uh, one of the segments? Uh, Sean Diston and I do our George Lucas and Jar Jar Binks. We do ten minutes of improv. Uh-huh. And but we start out last year by showing a clip from the clip from American Graffiti with Del Close in it, uh-huh. and uh, then we say that we're the only show in the whole Del Close marathon that actually features Del Close. <laughs> now you could do uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's but, in that too. Yeah, but we do that because it's George Lucas film. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, I see. Yeah. And uh, so we we got a big. I think we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again, yeah. Uh, Why why waste it? Yeah. Why waste it? Um, But uh, Gethard did the Terry Withers mysteries last night. He was the killer. He did. I was wondering who you were going to have as your guest star. Yeah. Uh, So that was a lot. uh, He's been on everything lately. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel and Conan and 
all that stuff. He's really plugging the show. I hope it works. Yeah, I think it, I think it will. He it's does been... a good job on those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw him on that game show that he was on, that comedian's game show, too. Yeah. And then, um, but uh, I said he, he's lucky that they're booking him because it's perfect timing to, to get him on to plug the show and stuff. So Yeah. Are you getting any feedback? Are people watching it? Or, I think uh, so, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen people like it. I think so, yeah. Uh, it seems like most of the response has been positive, and people, uh-huh. I, I think this week's show has Will Ferrell on it, and the people, he's going to marry three couples, and Will Ferrell's going to do the best man speeches. Oh, um, wow. So I think that that'll will be, be that'll, that'll be, be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm filming yeah. some sort of video on Monday, but they haven't told me what it is. Um, there's some sort of uh, field piece for the web for the Gethard Show that I don't know what it is, but I'm going to be filming it uh, all afternoon and all evening on Monday. Hmm. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are you getting a lot of uh, coaching? Are you doing some coaching or getting it? Um, this well get as much as you want to. I, so far, the next few weeks, I'm going to fall behind a little simply because I have uh, no one. Need, none of there's so much stuff that goes on during DCM week with like workshops and special classes and stuff that uh, a lot of groups don't practice during DCM week. Yeah. So I have a few practices this week, but not as many as usual. But I also. Yeah. Because I'm doing the video for the Gathered Show on Monday, that means another day of work for them so that I don't need to coach that day anyway. Yeah, yeah, and, that's good. And then then I'll be gone uh, uh, for two weeks after that, after DCM. And uh, hope I think I'll make enough money doing the short film. It's on like a SAG independent contract, so... Uh-huh. I think I'll make ah. a, I'll make enough doing that that I won't lose money um, yeah. doing it um, yeah. when I'm in LA. Well, that's what you want. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to take a loss on it, but you don't have yeah. to make a fortune. But yeah, yeah. yeah. that'll be a, quite an experience. You might. Uh, I was thinking about telling you. You need to uh, probably call your credit card company and just alert yeah. them that you might be over there and Let stuff. Let them know. Yeah. You got your, if you got your passport and all that stuff. Yeah, all I that guess stuff. You got that, that, I guess yeah. you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a, a time trying to get us our tickets to check in today. Or I tried yesterday. They said you could check in 72 hours in advance for international. Well, I thought, well, Vancouver going up there. So couldn't do it on online. So then um, we came down here and I went over to the airport and everything's closed. But they had the kiosk there that you could do. But there was only if you did carry on luggage. Mm-hmm. The guy said, well, what about? We each got a bag. We want to check. And the one lady that was kind of wandering by said, well, you got to come over here early and check it. Well, I came into the hotel and did it online and got it all done finally. Yeah. But everything's reserved, so we didn't have to. It's not like on Southwest where you got to, you know, you go by order that you check in and stuff. So yeah. we got our seats and everything. So I'm glad to get that out of the way. Yeah. So it'll be... Uh, Interesting. If I hope everything goes well, I you know you never know you, when you travel anymore. Yeah. If stuff, if you make it or not, if there's delays and stuff. But Sunday morning shouldn't be a real busy day. I think at six thirty in the morning. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. So yeah, so we're hoping that um, everything goes smooth. Yeah. I think we're meeting some people over at the airport that we know. 
that uh, they're going on the same flight with us, so that'll be nice to have you know four of us going together. Oh, so they're they're going on the same they're going on the same cruise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. They're going on the same fishing thing. Yeah. Um, are you going over to Japan with some people? Or are you on your own? Um, I think it'll be with the film people. <clears throat> oh, that's good. Yeah, that going to a, a country like that where you, you want to make sure yeah, it's good to have people with you because. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck all by yourself over there, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all arranged through them. I'll be in L.A. for a few days, and then I think we, we all fly over to Japan and then fly back to L.A., and then when I get back to L.A., I will... Um, You're going down to Comic-Con? Yeah, then I will uh, um, get a train or a, or a bus or something down to San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be pretty nice. Yeah. So are they, they're not part of Comic-Con, are they? They're just no, I, separate? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. but uh, anyway I uh, you probably need to get a full night's sleep tonight right you're up pretty early yeah we're going to be getting up I'll probably give 4 o'clock or so we'll have to get up to yeah pretty early to get over there yeah because um, I don't know I, you know, I don't think there's going to be big lines at yeah. 5.30 in the morning at, uh, yeah St. Louis, but you never know. You, you yeah. know, so you want, don't want to miss the flight. So yeah, yeah. So well, so uh, happy Father's Day. So is is JD doing uh, an improv show now, or yeah, what's he doing? He's in the theater right now. Is um, it's his old Herald team? It's a show of uh, old Herald teams reuniting, basically. Oh, oh that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad I, I, I that that Prince Diet book. I'm glad that it got there earlier than I thought because if I forgot that you guys were leaving Sunday, if I had arranged, if yeah. you arrived on time, you might have missed it. Yeah, it's, I've already read it. Oh, I just yeah. sat down. I read, it took me a day and a half to get through all of things because yeah. you know. But I went through all, of I, and at least you hang it. Yeah. It's to us thing, and it, and I, I turned the page, and that's and they said, well, watch for. Volume twelve, which was yeah. <laughs> <Gee whiz. laughs> left me so out, but it's so good. He, the the writing and the, the uh, drawings are just so beautifully done. Yeah, and the research he does because some of the stuff they said, uh, Prince Valiant stops at this little keep over there, and they said which still exists. You could still be in Cornwall or someplace, and you know he's done so much research that the stuff is still there. Yeah. And you could you could probably use that as a, a guide to go around some of the British Isles and yeah. see stuff. You know, it's really fascinating. It's really, I really appreciate you sending all that. Oh, yeah. You've got them all so far. Yeah. Great. You've got 11 of them. But, uh, so, well, I won't keep you either. I'm glad I got to talk to you before we took off. Yeah. And then I guess uh, we'll catch you when we get back because you'll, you'll, you, don't, you don't go for a couple of days before we... Yeah, we get back, yeah I'll, I'll, so. you'll get back right when I'm in the middle of DCM, and then I'll yeah. uh, I have two more days before I go. Then after that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, have a, have a good time. We'll try to have a good time. We'll let you know. We'll All take right. a lot of pictures and stuff. All right, great. Can I talk to mom again for okay. a second for you? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Love you, Dad. Hello. Tell Dad I said I love you. I, I don't think he heard me. Oh, okay. 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 He loves you. He loves right. you too. All right, good. <laughs> and he made my phone very hot. That's all right. Must have a hot summer, year or something. Summertime. Okay, right. sweetie, are you going to go back to do your thing now? Or uh, is your 12-hour day over? No, 12-hour day won't be over for another at least hour and a half, I think. Yeah. 
I heard Dad mentioning Babiglia. Have you caught up with that yet or not? Uh, I haven't. I'm only two or three episodes into it so far. I think he's about next, maybe. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. good. Okay. Okay, sweetie. All have right. a good week. You have Talk fun. To you back. Have fun. Be safe. I, I love you. Pardon? I will email you, okay? Okay, great. I'll email you, too. Okay, love you. Okay, love Bye. you. Bye. Bye. All right. What else can I do here? So those were my parents. Those were uh, just uh, just good phone calls, you know. Uh, yeah. I see. I I think from what I can tell, the um, improv set that was happening in there has. Uh, one team is finished, so I think that we're we're down one team, and uh, hold on. And now I think JD is finally doing his improv. Hello, you've reached Jeff Falzo. Oh, no luck. No luck. I really was optimistic that Jeff Falzone would make a cameo in this uh, episode of the podcast, but I guess it wasn't to be. It just wasn't meant to be. And that's all there is to it. Um, well, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? You don't know what you're going to do. Um, just looking through. Oh, maybe we have to call Will Hines. That'll be good. Um, see if Will wants to be on the podcast. Hi, Will Hines. Full disclosure, you're being recorded. Um, this is Connor. Uh, I'm in the middle of a 12-hour day episode, and JD is inside doing an improv show. Oh, I got it. Okay. Well, this is exciting. Yeah, so we're in about hour 10 and a half, I think. Oh, my God. You're in deep. We're in deep. And uh, I just talked to my parents on the phone for a little while. I've been, I've been stuck out in this hallway for a bit, so um, how's your day been? Yeah. And then I had met with John Flynn. You remember John Flynn? Oh, yeah. John Flynn's the best. And we are, John and I are writing, um, we're writing a movie of all things. Ooh, that's exciting. We, we were doing a They Might Be Giants jukebox musical, but in the course of developing that, we came up with this idea for a story we really like, so we're writing it. Instead. That's great. Do you think you'll ever return to the They Might Be Giants jukebox musical? Yes, I think it's very possible. So it's just backburnered. Backburner. It's a busy day, a productive day. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a busy day. Um, now, I'm, uh, now I'm home. i got to find someone to feed my cat while I'm in New York next week. Oh. How's your cat doing? She's good. Yeah. Yeah. Since the other one passed on, she's been needier. But I think but I, it's still good. Yeah. Um, is, is needy a good thing? Because I know they were a little standoffish before, both of them. Yeah, it brings them to a happy medium. Yeah. Um, I mean, behaves more like a real pet. Yeah. 
Let me ask this. I don't know if this is a question that you would have asked John Flynn because one of the things that I associate, I think some people know John Flynn for, is he uh, does very funny tweets during movies he goes yeah. to see. Right. Which is, it's a behavior that I actually, I, in principle, I don't like the behavior, but his tweets are so fun that it, right. it bypasses that, that judgment in me. Yeah, so you don't like rom-coms, but you still like When Harry Met Sally or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, the uh, or like I might not necessarily like prank shows in general, but I like the way Sasha Baron Cohen does certain. You know what I mean? Like there, there's like certain people yeah. who are like, oh, I like the way that this person does a, th a thing I don't normally like. Um, but I wonder when when John is writing a movie, is on some level it was, is his goal to write a movie that would he if he were watching it he would stop live tweeting because he'd get so engrossed in it or does he write towards does he write a movie that would be like this would be good for even a live tweeter would like this and keep tweeting good tweets he hasn't brought it up but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention that to him I think that'll inspire him okay uh, or what, like uh, how's this 12 hour day going I think it's alright I always feel pretty good about them I think there's some rough patches um, but I think what, what episode is this what episode number this is episode eight, I believe. Amazing. It's amazing. But it's only the second episode of 2015. Still, I mean, they're each, you know, if podcasts are, if an hour is, a, is enough for a normal episode of a normal podcast, it, you know, this is going to be episodes 12 through 24 all at once. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's uh, I think that the statistic that, um, that boggled my mind was when I realized that like any one episode of our show is l longer than an entire season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, um, that does put things in perspective. I think. Um, um, that you could watch all of season five of Game of Thrones, and and then st someone else could be watching, listening to an episode of this, and you'd finish all 10 episodes and then look over and the guy be like, yeah, I'll be done in a couple hours. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. Um, uh, any other special guests who've been on this episode? Yeah, well, right now JD is where I'm at the Players Theater and I'm in the hallway and Creature is reunited for a, sh a show tonight. There's a show that has that's like... Nice. City Mouse and Creature and Rizzo, I think, are the three teams. And oh, that's nice. So it's like a, a fun reunion show for people. And so we saw a lot of people in there, like uh, Sarah Burton and Sal Gentile and Corey Palmer, like people who've been on the show before. And we talked to Gavin and Samantha and, you know, uh, Steve Thyssen. It was just, like, nice to see a bunch of people. But then I had to leave because they started doing the improv. So I've uh, been out, out here in the hallway. Um, looking forward, looking forward to having you back in town this week. Oh yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to being in New York too. Um, I think, uh, I think the uh, FYI, I think the the Gethard show taping on Tuesday is going to be like at three in the afternoon. Um, if you're around, uh, unfortunately, I hate that you're going to not be able to do the uh, weekend team Herald night because uh, you'll be teaching. Right? Oh, yeah, I'll be teaching. I'm going to miss that. I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, on Tuesday night? 
You should uh, you should take your class to the to see it. Say this is your final lesson. I'll show you how. It's... Yeah, I didn't think of that. I love that night. Oh well. Oh well. But you'll have a show. I, that... I moved the I moved the Wednesday one so I could be anniversary stepfather show. So I got that. Yeah, there's a chance that Sylvia might miss all of them for some reason because of like f- vacation flight things or whatever. Um, oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's nice to have. Uh, three stepfather shows in a week, I think. That's an unusual situation. Yes. Um, um, I'm teaching a lot when I'm back. I'm doing like an intensive from 12 to 3, Monday through Thursday. Workshops Tuesday, Wednesday night. Stepfather show Wednesday night. A lot. Yeah. And, um, uh, Pencil and Terry Withers Mysteries, we definitely want you in that on Saturday night. Um, that's on at 9.45 at Chelsea. It's in my favorites on my DCMF. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got all my shows that I'm doing in my favorites. Um, last, last night, Gethard was the killer, and... Uh, one fun, really fun detail that happened was John Murray was in the show and we told him he could be whatever he wanted. And John Murray, uh, I, uh, he, they went to a Denny's where John Murray was undercover and he was Terry's former partner, like Terry's like first partner. Uh, but he's been undercover in a Denny's for 10 years trying to crack a drug ring. And the reason, the reason why they split up as partners is because... Murray wanted to be roommates with Terry, uh, and Terry was like, "I have a wife and a son. I can't move into your apartment, your two-bedroom apartment." Uh, and that was the fight that split them up. Uh, but we're gonna have. We were like so excited after the show, just saying like, uh, "We can now bring Murray back at, if we want to at a later point." Like he, I, I do like. Different people have appeared as characters that feel like natural, like recurring characters that we can be like, yeah, let's bring Terry's partner back for this one, his old partner. Yeah. Um, but Casey's the most insane one so far, though. I think it's definitely the one that has added the most uh, insane backstory to any of them. <laughs> uh, because as far as we're concerned, it's canon that <laughs> that Terry was switched at age six with another child as part of part of an ancient Chinese shaming ritual. Um, but Gethard, uh, Gethard last night, um, it was amazing because at one point, watching Gethard and Terry spar was amazing, but at one point they had this huge debate over what the nature of, uh, what was the inside or outside of a belt, which part was the inside and which part was the outside. Uh, and, but then at the end of it. Molly and Louie couldn't be there, so we had Ken Beck as the, as Terry's mailman who had a letter from Molly and Andre, from, from Deb and Andre. And, uh, but Terry immediately started questioning that, he said, Andre spelled his name right. And they said they loved me. And so he immediately started questioning whether it was a real letter or not. And <laughs> when Noah came in, Noah revealed that 
Gethard's character, the character uh, I can't remember his name. It had this long Gethard had this long Italian name, but that Deb and Andre had gone missing, and the, they were last seen uh, with uh, an Italian mailman, or so. It, it was basically a reveal that Deb and Andre had been kidnapped, and the reaction from the audience was like an audible, like oh, like like because that was the end of the show. Basically, it ended on that, and. There was an audible gasp of like couldn't believe, like as if it was like a real drama. That, um, but but I said afterwards to JD, I was like, we can't really deal with it because the next show is the DCM show, so we can't like have that show have continuity. That we have to just kind of have it be resolved between shows, you know. Yeah. Oh, it, Murph uh, just walked past me in the hallway. Um. Yeah. Everyone's going to use the bathroom, so I'm seeing some familiar faces walk by. Um, yeah, but uh, it'll be. Uh, we'll try and figure out a time while you're in town to hang out when you're not doing uh, workshops or um, yeah. other things. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there'll be time during DCM weekend, I'm sure, to, to meet up. Uh, I'm looking forward to the show with you and Anthony. Oh, me too. That's going to be great. And also wanted to try to find some time to hang out with Anthony because I didn't. Re- uh, the only time I really hung out with him was when we recorded the podcast. Was for the hour of your podcast. Right. Yeah. That's not. That's not. Yeah. Quality hangout time. Although you know, podcasts. In some ways, podcasts are uh, kind of more intensive versions of hanging out. You actually get. You actually learn more about the person sometimes if it's done in a podcast format. Yeah, that's true. I don't think I've done anything in our phone call now to moderate it to make it part of a podcast. Uh, in this phone call? I don't think so. Yeah, this is how what I would have said to you anyway. You've done very little translating for the because the people can't hear me, right? No, you're on speakerphone. I'm holding a little microphone up to it. So, oh, 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 okay. So oh, it, yeah. should, it should sound like a call, like a call, like a call-in show. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I've totally mistaken the logistics of this microphone. Yeah, I mean, it could sound like the Charlie Brown teacher. You know, it could be that I'm talking and then yours is a muddled yeah. blur. That would be my fault, not yours. Let me make this conversation super boring and alienating to anybody else. Uh, DC Pearson tweeted something today that delighted me. What was it? He said uh, he made a reference to War Games, and I, which made me happy because I love War Games, the yeah. movie. And he said that uh, if somebody hasn't named strains of pot after each of the bombing strategies attempted by the supercomputer in war games then you people don't deserve drugs I like that I like the formulation and I see what you like about that that's very elegant yeah he actually worded it better than whatever I just said but yeah it just made me think about how at the end of war games the supercomputer is figuring out how to bomb the whole world and you see it trying out all these different strategies on a screen. Yeah. And uh, it's true, the names do kind of sound like pot names. Yeah. Like Sudan, Surprise, Turkish <laughs> Heavy. Uh, Turkish Heavy is a good one. I think even Far East Strategy kind of could sound like a pot yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, NATO First Strike. Uh, <laughs> funny. I like it. It means you go look up on the internet the list of them, and I just kind of read that. That's fun. 
That's great. Didn't you you reference war games in an episode of your podcast, right? Where you were talking about um, the way I think this must have been you, the way that they actually DefCon one, two, three, four. Yeah, they get that backwards. It's backwards because it sounds better the other way. Yes. Uh, I think it was, I think I forget why I brought that up. But I think it's because Anthony got something wrong, or somebody got something wrong in a podcast, like yeah. a fact wrong. Yeah. I don't remember what that was, but mm. uh, I'm really enjoying uh, me and Anthony's podcast. That's great. I'm a, I'm a couple up. I think I'm like two episodes behind now on it. Well, I'm uh, like six episodes behind a twelve-hour day. Yeah, but that's like being uh, way more. That that's a lot more episodes if you take it realistically. I'm like, yeah. uh, I listened to the entire first two episodes and half of the third one. Mm. I left in the third one when it was just audio of you two eating a meal for like six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Bill. ask you this question. Can you think of a hit song in the past 40 years about pizza? Okay. About pizza? About what? Pizza. Wow. Uh, no. Isn't that... Ninja Turtle got a novelty song in the top 10. Isn't that insane? It doesn't even need to be top 10. I'd settle for top 40. I don't think... Isn't it strange the way we, the way we limit what our pop songs are about that. Well, there's very few pop songs about food that are in the top ten, except for like Weird Al Yankovic parody. But why? Why is it that but you don't have a song about like how great a you know macaroni and cheese is? Yeah, and everybody loves macaroni and cheese. And if yeah. there, and also if there was a song about macaroni and cheese, it would be a sex metaphor. It wouldn't just be about macaroni and cheese. I don't know. I, I think that the only genre of music that might do it is uh, country music. Literal. Yeah. Country music has songs about beer. Yeah. Just how great beer is. It wouldn't like, be. Country guy just being like. Macaroni and cheese. I'm getting out. Yeah. Forget women. Forget your. You know. Forget your mac and cheese. Yeah. Forget your women. Forget New York City. I'll be fine down here in Texas with my mac and cheese or something like that. Yeah. Um. But as far as, like, pop songs, as far as, like, the Billboard Top 40 chart, it's so strange that you just don't... No one considers writing a song about so many basic things. And and it's just the fact that, like, it would seem like pizza is the most popular food in America. You'd think there'd be one song. There'd be one song. Cause, especially, especially when these stars get really fat, like... Brian Wilson got really fat for a while. He probably was eating a lot of pizza and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, he wrote a song about vegetables. Yeah, it's one of the only ones I can think of about food like that. Um, Ludacris has chicken and beer. Yeah. I also might not be aware of it, but I don't. I don't think. I think it's weird that there was a hit song about the identity of the person who let some dogs out, but we don't have a hit song about pizza. Well, yeah, all songs 
call songs are about either love or dancing. Um, yeah. That's, the, that's like 80% of them, right? And then, yeah. I don't know, I guess there's like, let's do something with our lives, like just generally, like vaguely inspirational songs. Yeah. Like, let's, you know, let's go for it kind of songs. Yeah. I feel like there's he, like story, lots of story songs about like people getting shot or like. I feel like Huey Lewis could have could have gotten away with it. Like Huey Lewis probably could have had a hit song about yeah, pizza. Yeah, he's so happy and like. It's pizza time. Like I don't need to be complicated. Yeah, I just want a little pizza time. Like you can imagine, yeah, Huey would have written a like a fun ode to pizza if he put one on sports. Yeah. If he'd put one on the on the sports album. That would have been something. That would have, that was our moment. We missed it. Uh, I mean, that sports album was pretty great. I think so. Um, hey, what? What? There's very few songs about food. Period. Yeah, there should be a hit song about what do you want to eat for lunch tomorrow? What do you want to have for lunch? Yeah, or just like. What are you eating over there? Like, yeah. so many people are curious about, like, what other people are eating. Yeah. How about when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's some more. That's before or for, I'm talking this, these, well, that's what I was saying before is that I think that, I was trying to think if there, I'm sure there are songs that I don't know about this, but I can't think of a big one about how people are always on their phones now. But yeah. if, if, Cell phones had been invented back in the 40s or 50s. Frank Sinatra would have definitely sang a song about people being on their phones. You know? Yeah. I don't know if there's not a song about people watching television. Uh, TV is the thing this year. TV is the what? There's a song, uh, Dinah Washington sang a song called TV is the thing this year, this year. TV is the thing this year. Radio was great, but now it's out of date. TV is the thing this year. Uh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I only know, um, that, I only know that because uh, Elvis Costello played it when he was DJing on a radio show, and he started playing it in concert recently. Well, for something that was the smartphone of its generation, there's not a lot of songs about it. I mean, that definitely changed the landscape and changed everybody, you know? Yeah. Hey, uh, JD's out now. Uh, say hi to Will Hines. Okay. I hope this works. Hey, Will. Hi, JD. How was your show? Uh, it was, it was really bad. <laughs> he's smiling from, he's grinning from ear to ear, though. It's, it's a show that's all teams that were, uh, uh, defunct, have, that were cut from house teams. And, the ten, the tenor of that going in, the tenor of that going in is not about reclaiming glory, but basking, it seems, in the failures. So, so far, all of the sets have been uh, more like, "Yep, this is why we, uh, this is, <laughs> this is the worst parts of us." I bet City Mouse cleaned up. Listen, um, uh, Fifth Guy says here he's gonna say hi. Hold on. Who is that? Yo, what's up, boy? Who is this? This is Phil Jackson, boys. Yo, Phil. Phil. How you doing, man? Yeah. Phil, you're on 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor. What's, what's up, Connor Radliff? What's up, J.D.? What's up, Phil? Swerve. Chilling. We never caught up the other day, Phil. I feel bad. I'm sorry. Wait, what happened the other day? I don't, it was like a month ago. We were texting. I was like, oh, let's catch up on the phone. We never did. Oh, that's all right, man. You know I'm not good with 
with that shit anyway. Okay. How are you doing, Phil? Text is very fulfilling. Uh, I'm doing well, man. I just got some groceries. Uh, Did you get them down at that Albertsons? Yeah, I went by the Albertsons, son. Got a little bit of popcorn. Just some snack food, you know what I mean? How are your couches doing? I was there when Phil bought new couches. Dude, you saved me, dude. <laughs> you saved me because I almost bought a couch that was too big for the apartment. And you were like, yo, T, you need to check these dimensions. And the dimension, like, hit the... The sliding door. Yeah. Phil's, That's Phil, all you, huh? Phil and Will have been slowly building their apartment. Will's cats are not fans of mine, though. Yeah, well, one of them's dead, so, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was awake when it... Well, I was woken up by, like, no, not like this. Not like this. I opened the door, and I'm sorry, Will's in the He's holding the cat, and, you know, we both think it's choking, right? And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? So I'm like trying to scoop out his mouth so Will does that then he turns it on his stomach and tries to push it push his stomach so like it must be choking on something but then after a while I was like I don't think that thing's choking I think I don't know I think something's up I think it was just time you know what I mean? Whoa So I, I you know it's crazy it's actually crazy seeing an animal die it's really really freaky yeah. it is Which one it was it? The tiny one the one that looked healthy What the tiny one? <laughs> Yeah, man, the fucking spy one was the one that, like, had a heart issue. The tiny one was the one that I thought had some potential to be a friend. Yeah, the tiny one was the one that, like, went to my room, hopped on my bed, and, like, let me touch it once. Yeah, the big the big one was the one that, when I'd sleep in your apartment, would peer at me at night, and then I'd wake up and look at it, and it would throw up, like, at me. <laughs> yeah, 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 she don't play. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell Will that? <laughs> no, I only think I, I only think I saw Will briefly, and I, I didn't want to be like, oh, thanks for letting me stay at your apartment for like a month. Also, your cats like throw up anytime they see me and like stare at me while I sleep and like. Uh, I gotta tell right now. I should have bought a fan today. Um, so, what is it, Mopey? Mopey. <laughs> you don't even know the name of the cat, Bill. No, Jenny wake up in the middle of the night. Hopey would be staring at him. <laughs> stare at him and then just throw up. <laughs> dude, she doesn't give a fuck about anybody, dude. Anybody but Will. Yeah. Alright, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give you back, man. Uh, it's, it's good, good hearing from you, JD. Connor, uh, we didn't talk much, but it's, always, it's nice to know that you're there, man. Are you gonna be around this weekend, Phil? Uh, yeah, I'll be there for DCM. I'm, I'm gonna be there Friday morning. Great, I hope to see you. Yeah, man, I'll definitely see you. Alright, cool. All right, gentlemen, have a good podcast. All right. Thanks, dude. Bye. Bye. See ya. Hey, guys. Hey, Will. Hey, Will. Uh, that's so funny about Hopi. She just vomited in front of you? Yeah, well, like, at night, you know, because I'd, like, sleep on that pull-out couch, and I'd, like, I'd hear some weird noise. I'd wake up, and she'd just be on your desk staring at me. And then I'd be yeah. like, whoa. And then she'd just, like, yeah. throw up, like, almost as, like, a what up. Okay. I'm making you uncomfortable right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's not a well-adjusted animal. Um, I'm sorry about that. Did you know Phil and I tried to cat whisper both your cats? Yes, you made some progress, I think, right? Yeah, we learned a lot of stuff from Jackson Galaxy. We would watch an episode uh, of the Cat Whisperer, the Cat Wizard, yeah. or whatever his name is, and then we'd try it. Uh, after you guys um, told me about that, I bought her more toys, and I've... Uh, I play with them more now because of that. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. Jackson also believes that they need an ab- above-the-air runway uh, system to live. And I remember Phil and I uh, tried to arrange the couches in such a way so that your cats could get some height up there. Yeah, um, I have heard that, and I'm not able to easily provide that for my cat. But... Yeah, yeah, your apartment isn't great for that, but that's also that's. I feel like there's there was some s- small progress made, at least when I was there. Yeah, uh, it inspired me at least. That's and since and since one of the cats died, uh, which was that weird experience that Phil just described, the other one has become more affectionate. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And how's other stuff, Will? Everything's good. I, I don't really have any bullet point news or whatever, but things are things are nice. Things are good. And you're going to be in New York for DCM, so we'll see you then. Yeah, I'm excited. We're gonna... And I'm honored to be on 12-hour day. Yeah, and we'll, we'll... It's great to have you, Will. I would... We'll, I uh... Like, yeah, I would like listeners to rally for me to be on more episodes with hashtag 12-hour Will Hines. All right. All right. Hashtag 12-hour Will Hines. Let's get Will on some more episodes. Uh... Also, we should have people tweet at Will Hines to listen to the remaining episodes because he's only halfway through episode three. And he said he gave up when there was a six-minute scene or whatever. There's six minutes of us just eating quietly. And he said that was insane to listen to, and so he stopped. Well, there's a period in the latest episode where Connor leaves me to talk by myself, and instead I opt to silently eat pizza. But I will say, some people have told me that is their favorite section to just hear the sounds of New York City as I quietly eat. So that's my rebuttal to any criticisms of that section. Plus, if you don't like that six minutes, you got like 12 more hours to listen to. It's such a small percentage of the final piece. Yeah, it might not have been six minutes of you guys eating, but I was driving along and just listening to food being eaten, and I was like, (laughs) I'm done with it. That's fair. What we should do is we should have Will record separate private time that we can instill. The next time we need private time, we should have Will do it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just a little segment from Will. Yeah. Don't think about it. I'm up for it. If you guys think that's right, I'm up for it. Yeah. yeah. Private time with Will Hines has a good rhyme not, rhyme scheme yeah. to it. Yeah. Private Hines. Uh, I would do Willie Hines. I like the rhythm of Willie Hines. Private time with Willie Hines. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, well, we'll make that happen. And let's not forget that all of this is brought to you by Stamps.com. Uh, proud sponsors of 12 Hour Day. If you, I mean, it's great. You print out your postage wherever you want. Go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and put in the pro, put in the promo code. Um, 12 Hour Stamps. 12 Hour Start Stamps. Mark Brumby. Yeah. And Audible. And Audible. Yeah. All these great books. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, ForbiddenDungeons.net. Um, if you're yeah. looking to get into the dungeon community, go to ForbiddenDungeons.net. Click on the microphone on the top right corner, put in the promo code Connor Ratliff. Connor Ratliff. Connor Ratliff. Three times. And you get 30% off your second purchase. Um, I'm going to try all those things. All right. Great, Will. That sounds good. Well, see you soon, Will. Have a good rest of your episode. Thanks, right. Will. We'll see you this weekend. Bye, Will. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. There we go. So, did you have fun in there? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was awful improv. Um, that's all right. I talked to both my parents and then Will. Oh, really? Well, because my parents are going on that uh, 
salmon fishing trip tomorrow. So um, if I didn't talk, their flights like at six in the morning, and they won't have phone service for the rest of the week. So I realized it was actually ideal because um, I really like this photo. Made that my uh, oh, that's a great my, photo. I made that my what do you call it photo on Facebook. Um, that was one of the Andrew photos. Um, um, I uh, yeah, if I if I hadn't had this break to talk to them, I would have missed my window, and I wouldn't have been able to talk to them until next weekend. Right. Get I would have been able to email them, but I never did. Is it gone? It is. Great. It's a miracle. I did. It did occur to me at one point, but I was actually worried that I might. I wouldn't know what I was looking at, and if I jostled it or did anything wrong with it, then I was worried that it would. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to repair it. Uh, do you want to start heading back? I want to grab a slice of pizza, and then we can hit that subway. Hit that subway because we're close. That yeah. was really not a good improv show. Um, are you glad I didn't stay in and just do commentary over? Yeah. It? Not to the detriment of uh, the any of the members that performed, but but to the detriment of the our podcast. No, I mean, like, I'm not saying that, like, it was a bad improv set, not because of anything except for the fact that yeah, it just, we did that improv. No, I might get an artichoke yeah, slice. Where's that at? Right next there. Okay. Um, and then I'll walk into the other place. Yeah. What well, was the New uh, York City pizza tour? Bathroom. Maybe you should have done that in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a bathroom. Maybe I, you know what? What? How about this? What? I'll go use the restroom. Yeah? Uh, thank you. Uh, I'll go use the restroom. Yeah. And I can just talk. Okay. And do you want to go to your pizza? Oh, uh, your pizza place from far. Not real far. All right, we'll just wait. Wait outside the, here, I guess. Okay. Can you, can you turn your lob to mute? Yeah. Or wait. Actually, I think what I have to do is do it here. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. You're that one, right? Let me yeah. see. Yeah. Um, okay. Ooh, I maybe need battery, right? Oh, yeah. Didn't I, already, didn't I already change your that one? No, I don't. Oh, no, I didn't ever, did I? That's a good moment, too. Yeah. Sure. Great. All right, I'll be back. All right. They deplete Michigan. All right. Yeah, we did, uh, not great. We did some not great improv there. But it was a f- fun to see all those guys again. And it was not great not because of them, but just because... The sh- sh- you know, the show was not set up to... I mean, we just did bad improv. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that I spent so much of this podcast not on it. But that will change, I swear. And I think there's some episodes where I am on it more. But, you know. Few and far between. This is the sound of me urinating. That weird sound, me saying that, can be the thing that you use when I try to run for office. 
show how what a weirdo I am. Um. Okay. Good to go. Checking text messages. I'm really bad at this, huh? I'm not good at this podcast thing. That's okay. All right. Walking down the stairs here at... uh... I can't finish this goddamn sentence, can I? I'm going to put this under my shirt. Less obvious. Okay. Did you scope out the pizza here? Not, your, not your jam. Uh, I they have. My, they have non-artichoke also. I Should I just get pizza here? No. If you're, you 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 like that other place though. I do like that place. So let's just go there. We'll go, do you like artichoke pizza? Well, no. We'll both go there. Let's go to. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to stop you. No. Yeah, I don't know what to do with those. Yeah, I never know what to do with batteries. Uh, I collect them and then bring them to a place. Yeah. Alright, let's go to your place. Yeah, I'm not in the mood for it though. Uh, this is one of the few streets in New York where you are not allowed to get a permit to film. You're not allowed to film? So you can't film here and it's you can't get a permit to film here either. Oh, why is that? Uh, because it was overused. And the community basically was like, you need to stop letting people shoot here because everyone just wants to shoot here. Because if you see, like, basically if you look down here, it's a very closed off, easy to shoot area. Well, it's like there's that street in Chinatown. Yeah, it's exactly, see, like this right here. It's like a soundstage. Right. That um, the Project Greenlight Shore that I was in opens on that street. Right. I then saw it. In- Wait, you, did you unmute yourself? Oh, no. Okay, sorry. That's just been JD's half of the conversation. Well, I can't unmute myself because you muted me. Ah, damn it. <clears throat> Fortunately, most of that was just you talking. Yeah, we're good. Sorry, guys. I muted Connor. That's all right. Um, I was just telling the podcast, too, how bad I am at podcasting. Yeah. I've been very... I, You know, I will admit that today, I've been so tired from work that I was not looking forward to recording today. Yeah. Not because of you or the podcast, but just like... Yeah, I understand. Having, I wanted one less thing on my list, but I knew that if we didn't do it, there was no way that I was going to... Yeah, we could be autumn before we got another one. Exactly. Um, So I feel like I've been very like, not, usually I have a little bit more gung-ho quality. Isn't this, isn't your place right there? Yeah. Yeah. but I feel, and then like when I was like, great, I'll take it alone. I was just like w- wandering and I was like, so I'm walking and uh, I was like doing stuff like that. I was like, I'm so bad at this. Uh, I feel like I've been like that a little bit too. But um, maybe this will be everyone's least favorite episode. And maybe they'll cancel us. Oh uh, man. If only. The. Uh, okay. 
But that, so that street, uh, I was saying that, that there's that street in Chinatown that's, that's uh, the Project Greenlight tour I did right. was on that street. And then I saw it on Broad City, and then I right. saw it in Person of Interest, like within like right. two weeks. Yeah. Hi there. Um, can I get uh, two plain slices and a bottle of uh, Coke? Take it there. Cool. All right, thank you. And can I get two plain slices and a uh, Stewart's orange and cream? Yeah. Perfect. Improv was bad in the show. Was it still fun to do? It was a lot of fun. It was really fun to see all those guys and like tell dumb stories about our team before the show. Is that a regular reunion show? It might be. Who organized it? Rizzo, I think. It's a fun idea. Problem is, there wasn't much of an audience, and the tenor was sort of like. Well, these teams are bad. So I think we all went out and like fulfilled that promise of like, well, we're not really gonna try. Uh-huh. <laughs> Me included, you know. Yeah. Well, it's um, I'm trying to think how many people, like a lot of people from Dance Break or Captcha, are not in town anymore. Is Ryan the only one from Ryan and Allison? We're in LA right now. But normally Allison would be in town. Mm-hmm. Just because it's summer. This is the part of, I guess, Will Hines Beats. Uh-huh. Pizza time. Pizza nights. Pizza nights. The only... I asked Will the pop song, the pizza pop song question. The only one he could think of was um, When the Moon Hits Your Eye Like a Big Pizza Pie, that's Amore. But that predates the challenge. Right. Thank you. 
Um, tweet, tweet at Will Hines. Hey, Will Hines, you want to come to a pizza party? And then hashtag Pizza Hines. Yeah, do that. Or you could hashtag it. Heinz, Heinz Bros Pizza Co. Or Will Pizza. Any, any or all of those hashtags are acceptable. When's the last movie you saw that I've seen? Um. Man, it's been sort of a while. I think I saw a doctor recently. What? I saw, saw a doctor recently, I think. I can't remember what, though. Oh, I think I remember you mentioning something. Not monocomino. No? Something else. I forget what it was, though. I haven't been able to see too many movies lately. Especially the IFC. I only go to my, the one near me in Astoria. Yeah. I just haven't had time. What theater is that in Astoria? United Artists Kaufman Astoria. It feels like a mall megaplex. Mm-hmm. Do they show any Indies? Any what? Indies? No. It's like yeah, it's like an IMAX theater. It's like huge. What? It's like a mall megaplex. Uh-huh. It's a part of a story that is sort of like a mall. Mm-hmm. There's like an Uno's pizza and an Applebee's and very suburban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the change, the change, the dollar, the change, the change, the dollar. So, yeah. I'll do this in the middle of the night. I go, well, I'm going to go see a movie. Right, right. I don't have anything. I can't really, I don't have the time to come in and see a movie that's like in the city. Last movie I saw was Mad Max. Um. Which, I talked to a couple of people after Mad Max. Um. I do think when you're trying to kill me, you're trying to kill me. That would be an example. Remember, we kind of touched on this before of how to answer that Cohen's question. That's one way that I perceive a change in myself. That, like. It doesn't annoy me that people loved it when I was just fine with it. Right. Like, it doesn't make me feel excluded. 
I'm not like outraged that it's like happened to me like that that much. Right. Um, and I think there was a time when having that kind of the same opinion, like arguing the point of it, was fun. But it, it's not a thing that would get me wrong that time anyway. I think the only way it would rile me is if it got to a point where it was like it felt like it was affecting me in some way. Like if there was a show that was like suddenly came on the scene that felt like it was a rip-off of the Gathered show but it was less good and it became hugely popular that would be an instance where I would take it personally and be like hey you know like we had this show and it was more like this but but the thing you'd be mad about was less that people liked it and more that they ripped us off. That's true. I mean, like, I do have that ongoing disagreement with Rob Malone. About what? About... But it's, it's entirely good natured and fun. The way that I tend to, I lump the second two Indiana Jones movies together and the first two together, and I have a, I have both a slightly higher opinion of the last one than he does, and a slightly lower opinion of the third one than he does. Right. They, they are, to me, they're three is definitely better than four, but they're closer in my estimation than he would have it. And he doesn't like when I dismiss the third one as Frazier with Nazis. Right. But it doesn't bug me that that's a lot of people's favorite one. You know? Right. Like I'm glad. I would rather that than have everyone agree, like, oh, we were all disappointed in the third one or whatever, you know? I wasn't disappointed. It just isn't. That movie isn't as much fun to me as the first one. This guy. It is weird how kind of along the same lines as watching like Good Morning Vietnam for the first time here and right now here and now and how him chasing the woman around comes across as stalkery and creepy. Right. What? Comes across as like not stalker creepy, but more like fucked up racist American point of view. Yeah. Because my feeling is that when that movie came out, I bet almost no one commented on it. And no. I bet if it came out now, it would be a major point of it. Yeah. But I also wonder if, like, the moment in Raiders Lost Ark where the guy pulls out the sword and waves it around and then he shoots him, which is, like, one of the big laugh lines in that thing, would that play now? That movie probably wouldn't play now. The what? That franchise probably wouldn't play now. Yeah. Midwestern hero kills non-white people. 
I guess the Nazi like an alternate translation of the title in some way. I guess the Nazi one is a little more. Yeah. Not that big, but like. That one is very much like. They're in a turban, so they need to be shot, you know? Um, yeah, it's a very. Um, What time do we start exactly, do you think? Today? Did we? Yeah. Noon? Or you think after? I think it was afternoon for some reason. Should we stroll over to an N and then take the N to Queensboro? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can walk slow too. Yeah. It's a nice night in New York City. I'm drinking a Stewart's cream and orange, which is really good. Mm. I just drank a Mexican Coca-Cola. I almost never drink soda anymore, but there are a few locations where I will. One is every now and then, uh, Tom Levin and I will sometimes come see Midnight Movie at IFC. Yeah. That uh, Frequently, that's the only time when the two of us have had, like, coinciding schedules to be right. able to hang out. So I'll be like, hey, do you want to go see Midnight Movie? And then we'll usually get a slice of pizza there. And because... It feels like a special occasion. I'll get a Mexican Coke there. And the other thing is I'll get a, a soda usually when I'm at Shakespeare's Pizza in Columbia, Missouri. Just as a special occasion. So pizza and soda go together for you? Yeah. To me, it's kind of like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and milk. Uh, Wait, is that a thing? Yeah. Like, I, I can't really eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without milk. I mean, I can, but I don't like it. I don't like to do that. Interesting. What are they playing right now? Right now, what's their midnight movie? Uh, Scream. Oh, House. Ah, oh, man. That would be so much fun to see. What's House? Is it house, is, house is actually one of my favorite horror movies from oh, yeah? the 80s that my dad and I would watch. Uh, it's about this guy who's a writer who moves into this house that is haunted. And the ghosts tap into his uh, Vietnam experiences. Uh-huh. So it's like weird monsters, but also like military stuff. It's a really weird movie. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's good. It's like classic, like jump scare with like really good monsters. Uh-huh. And also weird <laughs> Vietnam undercurrents. Yeah. So like all in all is like a fun, perfect that genre. Yeah. Um, I hope today wasn't too exhausting for you. I think we had a pretty relaxed time, but I know you probably would have been benefited from just sleeping. Yeah, but it's all good. All is well. This ain't a hard thing. Um... Ooh. What? It looked like animals scurrying back. It was just shadows. Um, Let's walk through the park also. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, do you... Answer me, riddle me this. Yeah. The thing that I'm filming on Monday, will I be outdoors or indoors? Uh, to be determined. Okay. Uh, will I be wearing my suit or do I need to wear something else, do you think? 
Uh, your suit would be good, I think. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, I... Yeah, I... I'm trying to think. Uh... Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Good. So you're going good? Yeah. All right. Um, I am, it's been very interesting, just the, uh, processing the last couple of months, because part of me feels like, uh, I'm still transitioning in terms of, uh, getting used to the mindset of not having a regular like, I do have a regular schedule in the sense that I have a weekly gig doing the yeah. warm-up. Um, and I've been pretty... Um, I think I've been a little difficult for my commercial agents because I've been pretty emphatic about, like... There's a cab coming, Sitch. About not, uh, not wanting to audition for stuff that would mean uh, missing some of these because, like, there was a thing that they wanted to send me out for that would have filmed in LA all this week. And right. I was like, that's not, like, I don't care. Like, it's a sh- short term, like, the money would have been fine. Right. But it would have been like, uh, I don't want to miss. I got all these shows during DCM week. A lot of, it's not, like, I don't do these shows for networking purposes, but there right. is a, there's an element of, like, I feel like it'd be better to do this, to do the warm up on the day that Will Ferrell's there, even just as an experience. I'd rather have that. Yeah than uh, go to L.A. and film a commercial for five days. Yeah, I, I think that's you know, probably a good decision. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't. I probably wouldn't have booked it, but I was like, I'm not even interested in auditioning for it. I don't want to be put in a position right. of uh, them being like, well, you booked it, it's, you know. Right. Um, but I feel like uh, my general feeling has been that... For now, for the summer, like, I'm sort of like, this is what I want to be doing, you know? Right. And the, I'm, I would have been sad if I, like, I would have been sad if I was, for some reason, not available to be around during the summer to do this, because it's been uh, such an important thing to me being connected to the show all the way from when we finished the parentheses class. Right. That... I think I would have been really sad, even if it had been for a big opportunity for something, I would have been really sad to um, not be uh, around while this was happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, Because it does feel like whether or not it goes forward to more things or whether this summer is the thing or whatever, you know, like it just feels like uh, everybody's really stepping up and proving like, oh yeah, this is like, this is what it's like. This yeah. is what this version of it is like, and it's really satisfying. Yeah. Oh, I know one thing I think I can reveal. What's that? What we couldn't talk about in the last episode, I think, was the uh, the job that I was uh, very close to oh, getting. Oh, yeah. Have you well, seen any of those? I've seen all of them, and I always think about that. Let's see. This is your last chance to guess. Connor was going to be the spokesperson for a very well-known brand. Or I was close to it. I was as close as I think I could have gotten to it. Uh, 
And and it was given away. It's something that fits Connor's personality type. And Connor, do you want to do without giving away any of the keywords? Yeah. Your vocal version of what you're going to do with that spokesperson. Uh, well, I could talk about it in a general term. I talk about the way that uh, down home we do things a little different. And uh, I think I would have been pretty good. That's right, folks. Connor was. Uh, very close in the running. Down to the last, last person few, or two. I think. Yeah. For the role of Connor. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders from uh, KFC. Which I'll say this. I got I got very close to uh, I thought when I was auditioning for him, like, well, I don't know that I'm he's a much older man right. than I am. I was like, it feels like a weird thing. But they were looking at a lot of different types. But I will say, because I know that Drew Johnston was also up for this. Right. Who also would have been a hilarious. Okay, can, I can picture watching a whole movie about Drew Johnston as Colonel Sanders. Yeah. Um, it would be so funny. Um, but, but a lot of the people who were up for it, I was in the room with a lot of different, waiting to go in with a lot of different people who were getting called back for it. A lot of them were much closer to being the actual type. Right. And... I, since I was doing, like, inexplicably good, like, better than I thought I would in terms of, like, having right. a chance at it. And then it got, like, far enough along that you get, when you get close to something, you start getting calls from different people within the agency, like, people you don't normally talk to. Right. Uh, when you're just up for something, when it's like, well, now we want to really make sure you're available on these dates. Like, when yeah. they start, like, trying to lock stuff down. And, uh, but I was in the room... I think for the moment where it occurred to someone, like, hey, uh, does anyone know uh, Daryl Hammond's agent? Like, they were right. like having this realization, and I remember having the feeling of, like, oh, that would be good. Like, that would be, like, I would, I would go that direction if I right. was, if that was a possibility. And he is really good in those commercials. Can I point out a quick aside? We're walking, we're at the corner of Waverly and Green Street yeah. in Greenwich Village, right? We're two blocks from the Tisch School of the Arts where I went to college. Yeah. And this restaurant on the corner, the White Oak Tavern, has been, since I've been here, like maybe three different restaurants that all fail. I think it's because the square footage is so large. Uh huh. But the foot traffic here is actually really poor. Yeah. And it's all college kids, so unless it's like a dive bar, you have no chance of like filling it with people. Yeah. So that whatever, whatever's been on the corner, they always try to make it some fancy theme place, and it just never works. Did you see this website, Jenny? Uh, no. Goutisserious.com. Is your is it up? No. Uh, this is the for for crying gout loud video series. The first three videos are up, and then there's a blurred one that I believe is me. Yeah. That says coming soon. Um, this is part of the comedian in me thought it would have been really funny if I had booked uh, the Colonel Sanders campaign and, gout. and also a, an ad for gout medication. Gout being a uh, disease of kings that is associated with uh, you know too much wine and poor diet and sedentary lifestyle. Uh, that would have been a really funny uh, blend of, of... I would have had a lot of fun editing my reel from... Yeah. Colonel Sanders Eat more to, chicken to uh, gout is a real our disease. Special, our special uh, uh, 19 recipe or whatever is uh, right. with our special blend 19 of herbs and spices. Yeah. Uh, 
and then cut immediately to when my gout starts to flare up. Yeah. It's no laughing matter. I am concerned about the gout commercial because uh, we did a lot of takes and tried it a lot of different ways. And if there is one thing like that when you don't know what the tastes or the impulses are of the uh, of the people who are putting the ad together. Right. And when they get you to do enough different takes, you always feel like, oh, I probably did some of those that aren't too good. And you could easily cobble together multiple versions of me doing this commercial, some that make me look like a very good actor and some which make me look like a terrible actor. Right. And it's just because sometimes you, you don't nail a take. And the worry is that for some reason that will be the take that they like. Exactly. Uh, but presumably those will be online. Presumably they will protect you. The job of an editor and director is to edit is to protect you in post. That's true, but also the thing I worry about more than that is that their version of protecting, you just don't know what someone's right. specific taste is. Um, we're now in the, down in the subway again. Um, when you work with me, Connor, I'll protect you. I know you'll protect me, JD. Um, What a night it is. It's amazing. It's so nice and, and pleasant outside right now. But then you step down to the subway, and it's just like hot air from the other day just trapped down here. Yesterday's warmth. What's happening, JD? Uh, nothing too much. Um. doing a year from now I have no idea right now someone's listening to this a year from now and they know and if yeah. they do know tweet at us tweet at us a year from now and say we're from the past and we've come to the future you know what honestly I, you know what would be interesting what someone in the future a year from now if it's um, if it's past June 17th 2016 mm -hmm. tweet at me and be honest. Say either it worked out or it didn't work out. Meaning for them or for you? No, just for me. Okay. Just judge what I'm doing and say whether it got better or where it got worse. Yeah. It's okay if it got worse. I won't hold it against you. Mm -hmm. Just let me know. Uh, yeah, so June 17th. You don't do it to Connor. Just do it to me. Yeah. Because um, I don't think Connor wants that. I don't. I, I'd like that. Um... 
Should we make predictions? Yes. I think you will either have been cast in a show in a main part, uh-huh. um, or you will be de- in the process of developing something, either a feature or a television series. I tweet- but I think this next year is going to be a good year for you. I tweeted a silly idea the other day that occurred to me, but the more I think about it, the more I really wish that this was a world in which this could happen. What's that? That... Remember when they did the reboot of the A-Team movie? Yeah. And the, the only thing that they would have needed to do to make that a magical fun time for everyone, they could have cast everybody that they cast in it, Bradley Cooper, all that cast of people, Liam Neeson, right. everybody who was in it, is just don't recast Mr. T. Don't recast B.A. Baracus. Reboot the whole thing, but include Mr. T as B.A. Baracus. Right. That movie would have been a delight. Right. Because it just would have been like, yeah, we rebooted the A-Team, but we can't replace Mr. T. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, he's like, doesn't age. He's he's the guy. Uh, And so I was just thinking about, I think about this every now and then, because I think of it as like the one fun move of the past decade of movies, and I'm like, that would have been fun. Um, Because nobody wanted to go see just an A-Team movie, because the A-Team is Mr. T, and and, you know, that's the thing that... That's the thing that survived from the A-Team. Yeah. And I was that, that our culture was like, yeah, yeah, that's what the A-Team is. Yeah, so I was just imagining getting uh, the funding to reboot the A-Team with uh, the stepfathers and Mr. T. And just have that be... I was just picturing, like, Spo could be, like, uh, uh, Hannibal. Yeah, uh, although I've, I, wish, I almost wish it were, like, the previous incarnation of stepfathers. Yeah, it doesn't need to be the one I'm in. No, I think... Because there's one pre-Finelli and Klepper, and I'm sorry, I completely forget her name. Alex... Uh, Alex. Yeah. That was right when you got added. It was you, Will, Will. Delaney. I think it could be any member. Like, it could be any. Uh, but the version where it's Delaney, Will, you, Sylvia, Spo, Spo, Gether, Gether and Zach. Zach. I mean, if this is the conversation, I'm imagining this is the conversation that I'm having with the executive, and this is the sticking point, then we're great. If they're like. We'll fund it, but it has to be the previous incarnation of the team. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, but I mean, Don and Alex and Jordan have to be in it, you know? Yeah. And that's the negotiation we have is like, in what way we use the stepfathers. Does Jordan still do stepfathers? Um, not really, because he's, I think, um, when he's not out of town, Friday is the night that he can spend uh, with his wife. Right. And... Uh, so, like, he was on the, he was still on the team phase for a long time. But I think once, like, the better part of a year went by, uh, then it was just like, oh, we're now at that point. It just becomes like a misleading thing for selling tickets. You know right. what I mean? And we don't have a problem selling tickets, so it's like, well, there's no point yeah. in people. If people are coming because they see someone from The Daily Show in it, then there's just going to be disappointed people where you could have someone else who just came. DC stepfathers, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, for you, I predict, I'm going to predict that. Uh, You're going to have a next good year, though. I hope so. I hope so. I think we're both, I mean, we're, we're both in a, in a good spot. I predict that you're going to make progress on uh, the feature. Why are you so surprised? What's that? You look real surprised when the train arrived. Yeah. Um, 
you're going to be, you're going to have one foot in the feature film world, one foot in the uh, television uh, world, and one hand, one arm in up to your uh, elbow in the uh, digital streaming platform, and then uh, the other hand uh, in up to your shoulder in uh, the uh, Traveling Roadshow live circuit. I would replace Traveling Roadshow, thank you. Connor just gingerly plucks it into my hair. Traveling Roadshow, I bet that will be magic instead. That's what I'm thinking, but I didn't want to say it too explicitly. But magic will be part of the Traveling Roadshow. I think my TV project, my my next TV project, well, my next one is going to be Cop Show. I think we're going to do some more seasons. Ooh, that's good. It's not been announced yet, but I think I think that might be in the car. That's a 12-hour day. Exclusive, lucid, rumor, rumor. Well, it's not, yeah. It's, rumor. It's a rumor that I'm making up, but I think that'll be in the car. Yeah. They just, they turned out really nice. Did you see Time Out New York just named as one of the top 50 well, web series of all, all time. time? That's great. Which is crazy. Like, the number two was Stella. They're short films. And yeah. I'm like, oh, so this is, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was weird. It's weird to have something that we made like last year be up for an all times thing. You know I know I mean? you're gonna become like the Dick Wolf of comedy law enforcement TV shows. I think I would love that. Um, I, that show's so much fun. Colin is the best. Also, great. Um, but between that and the Terry Withers mysteries, I think that yeah, that's that's where you start getting like because. Well, I guess there's Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right. I'm trying to think of cop show comedy things. And then you got to go back a ways, right? Before you, I mean, there's Reno Nine. Police Squad. That's back to the early 80s, though. Right. Barney Miller before that. I always hear Barney Miller being... Barney Miller is always cited as... Uh, for a long time, cops were pointed to Barney Miller. When they asked, like, which cop shows are most like being yeah. a cop. Like Hill Street Blues or, you know, what Law & Order... And cops would usually cite Barney Miller and say, oh, Barney Miller, even though it's a sitcom, is closer to what it actually is to be a cop. It's a lot of, like, just bringing somebody in. You had to fill the paperwork. Like, it wasn't a right. lot of uh, car chases and gunfights. Right. Uh, it captured the atmosphere of, like, look, I'm here. This is my cop. I work here. I go out on patrol. I come back in. I work a case. I get my, you know. Right. Um, yeah, we gotta figure out what Terry Withers is. Yeah. Well, I'll start writing up outlines and see what happens. We can't lean on improv as the premise. No, that's not the premise at all. It's a tool. Yeah. No, it should be the kind of thing where people go, what is this weird show? Yeah. And then, like, season four, someone's like, you know, that guy makes it up, all but all up. And someone goes, no. And they go, yeah. And then there's an article that's like, yeah. all made up. Yeah. But well, it's something people don't know about. Yeah. Although, like, that's not the first thing anyone talks about when they talk about, like, the Christopher Guest movies. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that, it has to be like that. It can't be like, it's an improvised. Yeah. yeah. No, we lean on that as the hook for the live shows. But right. the, the hook for the TV show is just that it's funny. Yeah. I think it's funny and it's out there. Yeah. And it's the weirdest show on TV. Um, earlier... Um, uh, Jules asked how much Terry Withers is planned ahead of time. Oh, yeah? And the answer is that we know the cast, and we sometimes typecast people based on roles, but oftentimes we just cast what we want and figure out, like, oh, you'll probably, you'll probably be the 
someone that's like out in the world. Or, oh, you're probably going to be someone that's like at home. Yeah. And then aside from that, we know who the killer is. That's always our special guest. And then the only thing that like we sort of let, and we Connor and I don't let it do it, but like Louis and uh, Molly. Molly. They'll usually bring some prop or some activity that they know they're doing. Yeah. But they don't really have a take on it. Yeah. And if there's anything, the only thing we tell Terry, the only thing I've ever told Terry is the gender of the killer, since we don't really do, uh, right. uh, we don't play against gender types, since we're already using, like, what we're wearing props is what we're wearing yeah, and props. Yeah. Um, but uh, I forgot to tell him that last night, either. I think... Uh, I forgot to tell him it was a man. Right. Um, but usually if there is something planned, it's only because there's a practical element to it, like when we did the surprise party where we needed to actually right. have the cake. And usually if something's planned, it's it's so that it will spark a reaction that we can't predict from Terry. Right. Like we want to do something in the future that would require a lot of planning, but we know will throw Terry yeah. for a loop. So that the... The pre-planning that we do behind the scenes is uh, counteracted by the fact that our planning is set up to spark a reaction that we can't possibly anticipate. Yeah, like any planning we do is not to know what's... It's, we don't do it in the effort to know what's, what's going to happen. We do it in the effort to spin the show more out of control. Yeah. Because um, once the show gets going, we really... At this point, almost all we're doing is just controlling the light cubes. Yeah. Uh, I gotta take out something dry for you tomorrow. Is it your suit? Let me find out. Um, we're on the train now. We're on the end train. At 34th Street currently. Yeah. And it's for a for a Saturday night, it's a pretty loud, light train crowd, I have to say. Yeah, I wonder if it's because people it, don't. We're in the, the dip where, at this point, people look their watch and they go, oh, I'll leave at midnight. Yeah, maybe. But it feels like normally this time of night, it's more crowded than this on, a, on an end train. Yeah. <laughs> um, Martin Richards says, if you had a power to transform into any animal, what would you choose? Probably a bird of some sort. You want to be a bird? Um. Yeah, I think I would too, actually. God, you know who has a good? Who? Seagulls. Because they get to live by the ocean? Nothing. Like, there's nothing can stop them. Yeah. They can fly. Yeah. Land's okay for them. And they can float in water like boats. Yeah. But you might get eaten as they're floating in water. Right? Like a shark? Do sharks really eat seagulls at all? Maybe they do. I mean, it only takes one, so it could be you. Seagulls do have a good, though. You know what I mean? It's Because I always think of animals in terms of, like, comfortable here, can die here. What about like humans, like water. We don't what about water. a pelican? Pelican good. Because a pelican, what would be great is a pelican to get, get all that fish in there. I would like a... Honestly, I'd like, like a condor. Just some giant bird that just, like... It's more of a plane than a bird. Yeah. But again, water's an issue for a condor. Um, Being a rat wouldn't be bad either. A rat? I'm just thinking of animals that like... You're just thinking of animals that are in my name. You said you like to be a condor rat? Condor rat. I'd love to be a... Um, a lifted red falcon. 
the Condor Rat lifts in Red Fountain. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, what animal do you, are you most frightened of? I know my answer. And it's, it's two animals that I consider basically the same animal. Um, bears like mountain lion. Like, I'm not normally scared of Well, here's what... Um, okay. The animals that I feel like, I don't... My sister lives in Colorado, and I'm always, like, freaked out by that one. Like, yeah. like, bears, mountain lions, they just, like, kill humans. Yeah. The animals that freak me out the most, and the world, the realm of the world that freaks me out the most, that I think I would like to be that animal so that I could just, like, turn that into my comfort zone... Yeah. ...is an undersea creature, like a blue whale... Or a shark. Water yeah. freaks me out. Yeah. Like the ocean, terror, like, there's so much of it. Yeah. So I think I would want to be like a blue whale or a killer whale. Not a shark. I want something that can, like, dive. Like, a blue whale would be great because those things can dive deep. Although the only thing I don't like about a blue whale is it feels like it'd be so stressful to know, like, well, we gotta go back up for air eventually. Yeah. But I guess that's sort of like us and eating. I bet plants feel the same way about humans, right? Where it's like, God, that'd be so stressful to like yeah. have to make an effort to eat. Get around. You're not, yeah. not rooted. Yeah. you got no roots. Yeah, but like, you know, like, just my, what I'm saying is like, I would, the thing I don't like about whales is they breathe air. Yeah. They have to go up and get air. Yeah. And that's like that. I'd be, I'm just going to walk like, oh, right, got to go up and get air. But we have to do it with water and food. Yeah. Humans can't go like two days without water. Yeah. It's true. Isn't it like some ridiculous short amount of time that you have yeah. to have water? Three days. That's insane. Yeah. You can't go more than a few minutes without oxygen. Yeah, that's crazy too. Why are we not constantly stressed about it? I know, that's the thing. We have to breathe every second. Much. I'm not going to breathe in, I'm going to breathe out. Yeah, but our... Uh, Death defense mechanism is getting cut out. I've just breathed out way too much right now, and I'm, it's going to happen quicker. I've already quit playing this game because I realize it's bad for the podcast and we both held our breath. So JD's holding his breath, and we're going to see how long he can do it for. Not I long. Just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a certain well, point. If we want to play how long, I'll do it differently. No, no, I don't want to play it. I don't okay. like it. I would love having it. But, like, you hit a point within, like, a minute where your body's like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. So what animal are you most afraid of, though? I don't have an active fear of animals, I don't think. I'll tell you the animal I'm most afraid of is okay. an alligator or a crocodile. Really? I'm not scared of those. You, you, you turn. What? They can't turn well. They're fast. Yeah, but if you... They're fast straight. That's the thing about alligators. If you turn, they, they can't do that well. They're fast. And their whole mouth is just to get you. You know what animal is scary? What? Hippos. Yeah. Have you ever seen the footage of... There's footage of hippos that, like, chase boats. Yeah. And, like, boats are going, like, full speeds. And hippos, they don't, like, swim. They go down to the bottom and jump off. So when a hippo's chasing you, you just see it pop out of the water and go down and then pop Oh, out God. Why does no one make a hippo, hippo horror movie? What's that? Why does no one make a hippo horror movie? They should. Well, what's it? Kevin Smith did the walrus one. Mm. Tusk? Tusk, yeah. But it, that sounds terrifying. Yeah, they're scary. And they're the, they're the animal that, like, kills the most humans every year or something, right? Isn't that true? They're one of the most dangerous animals in the world. 
Um, yeah, I hear for an animal that isn't generally feared, I think they are pretty brutal. But you think alligator, crocodile? Yeah. Part of it is just they're so sinister. Yeah. Like those mouths are just like they look like smiling, killing. Machines. What animal would you least want to be killed by? I think alligator, crocodile. I think those are... Well, here, like, when they, like, jump up out of the water and they grab, they just lock on you with their jaws and then wait for you to die. They'll, like, drown you. Like... Except the thing that I was watching one of those, like, wilderness Israel videos. Yeah. And it was animals attacking, like, a zebra. Yeah. And, like, they don't kill it. Yeah. All they're doing is eating. So they just attack it and start eating. And the thing's still alive. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. And so, like, they're dead, and there's, like, animals inside their body, like, finding organs to eat and stuff like that. Yeah. That would be the worst. Be eaten alive. Yeah. Um, I think I'd also least, like, getting dropped into a thing of snakes. Uh-huh. It's like you're just getting bitten and strangled. Yeah. death was, seems so terrifying to me. Yeah. I, I'm, I am scared of animals generally just because there's an element of not being able to communicate to them and right. not, not just not connecting on a level of understanding. Well, there's no chance that they could change their mind. Yeah. With humans, there's always a slight chance. Slight chance, yeah. That's I think it'd be like, horrible getting killed by like an ostrich. But yeah, also like the bigger, smarter animals could be scared by something. That's why it's like also like an insect death. There's something where it's like literally no conscience. Literally no like logic. Yeah. Like you could scare a bear away, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna scare a bunch of fucking rats eating you away. Even you're not gonna scare a bunch of insects, you know what I mean? Yeah. Levinson asks, have you noticed if you interact differently with the world in days following your recording? I have not noticed. Um, no, I usually don't. I think I'm a little more... It's funny, we speak differently as the day goes on. Yeah. Someone's pointed that out. Really? Like, right now, we're very calm. Like, my mom was saying, too, that especially the episode where we get on Staten Island Ferry, mm-hmm. you and I were, like, immediately making jokes, by and then we were immediately, like... Yeah, so you know, like we're like we immediately become sorry. I just spit on you. No, no, my microphone went weird. Oh, I also spit on you. I don't feel it. Anna Maria wants to know how we're doing. Good. I feel like I didn't bring it today. You always feel like that. And you're always wrong. No, I think people tune in more for you, Connor. That's okay. I don't uh, think that's true. Casey says, "Hope you had a lovely 12 hours. We still need conversations. Talk about organs." Um. There's an Elvis Costello song where he plays the organ on it. Uh, what 
what organ will you donate while alive? What organ will I donate while alive? Yeah. If you had to. I would donate almost anything. I don't know. I think lungs, I might not. Can you donate a lung? I think you donate, like, parts of your lungs. Really? While you're alive. I'd be pretty good to donate anything if someone needed it. I don't like to think about it. You know, when I was a kid, when I was unsure of the afterlife, if it was a thing, I didn't want to be an organ donor. Yeah. Something scared me about the idea that, like, my personal body was being given away. And yeah. Who knows if, like, I need that still or whatever. In fact, my one of my things as a kid out of, like, my own neurosis, like, I wanted to be have enough money so when I die... They could put my dead body in like a glass case overlooking Times Square or something, or like some busy city. Yeah. Just in the off chance that when you die, you're just stuck inside your body looking out. So it scared me that what if you just spent forever just looking at dirt? Yeah. But then upon getting older and coming to terms with my non-belief in the afterlife, now I'm just like, yeah, use whatever. Yeah. Take it all. My grandma donated her body to, like, the local medical school. Oh, really? Yeah. Would you, um... Yeah. I think I'd rather... I, I think I would, do, I would rather be donated than cremated or buried. I like to be donated than cremated. Like, the stuff that's left over. Are there cannibal societies that you can donate your body to that they'll eat you? I don't know if I'd want that. There's no... You're not helping them. And they like it. Yeah, but it's like... Are there necrophilia things you can give so they can have sex with your dead body? Are there? Would you, want to, would you do that? Are there? If there were, would you do that? I don't think so, but... Why, they'd like it. I know. Ah, uh, you're right. What if... What if there was, it, was, it wasn't necrophiliac, but it, what if it was, there was just a society of, like, people who liked, like, stuff, they like to cuddle with stuff, dead humans. No. Just. I'm too, I'm too precious over my own. It would be weird. It would be weird for everyone to do Like, oh, the jaded that we knew is now, that's the thing that I don't, that's very weird for me about when you die. When you die, you sort of become an object. Yeah. That was the most startling at like funerals that I've gone to. I've never been to an open casket funeral. I've never really, seen a dead body. I've been to a few and they're all very startling. I've never, because I've never seen a dead body. It's, oh really? No. Because it's a person you know just becomes a, an object. And all the conversations and thoughts and feelings you got around that person go away because you're no longer looking at the person. It's just a thing. And it's usually a thing that doesn't really look like the person anymore either. Yeah. It looks like if you paid like a Hollywood special effects person to yeah. make a replica of well, someone. The, the embalming process is very strange. Yeah. It's a very unnatural process. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Should I take my mic and just bring it in on Monday? Uh, yeah, you can. Or should I unclip it and hand it to you? Why do you take it? Uh, last moment. Uh, uh, bring it to me on Monday, though. Yeah. Still probably need it for the shoot. 
Okay. So don't forget. Okay. Well, I think we've reached our... Well, we're at... We're on to Queensboro. Oh, yeah. Unless you want to get out and wait one train. I get When do you think we started? I, I wish I'd looked. I mean, we didn't meet up until like 11.30. Yeah. And we talked for a fair amount before we started. You want me to wait one train? Ah, let's wait one train. That's okay. a good thing. Won't be that long. Yeah. Um, just to be, just, uh, I think just to be safe on the timing of it. I agree. Um, we never go short. We never go short. Never go short. Always stay true. Sort of arguing about like who's hey, the semantics of the sign say they just keep offering to see to each other. Well, here we are at Queensboro Plaza, and I'm gonna we're gonna wait for the next train. Yeah, just to make sure we hit time. Just to make sure we should be fine though. I think so. All right, Connor, we gotta deliver some laughs in this final segment. Yeah, lots of jokes. Or heartfelt moments. Uh, now, here at Queensboro Plaza, it feels a little bit closer to what uh, the late night frantic rush of people yeah. is. That train was just like unusually light, but as we get here, we see a desperate throng of people waiting for a seven train. Desperate. Um, Frantic, angry people. Could you imagine living in one of these buildings here? I, I know someone that lives in a building, uh, lives in that building. Yeah? Yeah. What's it like? What do they say? Good times? No, actually, it's this building. Or it's the building like this. Uh -huh. It's nice. They like it. Oh, yeah. Connor. No, here. I'm going to wait. We'll wait till you get on a 
an ad. I know, but you you could be going home right now. Yeah, but you, you could know. be in your sweet bed. Ooh, sweet. You could Ooh. be in your sweet couch bed. Bedage. 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 Uh, what are those people watching? Uh, Let's see who can figure it out first. It's a TV show. But they could be watching a Netflix through their TV? I just think in terms of the framing of the frames and the pace of the editing on this TV. I don't think I can see the screen. Those people there? Yeah. Um... Oh boy, I don't know. Oh, it might be a game show. No local trains. No local trains. See, like, that's an example of what I was talking about before. That, like, not that a tourist would necessarily be using a 7 train, particularly. It is a train that's designed more for residents than tourists, but... There is just that thing about just barking at the people like, right. no, 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 you know? And you just have to know what that means. Exactly. Um, and now uh, there's some uh, violin music happening here. Yeah. A little bit of drama. I like it. Um, oof. 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 So we're closing in on the end here. What are your plans for tomorrow, J.D.? Uh, I'm doing a show that I don't know what my bit is yet. I'm doing the Macaulay Culkin show, which is Brett Davis's big monthly show. Yeah. He has a lot of shows. Yeah, this is the one that he is his biggest, I think. Except for his TV show. Yes, which has now become awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been doing this mime character character for a while. So I think I might try that. It is really nice that uh, the the Gethard Show slot on M&M has been passed on. On M&M? m and What did I say? M&M. Check the tape. What did I say? All right, listeners, go back. Ten seconds. See what I said. Um, no, but it's nice that... It would have been very easy for the gather show to just leave, and then it that'd be the just like a temporary yeah. thing, as opposed to the fact that the special without Brad Davis has really like stepped up and taken over that slot. So that's just that's a thing that happens in NNM. It's just that there's a slot on yeah. Wednesday nights that is for like a major alternative comedy kind of thing. I also like the idea that it, if they ever got picked up, yeah, it's like that's the that's the prime time slot. If you get there, you get on TV. Yeah. And I wonder if the next one would be like, there'd be more eyes on it from network people of like, well, let's see. That's, that's, it's a, 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 a sort of a farm slot. I feel like uh, that we need to be changing our content to fit the music so that it really does feel like accompaniment, you know? Yeah. Let's move right here. And as the night rolled towards the feet, two men waited to take two disparate paths. Oh, yeah, that's one man tall, the other average height. 
Two people split from the same wood, but born generations apart. Both in search of the same things. Through different means and methods. And now, and now we're just back to normal time. Um, that was that, that was the theme song. And you can also animate those words. Yeah. What if we? Uh, hey. Uh, whenever, whenever the music happens. We again. should ask him, um, Ben Gibson. Hey, can you just uh, just can you do the whole this whole the episode? Whole, the whole episode. This whole episode. How about? But if music starts again and we uh, let's do it with a mind tour. I think you could yeah. do that last one and we have a great musical accompaniment to it. Um, yeah. We'll keep that in mind towards animating these. Now we're just waiting for it. Just waiting for it. We're just desperate. Yeah, yeah, oh. What's your takeaway from this podcast? I mean, this was just a normal day, but we're, I feel like, I mean, this is the first time I've done the podcast where uh, I haven't been uh, gainfully employed at bookstore you know so this is and this is the first podcast when you've been really fully immersed in uh i've been full-time employed for the first yeah time. well not the first i mean time. you've been full you've been full-time for a while like when we did the last one you were on a pretty busy schedule we had to do it on a weekend because your monday through friday was was that a cop show uh a little bit of cop show but a little also preparing for gethard show you were doing a lot of yeah stuff so you were like there were no days when you were right. always doing something Here's a question. Uh, yeah. Do you think you and I know too much about each other that we don't have enough stuff to talk about personally on the podcast? Like if we reach the bottom of the pool of things that we can learn about each other that's on the podcast, whereas the real conversations we have that go to new places are only things we can talk about off the podcast. I don't think that's true. Not necessarily. We never talked about the Confederate flag before this podcast. I guess that's true. Yeah? I guess that's true. I mean, there's always things. You know what I mean? Because I feel like there's stuff that we don't see each other that often. Do you want to get on this? Yes, sir. If you do, you stand next to those guys. Yeah. The traffic jam down here. Because I feel like your end will probably come pretty soon, right? Yeah, it will. All right. Get on this. It's been a good 12-hour day. It's been a 12-hour day. It's been a happy day. We've had some good times. We've had some bad times. We've had some times somewhere in between. And you are my friend. And there's my train. Oh, two trains at the same time. Two trains apart. One man. It's great seeing you. I'll see you, you, I'll see you on uh, I'll see you Monday. Monday. Bring your love. I will. Bring, I'll still be able to hear you bring here. Bring your love. What's that? Bring your love. All right, Connor. Um, I don't think you're going to close until he's done making an Okay. Hi, JD. So long, Connor. It's been a good day. It's been a good day. I think I can still... I don't have headphones, so I can't still hear Connor. But if you can still hear Connor, we're on two separate trains right now. On a seven train? We're on two separate trains. So both of us are separated. The doors have closed on JD's train. The doors are open on my train. And JD's train is leaving the station. 
My train is still in the station. I just I'm sure I lost him.
All right, I might have just cut a big chunk out of the podcast, which was me just on the train, uh, uh, silently sitting there. But I'm walking home now, and I figured I'd have some closing thoughts. Just because I feel like I was, I don't know, in a weird mental space this episode. I think I'm in a weird mental space in general. Not weird, but I'm, uh, you know, this new job that I have this role with the show is like it takes a lot of energy and both literal immediate energy of trying to solve problems and staying up late to make sure the episodes all get where they need to go but also emotional energy of trying to make sure people are happy and emotional energy of trying to keep myself feeling positive and not let myself get sort of crushed by all the pressure um because I think that's one thing that, you know, it's easy to get tasks done. If you break anything down into tasks, they're easy to achieve. But when you think about all of the people surrounding you and how everyone's feeling, that, that feeling of taking everyone into account can be a very heavy burden. And I found myself getting... less and less capable of in the moment making sure everyone is happy because I have my eyes set on the big picture of making sure everyone is happy uh, and taking care of in this show and I don't like that feeling I don't like the feeling of knowing that I don't have a couple minutes to talk to someone or um, 
that sometimes uh, my answer to a question has to be no. Um, it's, not a, it's not a great feeling. And so, like, you know, it, it, I think it makes, makes a job like this harder. And that's not to say that uh, you need to be able to sympathize or empathize with what I'm saying, but in trying to balance all that stuff myself, it's made me very exhausted. And in being exhausted, I find it harder to focus on other things. Which is why something like this podcast becomes harder to do. Because I find myself, either my mind is on this show and all the things that need to get done that can be overwhelming, or my mind is in like hibernate mode. And I really like it, but it's, it's like uh, I'm either in or I'm out. And anytime I'm in the middle, it gets like I feel myself burning emotional and mental energy. Um, so that's why I feel like today I was not in my best mood and I was sort of not there for a lot of it so I apologize and I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how this podcast changes as Connor and I go through different life things um, and I think it'll be interesting to look back and sort of be able to tap into this exact feeling of where I am right now. Because right now it feels like the most important thing and very high pressure. But I bet, you know, in the future I'll look back and feel like, oh, I made it through all right, or things went wrong, but ultimately that's okay too. So, you know, I feel like it'll be somewhere in the middle there. Um, and that's, that's okay. Um, anyway... So that's all just me saying, an effort for me to say that uh, I feel like uh, I feel like sometimes I don't totally hit the promise of what this podcast was supposed to be or I'm not able to commit my full energy to it. But then I sort of have to remind myself that the point of this podcast is just to document our lives, sort of where we are from moment to moment. And Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's difficult places and sometimes you guys are going to love it and sometimes it'll be something you just have on the background. So... I don't know why I'm sort of talking about this. I guess I feel bad. I know I shouldn't, but I do. I'm going to go home and watch uh, an episode of The Bachelorette. I like shows that are not good shows, but you can just sort of let your mind over to them. Now that basketball is over, there's uh, not much else.
Okay, I'm home now. So, uh, as always, thank you guys for listening. It's been a good 12-hour day. And, uh, here's just some more, right? Ah. Home sweet home.